If I were a rich man, all day long I If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a rich, man, I'd build a big tall house with the rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with the real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up and one even longer coming down. And one more leading nowhere just for show. I'd fill my yard with the chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear squawking just as noisily as they can and each will land like a trumpet on the ear as if to say here lives a wealthy man If I were a rich man, all day long I If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a bitty bitty rich, idle diddle 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 man, I see. My wife, my golden, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin. Supervising meals to her heart's delight. I see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she's in. Screaming at the servants day and night. <laughs> The most important man in town will come to fawn on me. They will ask me to advise them like a Solomon the wise. If you please, Rebetavia, pardon me, Rebetavia. Posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And it won't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, they think you really know. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I like to sit in the synagogue and pray. And maybe have a seat by the eastern wall And I discuss the holy books With the learned men seven hours every day And that would be the sweetest thing of all oh. 
Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on February 12th, 2021. The time right now, 10, 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That was If I Were a Rich Man from Fiddler on the Roof. Could also be applied to poker. I could definitely hear a lot of poker players singing that one. By the way, I'm not going to play the awful remake of this version, or the remake of this by Gwen Stefani, circa like 2007. Not the same. By the way, Gwen Stefani is like in her 50s. A lot of you don't realize that, but she was not young when she became famous. She tried to appear young, but she's actually older than me. I believe she's born in 1970. A little bit of trivia for you. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. As has been the case recently, I'm starting out the show alone and often finishing not alone. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but Trader Ruski has kind of gotten used to going to bed early and then waking up very early. So he'll wake up like three and join us. Though last week he said he was going to do that and never showed up. So it was one of the few weeks we've had in recent years where Trader Ruski was not on the show at all. And uh, then Brandon shows up sometimes later at night. And we had him last week, and that was a treat. Always like having Brandon on the show. Always adds another dimension. Always adds... Some more humor as we banter back and forth. And by the way, most of you are aware of this, but I do edit the show before posting it. And that's why there's a delay between the end of the show and when it gets posted. Now, I do not edit out real content. What I do is I edit out fail. I'll keep fail in if it's funny or entertaining. But if it's just annoying, or like I'm searching for a web page going, where is this, where is this, and taking a minute to find something, like stuff like that I will take out for a better listening experience. So I go through the show. It actually takes quite some time to do. I go through it and do edit it for listenability. But one thing I don't edit is when Brandon and I banter or me and Trader Ruski banter, whatever, like towards the end of the show, we're kind of just talking back and forth. I do not bother to edit any of that. You're hearing it exactly as it takes place because it's different. It's a conversation rather than uh, a pre-planned show. But the show is broadcast live. It is recorded live. And then afterwards, I go through and just change very minor things that, uh, as I said, doesn't change the content at all. just makes it easier to listen to. I have a few people who just love when there's fail in the show and are annoyed that it's gone. But I go, I don't. I just don't see something entertaining about me looking for a web page for a minute and I can't find it or, oh, I lost my place or I like, or, or I play something and, uh, then I lose my place and I have to find it again. Like, that's, that doesn't make good radio. Even on a show like this, which I admit is not a highly produced show. It's not a professionally produced show. And it's a long show. That also makes it tougher to edit. People can have these really tight, great sounding shows if it's like 25 minutes 
even an hour. But when you have a show that's six hours or more, unless you have a big team working for you for a lot of money that edits the whole thing to sound great, I'm one guy doing everything except for the uh, co-hosts I have joining me, which I appreciate. But as far as the work, as far as putting the show on, that's all on me. And I make no money. In fact, I lose money. So keep that in mind. And I know I have some people who just want to see in the archives as soon as possible. If I have the energy after the show, I do edit it before going to bed. But a lot of times I don't because the show's so long. Anyway, we have a free roll going on. The free roll started nine minutes ago on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can get in there until 10.30 Pacific Time. 25 minutes of late registration. So you still have 16 minutes left on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds, to understand the rules for qualifying for the free money we give away each week. And you will find the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. It needs a separate account, a separate login that you make. And you have to wait till it gets validated by either me or Bellybuster. Uh, you PM belly space buster on the forum to get validated. If you have any problem, you can text me at the phone number I'm going to give out shortly, and I will try to help you out with getting validated. That's just to prevent multi-accounting and stuff like that. But we do this every week, and I will pay you in pretty much any way you can think of where people can send money to each other online, including Bitcoin, including services which uh, are for payment or transferring money online. Pretty much whichever one you can think of I have at the moment. Even ones I said I don't have anymore, I have again. So uh, let me know which way you'd like to get paid. I cannot send you ACR money because I still don't have an ACR account, so that's one way I can't pay you. But other than that, I can pay you. Uh, now, Bitcoin, I haven't been paying people recently because the transaction fees have been too high. So I don't want to pay you... Uh, a $15 prize where the fee is $5 to send it. It just makes no sense. But I can send you Bitcoin Cash, which is very cheap to send. So if you want that as an alternative when Bitcoin's transaction fees are high, uh, you can let me know that. Or if you want to eat the $5, I guess I can do that. But I, I'm not going to eat the $5 to send you a $15 prize. I mean, I've got, I got to put my foot down here, as I said last week. So anyway, let's get on with the rest of the intro. I guess I haven't told you how much the free roll is. It's $53, $53. We got it from two sources this week. Willie McFML gave $25, and V12CL gave $28. So thank you to the two of you. And that makes 53 this week, which pushes us over the $50 line. That is good enough. 27 for first, 16 for second, 10 for third. 27 for first, 16 for second, 10 for third. And that has started already, 10.05 p.m., Late registration with a full stack continues until 10.30 p.m. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That has always been our number since day one. You can text that same number. If you text that number, you will reach me. If it's during the show, I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. And if it's not during the show, then I probably won't read it on the air. But I probably will respond to you. I do respond to people. And don't be shy if you want to text me, if you want to comment on something. And you know what? If there's something on the show you like or dislike, please let me know. I'm not saying I'm going to listen to you. I take all comments and I consider all comments. But if your comment is 
different than what everybody else says. Like if you hate something everybody else loves, I'm going to keep doing it. But on the other hand, if I hear from a number of people, hey, I like this, do it more often, then I probably will. And if I hear from people, hey, I don't like this, don't do this again, and a number of people think that and I don't get many compliments about whatever you're criticizing, then I'll say, hey, you know what? Even if I enjoy doing this, uh, it looks like the listeners don't like it. It's just not landing well, so I'm going to end it. I'm, I'm doing the show for you guys. I'm not doing it to talk to myself, so I really want something that's going to appeal to most people. I know not everything is for everyone, but if something is overwhelmingly unpopular, I will stop doing it. And I have taken direction before like that. Or if you just want to talk, you just want to say hello, you just want to identify yourself and text me for the first time, there's people who've listened for years, many years, that have never once made contact with me. And that's fine. If you don't want to ever make contact with me, you don't have to. But if you'd like to and just say hello, you can do that. 775-372-8355. You can text anytime. You can also call the Mount Charleston line during the show. That's an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston. And I actually tweeted out a picture of it. And you can even see on the phone it is written, and it's not Photoshopped. It's a real picture of the phone. It's actually written on there, the phone number, 702-430-1808. Just to show you didn't grab like a stock picture of a, an old rotary phone. You, you can see it is my phone. It is an old 70s rotary phone, as I've promised you exists, and there it is. So it's in a cabin in Mount Charleston. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. It forwards to me wherever I go. The call to listen line is something you can call any time to listen to the show. When we're live, it'll play the show live. If you, we're not live, it'll play one of the many reruns that it picks at random and just streams it. And then when it's done, picks another random rerun over and over until we come back live on the air. We have uh, getting close to 400 shows in our archives, so that you won't hear the same one twice for a while, most likely. So that phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. Never buffers, never freezes. It just works. It does not require a smartphone or a computer or an app or the internet or a data plan. It does not use up any data. Never buffers or freezes as a no buffer guarantee. It's the call to listen line. Over a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. In fact, I should check. Maybe it's getting close to two million minutes by now. Uh, a big success after it was laughed at five years ago when I developed it. 605-313-0736 or the alternate number 641-741-1095. If you forget these numbers, just go to the radio tab near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com and they're all listed right there for you. It's just so easy. If you want to listen to the show in the archives, which most of you do, only a small percentage of our listenership is live, especially as I've started the show later and later at night, so it really counts out a lot of people who just are not awake for it, including some of our co-hosts. But if you want to listen to the archives, we have a lot of ways to do it. We have iTunes, we have Google Podcasts, we have Stitcher, we have TuneIn, which can also be used to listen to the live show. There's two entries for Poker Fraud Alert there, one live, one not live. Then we have uh, Bullhorn, which you can use a call-to-listen line through that app to listen to the archives. We have Spotify and iHeartMedia, two very popular apps people use to listen to music and podcasts. So we're supported on those now. You can always play or download the MP3 file of the show. Just click on the MP3 button on the radio tab. If you scroll down, you'll see it there with all the other little buttons in ways to listen. Or you can just go to the Radio Archives forum on Poker Fraud Alert. That's also where they're listed. If you click on an MP3 with any device, it'll just play. It will... 
not require any kind of outside or third-party player. That's a simple and easy way to listen if you like. So many ways to listen. If there's something else you'd like to see as far as ways to listen to the show, please let me know. 775-372-8355. Just text me at that number. We have a chat room now, which works on all devices. You just need a forum account in good standing. If you have that, any device can get in. There is no more Flash. I think it still says Flash Chat somewhere, but that's old. There's no more Flash. I've gotten rid of Flash off the site entirely. And you can listen to the live show now on the radio tab from any device. That also used to not work, but now it's very simple. There's a player right there. Just press the play button. If it doesn't start automatically, you can listen to the live show or the streaming archives. So... Made some improvements last year to Poker Frawler to make it more compatible with devices by removing Flash. It was some work, but it needed to be done, and it has been done. Okay, so I'm going to do the agenda, and then we are going to get going. The main story doesn't seem like it's a big story, and I'll admit, by itself, it's not. There is another heads-up match that's going to take place between Landon Teese... I don't know if it's Tice or T, so I'm called T's, T-I-C-E, and uh, Bill Perkins. Bill Perkins, you probably know who he is. Landon Tease, you may or may not know. He's a young kid. He's 21 years old. I don't even know if I would cover that as a topic. I probably would, but it definitely wouldn't be the lead topic. But uh, that gave rise to a much more interesting side controversy where a bet on that match placed by Terrence Chan turned into a big Twitter battle which sent Terrence Chan eventually packing and leaving social media for a while. Yeah. And yes, that Terrence Chan, soft-spoken, non-controversial, non-confrontational Terrence Chan, got in his first social media battle in about 15 years. So I'll tell you about that. That's all because of the uh, Landon Teese and Bill Perkins match. Not really because of it, but it spawned from that. I'll tell you that whole interesting story. I have an update on Patches. Remember Patches, the dealer who got fired from Bellagio? Very well liked in poker. And he uh, attacked a player at his table where he was dealing because the player was uh, really, really obnoxious to him. And uh, uh, Patches is black. I believe he was uh, called the N-word. He was verbally abused over and over by this player, and then the player made some comments like, hey, you better walk away when the when Patches' shift was over and he was moved to another table. So then Patches just lost it and attacked him. We've talked about it before on this show. Uh, a lot of people like Patches and were hoping that he landed on his feet. Patches also uh, admitted complete fault in the whole thing and said he was ashamed of his actions. So uh, I will say he's a pretty sympathetic character, even though he made a mistake there. But I have an update on him. And I will give you that. Bovada is refusing to pay out bets involving a streaker at the Super Bowl. There was a Super Bowl streaker, as you probably saw if you're watching the game. But Bovada is now refusing to pay out uh, prop bets on whether or not there's going to be a streaker. I'll explain that whole story, and I will tell you what I think about Bovada's refusal to pay. Not all, but some people who bet on it. Larry Flint owner of the Hustler Casino has passed away at the age of 78. That means something to me because the very first hand of poker I played 
was at the Hustler Casino almost exactly 20 years ago. Slightly more than 20 years ago. I remember the date. It was January 17th, 2001. I meant to say or do something on the 20-year anniversary of me playing poker, but I forgot. <laughs> but anyway, it was just about 20 years ago. And uh, Larry Flint created the Hustler Casino. He owned the Hustler Casino. And he still owned the Hustler Casino until his death. So I'll tell you how I feel with the Hustler. I'll tell you how I feel about Larry Flint. He's kind of a complex guy. I have mixed feelings about him. More positive than you probably think. So we'll talk about Larry Flint and his life and his poker connection when we do that segment. An app was advertised on Facebook that drew the ire of Alan Kessler, who brought my attention to it. It's called Mastermind of Roulette, and it's supposedly an app that you can use to turn yourself into a winning roulette player. (laughs) So... I will go to that website and read you some things from it, and uh, we will decide together whether this is a revolutionary app to turn you into a roulette winner. Bally's Power Poker series, which began uh, either in late January or early February, it has been flopping really badly, really badly, embarrassing numbers. I had originally been told it was a circuit series, but it actually is not, which I guess is good because if people were winning circuit rings for winning some of these events, you would laugh. But anyway, I'm going to read you some of the uh, turnouts they've been getting in their various events. And a pretty well-known person in poker just won one of these tiny turnout events today. In fact, this individual has not only been talked about on the show, but he has been on the show. He has been interviewed on this show twice. So I'll tell you who won one of those events today, and I'll read you some of the results from the Power Poker series, and we'll discuss why it is doing so badly. Something that hopes not to do badly in Las Vegas is Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, a.k.a. former Hooters, that has uh, announced an opening date, which kept being pushed back, but uh, they claim it's really going to be opening pretty soon. And I have a date for you, which I will give you when we do that segment. Hawaii had talked about doing the unthinkable and actually adding casinos. Hawaii is one of two states in the nation with absolutely no form of gambling. The other 48 states all have some form of legalized gambling, even if it's a very minor form. There really is some form of gambling in all in 48 of the 50 states. Hawaii and Utah are the two that do not have it. Utah, most people would expect. Hawaii, most people would not expect. But uh, I will give you an update on that casino bill and the attempt to bring gambling to Hawaii. Speaking of gambling, Massachusetts, there's a study there about uh, gamblers and how much they know what they are doing. And that's important. Most people don't think about that. I think about it a lot. I've discussed it before on this show. In casinos, there are some gamblers who are advantage players. Of course, there are a very small percentage, but there's a very small percentage who are advantage players who know the games really well. Then you have the kind of basic strategy type players, people who uh, know where to find the best odds, who understand all the rules of the game, who really understand everything very well. And then it goes down from there to people who are completely clueless. And then on top of that, 
there are people who may know what they're doing, but also have a compulsive gambling problem and just uh, don't have any control. So they did a study in Massachusetts of gamblers there regarding, number one, how well they know the games, and number two, how much self-control they have regarding their bankroll and regarding responsible gaming. So I'll tell you the results of this study, and I'll tell you what I have observed in recent years, not in Massachusetts, but in Las Vegas. We have three coronavirus stories, and then if I have the time and energy to do it, depends how long everything else takes, I want to do an editorial. Anyway, that is our agenda tonight. Let me get going here. Jump right into our first topic, the heads-up undercard. And I call it that because the big heads-up match is one that was just completed, and that was Doug Polk versus Daniel Negreanu. The undercard would be Landon Teese versus Bill Perkins. And the reason I associate them is because this was inspired by the Polk-Negreanu heads-up match. Uh, you could say, oh, maybe it was inspired by the Galphon matches. Not really, because the Galphon matches are kind of like a series where different people step up and challenge Phil Galphon. Uh, here, right when the Polk-Negreanu match completed, Landon Teese, who is a 21-year-old poker pro, uh, got into conversation with Bill Perkins and said, hey, why don't we do this? And, and by the way, Bill Perkins was looking to play Polk heads up, but he wanted like a, a large number of big blinds back every hundred hands in order to close the skill gap, because otherwise uh, Polk would crush him, and Perkins knows that. So it was like a handicap. So uh, Polk was not interested, as I mentioned on the last show. Polk claims he hates poker and is done with it. But Landon Teese, much smaller name than Polk, of course, but uh, he had some interest, and I, I don't know who approached who. I'm assuming Teese probably approached uh, Perkins on this. And uh, they decided that they're going to set up a heads-up match of their own. And I don't have a date yet. If there is one, I haven't heard of it. But I don't have a date yet of when this can take place. I, I can't imagine it's going to be too long from now. However, I don't think it's going to take place at the breakneck pace that Polk and Negranu did theirs. They really got 25,000 hands done pretty quickly, if you think about it, those two. But, of course, these guys... Uh, were able to dedicate themselves to it, whereas Bur Bill Perkins is a uh, busy guy who's a businessman. He's a lot of things going on, so uh, I. It's going to take a while for that to complete, whenever it is. But here's what was tweeted on February sixth by Landon Teese, T I C E. Uh, you can see the discussion of this if you go to the Poker Community Discussion Forum on Poker Fraud Alert and look at the Heads Up Undercard Landon Teese versus Bill Perkins thread. You'll even see the tweets here I embedded. But uh, Landon Tease tweeted on February 6th, Heads up for Souls is on. I battled the legend Bill Perkins. 200-400 blinds, 20,000 hands. It's going to take a long time to complete. Uh, I pay nine big blinds per hundred. More details to come, but blood will be in the streets. And then Perkins responded back, Make sure an ambulance is nearby for Mr. Tease. Well, before I begin, I, I want to explain to those who listen to the show that don't know poker terminology really well, because there are some of you. Not, not everybody's a poker expert here who listens to the show. Nine big blinds per hundred basically just means whatever the big blind is, uh, that's what Landon is going to pay back to Bill every hundred hands. So nine big blinds per hundred means after they've completed 900 hands, Bill Perkins automatically receives from Landon nine big blinds, which in this case is $3,600, because the big blind is 400 So that is a way to 
have a handicap in a heads-up match where one player is a lot better than the other. Now, you may say, wait, how how is Landon T, so I haven't even heard of before, so much better than Bill Perkins, where there's a nine big blind per hundred handicap? Isn't Bill Perkins like a high-stakes player? Well, Bur- Bill Perkins is a rich guy who lives in the Virgin Islands. He's in his early 50s, and he just inserted himself in the poker community in recent years because he likes poker and he has a lot of money and he can afford to play high stakes. And of course, the high stakes players welcome him. Uh, he admits that he's not as good as a lot of the high stakes pros that he plays. He just enjoys the game. He's not one. He's not delusional. Like he doesn't think he's a, a top player, but he doesn't want to play low stakes because it's meaningless to him. I'm not exactly sure how he earned his money. But he does have a lot. In fact, uh, if you remember, recently he committed $150,000 to uh, Veronica Brill's defense of this uh, defamation suit that Mike Possel filed against her and several others, including yours truly. I did not get 150000 from Bill Perkins, sadly. But uh, I, I will say that uh, Veronica has the least money of everybody being sued, so... Uh, yeah, she deserves it. And she was the original whistleblower, so I'm not the slightest bit bitter about that. I was very happy for her when I saw that was announced. I don't expect uh, Bill Perkins to give me handouts. He doesn't even know me. But anyway, uh, Bill Perkins, a recreational player, rich guy, and Landon Teese, he has kind of an interesting story. And in fact, he's a little bit controversial. I, I feel he's more controversial than he should be. I, I don't dislike him. I think he's okay. Uh, is he a bit of an attention whore? Yes. But here's what happened with Landon Tease. He was just like a Joey Ingram fanboy for a while. I kid you not. Like he, he used to be one of these guys in the Joey Ingram chat room during the live broadcast that Joey Ingram would do. And, uh, Landon, in fact, volunteered at one point to find the timestamps in Joey's broadcasts for Joey to put in the descriptions of his videos when he would watch Joey's videos in the archives. And, I mean, talk about something that is very, very uh, mundane and uh, boring to do. I don't enjoy it. That's something. The thing I least enjoy about this show is afterwards having to go through and uh, find the timestamp of where everything begins, where each topic begins. I know you guys like having the timestamps. It's a very long show. Sometimes you don't have all these hours to dedicate to listen to it, and you want the timestamps, which is why I do it. I do it because the audience wants it, and I see why it's useful for the audience who cannot listen to every show. Or occasionally it's useful for myself when I want to go back and reference something, and I can just find it right away. But I'm really not doing it for me. I'm doing it for you guys. But I do this for my own show. That makes sense. But I would never do this for somebody else's show. This would be just incredibly mind-numbing to do, to go through and find timestamps for every episode. But he was doing that for, for Joey Ingram. He was just a Joey Ingram fanboy. And he was like 19, 20 years old, and nobody knew who he was. And I, I don't know what poker he was playing, maybe online. I, I don't know what he was doing to improve in poker himself. Anyway, he's 21 now, so he can legally play live poker. He lives in Las Vegas. I don't know how long he's lived there. I know he's originally from Florida. And uh, he has improved and now is a winning pro. Now, he's not absolutely crushing it, but he has had a number of tournament victories in, in his short time of being uh, old enough to play and it seems like he's doing fairly well, which is impressive because it's not like doing well in 2004. 
Landon has come up at a time when the game's a lot harder, when the good players are very good, when there's a lot fewer fish in the game. So I will give him that, that this is not an easy time to come up as a young pro. And that's part of the reason there are very few young pros anymore. If you look at the World Series of Poker, you'll see almost everybody there's over 30, which didn't used to be that way. Like in the 2000s, it was tons of young people, tons of 20-somethings everywhere. And then they got older. Time passed. Those 20-something good players became 30-something, and now, in some cases, even 40-something. Now you don't have many 20-somethings replacing them because online poker is not nearly as easy to access nor is poker as popular as it was back in the 2000s. So there's a lot of 20-somethings today who could have been great poker players that just never got into the game. Because if you think about it, think about the poker greats of today. Something led them to the game. And if circumstances had not led them to poker, you would have no idea who they are, and they'd just be nobodies, probably working some kind of average job and uh, really wouldn't be anyone special. So when you become a top pro or at least a semi-known uh, pro, it's because you found the game and were able to improve to the point where you made a name for yourself, which is a lot harder to do today. Now, Landon's uh, big moment was on November 13th, he played the $1,100 buy-in MSPT event at the, uh, Deep Stack, the Deep Stack Extravaganza. Forgetting where that is, maybe at uh, Venetian or something. I don't know. It was an MSPT uh, deep stack extravaganza, November 13th, $1,100 buy-in, and he won for $201,000 at the age of 21. He also played, he's going to be 22 soon, obviously, because he played in the World Series in 2020 online, and uh, he did have a sixth place finish there at another deep stack event. And got uh, 29K. That was kind of his start. I guess that was kind of his bankroll builder. And then the 200K really helped him. And then he's had uh, some smaller caches since then. Anyway, like, he hasn't been at it for that long. He had a few caches in the World Series. He had that 200K hit in November. He's had four caches since then. So, all right. In a short time, the the kid seems to be doing uh, fairly well. And I, I don't know in cash what he's been doing. But I'll give him props there. I'll give him props. Now, he is not one of these guys who just keeps his head down and tries to make money. This guy really, really wants to be poker famous. He's been trying to get to know uh, who he feels are influential pros that can uh, promote him and will talk to him and and, uh, retweet him and, and talk about him. And he's had some moderate success in that. A lot of people know who he is. He's not a super big name poker pro, but in the short time he's been at this, uh, a lot of people know who he is, and that's pretty good for just winning one 200K tournament. He actually has over 10,000 followers, which is impressive, on, on Twitter. And again, this is because he's gotten other poker pros who are much better known than he is to promote him. I know he's also uh, hooked up with Matt Berkey, not sexually, at least I think not sexually. You never know, but uh, he hooked up with Matt Berkey, and uh, Berkey's been promoting him, and he's been trying to help promote uh, Berkey's training business. So uh, Landon has really been putting himself out there 
on his Twitter, he's described as, and when I say described as, he's describing himself. His profile says, uh, 21, Rocket Man. I don't know what that means. Playing poker professionally to eventually play recreationally. I kind of like that. He's like, I've tried to make enough money in poker so then I don't have to stress about supporting myself with it and then I can just be a recreational player. Uh, I blog about it in the link below and then he has a link to uh, his blog. He's actually been on Twitter for four years, but no one really knew him until less than a year ago. As I said, he was just kind of a, a nobody who was a fanboy of Joey Ingram. So he has his detractors. There are a number of players, mainly guys in their 30s and early 40s, who are kind of grizzled poker veterans who've put in a lot of time and stress into the game, ups and downs, you know how it is, who really don't have patience for a guy who's constantly promoting himself and constantly acting over-enthusiastic and excited. Because that, that's basically Landon's whole routine. You can go look at his Twitter, twitter.com slash Landon T-I-C-E. You can go look, and everything is so positive and so enthusiastic and so excited. And in a way, it's kind of refreshing. In a way, it's kind of refreshing that while the rest of us are jaded about poker, uh, you have this kid who's excited like it's 2004 again. And of course, back in 04, he was... Not even kindergarten yet, which is scary to think about. But uh, here you have someone who is young, wide-eyed, and excited about the game and seems to have some skill. But some of these uh, middle-aged poker pros don't appreciate it. Some find it to be annoying. Some find it to be irritating. Some think that he's an attention whore. Some believe he is getting way more attention than he deserves. Basically, just a kid who won one uh, 200k tournament and while that's good for him should everyone be paying attention to him to this extent just because he's promoting himself so much and i can understand that criticism i i noticed this myself he never bothered me like i was i wasn't reading his tweets and getting angry or getting annoyed by him uh, i i kind of saw both sides i saw where people could get annoyed by him and i also saw where it was kind of refreshing in a way to see someone like this in this day and age. And I also realized that he's 21. So if we had like a 40-year-old acting this way, I'd say, yeah, this guy's a douche. <laughs> I'd say this this guy needs to stop. He needs to stop attention whoring. That's what I'd say if he was 40. The reason I see it differently at 21 is because when you're young, it's a lot easier to be excited about things. It's a lot easier to really, really uh, be enthusiastic about new things. And... It's just different. Like, when I see my own son, who's a lot younger than 21, my own son is only 10, but when he gets really excited about things, I don't think, ah, you know, why is he so excited? You know, this is so lame. Like, I don't think that. I'm happy to see him excited. And not just because he's my son. I'm happy to see other kids excited about things that uh, they find interesting and they find cool and they find fun. And as you get older and older, it gets harder to find things that truly excite you anymore. And... When you see people who are younger, who can get excited about things, including things that you stopped finding exciting or fun a long time ago, then, uh, yeah, you can look at that and admire that to some degree. But at the same time, he definitely is someone fishing for attention. He definitely is constantly trying to get everyone to look at him and pay attention to him. And 
he also is a young guy in a field of mostly older people. And it, I can see where this can be bothersome. If you don't quite fit in with your peers demographically, uh, you have to kind of try to fit in with them, not uh, do your own thing and make everybody look at you. And he does that. So I can see the criticism, but overall, I'm more on the side of, okay, you know, this is kind of refreshing. This is, like, I guess a little bit charming, yet also kind of annoying at the same time. Whatever. Like, I don't dislike him. There are some poker players whose tweets I find annoying and who I kind of do dislike. I've mentioned some of them out here. Uh, I'm not going to go into that again. But he's not one of them. He's definitely not someone I cringe when I uh, see he's posted something. I go, ah, what's this idiot saying now? Like, it's not like that. I'll sometimes read it and go, yeah, this is kind of immature. But, you know, he's 21. I expect that. So there's kind of the background. One other thing of small note here doesn't really figure into what I'm talking about, but you may want to take a look if you want to feel old, especially. He actually promoted the Twitter of his mom. He, I, I, like, I don't know why he would do this, but he was actually recommending that people follow his mom on Twitter. <laughs> now, you may say, okay, what's wrong with that? He loves his mom. But, okay, let's look at this again. He's 21. And if you go take a look at his mom, whose name is Marnie Teese, M-A-R-N-I-T-I-C-E, Marnie Teese. If you just uh, do Marnie Teese in Google, you'll see Twitter come up right away. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to say the Twitter handle because it's like a weird thing that's hard to say on the radio. It's not really a word. I don't even know where she came up with it, but uh, she's pretty. <laughs> she She's younger than me, for sure younger than me. Looks like she's in her 40s. She probably had him fairly young, maybe even early 40s. She, if I had to guess her age, it's like, like 41 or something. So uh, looks a good deal younger than me. Pretty. Uh, and uh, it's not like me putting my mom out there who's an old woman. You know, like if I put my mom out there, I wouldn't. But if I did, my mom's not on Twitter. But if I did, people would go, okay, that's Truff's mom. Like there wouldn't be perverts commenting about my mom because she's in her mid-70s. But, but when you're 21 and you've got a hot mom in her early 40s, you, you, like why would you why would you put out her Twitter for for pervs in the poker community to follow her and and make sexual comments to or about her? Now I don't know if anyone has said anything inappropriate to her. I, I did see some comments about her, but I, that's kind of gross. Like you, you don't want to have your mom talked about that way. I, I don't care if your mom is still like fairly young and pretty. You you don't want to even think about your mom that way. You want to think about dudes in poker thinking about your mom that way. I, I'm glad that. I don't have to worry about that because my mom's in her 70s. But, ew, like, <laughs> why would he want that? Why would he want to bring people to follow his, like, early 40s pretty mom unless he's looking for a poker stepdaddy, which he might. Maybe maybe that's his goal is to get some, like, prominent poker bro to marry his mom, who I, I believe is single. Anyway, that's kind of a weird side thing he did. I was even telling someone about that recently. They're like, what? Why would he put his mom out there like why is he giving his mom's twitter out <laughs> they were they were just they, they couldn't figure it out and i go like yeah like i can't figure it either i i actually think maybe he wanted people to notice that his mom was young and pretty and uh pay more attention to him for that reason this may have been more of an attention thing like oh look landa t says a hot mom like it could have been something like that like, it's really weird like that that'd be the last thing i would do if i was 21 and my mom was like in her early 40s like yeah, among a group of people like around that age who are kind of 
uh, many of whom are kind of desperate and perverted. Like there's, there's no way I would, <laughs> I would put my young mom out into the poker community to be followed if I were that age. So anyway, getting on with this, that was just a little side story I wanted to mention. And you can see a picture of, of the mom, by the way, if you go to the poker fraud of their thread. But anyway, getting back on to the, uh, Landon Tease thing. And by the way, I'm being told that it's Landon Tice, not Tease. Damn it. I, I don't know if I want to change. Maybe like Eric Benzamokin. Like his real name is Eric Benzamokin, but I started calling him Eric Benzamokin. Now I can't get out of it. Now I've just, he's just Eric Benzamokin to me. And I, I think Landon Tice is going to be Landon Tease to me, at least for this episode. But, but thank you to the person who told me that. As I mentioned, Landon got some hate from people after this was set up. Some people thought this was unnecessary, that uh, Bill Perkins was just desperate to play anyone because Polk wouldn't play him and others would not play him, and that uh, his demands for big blinds back per 100 was too high, so that's why people would not play him, and that he had to basically take whoever would accept it, in this case, Landon. Uh, Jared Jaffe really went off on him, as did uh, many others who were like poker pros, kind of like cynical poker pros in that age range. Like, think about any poker pro in their 30s and 40s who's active on Twitter and is frequently very, like, sarcastic and negative about things, okay? Think about any poker pro like that, and that guy is probably bashing Landon Tease. <laughs> that's, that's the rule of thumb. If it's someone who's kind of like a very jaded age 30s or 40s male poker pro and posts a lot on Twitter, then... They're probably ripping Landon, and Jared Jaffe is uh, definitely one of those. Again, I understand it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say these people are totally wrong, but I, I also don't really agree with them. Like, in my opinion, he's not that bothersome. Like, I see their point, but don't really get it. Uh, that is going to go on at some point. I still don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Landon also has very long hair. He's, he's like this, uh, he's 21. He has long, kind of like sandy blonde hair. You, you can, you can Google him if you want to see a picture of him. Definitely trying very hard to be the next big thing in poker. Whether there is any kind of, uh, interest in this match, I don't know. It's one thing to want to watch, uh, Paul Kandagranu. It's one thing to want to watch, uh, Galfond versus, uh, other very good pros. It's another thing to want to watch, uh, a 21 year old Johnny Come Lately versus a, uh, rich recreational player. I mean, is that really very exciting? Jeff Dime posted, I literally couldn't give less of a fuck. Really rich guy versus young pro. I just can't get myself invested in this. I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. I guess I'm going to kind of follow it, but I'm really not interested in the match. I'm really not going to be rooting for either one. Like, I guess the only interesting part of this is whether Landon is good enough to overcome a nine big blind per hundred handicap. In case you're wondering if there was a handicap in Polk and Negranu, uh, would this exact handicap have resulted in a different result? So if Negranu was getting back nine big blinds per hundred, would he have been... Uh, the victor in the heads-up match, which he lost to Doug Polk by $1.2 million. The answer is no. Believe it or not, Polk still would have beaten him. Uh, nine big blinds per hundred here would have actually been $900,000 because they played 25,000 hands at 200-400. So uh, 
nine big blinds per hundred means that uh, there would have been uh, 250 instances of giving back uh, uh, of giving back thirty six hundred dollars, which would equal uh, nine hundred thousand dollars. And since it was over a million that Negreanu lost, Polk still would have won by like three hundred k, which is pretty amazing. That like once I thought of it that way, I'm like, wow. So Polk actually beat him by twelve big blinds per hundred. So very good for Polk there. Now, to be fair, most of the way. Uh, Negreanu would have been ahead getting back nine big blinds per hundred. It was only towards the end when uh, he lost a bunch back and also earlier in the match when he got off to a, a bad start where he would have been behind that. But yeah, it would have ended up that Polk would have still beaten him, even with a handicap, which Negreanu would not have... Uh, or Polk would not have given Negreanu, by the way. Even though he would have ended up winning, uh, Polk would not have given Negreanu that handicap, and I agree that that would be... Uh, too high of a handicap to give to someone like Negreanu. In fact, some are saying that this is too high of a handicap to give to Perkins, that Landon just is not good enough and heads up no limit. You know, he's no Doug Polk to where uh, Perkins should be getting that much back. But we'll see. Maybe uh, there is enough of a skill gap to where Teese will win either way. So I guess we'll see. I'm not super excited about it. But what I'm more excited about is talking about the side controversy that came from this, which is much more interesting than an attention-seeking young kid versus a rich guy in the Virgin Islands. This is much more interesting. And that is a big controversy that occurred on Twitter this week involving Terrence Chan and Mike Timex McDonald. Terrence Chan, who does Dat Poker Podcast with Adam Schwartz and Daniel Negreanu, is a soft-spoken guy. He is non-confrontational, to say the least. He's been part of poker for two decades. He started out actually as a customer service employee at Poker Stars. In fact, I remember getting emails from him. I remember getting emails from uh, customer service support rep Terrence. In fact, I got a lot of emails from him before anyone knew who he was. I remember in 2004, I didn't play in the main event, but uh, I had a friend who did. And my friend went to go pick up uh, his PokerStars swag there in Binion's, where they were holding it at the time. And uh, there's a little PokerStars room, like a hotel room they rented to give this stuff away. And I, I went up there with my friend, and this Asian guy hands it to him. And says, "Hey, I'm Terrence." I go, "Oh, you're are you Poker Star Support Rep Terrence?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Oh, I'm I'm Dan Druff, Todd Wittell. And He says, "Oh yeah, we've we've emailed before." And so that that was the first time I met Terrence Chan. At that point, he was still this uh, Poker Star Support Rep. Uh, shortly after that, he became a very good player in his own right and became a poker pro and played on Poker Stars under the name Unassigned, which I, I have to imagine was uh, some kind of inside joke there. But he played as unassigned. He became a very good limit hold'em player. He made the biggest name for himself by winning uh, two limit hold'em scoop events, which was a major tournament series on Poker Stars at the time, on the same day. Like uh, the medium buy-in and the large buy-in, he won them both on the same day, which was pretty impressive. Uh, Terrence has also made some final tables at the World Series. Has never quite won a bracelet that has still eluded him. Uh, but but good and successful player. And I've 
sat with him a number of times, played with him a number of times, both in cash and tournaments. Terrence is an MMA fighter in his spare time, and he takes that very seriously. In fact, you could see a, a picture of him fighting on his Twitter, which is at T-Chan Poker, T-C-H-A-N Poker. So he's been around a long time. He's pretty well respected. And as I said, he's soft-spoken. He's quiet. He's not an in-your-face guy, which I guess he could be because he's a good MMA fighter. Like, I bet he could kick the ass of a lot of people in poker. But uh, he's not a confrontational guy. His his personality type is one who likes to avoid confrontation. He's kind of just someone who, who speaks softly and politely. And in fact, he doesn't care for me very much. Now, he doesn't hate me. He doesn't have a problem with me. We've never had any kind of confrontation, like not even one. But he said, and he said it on his show when he was discussing with Adam Schwartz, who does listen to Poker Fraud Alert and has talked before about listening to Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, Terrence once said, uh, Todd's not really my type of guy. He's too caustic. And what he meant by that is that I am someone who is kind of uh, outspoken and confrontational. And you guys know that from listening to this show. You guys know that I don't hold back my opinion. And you guys know that I'm not afraid to criticize or get into arguments or, you know, just got to go head on into things just very directly. And that's like the opposite of Terrence. We have like opposite personalities. So he doesn't want to listen to this show because, and he said this, he doesn't listen to this show because uh, we have totally different personality types. And he, he clarified that, that he doesn't have a problem with me. It's just my personality type is one he doesn't care for. And that's fine. I don't hold that against him. Not everybody has to like me. He's never done anything to me. And whenever I've seen his opinions that he's expressed online, uh, I've usually agreed with him. So he usually has a pretty logical take about things. He has a good feel for the poker community. So even if he doesn't like my personality, I can still respect him uh, for his poker play and for his uh, reputation in poker and for his takes on things, which tend to be pretty logical and reasonable and well thought out. There was only one other time that I can think of that he was really in some kind of uh, social media controversy. And this wasn't even when social media was prominent. This was when the only social media out there was MySpace. Now, this didn't occur on MySpace, but when I talk about a social media uh when I talk about that, I'm talking about like 2000s social media, which was like blogs and forums. So there was a controversy before anyone really knew who he was, aside from people who played with him on PokerStars, where uh, he was at an event at the Playboy Mansion. It was not put on by Playboy. It was the mansion was rented out. And uh, Joy Miller, my favorite person, was in charge of that event. It was a, an event to raise money for charity. They're giving away a World Series seat. Uh, without going into the whole story again, because I think it was in 07, so we're talking about 14 years ago, uh, Terrence got cheated out of a seat. Joy screwed him hard out of a seat. Annie Duke was allegedly at the table uh, colluding, too, but uh, according to Terrence. But uh, the, the bigger story, actually, was the way Joy just absolutely screwed him out of a, a 10K main event seat. So, again, he wasn't known at the time. But he wrote a blog about what happened. And I believed the whole blog. And I actually knew Joy through my then-girlfriend, who was friends with her. And it really made me lose respect for Joy, who honestly I didn't care for much anyway. Like, talk about someone whose personality I didn't like. I just, like, from the moment I met her, I found her obnoxious 
and arrogant and did not like her. But I was cordial with her because my girlfriend was friends with her. But after reading this story, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't friends with Terrence, but I felt so bad for him that I, I had to give my opinion. And I posted on Poker Fraud, not Poker Fraud Alert, on Everyone Poker. There was no Poker Fraud Alert yet. I posted on Everyone Poker at the time that I agreed with Terrence, but I, I was not, I was trying to not to be offensive towards Joy because she was my girlfriend's friend. Not a really close friend, but a friend. But I, I did post my opinion in a respectful fashion that was taking Terrence's side. And most people took Terrence's side. And Joy looked really bad. And it got taken to 2 plus 2. It was on Terrence's blog. And just about everybody commenting on it bashed Joy, and rightfully so, and took Terrence's side. By the way, Joy was super bitter at me for this, even though I only had a small part in it, and uh, later took revenge on me two years later, which I've told before on this show I won't bother getting into now, and we've disliked each other ever since. It was all because of this Terrence Chan thing, which, ironically, I was defending a guy who later was going to say he hates my personality, so that, that wasn't the best decision on my part, but I, I still stand by what I said at the time, and Terrence did get screwed there, that's for sure. So anyway... That was really the only controversy Terrence Chan has ever been in. Now, he's posted about controversial situations where he's been a part of it in some way, such as uh, he was uh, the head of customer service at uh, Ultimate Poker. Not Ultimate Bet. Remember Ultimate Poker? That failed legalized online poker site in Nevada and New Jersey, which came up in 2013, first to market and failed. Uh, He was the lead of customer service there. And they were drawing upon both his knowledge of the poker community and his work in customer service previously. And so he actually spoke out afterwards about what had uh, transpired there. And it was very interesting. And he talked about all the different fail and all the different mistakes they made. He also had some uh, nightmarish situations at the U.S.-Canadian border. He's a Canadian citizen. I think he's living in Canada again now. But uh, he got once held up at the border for like eight hours because he was a poker player carrying cash. So he's posted about things like that. But these things weren't really controversial. It was just kind of him being in the middle of an interesting story. As I said, the only controversy I've seen him part of prior to this, unless I'm forgetting something, was the thing with Joy Miller where everyone took his side. Well, this was the first time I ever saw Terrence Chan in a controversy where everybody didn't take his side and where he definitely had some fault. In fact, he had so much fault that it was actually pretty shocking to me that for a veteran of poker, a veteran of poker social media, for a guy who has a show that covers poker topics and poker news every week and has been doing for years, like I do here, it's a different show than this one, but there's some similarities between the two, uh, I'm shocked that he didn't see how tone-deaf his tweets really were, and how bad he would end up looking. Usually, Terrence has a good deal of self-awareness. In fact, he may have too much self-awareness, and that contributes to why he is non-confrontational and soft-spoken, because I I think Terrence is a guy who just does not want to make waves and does not want to have people fighting with him and hating him. I think he's just one of these people who does not like doing that and is always aware of what he says. So even if he feels strongly about something, he puts it in a polite way or doesn't say it at all. And this was a departure from that. This was him just kind of going off where he was clearly in the wrong in several ways. But he was not completely in the wrong, in my opinion. So let me tell you what happened. I'm going to read you his series of tweets 
from February 8th, 2021. And uh, then I will tell you how uh, Mike McDonald responded, because this is about Mike McDonald and poker shares. I, I guess before I, I give those tweets, I guess I should explain Mike McDonald and poker shares. Mike McDonald, also known as Timex, is a very successful young guy in poker. His Twitter handle is Mike McDonald 89, Mike McDonald 89. And the 89 is in reference to his birth year. So he is only 31, maybe he's just turning 32. Young guy. And from the very beginning, not only was he a very good player who made a lot of money playing poker, but he also had a knack for seeing a lot of business opportunities, money-making opportunities around poker. So he made prop bets over time where just about every time he came out on top. Most recently, he did that uh, basketball free throw event where uh, he won, and there was a little controversy over that, which we won't revisit. But uh, it seems like any time he says, hey, I can do this, who wants to bet me? Whatever side he takes or whatever prop he offers you, you should run the other way because he's always on the right side. He's always winning. It's, it's amazing. So really good at seeing those opportunities. And uh, also, he has done a lot of little uh, side businesses having to do with poker that have also made him money. So he's done staking. He's done what's known as the uh, Bank of Timex, where uh, if you want to buy a piece of someone that uh, he'll sell you a piece of that person at a better price than they're selling it. So let's say there's a fairly good player who you want to buy a piece of, but that player is arrogant and is selling it for a 1.4, that 40% markup. You go, I don't think the person's worth 40% markup. Like I, I think they're positive expectation in the tournament, but not that much. So what Timex would do is he would then sell pieces of that player for cheaper. He would actually, he would actually, which you can do if you want, you know, like, uh, as long as he pays out, it's fine. He it doesn't have, have to be the player himself. So he had that going on. He, he came up with a lot of great ideas, which made him a lot of money. So at, in his early thirties, he's very successful. He's made a ton of money through poker, both on and off the felt. So props to Mike McDonald, a very sharp guy, a very smart guy, a very skilled guy. I give him tremendous respect for that. I do. I'm not being sarcastic. I, I really give him tremendous respect for that. However, sometimes I read his Twitter and I go, what the hell? Like, I, it's, it's almost amazing it's the same guy. I go, how can someone who's so sharp and so smart and sees all these opportunities and understand how the world works well enough to put himself uh, in a profitable spot in all these situations, which, which requires some understanding of the way a lot of things in life work? It's not like he's just a, a savant poker player. But but yet, sometimes you see this immaturity out of him, which which doesn't jibe with the rest of it. He, he will say sometimes really weird and immature things. He will tweet things which just leave you scratching your head like, what's this guy thinking? Does does he not understand the world? Does he? It's really a strange thing to behold, to, to look at his tweets sometimes. Not every day. But and I'm not talking about like unpopular political takes. I'm talking about even apolitical stuff where he'll just say bizarre things that you go, how could he really think this? How could, how could he have this take? And, and I've seen other just weird behavior out of him that shows he still has a lot of growing up to do, even though he's in his early thirties, which yeah, it's a lot younger than me. But by this point, uh, you, you think he should be mostly grown up and, and it looks like he's not. 
like I've even seen strange things like he was in a restaurant once and rightfully discovered as I probably would have that uh the tasting menu that he ordered was more expensive than ordering the each item individually and getting a bigger portion so you get screwed both ways you get a smaller portion and you're paying more money for the exact same items so he brought this to the restaurant owner's attention as I would have but uh without getting into the whole story again Amazingly, in his tweets, he was saying that he thought that he should not uh, walk out of there, even if the owner makes it right, without forcing the owner to make it right for everyone else in the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding me. What is he, like the tasting menu warrior now? It's one thing to notice a discrepancy like that and bring it to the owner's attention and say, hey, please adjust my bill because I was pushed into ordering this and I could have done it this other way. It would have been way cheaper and I would have gotten more. So let's make a compromise here. It's another thing to, to, to demand the restaurant owner uh, go table to table and readjust everybody's bill. I mean, that's not the way life works. What, the, what does he think he is here? So like just weird crap like that. And I, I said, I, like, you look at the guy and from his Business dealings and stuff like that, he seems like someone who really has it together, just really sharp on everything. And then other matters in life, you go, wow, this guy has no clue. So anyway, that kind of came into play here. So he has this site called PokerShares. PokerShares is a site where you can basically bet on poker matches where they put up markets where you can bet uh, one way or the other who's going to win a certain match, who's going to, uh, you know, you, you can, again, buy pieces of people at a, at a lower markup than they might be charging. Uh, it, it's kind of attempting to set a side betting market on everything in poker. And, of course, they take a commission. It's kind of very similar to a sports book, except you're not betting on a sports contest. You're actually betting on poker contests. So it's it's interesting. And... He makes money from it. He makes good money. I don't know if he's the only owner of it or if he's just uh, the main owner, but he is the main owner and CEO of Poker Shares. He created Poker Shares. And uh, Terrence Chan was going through Poker Shares. And he noticed something. He noticed that there was a bet up for the Bill Perkins and Landon Teese match. Remember, which has a nine big blinds per hundred refund from Teese to Perkins, which we already discussed. Anyway, this is what uh, he saw on there. This is uh, tweeted by PokerShares. The market is up on the site, referring to the Perkins-Teese match. And then, basically, they were both even. You can bet either one at minus 109, meaning that you would bet $109 to win 100 on either one. And the reason for the 109 rather than 100 is for the house juice. So that's how poker shares makes money, just like any sports book would. So basically, the two were listed there like they're even money. Whichever side you want to bet on, it's going to pay the same. Well, Terrence saw this, and he thought, hmm, that looks like a good deal. Remember, it does not mention the nine big blinds per hundred. It actually says on poker shares, at least at the time, it says uh, Bill Perkins versus Landon T's heads-up challenge. Then it says uh, market void if uh, zero hands are played. Max bet a uh, thousand euros per user, and then it has the odds. That's all it says. So the question one might think would be, what does this bet mean? Is it just whoever finishes ahead, 
or whoever finishes ahead after that nine big blinds per hundred handicap is given from Teese to Perkins. It's not specified. It's ambiguous. So I'm sure Terrence noticed that. So here's Terrence's story, and then we're going to go over it. On February 8th, he tweeted, This is a tweet storm I never thought I'd write, and I'm disappointed I had to write. I'm going to call out Poker Shares and Mike McDonald, a site and a person I've been a fan of. I will endeavor just to put out the facts forward first and then add my commentary and feelings later. Now, by the way, I happened to see this very shortly after Terrence posted it, before there was much of a reaction. So uh, I was not drawn to it by someone bringing my attention to it. So when I saw that first tweet, I thought, okay, Terrence is a very smart and logical and even-tempered guy. So if he's calling out Mike McDonald and poker shares, I bet Terrence is totally in the right and is finally forced to bring this public, even though he hates doing things like this. Because he does. But he's he's kind of forced. That's what I thought from that first tweet. Wow, I wonder what, what McDonald did now. And it wasn't that hard to believe that McDonald did something inappropriate, because as I said, he has that immaturity to him. And... uh I thought, wow, he did something to screw Terrence. Wonder what it is. But then as I read on, I was kind of surprised. So this is what uh, Terrence wrote. Yesterday, I'm scrolling Twitter, and Mike retweets this pictured tweet from PokerShares. I go for the clickbait and click through to see that is indeed the bet they have. And it's the one I just described to you where you can bet on either side for the same money, $109 to win 100 known as minus 109 either on Perkins or Tease. I don't know much about Landon, but the line seems strange. So I asked some friends in a group chat. Two don't know much either. One suggests he's not a no-limit specialist. The other one says the downside is the bet likely won't complete for years. That's referring to Perkins and the fact that he'll probably be too busy to play many hands. It'll take a long time for 20,000 hands to be played. A third thinks this is a good bet. Okay, so let's stop there. Let's stop there. Terrence didn't just see this and fire. Terrence actually consulted three friends. Actually, I guess it was four friends. He said a third, but it looks like he's talking about four people. So it looks like he asked four friends in a, quote, group chat. Maybe there were more than four people there. But in a group chat, he said, hey, guys, this looks like something that is a good opportunity. I mean, I think Landon's a pro, right? And Perkins a wreck. Hey, uh, wouldn't he be a favorite here? And so two guys said, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not really familiar with this. And then someone else said, well, he's not really a no-limit specialist, so uh, maybe he's not a favorite. And then uh, another one's like, yeah, you know, I think it's a good bet, but it's probably not going to complete for years. You probably don't want to lock your money up for all that time. Do you think of all these people that not, not one is aware or couldn't find by looking at Landon's Twitter or Bill Perkins' Twitter that nine big blinds per hundred is coming back? And like it's really, really clearly stated in their tweets about this match coming up. So all these people in this group, not one of them's like, hmm, I don't know if Landon can beat nine big blinds per hundred. Not one said that. Not one brought this up, even the person saying he's not an no-limit specialist. Like, there's no chance in a group chat that not a single person talked up at the nine big blinds per hundred and discussed this with Terrence. So this already is looking dishonest to me. When I'm seeing this and going, hmm, what? Like, (laughs) like, this already looks like it's setting up a story which simply is not true. So Terrence goes on to write, Deciding this is a positive expectation bet, I fire the max, he's referring to on Landon. I actually expect the line to move, but it doesn't, so I fire again. I'm used to Pinnacle, which is a sports book which uh, serves most of the world, but not the U.S. Uh, I'm used to Pinnacle's dynamic lines, 
and Bet365 doesn't let you fire more than once. What he's talking about is he bet the max 1,000 euro on it and then said, hmm, I wonder if I can bet a second time and bet a second time. And instead of like what most books do when you've reached the limit, say, sorry, you've reached the limit, uh, it let him do it again. He claims on Pinnacle that uh, it'll actually change the line often when people will fire the max on something, but that here it didn't change the line and let him bet again. So he fired more bets. He said, uh, later poker shares would email to say it's a 1K max bet and they're canceling the other two bets. So I guess he bet three times uh, for 3,000 euro total, but they canceled two of them, which is confusing because my experiences with the above books, but reasonable. So, okay, so he's saying that... Uh, all right, you, you guys shouldn't have let me bet more than once, which I agree. Like, they, they should just not allow you to bet more than once if that's the maximum. But uh, he's not complaining about that. He's saying, fine, you guys wrote a 1,000 max limit. Fine, restrict me to a 1,000. So he was restricted to a 1,000 euro, which is a little more than $1,000, but we'll just call it a 1,000. About eight minutes after that, they emailed me to clarify the terms of the bet. I say, what? And send them the screenshots from above, which clearly indicate no such thing. And I'll explain what they mean here. Uh, at no point is minus 720K mentioned. Notice their tweet from number two is still live at this point. So the 720K is referring to the fact that over 20,000 hands, nine big blinds per hundred means that basically Tease is going to be giving back 720K to Perkins uh, because of the nine big blinds per hundred over 20,000 hands. So this is what the poker shares customer service email says to Terrence. It's unclear who actually wrote this, but someone at quote customer service wrote this to Terrence eight minutes after he got the uh, "Hey, we canceled your bets" things. I'm not sure how long it was after he placed the bet, but it was eight minutes after he got the "Hey, we're canceling your your other two bets and only leaving one standing." Hi. This email is to clarify that you bet on Landon Teese winning the challenge, meaning he wins more than 720K versus Bill Perkins over 20,000 hands. The 720,000 amount is equivalent to the agreed nine big blinds per hundred that Landon is laying to play the challenge. Should any player forfeit the challenge, then this player loses the challenge for the purpose of settling our betting markets. Should you have placed your bet without understanding the above, you have 24 hours to cancel the bet by responding to this email. Let's look at that. Clearly, they knew the bet was ambiguous. Because Terrence did not email them out of nowhere saying, hey, can you clarify the bet? They actually clarified on their own pretty quickly, saying, hey, hold on, Terrence. Uh, just want to let you know, these are the actual terms of the bet. So if you were confused when you placed it and didn't understand that, we will reverse the bet if you do it within 24 hours. If you tell us within 24 hours, cancel it, we'll cancel it. Otherwise, it's going to stand the way we're saying it, where there's the nine big blinds per hundred, and that is figured into it. So Terrence right then decided that he's going to dig his heels in. He decided that, nope, they've got to honor it as stated. Now, let me give you a little more backstory. Apparently, Terrence had some kind of relationship with Mike McDonald over the years. I don't mean a romantic relationship. I mean some kind of like semi-friendship. They weren't close friends, but they weren't just complete acquaintances where, aside from just knowing of each other in poker... Uh, they really have no contact. Apparently, they, they were friendly over the past 10 years. Again, I don't know how much they hung out or talked, but uh, it was more than just casual acquaintances in poker. So um, Terrence actually was considering contacting Mike directly about this, but uh, instead he uh, just emailed back support saying, 
uh-uh, guys, you have to honor it the way it was stated. Now, before we go on about what happens after that with Mike's response, because Mike gets involved without even Terrence asking, let's look at what Terrence was doing and what Poker Shares is doing, because they're already both in the wrong. Terrence definitely is angling here. I can't say with 100% certainty that he was angling, because I am not in Terrence Chan's head. But knowing Terrence Chan, knowing the fact that he had a group chat with other knowledgeable poker pros and tried to research this bet, he didn't just see it and go and like fire without thinking. So if It's one thing if he saw it and goes, oh my god, Landon Teese is, uh, is actually even money with... Uh, with Bill Perkins, oh wow, he's a better player than Perkins. Okay, I'm betting on this the max. Like, okay, you can see someone getting enthusiastic and firing on that without really thinking about the terms, maybe even not knowing the terms. But you can't get in a group chat and have a full discussion of this and somehow come away not knowing this. So, for sure, he was trying to angle here. I mean, he he thought he found a bet that was written up poorly on poker shares, and that they, they had an oversight that they accidentally didn't mention the nine big blinds per hundred, and that once he books the bet and they accept the bet, that uh, basically they have to honor it. So that was what he was thinking. Terrence Sham was thinking about making money the same way he will try to make money from any sports book. If he were to see this on Bovada or Bet Online or any of these other books out there, he saw it the same way. Like, okay, they're offering a bet, which is definitely positive expectation. This is an advantage play. I'm going to take it. I'm going to bet as much as I can. And... uh not only was he restricted to one bet, but it turned out that uh, they corrected the terms after the fact. So, truthfully, poker shares should have honored this. They should have changed the terms for going forward, but they should have honored this for those who placed it like this, which I don't think were that many people. I don't think there were that many who jumped on this. They got to it pretty quickly. I think they should have honored it. That's what other books do when they make a mistake like this. With, with books, it always is what is stated in the terms. And... Uh, it's one thing if something is completely crazy to where there's no chance it could be the line. Like if you, let's talk about uh, like a basketball game. Let's say tomorrow uh, the Lakers are are playing the Houston Rockets, and somehow the Houston Rockets are a uh, thousand to one dog. Well, that would never happen in an NBA game. So if I were to bet the Houston Rockets at a thousand to one to win the game and then I get my bet canceled, that would make sense. Because uh, someone with even the slightest bit of knowledge of NBA betting would know this is a mistake. However, if they, let's say they offered a line on Houston as uh, plus 500, when really the the line for that game should have been uh, plus 200, uh, that they should honor. Because that's not outrageous. That's definitely a good line, but that's not outrageous. It's something where you can think, okay, I don't understand why they're this much of a dog, but okay, uh, I like it anyway. I like it. I'm betting it. A thousand to one, and when I say plus five hundred, I would say that means five to one, not five hundred to one. But uh, a thousand to one obviously would be a mistake. So, if you're betting on an obvious mistake, then it can be canceled. And all these online books have that term that if there is an egregious mistake that is just so out of line with what the norm would be that they can cancel it. But if it's not an egregious mistake and just one that is positive expectation for the better when it wasn't intended to be, then it stands. That's, it's been the policy pretty much everywhere. And poker shares should have stuck to that. They should have done what the industry does and changed it going forward, but honored it for those that bet it, up to a 1,000 euros each. And I don't think there was that much money because it wasn't up for that long before they discovered the mistake. That was poker shares' mistake, but 
Terrence Chan was definitely angling. He wasn't just like, hmm, well, Landon T seems to be the better player. My friends agree. Okay, I'm betting on that. What? I didn't know anything about nine big blinds per hundred. I'm shocked. It wasn't like that. It was, uh, he, he, and even if he knew about it and thought maybe they were just offering it without the nine big blinds per hundred and making a mistake, whatever it was, he should have known, and I'm sure he did know, that they just neglected to put that. That they probably meant to put it. They would have put it if they were thinking. They just neglected it and he took advantage of it. Which, if you're betting with a normal book, like, uh, like Bovada is fine and I would do the same thing. But when it's somebody you are friendly with, you don't do that. That's taking advantage of somebody. That's taking advantage of a friendly party. And that's just not ethical. And I wouldn't do that. I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody I'm friendly with, maybe not a close friend, but just like, let's say some guy I talk to back and forth sometimes in text who listens to this show. Not like a close friend, but someone I like. And let's say the guy says, uh, hey, Todd, I, I know you like blackjack. Um, how about when the pandemic's over, uh, we go to a hotel room and uh, I'll deal you a single deck of blackjack to the bottom or almost to the bottom. And uh, you can supply the deck so you don't have to worry about card marking or anything. And, and I'll act as the house and you can act as the player and we'll just play each other heads up. I would say to this person, uh, you're aware I can count cards, right? You're aware that if we do a single deck like this, that I will have a big edge over you and that uh, you're probably going to lose money. Now, if the guy says, yeah, sure, I still want to gamble, I'm aware. And once I make him fully aware of what his negative expectation would really be and he wants to do it, yeah, then I'd do it. But I would make sure he'd be fully aware. I would not jump at it and say, yes, yes, okay, cool, positive expectation opportunity, sweet. I'm going to clean this guy out. I wouldn't do that because it's a friendly party. Whereas if I were walking through a casino and saw that type of game offered, I would sit down immediately. So it's different. It's different if it's a cold business transaction and when you're dealing with someone who's friendly to you. Someone who's friendly to you, you don't try to angle, you don't try to take advantage of their mistakes, you don't try to beat them where the contest isn't fair. At least they need to know it's not fair. Before you do it. If, they, if they're aware it's not fair and want to do it anyway, fine, I guess. But you don't try to angle your friends. I would not do this to anybody I'm friendly with if they ran something like poker shares. Like, let's say let's say Cal Watt ran poker shares. If I saw that, I wouldn't do that to angle Cal Watt. I would do it to Bovada. I do it to Bet Online. I'm not friends with Bovada or Bet Online. Bet Online and Bovada are trying to take my money. They charge a house juice. They have a business to take my money through uh, their sports book, and uh, I am trying to beat their sports book and take their money. That's part of the game. But when you're dealing with a friend, or at least someone who's a semi-friend, you you don't go do this. It's it's bad form. It's I, I was surprised that Terrence would do this because he has a very good reputation. But I simply don't believe that he thought they really meant to offer the bet this way. I think he believed that uh, this was an oversight and this is something he could jump on. I don't believe he was ignorant of the nine big blinds per hundred, and I don't believe that he thought they were really intentionally offering this without the nine big blinds per hundred. I think he knew for sure it was an oversight and then wanted to check on it with his friends. It's like, hey, you know, they're not mentioning that here. Do you think this is a good bet? Or does 
maybe McDonald knows something that I don't. Because remember, McDonald is very sharp. So he's thinking, you know, does, does McDonald know that Perkins is actually the better player <laughs> and isn't including the nine big blinds per hundred as a trap? Or is it really just they, this is an oversight? I have a feeling that was the conversation. I'll never know because I doubt that anyone in the group chat is going to betray Terrence and tell me the conversation or tell anyone the conversation. But I have a feeling it was something like that. Terrence is a sharp guy. I have a feeling his friends in this group chat are sharp guys. I know who his friends are. He's part of this whole, like, uh, math poker group. Uh, people like Bill Chen. I don't know if Bill Chen was there, but I just imagine, like, that's who was there, because I know he's friends with these guys. With Bill Chen and Quaternion and others like that. Like, all, all these, like, smart math advantage player type guys. That's who Terrence Chan is friends with. Matt Harolenko was part of that group. I don't think he's part of poker anymore, but, you know, like, those, those are Terrence Chan's friends that he talks to. He's not talking to, to morons or fish. So I don't believe for a second that he was not angling there and that he was not angling someone that he sees as a friendly party. And that's bad form. That's very bad form. So this is what Terrence Chan then goes on to say. Almost immediately, I get a private message from Mike McDonald, and our conversation is as follows. He gets this from Mike right away, even though he didn't, asked Mike to get involved. He wrote to support basically saying, uh, he, he didn't show his own email to support, basically he wrote to support saying, uh, I don't agree with this, uh, you need to honor it as is, and then immediately Mike just jumped in and started messaging him. So this is what uh, Mike messaged him. <laughs> he starts out with, I love this opening, are you dumb? <laughs> are you dumb? And so Terrence responds back, LOL what? Mike needs to work on customer service skills. You, you don't start out with, are you dumb? That's, that's not how you talk to customers. Mike says, support just showed me your email. All content surrounding this match references the nine big blinds per hundred, and Landon's trying to overcome a nine big blind per hundred handicap. Terrence says, I mean, you got to take that one. You tweeted it and put the line up. I even asked people, is this crazy or am I missing something? Some 21-year-old grinder versus multimillionaire? And then... uh McDonald wrote back, this is the challenge, and reposted that tweet. Landon winning a dollar isn't a win. Terrence saying, um, you might want to put that in the terms of your own bet. You seriously fucking calling me dumb when you don't even put nine big blinds per hundred under your own terms? You are Mr. Terms. Referring to how Mike McDonald always likes to uh, very, very carefully state terms in any of the prop bets that he ever does. You were the least ambiguous terms person in the election bets by far. Referring to the election that just went off. Mike McDonald says, I don't think there's any ambiguity. If Landon wins eight big blinds per hundred, and thus Bill profits as one big blind per hundred, you lose. Do you think anyone will consider Landon the winner? Well, yes. I mean, uh, in, in for this bet, yes. Mike is crazy hearing this saying there's no ambiguity. Of course there's ambiguity. And this this is part of his immaturity. He's just, he's not willing to admit a mistake was made here. I mean, yes, mistakes happen, but admit you made a mistake. You can say, hey, Terrence, I made a mistake and you're a jerk for taking advantage of it, but uh, you made a mistake, Mike. Don't don't be an arrogant asshole and say there's no ambiguity. So Terrence says, I don't think there's any ambiguity in whether Landon wins or loses money, but I think there's an awful lot of ambiguity in what you put on your site if you think people are supposed to magically infer Landon winning nine big blinds per hundred, which is true, because how does Mike know that people looking at this bet know the details of this match? What if they just see it and go, oh, okay, I know Landon Tease. I know Bill Perkins. Uh, Landon's a better player. Okay, I'm betting on him. 
you don't necessarily have to know about the nine big blinds per hundred. You didn't have to have seen that tweet. So Terrence is totally right there. But he knew. I can tell you he knew. Not with any inside information, just from knowing about Terrence, knowing about Terrence's friends, knowing about the conversation they must have had. Uh, he knew. Mike says, it's, I'll update the terms to prevent this happening again. It's about who will win the challenge. We'll try to uh, spell it out more clearly. So Terrence says, I see now that it's updated with a spread, which is how you should have done it in the first place. Your tweet still looks like it's at evens, which you should probably follow up with a clarify, but I'm not going to tell you how to run your business, and I think you should know it's a pretty bad look. And then so then uh, McDonald says, I think it's suboptimal. I'll give you that. Regarding whether to keep your first bet or not, would you rather say what you want to do to, to me or to support? Then Mike says, I don't think it was an error, number one. Number two, you stated yourself that you feel this is 700 euros in EV. And unlike all sports books, we have terms for the odds posted are not reflective of the market rate under errors. Then he posted a uh, link to terms and conditions. Quote, if a result of human error are systems problems or, or systems problems, a bet is accepted at, a, at odds that are material different, materially different from those available in the general market at the time the bet was pl- placed or made or clearly incorrect given the chance of the event occurring at the time the bet was made, then we reserve the right to cancel or void that bet. Okay, well, that's what I was referring to before is like an egregious mistake. They're talking about what's different than available elsewhere in the general market. Well, I don't think this is anywhere else in the general market, so there's no comparison. And this is not egregious. It's something that's positive expectation to bet on Landon, but it's not egregious. So this, the terms don't really uh, apply here, in my opinion. Terrence says, I mean, you don't get to have it both ways. If it's not an error, then the text is not relevant, which is a good point. Mike's like, hey, this wasn't placed in error. Okay, well, then it's not an error. It stands. <laughs> and if it is an error, my argument is that you need to let the customer have one and improve your process so it doesn't happen again. This is nuts because it's a trivial amount of money for you and your company. It's not even a big amount of money for me either, but hey, it's a fun gamble for me to get it in good. I've seen you get tilted when everyone does the Timex only gets a good thing, and this is exactly why you have that rep. This is so meaningless in the long run. Why are you even fighting me on it? So basically, Terrence is saying, you get it good in good just about every single time, and people complain that you will never do a prop bet unless you think you have a big edge. So the one time someone gets something over you for a small amount of money, uh, you freak out. So Mike says, it was you trying to angle shoot us, which is true. Do you seriously think if you bet Bill and Bill lost six big blinds per hundred, you'd expect to lose the bet? Just someone I consider a friend trying to fuck me is just insulting. You obviously wanted to free roll this. I mean, that's a good point. That's, that's the best point Mike has here. He should concede that this was an error. He should concede that usually they should honor this. He could even concede that he will honor this. But he can say, Terrence, this is bad form. What are you doing to me here? Why Why are you angling me? I thought we considered each other friends. Why, why are you looking for things like this? Uh, why are you looking for things like this as if we're Bovada, as if we're bet online? Why are you trying to advantage play us here? Why are you trying to find errors in our offerings to screw me if we're friends? So then Terrence writes... I mean, I feel the same way. This is not an angle. I'm not past posting or something. Past posting means betting on something after you know the result. I just got in good. Then your customer service sends an email to clarify, but the clarification is actually changing the terms of the bet. 
Like, not everyone follows the news. I actually asked three other people, what is this line? Is it crazy? And one person says, oh, I think Landon's a PLO player. And someone else says, oh, I think it's because the challenge won't happen for two years. See, I don't believe that. I don't believe nobody knew that. See, I, I don't think Terrence is being honest here. And yeah, maybe they're not informed. I have no idea. I don't even follow Landon on Twitter. I only hear about his reputation. I just know I'm betting some 20-something pro versus a rich guy who gives no fucks and wondering what I'm missing. I think he was wondering what he was missing. I think he was wondering, did pokersers make a mistake, or, or do they really know something that, that Perkins is better than people think, or that uh, Landon's worse than they think? Mike wrote, we quoted their message clarifying the terms in our post there in the event that loses that Bell loses uh, s- seven big blinds per hundred, and we can see what the community v- views as the winner of the challenge. Like, void the bet and they give you a free roll on the middle of the, on the middle if the community calls you a winner if Landon wins like seven big blinds a hundred. That's what you wanted, right? And Terrence says, also, you've made it a point to dis- disassociate yourself from the business day to day. My instinct when they first sent the email was to go to you, but I know you hate that shit, so I wanted to go through the normal channels first. I really didn't want to bring it up to you, so I'm not angle shooting a friend. I'm placing a bet on a book my friend happens to know. What? If you're Steve Wynn and I find some positive ED blackjack table, I'm also playing the fuck out of it because it's fun to spot edges. Okay, see, I don't like that whole statement. First of all, it looks like to me that Terrence is saying that uh, Mike has disassociated himself with the day-to-day operations of the business while still owning all or most of it because he's just tired of dealing with uh, uh, customer service type of stuff that goes on day-to-day with running a business like that. So it kind of looks like Mike handed this off to other people to run day-to-day, but is still the owner. And uh, I said, I don't see why that changes anything. If it's Mike's money, then he's the one losing. You're still angle shooting him. I don't care who's actually uh, doing the work running it. Uh, second, this whole thing about Steve Wynn, it almost sounds to me, now this isn't totally clear, but it almost sounds to me like he's saying if he were friends with Steve Wynn, and then he's walking through the win and sees a blackjack game that's positive expectation, he's going to sit down and smash it, which I think is also bad form. It's not bad form if you're not friends with Steve Wynn, but if you are friends with Steve Wynn, you shouldn't be going into his casino trying to smash him. That kind of seems like what he's saying. He says, if you're Steve Wynn, kind of meaning like, if, if I'm friends with Steve Wynn, and I find some positive e blackjack there, I'm also playing the fuck out of it. You know, that's, I, I think Terrence needs to look at himself and say, how do you treat friends? Not everything in life needs to be positive expectation. You don't jump at every shot you can take to make money if you're making the money off of a friend. Now, I agree if you're just walking through the wind and don't know Steve Wynn, or he's just an acquaintance, yeah, sure. Sit down at that positive EV game and, and beat it, but not if you're friends with Steve Wynn, back in the day when Wynn was involved. McDonald says you can justify it however you want. Terrence says I'm fine to take it to arbitration, a three to five agreed people and whatever, and ask if the bet should stand. I don't want to fight with you over some tiny amount of money, uh, though we, so we agree we never discuss it again no matter what the result. And then he, Terrence also mentions that uh, he meant to say, my friend happens to own, not if my friend happens to know. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, like, what does he mean that McDonald knows poker shares? He owns poker shares. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. If McDonald owns poker shares and you're angling poker shares, then you're angling McDonald. It's the transitive property, which I'm sure you know very well, Terrence, especially being part of that whole math crew there and seeming to be... Uh, pretty good at math yourself so uh 
than Mike wrote, there's no way I'm spending my time on that, referring to arbitration. You can respond to the support email in 24 hours if you want it voided or you can let the bet stand. Obviously, you can give us shit on social media. So that's pretty ballsy. He's actually saying that uh, you, want, you want to bring it out publicly? Go ahead. Because Terrence was kind of making a reference to, that, hey, how about we just uh, do arbitration and then we, neither of us mention this publicly. He's like, no, no arbitration. I'm not wasting money. Uh, I'm not wasting my time on arbitration over uh, 1,000 euros. And uh, if you think I'm wrong, go ahead. Tell everyone. Tell the world. I dare you. So Terrence is. <laughs> Terrence is telling the world. So you already see the problem here, kind of on both sides. You, you have an arrogant jerk in Mike McDonald who won't even admit there was a mistake, won't pay it out, won't do what all the other books would do in this situation. They want to have it both ways. Oh, it wasn't a mistake, but yeah, we're updating the terms. It wasn't a mistake, but you can't get paid on the terms of the bet because we don't pay mistakes. So Terrence is right. Like, which one is it? So for... A customer, yes, that bet should stand, but it's also bad form for Terrence to be doing this to a friend. Both things are true. So Terrence then gives his commentary on Twitter. On to the commentary part. I think this is insane, but I'm willing to sanity check this. I asked some people, responses range from the precedent for this dev- definitely favors your side to, yeah, I've had sports books cancel my bets, but they usually don't insult you over this, referring to the are you dumb thing. The email is not a clarification. It's changing the rules of the bet. It's literally listing the money line and deciding later it's a point spread. I can't imagine these, quote, clarification emails are sent very often. It's not clarification. It's we fucked up but won't admit it. Okay, I agree with you there, but how come none of these people you're asking are saying, hey, Terrence, uh, isn't he your friend? (laughs) Why are you doing this? I'm obviously aware that poker shares have the right to cancel my bet, but as I see it, they're just plain wrong here. If you run a business and you fuck up, you should own it and bite it, especially in this business where reputation and service matter. You're the house. If I'm betting at randomoffshoresportsbook.com, I expect shady shit. But Timex leverages his reputation to promote his business, and to me, that reputation is trash now. Wow. He's not a scammer, but it's clear to me he's so desperate to not get it in bad, he can't let a customer have one. Well... On the flip side, Terrence, if you're betting at randomoffshoresportsbook.com, then it is ethical to try to take any edge you can find. Whereas, if it's with a friend, it is not. I'm old school, Terrence says. Everything I learned about this business is from Isai Scheinberg, a guy who would give players the best of it even when, quote, they screwed up, so much less when, quote, we screwed up. Esai would give people back $1,000 sit-and-go buy-ins because they fell asleep and forgot to unredge. Okay, yeah, he would. Esai was a very generous guy, and he was someone who really wanted to have great customer service and be very customer-friendly. And I give Esai props for that. But why don't you look at it this way? If you're old school, people old school knew the value of how they uh, treat friends treat people who are uh, close to them, even semi-close to them. Timex, on the other hand, is unwilling to own his people's mistakes, calling me names and insults my integrity for placing a bet? A 1K bet that means little to me and less to him? As I said, I didn't want to make these posts. I hope he'd be okay with arbitrating. And for sure, I knew if I lost that arbitration, I never would go public. I would have taken my loss because that's what you do when things don't go your way. Reread the end of our exchange. I have to think that Mike is just betting on coming out ahead in the court of public opinion. Maybe he's right, but the stubbornness comes at a cost. I've always been impressed with Mike and how he grew his business. I've even gone as far to say on Dad Poker Podcast that I thought poker shares was great for the game. 
that's my piece. I hope Mike learns one day there's more to business getting in every advantage. That's an ironic statement. There's also more to friendship than getting in every advantage. And maybe more importantly, that me getting in a plus EV 1K bet against your multi-million dollar gambling business is not a, quote, friend trying to fuck you. End. Well, you have some points. Mike did not handle this well. Mike was a jerk. Mike wasn't being logical. Mike should pay the bet. I agree with you there. But you're not seeing your fault here. You're not seeing your fault here. It is a friend trying to fuck him. It is. <laughs> That's what it is. This is why it's not always good to bet with friends, even in a friend's business, because this type of thing can come up. I know that if I find an edge on bet online, I don't have to feel guilty for taking that edge because I know it's just a cold business transaction. We're just both trying to beat each other. You know, there's even been times where there will be uh, someone who has the opposite side of a sports bet that they want to make, and I feel really strongly that my side is the better side. And sometimes I pause before offering to that person, hey, let's just cut out the house juice and bet each other, because I feel weird about it. I kind of feel like I'm taking advantage of them, which I'm really not, because they're betting it either way, and I'm betting it either way, and all we're doing is saving the house juice. But uh, even there, I feel a little bit weird. Like, I'll do it because the bets are being placed either way, and nobody inherently has an advantage. You know, I just have my opinion about the way the game's going to go, and maybe I'll be wrong and they'll beat me. But uh, even there, I feel a little bit weird. Like, uh, you know, like let, let's say I think I've really got the sharp side. Let's say I, I see it the way the sharps see it, the game, and the, uh, the other side sees it the way you know, very public, basic bettors see it, and... I go, okay, I've got the edge here, and you know, I can't stop this person from making a bad bet, but you know, do I want to bet with them directly and, and have that type of edge on them? But you know, again, I'll do it if I know they're placing the bet for sure on a book anyway, because all we're doing is saving ourselves house juice and still betting the same money. But like, I would not talk a friend into it. Like, if, like if, if someone said, hey, I like this side, I wouldn't say, hey, you want to bet on it with me? Like, I wouldn't say that because I would feel like I'm taking advantage of them. If, if they say they're about to bet it, if they're saying, hey, I'm about to put a, a $550 bet on uh, Bovada right now, and I know I like the other side, then I may say, okay, hang on, hang on, let's just uh, cut out the house juice and you just bet with me. Like, I'll do that, but I, I would never even encourage them to bet that for that reason. I, I really am a believer that you don't screw those who you consider friends. You don't angle them, you don't screw them, you don't look to get over on them. In fact, you should do the opposite. You should look not to get over on them. You should look not to take advantage of them. I have had friends offer to do things for me, like give me a room at the World Series when I need one. That's a, that's a big one that's happened from a number of friends, including uh, uh, Mr. Traderuski here, including uh, Brandon Drexel Gerson's done it for me before, including other people. And, uh, you know... I appreciate it tremendously every time. And while I'm willing to accept this, I also think immediately, what can I do to make this easy on them? What what can I do to make this as easy as possible because they're doing me this favor? Because again, they don't owe this to me. They're doing something nice for me. I know it's not quite the same thing as this, but it's kind of the flip side of this where, where a friend is doing something nice and I think, okay, I've got to make it the easiest possible. Whereas, like, if I get a casino comp, I don't think, oh, what can I do to make it easy on the casino? 
Like I don't walk in the casino and go, okay, give me your worst room in the house because I'm, I, I appreciate you're comping me. I, I don't think I deserve as good of a room as those who are paying. So you can give me the worst room in the house. I, I appreciate it that much. Like I, I would never do that. I, I would feel like I, I'm entitled to a room uh, just as good as those who are paying. But when friends are doing a favor for me, not only don't I ever complain about the favor, but uh, I want to make it as easy as possible for them. So I say, what can I do? What can I do to make this easy on you, to make this more convenient for you? And I also repeatedly tell them how much I appreciate it because I do, because I feel nobody owes me anything unless we've agreed to something. Like if we, if, if we agree to a bet or something and you owe me money from the bet, then yeah, you owe me. But as far as favors, nobody owes me any favors and I don't want to take advantage of you. So the only time I will take advantage of something is if it's a cold business transaction where the goal is for both sides to beat each other, both sides to profit from each other, both sides to get a better deal against each other. So, yeah, um, there I'll try it. If I see a uh, really low airline fare, I'm not going to feel bad for the airline. Or if I could see a way to, let's say I can see a way to credit card bonus hoard where I can get a credit card from a bank and uh, get a big bonus and then uh, spend the minimum and then cancel the credit card. I'm not going to feel bad for the bank. It's part of the game. That's worked into the whole thing they're doing there. But I wouldn't do that sort of thing to a person I had a personal relationship with. I don't want to get over on someone who's a friend. So Terrence did not get a good response to this at all. I'm not saying everybody disagreed with him, but a lot of people did. A lot of people disagreed with both. He got a lot of criticism, as did Mike. But here's here's something that uh, Terrence says to clarify about the win thing he said, and it's what I thought. He said, if Steve Wynn is my best friend and he offers a two-to-one blackjack at his properties, I'm playing it till they kick me out. And, and even Phil Galfond raises a question about this saying, I don't love the win analogy. If Steve Wynn's my best friend, I'm immediately texting him to inform him. I'll play if he gives the thumbs up. Every dollar in EV you're making from poker shares probably takes uh, 30 to 70 cents out of Mike's pocket and the rest comes from his close friends and partners. So if, if Phil Galfon brings up a great point, that's what I've been saying, that uh, what you're actually taking an angle here against someone you consider a friend. Now, Charter, Christian Harder, takes more of Terrence's side, saying, while overall I'm on Team Timex here, I have cringe at people saying Terrence is taking a shot at Timex. Well, he is. I don't think that's fair. If you think he's taking a shot, he's taking one at the sports book that Timex has a piece of. You can argue the semantics, but I think there's a difference. Not really. <laughs> Not if Timex owns most of it. Anyway, going on in the tweets here, Kale Jordan says, so the line is big, is nine big blinds per hundred, and you thought you were getting even money, less commission to have an even bet with no handicap? Come on. Poker shares obviously made a mistake wording market. This is standard practice from book, bookmakers. Jason Strasser, known as Strassa, a known tournament player from the 2000s, said, I like both of you guys. To me, I think the bet is on Bill Perkins versus uh, Landon T's heads-up challenge, where the terms of the challenge have nine big blinds per 100 in there. So while ambiguous, I think I would side with poker shares, but it's really wrong to come at you mean like that. Mike McDonald says back, it's win-win. People who shoplift drive up prices for honest customers as businesses factor that into margins. For the 99% who use our platform honestly, they keep using it. The 1% who angle shoot can leave when they realize even their Twitter following doesn't trust them. 
well, that's not really fair. Like, uh, what is he saying? Oh, we'd have uh, better lines for everybody if it just wasn't for ankle shooters like Terrence? Come on. That's ridiculous. Uh, Fedor Holtz says, the challenge includes the terms for me, but should be clarified for people less familiar with the matter. I'd start side with poker shares here. Mike's communication seems offensive. I assume the incident emotionalized him. And number three, as a friend, I text him that I think one of his lines is off. So, you know, notice all these people are saying that. Notice all these people are saying, if he's your friend, tell him it's messed up. Don't bet it. <laughs> Interestingly, Ryan Reese, World Series of Poker champion, the main event in 2013, posted a poll with over a thousand responses, thousand votes. Pick a side. Chan or Timex, and Timex won 53 to 46%. So you see this is uh, not something super clear cut. Venny Vidi, remember him? Remember the guy who played Galfond in that first challenge and chunked off a big lead to lose at the end? Venny Vidi said, not sure why I feel like responding, but I think you are making a pretty big fool of yourself. I don't know Mike McDonald personally and would respond exactly the same if I was in his position. It's fine to exploit edges, even if it's your friend that owns the site, but this is obviously a mistake, and I think it's mind-boggling that you're making this kind of a fuss about it. So he's actually doing it from a different angle. He's saying not so much that it's the friend, it's just that you are exploiting something, you were caught exploiting something, you were going to have no consequence other than just having to reverse the bet if you don't want it on the intended terms, and you're making a huge deal. Now, I actually don't agree with Venny Vitti here. I think that if no friendship was involved, it's very clear cut that poker shares just have to pay it. And that Terrence, quote, exploiting it is fine. But that the fact that they're friends is why Terrence shouldn't have done it. Anthony Scarborough writes The customer service email does clarify the terms and gives you 24 hours to make your decision. It seems completely standard. Just because you interpret the line differently than what the book posted, you shouldn't be rewarded with a bad line and bet accepted. I don't agree with that. That's not true. That's not the way online books work. If they offer something that's to your advantage and it's not egregious, then they typically honor it. A person named Serge Bogosian wrote, This makes you look really bad, Terrence, especially making these private conversations public. Mike McDonald is one of the most respected people in the business. You've lost a lot of credibility here. You're absolutely wrong here. I wouldn't say he's absolutely wrong, but I mean... It is true that this doesn't make Terrence look, very, Terrence look very good. I mean, he's even outright saying, hey, if Steve Wynn was my best friend, I would totally hit his blackjack game really hard if I saw it was a very positive expectation. What? That's not a very good friend. And what's funny is my impression before all this was that, like, I'm not friends with Terrence and will never be friends, but my impression of him prior to this was that he seems like the type who would be a good friend. He seemed like the type who you would like being friends with from the point of someone who's loyal and good and, and not ever going to screw you. And now it kind of seems like he sees it as uh, if he can angle shoot your company to make money, he will, as long as it's not you directly. If it's a company you own and where the profits are coming out of your pocket that he's taking, that, that he'll do it, which is crazy, like, like with no remorse. Weird. It's weird how some people's standards are. Anyway, I'm not going to read the rest of these. You can take a look at these various responses. But uh, there are a number of people who were critical of both parties. And the most common theme we saw was that 
Mike was either wrong or rude or both, and that Terrence was angling and it was inappropriate to do to a friend. You, you, you see this throughout. And we see various forms of it. There's some bad takes in there, but that's generally what I was seeing from the various sides of this argument. There is some continued fallout from this. Keep in mind that Mike McDonald, uh, he, he wasn't going to take this lying down. So this is what uh, Mike McDonald wrote back. In response to uh, Daniel Coleman, who wrote, uh, seems pretty obvious the bet is on the challenge winner, so the handicap is included. Either way, you consider Mike a friend of 20 years. Why not message him first to clarify instead of repeatedly clicking Max to try to snipe some EV of what you hope to be a loophole? That's what Daniel Coleman said, who I rarely agree with, but I agree with him this time. And uh, McDonald said, these are my thoughts as well. If Terrence needed a few grand, he could have just asked. Wow. That's a pretty nasty comment. If Terrence needed a few grand, he could have just asked, implying that, look, Terrence, if you're so poor, you've got to try to cheat me. Just just say, hey, hey, Mike, I'm kind of broke. Can you help me out here? Which I doubt is the case, but Mike is making that reference that, uh, hey, if you need the money that badly, just ask me. Don't try to steal it from my site. And then uh, McDonald wrote in response to Melissa Burr saying, I think you're in the right here, Mike, but it's statements like these that are fueling the fire. When someone's insulting the, the insulting people, the court of public opinion often loses focus that the villain's actually right. And Mike wrote, this seems to be the most common and rational take if focused on a successful business. I don't care about buying undeserved PR or being well-liked or catering to people whose opinions on morality are so fickle they'll side against the person who isn't friendly. At the end of the day, I just want to handle things in a fair and impartial way and encourage people to deal with other individuals and businesses rather than me if they seek anything beyond that. Well, but that's not what you're doing. You are definitely emotional here. If you're really just trying to get this done in a fair and impartial way and don't care about what people think of you, you don't start off with, are you dumb? And you don't complain about how a friend is doing this to you. Now, I agree with you, Mike. You should complain that a friend is doing this to you, but you can't say this is just a a situation where you're just dealing with this like the way you would deal with anybody and that you're just running your business and if people don't like the way you run your business, they can go elsewhere. That, that's not what's going on here. You got involved directly, even though you're not really involved with the day-to-day operations anymore. You directly messaged Terrence without him even asking you to because you were insulted personally by him trying to do this to you. So that's not even true what you're saying here. It's very much changing what happened. Well, Remember I mentioned earlier that Terrence can't really handle, like, negativity on social media against him? He's just not that guy. He doesn't enjoy this. He's not used to it. He's used to kind of being the guy on the sidelines who makes uh, respectful yet well-reasoned comments while not being too offensive. If you listen to Dat Poker Podcast, which I do sometimes, uh, you'll notice that... Uh, that's the way Terrence typically acts. He'll ask some uh, good questions. He'll bring up some good points. Uh, even when he's critical, he does so in a very polite and reserved fashion. He's not an in-your-face, come-at-you guy. And he's not used to people going after him and saying that uh, he's an angle shooter. And uh, Mike McDonald himself was calling him a liar and a scammer, as we'll get to in a second. And... A lot of people who were on Mike's side were bashing him, some politely, some not so politely. And Terrence, I knew, was not going to handle that well. I knew this was not what he was expecting. 
I believe that he thought at worst people were going to side with McDonald in kind of a respectful but uh, uh, very low-key way. He wasn't expecting people saying that he's an angler, that he's a scammer, that he's a bad friend. Like I, I don't think Terrence expected any of that. So even though there were some people on his side, it was about 50-50 to be honest, I knew Terrence was not going to like what happened. I saw it coming. I wish I could have predicted this because I knew he just didn't have the personality type to weather this storm, whereas McDonald does. McDonald does say controversial things. McDonald does get into controversy. As I said, he got into one recently over that uh, basketball free throw bet that he had where there was a back and forth with him with him and Nick Shulman and some others. So he is used to fighting on Twitter. Terrence Chan is not. So Terrence Chan took his ball and went home. Terrence Chan tweeted this the next day, February 9th. I'm going to step away from this conversation for a little while. I spent the morning doing a lousy parenting job and... Let me start this again. I'm going to step away from this conversation for a little while. I spent the morning doing a lousy job parenting and paying more attention to people on the internet and saying mean things about me than being attentive to my kid. And that's absolutely unacceptable. Okay. Before I even go on here, look, I'm a parent too. It would be nice if as a parent you can spend every moment with your child. If every bit of their lives is something that you're watching every second and reacting to. Actually, it wouldn't be nice because it uh, it kind of gets smothering for the kid. But putting that aside, uh, parents have lives too. Sometimes parents can spend a lot of time with the kids and pay a lot of attention. Sometimes they spend less time. And it's helpful if you have two parents. So then when one parent is busy, the other can uh, give the kid attention. And as the kid gets older and older, they start to uh, entertain themselves more and more. For example, uh, teenagers you don't need to spend all that much time with because they don't really want to spend very much time with their parents. They typically want to uh, do their own thing. But now I know Terrence's child is pretty young and I'm not saying that he shouldn't be spending time with his kid, but this is a one-day thing. It's not like he spent a month arguing this. He's saying, well, today I'm not spending much time with my kid. Okay, Terrence, this is the first time in 14 years you've had something like this happen. So I, I think you could take today or what was then today, February 9th, to uh, continue arguing on the internet if you feel you need to. It's probably not the best use of your time, but you're not the worst parent in the world for uh, not spending as much time with your kid in the midst of the biggest social media controversy you've ever been in in your 20 years in poker. Like, that's totally fine. And and I don't think he really believes that. I don't think he really thinks that, oh, I'm a horrible parent. Uh, I, I better change my ways right now. This is an excuse, and you'll you'll hear what the excuse is for. Further screenshots of my Sunday conversation, that is with Mike McDonald, won't be forthcoming because there's too much cross-chatter that reveals identities, and editing it out obviously defeats the purpose. Since I think something good should come out of this, here's this screenshot. It's not 20K, but at least it's real. And so he posts a screenshot of him donating to the Hong Kong Humanitarian Fund, Vancouver, whatever that is, $1,000. So he just donated $1,000 to this uh, charity, the Hong Kong Humanitarian Fund, Vancouver. And it claims that this this is what good is coming out of the whole thing. 
I'll admit I've made mistakes and said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm still absolutely grossed out. People are saying I angled. But defending myself is costing me more emotional energy than I have, so I'm letting this one go and imposing a temporary Twitter self-ban. Wow. And he's kept to it. It's been over three days, and he has not been back on Twitter. So he quit Twitter temporarily. We don't know how long. Because he feels this is costing more emotional energy than he has. It's turning him into a bad parent. And he's giving $1,000 to some unrelated charity for some reason to make something good come of this, which is really bizarre. It's really weird when people do things like this. Like, I understand it's stressful when people talk shit about you, especially like a lot of people talk shit about you on the internet. I've had that happen to me too. It doesn't feel good. I don't enjoy it. I sometimes dread opening up the site or the app where it's occurring, if that's happening. Nobody likes to uh, read things that are just trashing them, and especially when you have a mass number of people trashing you. It can feel very lousy. So I can understand the way Terrence feels, especially because he's not used to it. So I don't blame him there, and I don't blame him for wanting to take a break from it. I don't believe this, oh, I I have to spend time with my kid crap. Like if, if he really is spending tons of time with his kid every single day, and then this is the one day he's not, uh, his kid will survive. Especially, if I believe he's still with the mom. So that's BS. That's that's one of these, oh, I need to go spend time with family, which is usually code for something else. Seriously, whenever people say they're, they're quitting something to spend time with family, no matter what it is, it's usually not to spend time with family. It usually really is something bad has happened. They want to get away from whatever bad is bothering them or stressful for them. And family is a good excuse, because who can question that? Oh, you want to be with your family? You want to be with your kid? Okay, well, who can question that? But that's rarely the case, like across pretty much everything. Whenever anyone says, I'm going to leave this and spend time with family, it's never because they need to spend time with family. Just about never. And it's not here either. The charity thing, I've seen that too. I've seen it where people, like, they're under fire about something and they think, well, if I donate to this random charity, everyone will think I'm a good person. No, not necessarily. (laughs) First of all, it's a charity of your choice. It's not like you're saying, okay, um, since this is over $1,000, how about I donate $1,000 to charity to show you that this isn't really about money for me? Okay, but if it's a charity that you love, it's a charity that you donate to anyway, that doesn't mean anything. How, how do we know that Terrence doesn't donate already a lot of money, and this is just a $1,000 he's sending them a little earlier than he would have otherwise? Like, it's nice he's donating. It's nice that he's a, a charitable guy, but uh, that doesn't mean anything here. Now, if he were to say, how about you guys all suggest charities and then we'll vote on one, and then I'll donate to it, that would be him donating to a charity that otherwise was not going to give his money. But he picked a very specific charity, the Hong Kong Humanitarian Fund Vancouver, which clearly has some kind of meaning to him. And he's probably donated other money before. So that doesn't mean anything. Like, okay, Terrence, you want to donate to them? That's great. That's generous. That's nice. But it has nothing to do with this. And it doesn't say anything about uh, your morality in the situation, nor is it connected to the situation in any way. Nothing good came out of this where you donated to them because of this. Because we don't even know that. And it's just a weird thing to put. Like, it's it's non sequitur. <laughs> if separate from this, you want to put on your Twitter, hey, everybody, uh, here's a good charity, Hong Kong Humanitarian Fund Vancouver. 
uh, here's why I think it's a great charity, here's why I donate money there, and here's a screenshot showing that I did donate to them. I just donated $1,000. I encourage you guys to, if you agree with me, it's a good charity. Like that, That's fine to put out there, but it, this is a weird spot to put it. And it, it really is one of these things like, I don't like people being mean to me on Twitter. I can't stand it. This is totally like not part of my personality to be able to handle. So I am going to leave Twitter while this is going on, hope the whole thing dies down, and, uh, oh, here's a distraction for you. I'm donating to charity. <laughs> Now, I know Terrence probably wasn't thinking straight. I have to imagine that February 8th and 9th, 2021, were two of the more challenging days of Terrence's life. I kid you not. You may think, oh, well, come on. People were being mean to him on Twitter, and that's a bad thing in his life. Yes, actually it is. Uh, I can see this really did upset him. He's been in the poker community for close to two decades. He's had a great reputation. Uh, a lot of people have admiration for him. He was known to be honest and good and a fair and rational thinker. And for that, for all that to be corrupted a little bit, and now some people will believe him to be an angle shooter, and not just that, an angle shooter against friends going forward, has got to be very upsetting to him. So it's not just the words on Twitter for the moment. It's that this has kind of changed the way some people think of him. And that really upsets him, especially since, again, he's not someone who's used to taking a lot of criticism. So this is really bothering him. So he wasn't thinking straight, and that's probably why he donated to that charity as kind of like a knee-jerk rash movement, like, oh, well, what can I do? What can I do? Oh, oh, here, I'll just give this to charity. This will make me look better. Yeah, I'll give it to charity. Okay, okay. And I'm going to tell everybody I'm taking a break. Okay, okay. Like It was something like that. So, like, this isn't the worst thing in the world. It's not like, I don't believe he's a scammer. In fact, let's, let's get to what Mike McDonald said after this, because Mike McDonald was a jerk after this. So this is what Mike McDonald said back about uh, four hours later. If I'm ever caught as a liar slash scammer, I plan to take a nice break from the public eye to focus on my parenting and philanthropy. Eh. See, that's pretty nasty. First of all, Terrence isn't a scammer. A liar, I don't know. He's not a liar because I believe Terrence is a very honest guy for the most part. Like, prior to this, I've never seen any example of him being dishonest. In this situation, I think he's not totally telling the full truth. If he is, then it's one of these things where it looks really bad to where it looks like he's lying even if he's not. And that can happen. Like, back in the days on Poker Stars, when if you disconnected, it just put you all in. All in meaning you don't have to put any more money in and it just runs out the hand. I once had a situation where me and this one guy were talking trash back and forth at the 100-200 limit hold'em game and I had pocket kings and I capped it against him pre-flop and the board came out with an ace and guess what happened right then my internet died and it ran out the board where I didn't have to put any more money he flopped the ace and he got no money post-flop well you can imagine how he reacted to that so when I reconnected which was like a minute later which looked even worse he wrote, you know what? I thought you were an asshole for a long time, but I never thought you were a cheater. Wow, this really says a lot about you. 
And I was like, no, 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 I swear this was an accident. Yeah, sure. So we're, we're talking all this shit, and you get kings and an ace flop, and right that moment you disconnect? And I'm like, yes, I, I didn't disconnect. It actually disconnected me. I, as soon as it happened, my first thought was, this is going to look terrible, but I swear this happened on its own. I had no control over this. It was just terrible timing. He never believed me. He was so sure I did this to get him back for being mean to me in the chat when the ace flopped. So I finally just said, I, I understand how this looks. I don't expect you to believe me, but I'm telling you, I swear I didn't do this on purpose. So sometimes it can just look really bad and you're innocent. So I guess there's a small chance that like that, all the people Terrence talked to had no idea about the nine big blinds per hundred. Terrence had no idea and just somehow he thought it was just a positive expectation bet and he wasn't trying to angle. And uh, now it just looks like he was. But Terrence should at least understand how it looks that way. And why he shouldn't have brought it out for that reason. And once he did brought it out, bring it out, he should have said, okay, I understand, guys, why it looks this way. And that's that's what he should be saying. He should say, if the truth is that he wasn't angling, he should say, I know why it looks like I was angling, but I wasn't. But unfortunately, since he, he defended taking positive EV shots at your friends and even clarified about the Steve Wynn thing in a later tweet, like, that really makes it look intentional. Because... He's not only suspected of angling here, he's actually saying, if I have a chance to take a positive expectation shot at a business my friend owns, I'm going to do it. So he said that very clearly. But he's not a scammer. He isn't. He's not a scammer. This is not scamming. This is something I think was a little bit unethical, but it's not scamming. And he has almost two decades in the industry without a single complaint about his uh, his dealings with people. That his morality in poker has been impeccable as far as we know prior to this. So even if he screwed this one up, even if he did something unethical here, it's unfair to call him a scammer. It's not like he uh, borrowed money from Mike McDonald when he was broke and pretended not to be broke. And then... Uh, isn't paying him back now. Then Mike could say he's a scammer. But he did it's nothing like this. As you saw, the, the poll was like 53% to 47% of who's right. So this is not an easy one with an obvious conclusion. But to me, the conclusion is that Mike acted like an immature, arrogant jerk, including with this last comment calling him a liar and scammer. And keep in mind, Terrence is just saying, hey, look, I, I did some wrong things here, and I'm going to step away. So Terrence is even admitting somewhat some fault here. He's not saying specifically what he did wrong, but he's not saying, hey, I was totally in the right, but since you guys don't agree, I'm quitting. He's actually saying, yeah, hey, I made some mistakes here. I, I made some wrong moves here. And then Mike has to kick, kick him in the ass hard on the way out the door. So th- this did not go over well. A lot of people bashed McDonald over this. People did not like that last tweet. And at the end of this, neither came out looking good. At the end, Mike ended up looking immature, selfish, uh, delusional, unable to see his own fault in any situation, completely lacking introspection. And then uh, Terrence looked like someone who will gladly angle shoot his friends and then complain about it when the friend uh, doesn't want to let him do it. Neither of them look good here. This decreased 
the reputation of both men involved here, who both had very good reputations coming into this. That's what's funny. This wasn't like great guy versus known scammer. This was like two people respected in poker for a long time, and both came out looking bad. I don't think this this is going to irreparably dis, irreparably destroy either of their reputations. I just think that uh, both of them look wrong here, and it's going to make some people scratch their head when they think about what their beliefs are about each of these guys. There's going to be a little bit of doubt about each person now. You know, there's people in poker you think about and go, you know what, I can't say anything bad about him. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, always been cool. Always been good. Always been honest. Always been fair. Always been nice. Neither of these guys will have that stellar reputation anymore, but they will continue to have a good reputation after this. It's not like this has ruined either of them. It has not. But it's kind of a blemish on each of them. They both managed to uh, damage each other because both were wrong. It's one of these rare cases where both were wrong. Usually when these type of disputes happen in poker, there's a clear person in the right and a clear person in the wrong. That's not the case here. Here I can point to both people and how they screwed up. And I got involved a little bit on Twitter with this, and you'll see in my tweets that I pretty much say that. I, I criticize both. All right, so enough about that. I've spent a long time on this one, but pretty interesting story, especially because it involved two people with a good rep. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Let's move on to talk about someone else with a good rep, Patches. Remember Patches, the Bellagio dealer who got fired after a uh, fight with a player who was at his table he was dealing to. And uh, Patches was a very popular long-time dealer who really had a good reputation among people who... uh, uh, among high-stakes pros in Las Vegas. And people were very upset to see the story. So here's what happened. Uh, I'll I'll remind you again without going into the whole story of what happened with Patches. By the way, it looks like the video of this got restricted. But anyway, there was a fight at the Aria, not the Bellagio, it was at the Aria. And it was on December 10th. Patches uh, attacked a guy much smaller than him, younger and smaller, who had apparently been very obnoxious at the table. And some false rumors went around about it, that this guy had thrown beer on him and uh, other things like that. But it, it turned out it wasn't quite that. It turned out that uh, this player was very obnoxious to Patches over and over and over uh, while he was dealing to him. And Patches just kind of sat there quietly and took it. And that as Patches was walking away, when he got moved to deal at the next table, it's known as being pushed, not physically pushed, but you know being pushed by the casino to the next table, that as he was uh, walking away, the player said something to him like, like, yeah, you better walk away. So that, that, like, I think that, player made another snide comment to him as he got up and then Patches just walked off and the player postured like Patches is scared of him like yeah you better walk away 
And Patrick's like, oh, no. <laughs> so he flipped. He flipped out, and he started hitting the guy. And there was a video of him, like, chasing the guy around. Because what, the guy was talking all this shit, thinking that Patches wouldn't attack him, because Patches is the dealer there, and he's not allowed to do that. But uh, once Patches lost his cool and went after him, uh, then the player started running away from him. And it was kind of funny in the video, watching Patches chasing him around the poker room, and then people finally getting between them. And you can see at the beginning of the video, Patches is hitting him. So Patches, whose real name is Leandre Wharton, and is a black man. This was not really a black-on-white racial issue because the guy he attacked was not white. I don't know what nationality he was or what race he was. Uh, It kind of looked maybe he was, uh, uh, I don't know, Hispanic or or maybe... uh, Middle Eastern or maybe uh, Polynesian, I couldn't tell. It was the, definitely the guy was not white who was being attacked. He could have even been like mixed race, could have been partially black himself. But it was not like a black on white thing. So race really didn't play into this. Patches is also gay, but that was not known when this happened, so that really has nothing to do with any of this. Anyway, Patches, again, whose name is Leandre Wharton, he posted a statement on Facebook which was kind of hard to understand because he's not a very good writer, to say the least. But I cleaned up the statement, and this is basically what it says, the the cleaned-up version with with better grammar. Uh, To all my friends and family, I found out yesterday that I've been officially let go from Aria. Time to start a new chapter in life. I appreciate all the love and caring I received from everyone. I was shocked and overwhelmed by the responses. I'm really saddened and mad at myself for my moment of weakness. I want to take this opportunity to apologize to the guy I tussled with and to the MGM. MGM is the, the owner of Aria, and especially my Aria family. A lot of people don't know this, but MGM staff has a bad reputation, and trust me, some of it's well-deserved. I've been in some of the sister properties, LOL. However, I can honestly say Aria poker staff are some of the best people I've ever had a chance of meeting and working with. I love you all and will miss you all. Once again, thank you all once again for the tremendous outpouring of love, kindness, and selfless acts. You have no idea what this truly meant to me. So at the time, I reported on this in December. At the time, I said, I believe this statement. I actually believe that uh, he regretted this, that he felt bad that he lost his cool, that he wished he hadn't done it. He said he's saddened and mad at himself for his moment of weakness. I believe that. I do believe the guy at the table was a jerk. I've seen people like that before abusing the dealers. I've seen it many times. And while the dealer should never physically attack the player, especially if the player has not physically attacked him, which appears the player was not attacking him, so this was not self-defense, uh, the player was an asshole. The player is not a sympathetic character. The player was being a dick and was torturing the dealer and should not do that. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for a player who acts that way who then gets a beat down. I'm not saying dealers should beat them down. I'm saying that uh, I'm not saying, oh, this poor guy, he doesn't deserve this. So overall, I thought, okay, you can't do this. He has to get fired. He did get fired. And he announced that on a, w- a week later. They, they didn't fire him right away. They're kind of reviewing it. But he expected to get fired. He did get fired. And uh, the question became what was going to happen with his license to deal in Nevada, that there was a chance that that was going to be revoked. Uh, would other properties, even ones that aren't MGM properties, hire him? Like, do you think he could get a job dealing with a with the Caesars Corporation after this happened? Like, it it's kind of seemed like he was not going to be hired in Las Vegas 
after something like this. Why? Because if then he goes off and attacks someone again, uh, the company could be sued for hiring someone who was just fired for attacking someone else at uh, another spot in the city. So I had a feeling he wasn't getting another job in Vegas. And it turned out I was right. He did not get another job in Vegas, and I have an update for you. So Patches got a job not in Las Vegas, not in Nevada, but he got a job in Texas. Patches got a job in San Antonio, Texas. And good for him. He got a job in a new poker room there. It's called the San Antonio Poker Palace. And they charge a time charge there to be there per hour. They cannot take a rake by Texas law. It's $12 per half hour to be there. It's the competition with a club there called Rounders. This one's called the San Antonio Poker Palace. And uh, he works there. It's it's abbreviated as SAP, S-A-P-P. He actually has a name tag there that says Patches. So he's not actually running away from who he was. Like he's not trying to go to a different state and like pretend, pretend to be a different person. He's, he's very uh, obviously the same guy. If you go to SAPP, San Antonio Poker Palace, and play, he will probably deal to you, and you'll see his patch, his patch's name tag right there. So he's not running away and hiding from what he did or the recent history he's had. They just opened, as I said. So good for him. He has a job. He's dealing again. Presumably he left Vegas so he wouldn't have to worry about the ramifications of his license to deal there and also the stigma of hiring him. Now you may say, well, what if the same thing happens over in Texas? Couldn't there be a lawsuit? Yeah, there could, but because it's so far away, it's a totally different community, uh, I think they're less afraid of hiring him over there than in Las Vegas. You've just gone a good distance away. Totally different people. Different set of players. He has a good history other than this, from what I hear. He's never attacked anybody else in his like decades of dealing. I mean, he goes way back. He's not a young guy. I think he's like in his 50s. There's no indication that he's a danger to the community. There's no fear that hiring him is going to result in him beating down another player. I think this is like a one-off thing. I think after decades of getting abuse from players, just that particular player made him snap. And then he said, fuck, I shouldn't have done this. I made a mistake. I just ruined my career dealing in Vegas. Now I've got to start over. So he is. He started over in Texas. I don't think he will make the same mistake again. I don't think so. And I know people who know him and they like him. I know people I respect who know him and they say he's a good guy. They say he's a nice guy. They say he has a big heart. They say that apology was sincere and not just bullshit to sound good. And I believe them. So sometimes people can be push, 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 and then they can snap. It's kind of like, uh, take like a friendly dog. I, I don't want to compare him to a dog, but I'm just bringing up something to think about. Let's say a very friendly dog would never bite anybody, and you keep torturing the dog and taunting the dog and harassing the dog. Finally, the dog just bites you. Actually, you harass the poor dog enough, and finally, just like, out of reflex, finally just bites you. And that's kind of what happened here. So again, this shouldn't happen 
Dealers should not do this. Dealers who do this should get fired. So I agree with this firing. I agree he should have gotten fired. This should never be seen as okay. This should never be seen as something that is tolerated. But should he have a chance to work somewhere else? Yeah. Now, if he had a repeated problem of hitting players, even players who are jerks, then I would say, no, he should not be dealing. No, he should never have a dealing job again, if that were the case. One time when he snaps after several decades against a particularly obnoxious and nasty guy who's just hassling him, hassling him, and insulting him over and over, and then trying to taunt him as he walks away that he's scared. Uh, like, yeah, I'm happy with him getting another chance. He's human. It'd be nice if he was just a robot and could just totally tune all this out, but it was kind of like just decades of abuse that had been heaped upon him that resulted in him finally snapping. But much like a volcano that once it erupts, often will not erupt again for another 100,000 years, I think that's kind of the case with Patches. I think he had his eruption, and we're not going to see another one. So good for San Antonio Poker Palace for taking a little bit of a chance on him. As I said, there there could be a small liability issue if this were to happen again. This is not the same of some other dealer who would attack somebody who San Antonio Poker Palace could say, hey, we had no indication this could happen. Well, now they do have an indication it could happen. Really, it could happen with anybody, but they have seen this before. There is some history now, some recent history, and they are taking a bit of a chance, but I think they know. I think they know he's not going to do it. I'd be very surprised if he does it, even if he deals with abusive players. It's not like the floodgates have opened and he's learned, okay, well, I can do that, cool. Like, he did it, he regretted it, he had a consequence, he had to move to another state. I think he's not going to do this again. I think he's taking his lumps. I think uh, Patches is uh, reformed. So that is the update. I don't think we'll be hearing much more. I don't think we'll be doing another segment in the future that he just uh, beat up some player in San Antonio. I think this is it. I think we won't hear about it again. I think he will continue with a successful uh, dealing career in Texas. Taking a look at the chat room, let's see if there's anything of interest. No, they're just kind of discussing the coronavirus with each other. I mean, that's fine. Happy they're all chatting with each other. See, Bobby Orr won the free roll. Congratulations to him. He's a regular listener. Communicates with me a lot uh, privately as well. But interesting stories to talk about and other things like that. Let's take a call here. Caller, you're on the air. This is the famous Desert Runner. Yes, this is Desert Runner. And uh, some people even think you're me. I hope this will help convince people that uh, you're not me. I don't know why they think that. That was kind of a silly thing, but I was calling for two things. I'm waiting for your flashlight review since I made flashlights famous on Poker Fraud Alert. Yes. And then, and then um, I wish you'd bring back the crank calls. I've been waiting for a good crank call in a while. I haven't had one. I was hoping you'd get some calls out. You know, it is tr- it is true. I haven't done a prank call in a while. I, I, should, I should bring some back here. Um, I, I I probably will. I've got to think of some good ones to do. I kind of ran out of ideas is what happened. But uh, if you guys have some good ideas for okay. some prank calls, then uh, let me know, and uh, I will make some. You can tell me which character you'd like to see, and uh, or you can just come up with an idea, and I'll pick a character myself to do it with. But, yeah, I kind of miss those. Those are kind of funny, and some people enjoyed them. Some people don't like them, but a, a lot of people do enjoy them, and it kind of breaks up the uh, monotony of the serious topics of the show. As far as the flashlights, I, I haven't used it enough yet. I just haven't gotten around to going and like really testing it outdoors. But I, I will. I'm going to go out soon on a dark night into uh, nature here, which is pretty close to where I live. 
Uh, in fact, it's pretty much right across the street and go into the, the hills and the mountains and uh, see ha- see what uh, lights up there. Okay, I have another question for you, too. I know you kind of shied away from it. Um, last year, I started buying silver online, just kind of like at, just as pure interest, and it's gone up uh, for me, I guess. Uh, what's your take on buying uh, precious metals, particularly silver? Do you do you care yourself, or do, what do you just don't you're not into it, or what do you think about it? Yeah, I'm not really into it. I haven't really followed it very much. I've seen it talked about. I see it talked about on the forum. Uh, silver, actually, some history with silver in my family. There was uh, a big run-up in the value of silver around 1980. Now, 1980, I was much too young to be uh, buying silver, but I was old enough to be aware of what was happening with silver and the value shooting up. Uh, My grandfather actually owned a lot of silver, and uh, he owned it prior to it shooting up. And uh, he considered selling the silver at a very large profit. Uh, think of somebody like who would have owned uh, GameStop stock before the recent shoot-up or Dogecoin before the recent shoot-up. And then you think about, do I, do I hold it and just wait to see it rocket to the moon or do, do I take the profit now because I've made uh, many times my investment? And, and, and it was actually worth a good deal of money with how much silver he held. Well, he decided to hold on and regretted it because silver crashed back down. And 1980 was kind of the peak, I believe, of it. And then... Uh, and I, I think, it, if I remember correctly, it was because uh, I think two guys were trying to buy up all the silver he could, they could, and really kind of take over the entire silver market, and that drove up the price. And then once that passed, it went crashing back down. I haven't really followed it, though, in recent times, and uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something I think to it. Like, I just did it because like, you and I both like to collect stuff. You like phones, and I like flashlights and guns whatever and i just figured I, I i like these designs on these ounces and uh i figured hey if you're gonna collect something it might hold some value and it's actually gone up but um i don't want to get like really embrace it as a hardcore investment but it's kind of like you can't lose you know yeah well if, if you enjoy it you just want to get some precious metal and you're choosing silver to do it with and uh just want to get some and then hope it goes up too that's that's fine I mean, i'm not uh i'm not criticizing at all i, just, I don't know much about whether silver is a good investment at this point or not, I, I really couldn't give you that answer at all. Okay. Maybe uh, down the line we can revisit it. I was really, I've been waiting for you to kind of chime in on it. I wanted to get your opinion. But other than that, and uh, all my friends out there in Poker Fraud Alert land, it's uh, good, good to chime in. That's yeah, well, I, I will say that uh, your presence in the forum really, uh, it, it did cause some waves and it did, there were some, kind of changes in the forum as far as uh, who posts more, who posts less these days. A lot of it kind of, that was kind of the catalyst with you showing up and uh, making yeah. a lot of posts and there was uh, a lot of controversy. But anyway, he's a, he's a real person here, Desert Runner. And I, I've, as I've said on the forum, I've, I've met him many times in person. He's a, a real life friend and uh, Desert Runner is a good guy and he's a, a loyal friend. And uh, unlike, some other people we may have discussed tonight. Uh, I don't believe that Desert Runner would, would try to angle me to uh, nope. make, make a big profit. So anyway, nope. th- I would. I'd, I'd take a loss. I'd ne- I, I, uh, I mean, in the wholeheartedness, you know, I'd never, uh, I'd never fraud you at all, man. Not, not even close. Yes, I appreciate you know that. 
I'm probably the only person. The thing about this, I'm the only person in the history of the the show. Remember, um, I got a hotel room once down in Southern California, and you got the uh, room for me. I'm the only guy that's probably ever given you his credit card to you over the phone and, and trusted you enough to give you my credit I, you card. You know, I don't know about that. I think there have been others, and I'm talking about like outside of my family. Uh, I, there have been oh. others who I think have given me their card before. In fact, I know there have been that have uh, given oh. me their card before to do something. They, they know I'm not going to rip them off. But, yes, it, it is true that Desert Runner was coming to Southern California one time uh, for a job interview, and I had mentioned that I could probably get him a uh, pretty good deal on a hotel, and it was just easier if he just gave me the card to enter myself as him, and he did. And so, anyway, and like, and like I, on the forum, Desert Runner is a zero. Per- I'm really like I'm really like a nobody. I like being a zero. So these guys put too much stock in me, and they're just wasting their time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I tried to tell them that you, not to worry so much that you weren't here to, to make waves in the forum, you weren't here to cause trouble, and that, uh, yes, you were, you were going back and forth with them because you know, some of the veterans of the forum weren't liking you, and they were they were bashing you, and they were bashing them back, and then a lot of fights started. So I was like, like I I understood their point of view about some of this stuff, that, uh, that they felt you were posting too much, or that uh, they felt you weren't showing the respect to longtime members there, and I was like, I, I like, okay, I understand that, but I'm, I'm really trying to insist to you guys he's not here to ruin the forum. If I ask him to change certain things about his behavior on the forum, he will because he's my friend. He's not looking to disrupt things. He's not a troll. Like, I was trying to make them understand. Like, this is a guy I know in real life who I know is good, and even if you don't like him or don't like his politics or don't like his posts, uh, he's not here to ruin things, and, and, and it, it, whatever I ask yeah. of him, he'll do. So that's uh, – I was trying to get that across yeah. to people, and some didn't believe so me, busy I guess. Weeks, I haven't been able to been in there. It's just, I've noticed. It's, just, yeah. uh, it's all been normal. I've noticed. That. You haven't posted as much lately. Well, okay. Well, anyone who listens to the show and reads the forum, you can. This, this is the real desert runner, and he's not me. And it's not a. It's not a gimmick. It's not a troll. Just a, it's a real guy that I've known for uh, a little more than ten years. Then you met. A, you met my long term girlfriend too. That was a pretty. That was a. That was a night. That's a story for another day. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Take care. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. So that was Desert Runner. Anyway, let's move on to the next topic. This is an interesting story about the Super Bowl and a fixed prop bet and Bovada's reaction to it, because I guess Bovada was the main victim of this, and they have to figure out what to do. So if you remember when you watched the Super Bowl, if you watched the Super Bowl, there was a streaker. And as you would guess, the streaker was quickly dealt with and security ran over and tackled him and then they took him off the field. And it didn't seem like a big deal. I mean, this has happened at sporting events since before I was born. No one thought much of the streaker. And then controversy about the streaker happened after. In fact, days after. In fact, people were pretty surprised. It turned out, and when I first heard rumors of this, I didn't even believe it, but it turned out it was true. It turns out that the streaker did this to make money on a bet because Bovada was foolish enough to propose a prop bet as to whether or not there would be a streaker at the Super Bowl. So the streaker got the idea that he would simply go do it, bet on himself, bet a lot of money on himself between him and other friends placing bets on his behalf and make a lot of money. Pretty clever, 
Except he wasn't very smart because he stupidly bragged about this. So listen to this interview. He appeared on a radio station that's known as Wild 94.1 in Tampa Bay. And listen to this five-minute interview where he talks about making money from this and this set off a whole wave of uh, controversy regarding what to do about that bet that Bovada offered. Wow, 941. All right, so on the phone, we got the GOAT, the Super Bowl streaker, Yuri Andrade. What's good? What's up? What's up? What's up, Bab? How you doing? Okay, so I seen you in the club with Mike Evans last night. Did he approve of you running out on the field and doing what you did? Oh, yeah. He told me he was a big fan. The general manager came up to me and asked me. He goes, hey, Mike Evans wants to take a picture with you. He loved it. Should I take that attitude with my interviewees here when I have interviews on Poker Fraud Alert? When they say something, should I go, ah! Would you guys like that? I, I can do that if you want. I can I can take on that persona during interviews. Okay, let's go on here. He goes, you're the GOAT. Yes, you are the GOAT, man. So where are you from in Florida? Uh, I was born and raised in Boca Raton. Okay, so I'm hearing you placed a bet and won a lot of money. How much was it? About $370,000. Before we even started the bet part, we wanted to do this for Vitaly Uncensored, which is my friend's website, right? It's uh, You know who Vitaly is? The guy that does pranks, obviously, right? Yes. Okay, so Vitaly's been trying to do this for five years and hasn't had any success doing it. So I came up with an idea this time to do two people, one to run as a distraction so all the security rushes him so I can clear the field. So once once we came up with this idea to do this, I called one of my friends and he goes, I wonder if there's a prop bet for that. So we started searching uh, Bovada and the uh, Bovada prop bet was plus 750 for a fan to run onto the field. So I immediately, this was like Thursday too, so I immediately started calling Every single person I know and ask them to set up an account with Bovada and place it and place this bet for me. All right, that's pretty devious there. So it was a plus seven hundred fifty bet, which means you win seven point five times the money you bet. So every hundred you bet you'll win seven hundred and fifty dollars. So he saw this. He claims he was going to streak anyway as a prank, and in fact he had already arranged that uh, he and a friend were going to do it together where one would get stopped and then the other would be able to do it. There was the, one creates the distraction, the security jumps on the first guy, and then the second guy runs out, and therefore one of them succeeds for sure. He claims that was not related to the bet, but then they realize, hey, maybe we can find a bet about this. They found it on Bovada for plus 750, and then he called up, quote, everyone he knew and asked them to create new accounts on Bovada and place bets on this. Obviously, he didn't understand the way these online books work and that they will be wise to something like this. So I did as many as I can. And with the difference, we made a phone call to, uh, uh, I don't want to say, but a very big celebrity in Vegas. And we asked him to find someone that would take this prop bet for us. So with the difference, I sent somebody to Las Vegas Sunday morning, 9 a.m. They landed at 11 and rushed over there and put the bed in for me with the difference of the money. Damn, made over $300,000. So basically, you made the money back you paid for the Super Bowl ticket and then some, and your bail was only $500 to get out. And I- yeah, and I don't know which bookie he placed this with, but and I don't know if the bookie's paid out yet, but I have to imagine that the bookie is furious 
because uh, unless unless it was with a sports book in in Vegas, because I know they do take prop bets in Vegas, but uh, it doesn't sound like it. Kind of sounds like he's talking about uh, someone he knew in Vegas. He says quote, quite a celebrity that knew a bookie there that would take this bet. This bookie's got to be furious at the celebrity for turning him to this bet that was a fix. So I have a feeling the celebrity is also being asked to give the money back, and it's amazing he's bragging about this like there's going to be no consequence. And I bailed my buddy out too, of course, the decoy. Mm. My buddy Douglas, Douglas Schaefer. Man, all right, so are y'all facing any hard charges or just like misdemeanors? No, nah, it's a misdemeanor trespassing. The cops were laughing the whole time. <laughs> the cops came up to me while I was in handcuffs, and he was like, he said, um, he said, bro, you're all over barstools. You're already famous. <laughs> But the worst, the worst part was when when they put me in the holding cell in, in the stadium. I had the I had the thong like very very deep in me, and <laughs> and I said, "Can I please adjust this?" And he goes, "No, you want to be an a hole. I'm going to be an a hole too." So I sat there with it wedged up in me for about five hours before they transferred me over to that to the jail where I was able to adjust this. Oh, man. Oh, man. That is nuts. Now, what jail were you in? Were you locked up? Okay, I'm, I've, I've heard enough. So you could look this up on YouTube. You can type in uh, Wild 94.1 Super Bowl LV Streaker. But that's what I played it from. And, yeah, he stupidly bragged about this. So this caused Bovada, which probably was suspicious anyway, to look into this. And see that, yeah, there's a fix here. Now, by the way, um, they may have already been in the process of taking action because I was hearing that people were already spreading this rumor around. And, in fact, Bovada was rapidly making the line worse and worse as people were betting it. So people started betting it at plus 750, and it kept going down, 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 down until eventually it was like even money. And then they took it off the board. So they were already suspicious. And uh, supposedly the word was getting out before the Super Bowl. I, I didn't hear about it, but the word was getting out that there's a fix on this one. So Bovada probably realized this as well, but this gave them perfect ammo to not pay because it's one thing to hear that there's a fix here. This guy's admitting it. So originally when this was discovered or this when this came out fully, uh, Bovada was saying, we're just not going to pay. Just no one's going to get paid for this. And that that's what I was hearing. I didn't see an official statement from Bovada, but I was hearing that Bovada was saying, the bet is canceled. We're refunding the money to everybody. So if you lost it, you're getting your money back. If you won it, you're not getting paid. And I thought, hmm, that's not good because some people probably legitimately bet this without even hearing there was a fix. Some people just bet this normally as a prop and now are going to get screwed. As I understand not paying the people who bet on it because either they were in on the fix or heard it was fixed. But how do you know? How do you know what's in someone's head when they bet? So there are a few ways to be able to know this. For example, if somebody who is a low-limit better, let's say a very low-limit recreational better who's typically betting like 30 bucks on every game. So the guy's betting 30, 30, 30, 30, and then puts up 500 on this. Okay, that's very suspicious. If someone is betting way more on this than they bet on anything else, then they've probably at least heard there's a fix involved. It may even be involved. And 
if somebody creates an account just to bet on this. That is highly suspicious, and he even said on that interview that he had people do specifically that. Or if somebody's had an account for a long time, and then they show up and bet for the first time in ages just on this. So someone's had a Bovada account, say, since 2016, uh, hasn't placed a bet since 2018, all of a sudden they fund their account on the day of the Super Bowl, or the day before the Super Bowl, whatever, and, and place a large bet as much as they can on this. Again, it looks like they either heard it was fixed or were in on the fix. So... I understand Bovada not paying out people who clearly were trying to take advantage here, but I also don't agree that they should screw anybody who is betting this legitimately. But how do you tell? So did, should they just eat it? What should they do? It is a tough spot, though. Some people were immediately getting on Bovada saying that they're unethical, they're assholes, this is a scam. And I was saying, well, no, I, I kind of see this is a tough spot. Now, they were stupid to offer a prop on something that outside third parties can control. See, in this day and age, athletes have so much on the line that they are unlikely to do something in order to fix a prop bet on themselves. Even college athletes don't usually do that because usually college athletes in major sports, like, for example, uh, basketball or football, uh, they are trying to make the pros and then eventually get a large contract with the pros. So the last thing they want is the stench of trying to uh, fix something for uh, a relatively small amount of money. Their potential of making a lot of money going forward is so much higher than anything they could make by agreeing to a fix. So that's why you don't see that much anymore as far as uh, things that are fixed at any level. But props, the problem is if it's something that really can be influenced by those on the outside, like a streaker bet – then yes, people will do this. It's a very dumb thing for Bovada to ever offer. Someone bets enough on a streaker happening, they can go streak themselves, or the, their friend can go streak so they can win. It, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. I didn't even know there was such a bet. But yeah, if I saw such a bet, I would have said, oh yeah, this could easily be taken advantage of, and apparently it was. Now, this guy wasn't very sophisticated. If he was sophisticated, he would have uh, thought this out long in advance, established accounts on Bovada that were betting normally and then placed the bet on this so it didn't look funny. And he, if, if it was less of a long-term con, at the very least, he could have tried to track down people with existing active Bovada accounts that could have bet this without a lot of suspicion and, and also have them play some other cover bets in, in the days leading up to this. Whatever. There, there could have been some things that he could have created some doubt, but it looks like he just did it the very simplistic way that was never going to work, that was just telling people to create accounts, bet just on this and cash out, and that was not going to work. I think even if he hadn't done that interview, that would not have worked, but now it's especially not going to work. So Bovada definitely is not paying him, and definitely is not paying anybody that they can directly associate with him, but what are they doing? It turns out they're not just canceling the whole bet. According to Bovada... They are going to be only canceling bets that they feel are suspicious. That, first of all, they are going to refund those who uh, lost the bet because it was fixed. So they say, look, it wasn't fair to you if you bet on no streaker because it was fixed. There's going to be a streaker. Someone fixed this so they can win the other side. So we're just we're going to give you your money back. As far as those who bet on the streaker, we're working to determine whether you bet on this legitimately or if you were either part of a betting ring 
to fix this or someone who just heard it's fixed and wanted to take advantage of it. And those that were taking advantage of it are not going to get paid and may get banned. And those who appear to be just betting on it normally will get paid. So this is what Bovada said about it. They said, our players have always trusted us to ensure the integrity of all props offered in our sports book. We will continue to make sure that any publicity stunts or ill-intended behavior cannot adversely affect the outcome of a player's wager. So they will only pay legitimate yes bets on this one. And that uh, what they need to do is, quote, complete our investigation to identify all accounts associated with the irregularity bef- uh, before paying. So I think it's pretty simple. I mean, I could figure this out if, if given a list of the of everybody who bet on it and what their betting history was and when they created their account and when their account was last active prior to this, I could probably get with pretty high accuracy who was trying to angle this and who was just betting on it as a normal prop, especially because this was not a sophisticated scheme. The toughest ones to deal with will be the ones who just kind of hear about it being a fix, but not directly in on this. So people who are betting on other things anyway, people who had a long history of betting a Bovada, including recently, what do you do about them? What do you do about the guy who uh, has been regularly betting on there, but got the message, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm hearing rumors that there was going to be a streaker who's going to do it to win a bet. So bet on it, and then you bet. How How is Bovada going to separate that? Now, again, if you made a, a bet much bigger than you're typically allowed to make or typically make yourself, then that would make sense. But if you're somebody who is always betting large on everything, so the bet you're placing on this prop is no bigger than the bets you're placing on other props or other things about the Super Bowl, let's say you, you bet $500 on this prop, but you also bet $500 on other props, and you have in the past, and you make tons of bets around 500 I don't know how they're going to prove this. I think those they're going to have to pay. I guess they don't have to do anything because they don't really have any kind of real regulation. But I have a feeling they're going to pay those. But anything that shows what they call irregularity, either by bet size or account creation or accounts suddenly becoming active again, I think those are going to be the ones who won't be paid and some of them will be banned. Uh, this guy got banned and he said some of his friends got banned. So this whole scheme did not work. It looks like he's uh, just not going to get paid. There was an article in the New York Post basically saying this. It said, uh, Bovada could cancel bets after Super Bowl streaker said he made 374k on a stunt. And it said, uh, Clothes off, mouth shut may have been more profitable for Yuli Andrade, the Super Bowl streaker. Bovada is investigating irregular wagers made on the possibility of a fan streaking during the Super Bowl. So they, they uh, it's, it's basically saying the same thing the other article I was reading. But yeah, I agree. I mean, to go out there and brag about this is <laughs> stupid. I guess if you did this and got the money, then I guess you can brag at that point because Bovada can't do anything about it. But it's still not smart. And then what about that booking in Vegas? Why are you screwing over your celebrity friend in Vegas who's now going to have a bookie pissed at him for getting him scammed like that? This guy just couldn't keep his mouth closed. This guy just... This wasn't that bad of an idea, but you've got to do it in a smart way. A lot of times, 
what could be a very uh, devious and clever and profitable idea to scam or to screw others or to angle shoot gets ruined by greed. In fact, even the absolute poker super user scandal and the UB super user scandal were a case of this, where had the cheaters kept their win rate to something more reasonable and not just crushed everybody day after day after day, then it would have been believable that uh, that they were losing, that people were losing to him. Like, uh, it would have been believable that these, this player was just really good and just winning, but not someone who wins every single session and never makes a bad call. So greed ruins a lot of these schemes. And here it wasn't so much greed, it was more just recklessness and arrogance. In short, I don't think Bovada's in the wrong. I would do what they are doing. I would not pay this out to those who I felt were fixing this. And I do feel it's good that they are refunding everybody who lost the bet. So they are going to lose money on the whole thing because they're going to pay everybody back who lost and they're going to pay some winners. And I think that's a good thing to do. You can't just say, oh, they've got to eat the whole thing because they should not eat it for those that were looking to cheat them. So the guy tried, he failed, and that's that. I do not feel bad for anybody who got their money confiscated because they were part of this and I don't even feel all that bad for people who don't get paid who bet it just hearing there was a fix. Now, I don't think people should get their accounts closed if they were just betting on it because they heard it was a fix rather than someone who definitely created an account or reactivated an account just to bet on this. Like a regular sports better on there who also bet this, even if it was clear they bet more and had heard something. Uh, I don't think you should ban that type of person just because they heard a rumor, and people bet on rumors all the time. But uh, anyone who looks like they specifically showed up for this, if they got their money confiscated, I wouldn't feel bad for them, because it's very likely they were there to just screw Bovada, take the money, and run. Okay, well, let's move on to talk about Larry Flint. Larry Flint is the second high-profile Larry to die in 2021, the other one being Larry King. Larry Flint is a man, or shall I say was a man, with a very controversial history. Larry Flint started off as the owner of strip clubs in the 1970s. He passed away at the age of 78, by the way, so the 70s would have made him fairly young. In the early 70s, he was in his late 20s. Uh, mid to late 70s, he was in his 30s. So uh, He got into all this pretty early. He owned strip clubs, and then the strip clubs started to decline for whatever reason. And he was wondering, okay, what now? And he started Hustler Magazine. Hustler Magazine was a hardcore magazine. It was a hardcore uh, pornography magazine that was a lot different than something like Playboy. Playboy was the most popular nudie magazine of the time. But Playboy prided itself upon two things. Number one, having articles unrelated to naked women and sex. They would have articles about just general topics of interest to men. It was a, a magazine that was promoted as entertainment for men. I'm talking about Playboy, not Hustler. And uh, they never showed any kind of sex scenes. You didn't see anyone having sex in Playboy. You didn't see any women uh, masturbating or doing anything that was sexual to themselves. It was just pretty girls posing nude. That's all Playboy was, if you want to look at pretty girls who are nude. Of course, this became obsolete over time when you could uh, go on the Internet and see this very easily and for free, and you have a lot more variety. But uh, Playboy was the best-known one. 
there was also Penthouse eventually, uh, which is sort of similar to Playboy, but not as classy. And then Hustler was not classy at all. Hustler depicted hardcore sex scenes. Hustler was just pure pornography in print. And uh, this caused a lot of controversy because this was not common at the time. It's not like now where you can go on the internet and find this stuff all over the place. So back in the late 70s, there was a lot of controversy of whether a magazine like this should exist. And it created a question of free speech. Now, 1970s free speech and 2020s free speech are very different matters. In the 2020s, if you hear about free speech, it rarely involves obscenity. In fact, the Internet has pretty much ended the entire obscenity debate because it's so easy to find on the Internet that uh, there's no real point to debate whether obscene material uh, should be allowed because it's there and most people can access it if they want. So that's pretty much been the end of that for quite some time. Back in the 70s, that was not the case, obviously. So the question was, should there be magazines published that are very, very explicit and hardcore? Uh, and, and is there any harm to society of such a magazine being published? So there, that was the big First Amendment issue. And in fact, obscenity was the main First Amendment issue in those times, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, etc. What eventually became the free speech issue became, became ideological censorship. That is, uh, should things be censored by private corporations that uh, presents a certain political point of view? And you guys know my feeling on that. The answer is a big fat no. None of that should be censored, and there should be uh, everyone should be free to express their ideology, even ones that you may judge as uh, dangerous or incorrect or misinformation. That these things, uh, that's a very slippery slope to start censoring that stuff. So that's the view today. And today, the free speech thing is very much of a right wing issue. The right is constantly saying we want free speech. The left is saying. Uh, here's why this type of speech is harmful. We don't want it. Some of it is about uh, ideological censorship. Some of it is uh, what they call hate speech, which is also kind of ideological censorship, but also sort of not. So it's been the left who has been giving reasons why censorship is necessary in recent decades, whereas in the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, it was more about obscenity and not really about ideology. So... It was a big First Amendment issue, and Larry Flint was basically saying, I know you don't like my magazine. I know you think my magazine is gross. I know you think that my magazine is inappropriate, but I have the right to distribute it, and people have the right to read it. So even if you think it's awful, even if you think it's dirty, even if you would not want to read it, I should have a right to publish it, and others should have the right to look at it if they want. I actually agree with him. Had I been an adult at the time when this was happening, obviously in the late 70s when this was occurring, I was uh, too young to know about this. In fact, I wasn't aware of the existence of pornography. I was, I was actually aware of pornography existing much earlier than you would think. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but what I noticed in the, the 70s, uh, growing up in the 70s, is that kids found this stuff, like there, there were kids that, that got a hold of like nudie magazines when I was in like early elementary school and like when the teachers weren't looking would show each other. 
So you don't see this anymore. Like, like for some reason, even with access to a lot more of it, kids seem a lot more innocent now than they were like in the 70s and 80s, which is strange. Like less access yet uh, less innocence. But I, I definitely wasn't paying attention of, uh, you know, like in the late 70s when I'm a little kid, I wasn't thinking about, hey, should the hustler have a right to publish hardcore pornography like that? I, I kind of knew these like magazines of nude women existed and I knew there's something I knew kind of what sex was, but I didn't have a lot of interest in the topic. So I, I didn't really know this was going on until I was older and had already heard it had occurred. So there is a, a big First Amendment fight over this. And in fact, there is a film about it in 1996 starring Woody Harrelson playing Larry Flint called The People vs. Larry Flint. Eventually, Larry Flint was shot he was shot in 1978 in Georgia outside of a courthouse during one of his legal battles. So someone who saw him as a, as a terrible person, as a pornographer who's destroying society, decided that the, they're going to take the law into their own hands and, and they're going to shoot him dead. Now, they did not kill him, but he was left uh, partially paralyzed after getting shot due to spinal cord damage. And after 1978, he was uh, in a wheelchair. So he was... Uh, he wasn't completely paralyzed, but he was uh, crippled for life for the last 42-plus years that he lived because of that shooting. Uh, he's fortunate he survived, but uh, definitely changed his life. So as I said, I I agree that he was in the right back then. Even if you don't like hardcore pornography, even if you feel it does have uh, some damaging elements to society, and that's that's a debate one can have. Uh, and I can see both sides of that, but uh, regardless, he did have the right to publish this, and uh, I've never been a big fan of censoring something because of indecency. When I was in college in the early 90s, I remember having these debates with fellow conservatives, and they would tell me that they do feel that you need to censor indecent material. And I said, no, you don't. And this is a slippery slope, and you can't just... Just because you feel something's indecent doesn't mean that you should tell other adults that they don't have a right to look at it, or they don't have a right to publish it for others to look at. And that, you know, there there can be some censorship of indecency when uh, it's something that is forced upon someone. Like, I'm not saying they should have a... They should have murals of hardcore pornography out in the public square. Uh, they shouldn't have this at libraries for kids to see. But... Uh, yeah, you know, there needs to be certain things to keep it away from children and those who don't want to see it. But things like magazines that people will buy because they want to see it, that adults want to see it, and if it's not harming anybody, uh, then let them do it, even if you don't personally agree with it and you don't personally enjoy it. So that's how I felt. That's how I felt then. That's how I feel now. I remember telling conservatives in the early 90s, you've got to either be totally for free speech or you're not for free speech. You can't say, well, I'm for free speech, but... And strangely enough, even though it's over a different type of free speech, now we're hearing the same from the left in the 2020s and then the 2010s, the later part of the 2010s, of, well, yeah, the First Amendment's important, but we have to censor such and such because of this, and like, no, you don't. No, but this is so harmful, this is so dangerous, this incites problems, this incites violence, look what happened on January 6th. no. No, there will always be some negative consequences to free speech. And 
you just have to deal with those because the positives that free speech brings to society very much outweigh the negatives. And when you try to stop the negatives, you also kill the positives because so much is subjective of what is harmful, what is dangerous, what is indecent. And it becomes a slippery slope and it becomes where it's one person's judgment over another of what you're allowed to see or read. And I don't like that. You should be able to see everything and read everything. I'm not talking about like national secrets or, or things that are, uh, that should be kept private from you, like in certain information, uh, like people's personal information or whatever. But I'm, I'm talking about just material that is being censored simply because someone thinks it's, uh, not appropriate to read or it's, it's misinformation or because it's, uh, it's dangerous. If too many people read it, they're, they're going to take such and such action or, what any stuff like that, I do not agree with. I will never agree with it. I didn't agree thirty years ago. I don't agree now. So, in that way, I look upon Larry Flint positively. I also look upon him positively about his Hustler Casino in Gardena, California. Let us go back twenty years to January two thousand one. Not two thousand twenty one. Two thousand one. Larry Flint had just opened his Hustler Casino the prior year in 2000. He opened the Hustler Casino in Gardena, which uh, had a lot of card rooms. That was kind of the uh, the poker center of L.A. going back decades. If you talk to people, older people who played poker in the 70s, they will tell you they probably played in Gardena if they lived in Southern California. A lot of Gardena poker rooms in the 70s and even some that persisted. Some still exist today. So the Hustler Casino is not one that goes back to the 70s, but uh, it, it's fairly close to some of the other rooms. And he opened this one in Gardena, which is in the L.A. area, a little bit south of Los Angeles. And I remember seeing the articles about it. At the time I, I saw the articles about it, I was not quite playing poker yet. I had just started playing poker in January of one, And the first place I chose to go play was the Hustler. I had just read Lee Jones' book called Winning Low Limit Hold'em. It was a good introductory text to playing limit, Low Limit Hold'em and kind of getting the basics down. If you read that, you're not going to be a great Limit Hold'em player, but it will improve your game if you don't know Limit Hold'em strategy at all, as I did not. I was a new player. The Poker Boom had not started yet. The Poker Boom came in 03 as a combination of the World Poker Tour on TV and Chris Moneymaker winning the World Series, but that had not occurred yet in January of 01. And uh, I had finished the book, and I was excited to play my first poker session ever. Strangely enough, I bought the book in, like, I think October or November, and then I just didn't get around to reading it. And I had a regular job then, so I didn't – I wasn't sitting at home all day. I, I, I had a, a regular full-time software job, and uh, so I only had limited spare time. But I, I got around to reading the book, and by the time I finished the book, I was like, you know what? This is cool. I, I'm really looking forward to trying Limit Hold'em. So I went to the Hustler, which a friend of mine had told me was uh, a new casino and had a 3-6 game there. And it was, uh, he said, don't let the name Hustler fool you. It's not sleazy. I mean, yeah, it's got like this red velvet all over the walls. And you, you can tell like, like it's kind of got like a little bit of an adult theme to it. But there's like, there's nothing outright sleazy about it. There's no uh, 
there's no sexual uh, paintings on the walls or anything like that. It's like you can kind of tell it's not quite the average card room and that it has some association with the adult industry, but it's not blatant. It's very subtle. There's nothing dirty there. And in fact, it's, it's actually a clean and well-run new room. So I thought, okay, that sounds good. And I, I lived not that far from Gardena at the time. I didn't live like really close to it, but it was a lot closer to me than places like Commerce or the Bike or Hollywood Park. So I went to the Hustler to play my first ever poker session. I played 3-6 Limit Hold'em, and I broke exactly even. So I got home, and I called the girl I was dating at the time, who had only been dating for a little more than two weeks, and I told her that I played for the first time and that I enjoyed it. And she said, oh, you're, you're going to become addicted to this. And I said, no, no, no. It was fun, but I'm, I'm not going to do this like every day. It's like, like I'm not going to be like constantly playing poker or anything for the next 20 years. <laughs> and she said, I don't believe you. You are. I know this is the start of it. And she was right. She wasn't even against it. She was just saying like, ah, no, no, no. You're going to see what happens. And I, I guess she was right about that. She wasn't a poker player at all herself, but. I guess she called that one correctly. The Hustler is actually a nice room. I've talked about it before. They've actually kept it up well over the years, too. If you go back there, it does not look like run down or beaten up. It looks, it doesn't look brand new, but it, it's, it's clean. It's a medium sized room. It's not big and impersonal like commerce. Like commerce in the bike, what's kind of annoying is you, you kind of feel like you're just playing in a giant building. There, it, these rooms don't have any personality to them. They don't have any charm to them. They're big and they have a lot of offerings. There's a lot of games running there. A lot of people. Very popular. But they're not interesting. They're not charming. It's just kind of a big cold room. The Hustler, it, it, it does. It has. Uh, it, it's kind of a cool-looking place, a unique-looking place. The floor men uh, are pretty friendly. Uh, I've just noticed the vibe in the Hustler has always been a lot more relaxed. In commerce, like everybody's pissed off. Everybody in commerce is just sitting there pissed and on edge constantly. It's not like that at the hustler. Everybody's calm there. It's like, it's like a different place. It's like a different city. <laughs> it, it, they're not that far from each other, but boy, it, it's worlds of difference in the way people behave at commerce versus the hustler. And even the bike. The bike also, you get some of the same commerce element there. Not quite as bad, but similar. But hustler a lot more relaxed. So, I always enjoyed playing there. The highest limit hold'em game they have is twenty-five fifty. They were never able to get above that. They had attempted at some point to have games running above that. And I played them a few times, but they could never get them going because they uh, they didn't want to do a time charge. They wanted to do a rake, and they weren't understanding that the other rooms were doing a time charge, and they w- they weren't doing what was necessary to draw people away from commerce and the bike. Instead, they were trying to charge more overall than Commerce and the Bike, and people are not going to go to the casino without the active game to get charged more and rake, and they weren't getting that. I was trying to explain that to them. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we understand, but it's not our, you know, we'll have to bring this stuff to upper management. Like, I, I said, okay, whatever. I, I'm trying to tell you, give you guys some tips here to make this game successful. It, it, it didn't work. But anyway, I enjoyed The Hustler. Most people who've been to The Hustler have good things to say about it. And Larry Flint himself used to play there. He used to be a regular fixture there. I saw him playing some very large games. I watched him play 1,500, 3,000 there. 
There was a, a limit game. I don't know if it was mixed or limit hold'em, but whatever it was, he was playing 1,500, 3,000. According to an article I'm reading, at one point he played as high as 4,000, 8,000 there. That was in, uh, I think, the mid-2000s, probably a little bit after I was there. But he was already playing very high in the early 2000s. In fact, I remember seeing uh, big players there sitting next to him and playing with him in these games. Uh, people like Huck Seed and uh, Barry Greenstein and uh, Chip Reese. Like I, I saw people at the Hustler that you would not normally think would show up to play in a room where there's no big games running. But there was this nosebleed game that would go around Larry Flint. Now, Flint was a poker player going back to the 70s. So he had a lifetime interest in poker. So he wasn't a guy who just suddenly found poker during the boom. Remember, he started his room in 2000 mainly because he liked poker, mainly because he wanted to give himself a a place to play. He had been uh, running a high-stakes game at his home in the late 1990s. And then he got the idea, like, why should I do this? Instead of having these uh, high-stakes players come to my house, why don't I start a casino? Why don't I start an L.A. area casino? I'm I'm here in the L.A. area anyway. There are card rooms here. I'm going to start one myself. And he did. And then the big game moved to his casino, and I watched it go. I remember watching him. He was wheeled around by security guards. And I will say the guards were pretty obnoxious. When they're wheeling Larry, you get out of the way. So one time I'm, I'm walking between the tables. The one thing I don't like about the Hustler is there's, there's not a lot of room there between tables. So you have to kind of – it's almost like going through a maze to get around the place in some areas. So like I'm trying to weave through the tables and then they're pushing Larry and they're like, out of the way, out of the way, out of the way. And I, I have to like jump out of the way or the thing's going to run me over. <laughs> they're pushing his wheelchair at, at breakneck speed. Not like they're running away from something, but like they're not slowly pushing it, having people move. They're like pushing it pretty quickly and told, out of the way, out of the way, out of the way. So he was like the king there. You got to get out of the way for his, of his wheelchair that was being pushed by security guards. So then I'd watch and they'd push him to a table. And then I'd see very large chips put at the table. And... He'd be playing against these uh, big poker pros that I would see in Card Player Magazine, but had never met before in person. It was interesting, and I'd be in my little uh, $3, $6, or $4, $8 game there, limit hold'em, not even no limit, which didn't go very often back then. And then uh, eventually that stopped. So I, I guess maybe around 2010, I'm just estimating, you wouldn't see him playing much anymore for whatever it was. For whatever reason, he stopped playing these high-stakes games there. At least not that often. You may wonder, does he have World Series of Poker results? And the answer is, well, sort of. Uh, For unknown reasons, he was banned from the World Series before Caesars took over. Uh, He is in the Hendon mob, if you take a look. His total lifetime caches, despite being a very high-limit player who had a ton of money, is substantially less than what I have. His total lifetime earnings, and when I say earnings, of course, I mean cashes, would be $240,000. I've cashed almost a million. Uh, almost all of this comes from his own casino in a massive uh, buy-in stud tournament in 2003. It was a uh, $127,000 buy-in uh, stud tournament, and he finished second for uh, $230,000, which kind of sounds to me like there weren't many players. 
Barry Greenstein won for seven hundred seventy thousand. He was second for two hundred thirty, and then uh, there was only eight entries, so that makes sense. the The prize pool was only a million dollars, and they took two thousand rake. So I guess it was one hundred twenty seven thousand buy in. Eight people entered, and there's a million dollar prize pool. And uh, Barry Greenstein got seventy seven percent. He got twenty three percent. So out of eight players, he came in second to get uh, two hundred thirty thousand cashed, but he only made one hundred three thousand dollars profit. <laughs> so. He cashed for 230, but he only profited 103K. And then his other caches were in 2000 at the World Series of Poker. He finished eighth in the uh, 5K stud. And in 2008 in Paris, he played some low limit tournament for uh, a, a 30 euro no limit hold and freeze out, which he has to be doing for fun. He even has said before he doesn't like gambling for low stakes. It's not fun for him. He's he said that before. Like he either wants to play for meaningful money or he doesn't want to play. So I guess he, I guess he changed his mind on that, or he was just bored there. It's hard to imagine being bored in Paris, but he was. So the, those were his three caches: that tiny cash in Paris for 155 bucks, that 230k in that eight-man tournament, and then his 10k at the World Series in 2000. But apparently, he got banned from the World Series again for reasons I don't know. But he had some kind of dispute. And they banned him. And I don't know if he tried to get unbanned in the Caesars era or, or what. Or that He just never played again. Jack Binion was the one who handed down the ban. And uh, I don't know if the ban happened after or before his cash. But whatever it was, that he had only a single cash in the World Series despite uh, really liking poker. But unlike someone like Jerry Buss who became uh, really obsessed with poker at the end of his life. And the, Jerry Buss, the former owner of the Lakers, who also has passed away, Jerry Buss became so obsessed with poker that he actually preferred poker over the Lakers. Like, I remember the Lakers were in the playoffs, and Buss was in a $1,000 limit hold'em tournament with me and wasn't even looking up at the TV to see how the Lakers were doing. I was more interested in the Lakers game than he was, and he was the damn owner. It was surreal. But he, he became bored with the Lakers in his later years, Jerry Buss, and he was really into poker. Uh, Larry Flint seemed to have lost interest in poker in his later years. I just didn't see him playing that much. I'm not sure why. It may have been because of a deteriorating physical condition, though apparently he died of a heart attack. Apparently his death was not expected, that he just had an abrupt heart attack and died. At the age of 78, that's why you hadn't heard that he was sick. But he, obviously what happened to him back in 78 affected his health. It's just uh, when you can't keep as active as you otherwise would if you were just a normal, able-bodied human being who can just walk around, uh, that really can take a toll on your body, which you may not expect. You may not exercise actively, but just walking around your house just walking around doing errands, whatever. Even this is a moderate amount of exercise that actually keeps you more healthy than if you're sitting in a wheelchair constantly. So that that can take years off your life, even if nothing is damaged from whatever put you in the wheelchair. And he did take some damage there to his spinal cord. So I, I don't know if that has to do with a heart attack, not that a heart attack at 78 for an overweight man, which he was, uh, not that that's uncommon or unlikely, so if he was just a normal dude who's a somewhat overweight 78-year-old guy, has a heart attack, I wouldn't go, oh, my God, that's shocking. Like, I'd say, oh, yeah, that's 
Kind of happens a lot. So, anyway, Larry Flint is gone. I didn't like his politics. Strangely enough, uh, he complained about censorship on social media. You may say, wait a minute, sounds like you do agree with him. But no, he was actually complaining a number of years ago about censorship of the left on social media. And that he felt something had to be done about Twitter and Facebook because they were censoring left-wing content, which obviously isn't happening anymore. But he raised a big issue that they need to be under control and that they wield too much power, kind of ahead of his time there. Now, I doubt he would have raised these issues with what is happening today if that's what was happening all along. Like if from the very start they were only censoring right-wing content, I doubt he wouldn't have said anything. And see, that's where I don't have respect for him, is that as much as he was an icon for free speech, he only cared about free speech on his side of the aisle on things that affected him. So, yeah, he wanted the freedom to distribute a very dirty pornographic very dirty pornographic magazine. Okay, he should have that freedom, but he cared about that so much because it was his magazine. And then he was upset that big social media was censoring left-wing speech in his opinion. Well, I agree, again, they shouldn't censor left-wing speech. I don't know if that was really happening. I didn't really see that, but he seemed to believe it was. But okay, if he was correct, if there was censorship of left-wing opinion for ideological reasons, then I agree that should not be happening. I want all left-wing opinion to be out there. I do not want to see it censored. I do not want to see it suppressed in any way. Even pieces that make Republicans look bad. Even pieces that may get additional votes for Democratic candidates. I want that information out there. And I'm not just saying this to sound good. I want all of that out there. I don't want it restricted at all. So I agree with Larry Flint if he was really pointing to uh, real instances of censorship, which I forget the whole thing, so I, I don't remember if he was or not. But uh, I agree there shouldn't be that censorship. But I never saw Larry Flint taking on the cause of censorship against the right. And there have been liberals who have been doing that recently. There have been liberals who are speaking out presently about uh, cancel culture and censorship against the right. People like Noam Chomsky, who definitely would not be confused as someone on the right. And yet there are those, mainly old school liberals, who are saying, no, we, we think our fellow Democrats are not behaving correctly and are uh, censoring the right and we don't agree with that. And I respect that a lot. But Larry Flint didn't do that. Larry Flint's one of these guys who had disputes where I was on his side, but yet one of the things he was famous for, being a free speech advocate, he really only went halfway with that. He didn't go the more difficult half, which is wanting free speech for what he doesn't agree with and what doesn't benefit him personally. So that's why I said I have mixed opinions about him. Also, the guy was sleazy. I mean, let's, let's face it. The guy was sleazy, and uh, it's not like you should look at a guy who was pushing for uh, more availability of hardcore pornography as a great figure of society. It's one thing to be an advocate of free speech saying that this should be okay, but actually being the guy who distributes it, actually being the pornographer, I find it hard to admire someone like that even if I feel people should have the right to look at it. 
So he was just a sleazy dude. I mean, a strip club owner, almost all of them are sleazy. He was just a sleazy dude who found a, a business opportunity that was successful. And then some puritanical types didn't want to see that type of smut out there and tried to stop it. And he waged a successful free speech argument against it, against their attempt to stop him. And he was right. But it was really for selfish reasons, if you think about it. But I did like the casino he started. I really thought pretty good things about the place. And uh, before I walked in there, I'm like, oh, am I going to walk in here and see like a really like sleazy, dirty place that like totally lacks class? But no, they he, he did a good job with it. Like it's very subtle. I always felt that that was the most charming of all the L.A. casinos. And of course, I don't agree with his politics in general. So that doesn't make me think badly of someone. There's people who I like personally very much who think opposite politically, which I do. You know, as long as we can agree to disagree, that's fine. Even uh, young Master Scaler, who appears on this show, is very opposite of me politically. But that doesn't change my opinion of him. So anyway, here's some comments in the chat from Shoeshine Box, who is a uh, poker dealer. He's dealt to me before. He said, uh, Ted Forrest and Johnny World, referring to John Hennigan, beat his ass at seven-card stud for years. They're crying today. <laughs> he played with seven better players, referring that he was the fish at the table, which I believe. I was dealing to him that day. I'm not sure which day he's talking about. Uh, he had uh, two to three girlfriends with him, $5 tipper minimum. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, he did have uh, pretty girls surrounding him a lot. When he was at the Hustler, I saw that too. That's a, that's a good point. Thank you for mentioning that shine box. I don't know how I forgot that, but yeah, I'd be at uh, Hustler and I yeah I would see like pretty young girls around him. I don't know what he actually did with him. I don't even think he could still have sex after what happened to him in 78. May have just been for show. Someone else who was always with at least one pretty girl, usually just one, but uh, Jerry Buss sometimes played there and uh, always had some girl in her 20s, some pretty girl in her 20s sitting with him. In fact, I actually saw Jerry Buzz there playing at uh, High Stakes. And uh, I remember seeing that uh, someone, uh, that w- some girl he was with, uh, wanted uh, to play in some game there, some like mid-stakes game. And he just handed her a $1,000 chip. And then she went off. So he's like, hey, I need I need more. So he just, he just hands her $1,000. Goodbye. Like, Whatever. The cost of being an old dude hanging out with uh, young pretty girls. So I'm sure Larry did something similar. Definitely a uh, controversial and interesting figure in modern American history. Larry Flint, definitely with a poker connection, and he is gone at the age of 78. 775 fraud 55 775 you can text or you can call. Okay, let's go to something lighter rather than someone dying or someone not getting paid on Bovada. Let's go to something lighter. Let's talk about the mastermind of roulette. I guarantee no other show is going to cover this except this one. This is this is going to be a poker fraud alert exclusive before and after. <laughs> you never heard about this before on any show and you're not going to hear about this afterwards. I guarantee this is something only I will cover. But Alan Kessler brought this to my attention. 
Alan Kessler likes to bring things to my attention that look uh, fraudulent or shady because he knows. He knows what I'm interested in. He listens to the show sometimes. I think he listened last week. But uh, Kessler even come up to me at the World Series and say, hey, you know, I have a poker fraud for you. And he'll tell me about something. Sometimes it's like an interesting story and I'll look into it. But he, he tagged me on Facebook and said, what do you think of this, Todd? And it was something called Mastermind of Roulette. I think he saw this pop up on his feed as like an advertisement, like a targeted ad. And, and Facebook will take ads from anything now. Facebook used to have some standards where they would not run ads from outright scammers. Uh, that went out the window. In 2020, Facebook realized that the whole world was concerned with the pandemic. The big concern in 2020, the number one concern was the pandemic. The n- number two concern eventually in the middle of the year was the rioting and, and, and the protesting and all that and, 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 and the uh, police brutality accusations and all that stuff associated with the George Floyd death. And, and number three was the election. So th- these are the three concerns in 2020. You know, what I, you, know, you know what nobody concerned about in 2020? You know what nobody was worried about in 2020? Uh, scam ads on Facebook. And Facebook realized that. Facebook realized that no one was going to care, so they dropped their standards down to nothing. And there were outright scams that were showing up on my Facebook feed as like sponsored ads. So there were these scam travel agencies based out of China with impossibly cheap trips to Cancun and other places that uh, like for $99, you just get this, uh, you get the flight, you get five days of a hotel, uh, all inclusive with food. Uh, there's no chance. There's no chance this was real. And of course, since you couldn't travel at the time, it was a perfect scam because you have 18 months to use it. And of course, you know what happens after some time passes and then they reopen. Uh, that company's long gone. Uh, I also saw ads on Facebook for like stand-up arcade machines. So you can get a, a old-school coin-op uh, Pac-Man machine in great condition for $109, including shipping. No chance of that either. So these these were all just like outright scams. These weren't even this like semi scams or things that were kind of shady or unethical or misleading. These were just outright scams or just steal your money and give you nothing. And sure enough, like you'd see in the comments that people had fallen for the scams and were getting nothing and just had been stolen from and Facebook did nothing about it. So along those same lines, this mastermind of roulette thing popped up, which is an app. So the funny thing was <laughs> there's this weird picture. It's this very bizarre picture. It's a picture of a smartphone. It's not a real picture. It's a drawing. It's a drawing of a smartphone. looks like an iPhone that is also a roulette table. So like two-thirds of the picture looks like just an app running on this giant smartphone. And then the other portion of the smartphone looks like it's an actual roulette wheel sitting on top of the smartphone with actual roulette chips sitting on top of the smartphone. And the weirdest part of the picture is there is some guy in in a like a red outfit with a red hood on which looks like he might be holding I'm not sure if he's holding a gun he kind of looks like he's holding a gun <laughs> and has on like a mask this like sinister looking mask and he's standing behind the smartphone so to me this looks like like an evil person who's going to scam you it looks like it looks like a scammer who's holding a gun is running this app and you're going to be playing with him. It's like a terrible, I don't know what this promotion is supposed to be. Like, I don't know what, what you're trying to, what they want you to get from this. Like, I don't know what this guy is supposed to be. He's not very inviting. It's not like a guy in a suit 
who's who's looking very dapper and and looks like a guy you'd want to play with running the game. This is like a very shady, scary-looking guy in a mask wearing a, a red hoodie, staring at you, holding what looks like a gun. <laughs> so why would you want to get an app like that if that's who's supposed to be presenting it to you? It's, it's bizarre. I, I can't even ex- begin to explain the meaning of that. Well... If you click on it, if you click on the link to it, it takes you to a website, and you can go take a look at yourself while we're discussing this here. Mastermindofroulette.com, exactly as it sounds. Mastermindofroulette.com. Now, before I continue, I want to make it very clear that this is not a sponsor. I do not endorse this. Please do not buy this because you think I'm recommending it, because I am not. I am, I'm covering this so we can all laugh at it together. That's, however, if the owner of this would like to come on the show and explain it, then he's welcome to. I'm not going to resist that. If he, if he wants to give his rebuttal of why this is not stupid and perhaps a scam, then go ahead. But this is really weird. So you click on it, and now you don't just see one guy like that, you know, the guy in the red holding the gun. Now you see like about 12 of them together all staring at you. <laughs> Like, like a big group of them. This is like a nightmare. This, this is like a nightmare. This, like if I had a dream and I had like 12 of these identical guys in the group staring at me with their blank eyes, with their mustache, their handlebar mustache sticking up as high as their eyes are, and they look deranged, I, I would think I'm about to be murdered. Like how is, how is this supposed to be an appealing logo? But it says, join the resistance. Ah, oh, okay, I get it. These guys are the resistance against House Edge. Oh, join the resistance against House Edge. So these scary looking dudes who are staring at you like zombies, like they're gonna, like rip your heart out of your chest. And one of them's holding a gun for some reason. For some reason, these dudes are the resistance you're supposed to join. It says, discover the only system able to increase your chances to win at roulette. All right. Um, how would that work? Roulette is exactly what you would think it is. Roulette is a ball spinning around in a wheel and landing on a number, and you are betting either on a specific number you're hoping it's going to land on, or on groups of numbers. So you can bet on the first 12, the second 12, the third 12, on odd or even, on either 1 through 18 or 19 through 36. You know, there's 36 numbers. It's always negative expectation. Always. There's no way to positively gamble on roulette. You can bet at negative expectation to get lucky, but it is never positive expectation because there's just no way to do it. Now, how is a negative expectation? Well, it's because of the zero. There's a green zero on there. Sometimes one green zero, sometimes two green zeros, which is known as a double zero, and sometimes three green zeros, a zero, a double zero, and a triple zero. That's a newer invention by the Venetian, which is now catching on elsewhere in Vegas. And the more green zeros there are, the worse your odds are, because if it lands on one of these green zeros, then every other bet loses. So let's say you have a bet on first 12, second 12, and third 12. Well, if there was no zero, you'd be guaranteed to break even every time because it would land on one of these three, either the first 12, 1 through 12, the second 12, 13 through uh, 24, or the third 12, 25 through 36. So every time, uh, one would win uh, where you'd win double your money, and then the other two would lose, and you'd break even. 
The reason you would not break even in the long run doing this is because once in a while it would land on zero and all three would lose. So everything on the board pays you as if you're only betting on 36 numbers, but in reality there's 37, 38, or 39 numbers because of the zeros. So that's where the house edge comes from. And as you might guess, the house edge with three of the zeros on the wheel is triple what it would be for one zero on the wheel. And that's why triple zero roulette is so bad. But even with single zero roulette, it is negative expectation. And there's no way around that. And there's no betting system to do it. There's no strategy to do it. And look, if you don't believe me, there are simulators out there. Go go find one online. You can do it without risking any money. There are roulette simulators, and you could run like a billion hands. So you could do a billion hands betting on red, a billion hands betting on black. Or if you don't want to do a billion hands, just just try anecdotally doing a lot of hands with whatever your system is. Your system may win money in the short term if you get lucky, but you'll see in the long term you will never have a profit long term because you just cannot beat mathematics. And the longer you play, the more it becomes a mathematical certainty that you will lose. The more variance will smooth out, as is the case with all of these games. So people coming up with these betting systems of, you know, bet this if this happens, bet this if that happens, look at the the list of numbers that have appeared, because they always have a list of numbers that have appeared like in the last uh, 20 or so spins, and people think, okay, well, let's see, if we've seen six black in a row, that means the next one's red. No, it doesn't. The wheel has no memory. The only possible way that a roulette wheel could be positive expectation is if it's actually not a fair wheel. And if it is landing on some numbers more than others. But that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's very difficult to determine. So bottom line is you're not going to make money betting roulette. Now, here's a picture I'm looking at on the site. And uh, I think they needed to hire a better artist here. Now, not that the art is bad. The, The picture, aside from these creepy looking dudes, is actually pretty cool. It's a little bit bizarre, but it's kind of cool. What isn't very cool is the roulette board. Everything looks good about the roulette board except this. The first 12, second 12, and third 12 you can bet on. First 12 is okay. It says 1ST for first first 12. But second 12 is 2ST12. (laughs) (laughs) And guess what? Third is... 3ST12. So it's not first 12, second 12, third 12. It's first 12, second 12, and thirst 12. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow the the guy who commissioned this being drawn or did it himself didn't notice. But okay, that little mistake aside, this is uh, something based out of the UK, I believe, somewhere in Europe. Maybe it's not even in the UK. It's somewhere in Europe. It's in Euros, so maybe it's not even in the UK. But whoa, 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 hold on. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about this not helping you win. Because Mastermind of Roulette has testimonials. Okay, so apparently there's a lot of different testimonials from all over the world who are claiming that this will actually win you money. So let's read some of these testimonials. This is right on the front page of mastermindofroulette.com. William J. from Phoenix wrote, I didn't believe there was a program that made real money in roulette. This is the first one I've ever found. Congratulations, Mastermind. (laughs) Alan W. from Bristol, UK. 
After five days, my gain is $12,040. Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, $1,240. Well, same thing. Guillermo A. from Barcelona, Spain. He estado jugando durante muchos años, pero nunca he encontrado una forma tan fácil y funcional de ganar. Muchas gracias. So let me translate this from what I remember of Spanish. Uh, I've been playing this for many years uh, without uh, without success, uh, but so this uh, easy and uh, functional winning system. Thanks a lot. Thinks that what that means. It's, it's been a while since I took Spanish. Michelle S. from Milan, Italy. It's amazing how these people are all spread around the world. It's not just like a bunch of people from the U.S., a bunch from the U.K., a bunch from Spain. It's just, it, it's spread around. The, the first uh, four comments are all different countries. So, Michelle S., thank you, Mastermind. I've been earning three days, and I'm starting to believe it's all true. Wow. Clara S. from Malaga, Spain. Probe el sistema de forma gratuita. Y me hizo ganar 230 euros en un día. Es un buen comienzo. So she's basically saying the system uh, is great and it's, uh, I've, I've won 230 euros in one day. It's a very good system. Brian M. from Nottingham, UK. I just closed in the first month at uh, staggering uh, $4,200. Uh, thank you so much. I've got a question here. How come these two guys from the UK are winning in dollars, not pounds? <laughs> Here's a Mike K from Tucson. Interesting that uh, of the two people in the U.S. Uh, both are from Arizona. That's a coincidence. Mike K wrote, "I don't know who you are, but you're a bloody genius. I earned for the first time in five days in a row. It's a blessing program." Okay, a few problems here. First of all, uh, a guy from Tucson wouldn't call someone a bloody genius. That's something Colonel Fabersham would say. I don't know who you are, but you're a bloody genius. That's, that's what Colonel Fabersham would say, not, not Mike from Tucson. Also, uh, I don't think a native English speech, speaker from Tucson would say, I earned for the first time in five days in a row, it's a blessing program. I don't think that's the way most people would speak English here. <laughs> now, it is true, uh, maybe Mike crossed the border from Mexico. Maybe he's not a uh, native English speaker, but I, wouldn't his name be Miguel, not Mike? I don't know about this. And then we have uh, Luigi P. from Bologna, Italy. Ho vinto five giorni su six nella prima settimana uh, Guadagliando 970 euro. Bel sistema! I don't understand that whole thing, but the end is a what a system. I know that. So Luigi, apparently taking a break from uh, jumping over turtles and uh, saving princesses with his uh, plumber brother. He took a break there to try this system, and it worked. Now, how come there's no place to submit testimonials, and how come these are all positive? There's not a single person who lost. They are spread out between the U.S., Italy, U.K., and Spain. Somehow, the guy from Tucson doesn't speak good English and uses the word bloody. Like if he's, Even if Mike snuck in from Mexico, or even, let's say he's a legal immigrant from Mexico, Okay, I, I shouldn't say Mike's illegal. I won't be a racist here. I won't make assumptions. Maybe Mike legally came into the country from Mexico, but then why is he saying bloody? You don't have, the guys from Mexico don't say bloody. 
I don't know about these testimonials. I it, it kind of seems like maybe the owner of the app could have made these all up and then use Google Translate to write in different languages. Hmm. I guess it's a possibility. So, okay, but how does this work? Let's figure this out. There's actually a link that says, how does this work? Okay, important information about the program. To get the high probability numbers, please read the following instructions with CAUTION in all caps and watch the demo video. Oh, I'm so excited there's a video. Enter the number just exited by double-clicking on the number, the virtual table, or by clicking once on the number, and then register the number button. If the entry has been done correctly, the number is immediately shown on the number line located at the base of the table of the buttons. Uh, the program suggests to bet on an individual full number starting from one. I don't know what that means. I think they're trying to say, like, what else would you bet on? A decimal? Like, a, Are they saying that it's going to advise you to bet on a whole number, like one, two, three? You, you're not going to be betting on it's going to land on 1.43? <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, the program decides when to put a stop on the winnings and when to put a stop on the losses. From that moment on and for the rest of the day, no new high probability numbers will be provided. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't want you to win too much, you see. It's going to put a stop to the winnings. It could let you win indefinitely. You could you could eventually uh, overtake Elon Musk as the richest man in the world with the system. However, it, it the program is not greedy. It will put a stop to it, and it will put a stop in the losses. So if, if you're starting to lose, it's going to put a stop, which kind of makes sense because that's what's going to happen. At least it mitigates the damage. But here, it actually stops you from winning too, and that's it. It's not going to give you any more for the remainder of the day. You've got to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> I guess in a way that's responsible gambling. Okay. Uh, So apparently this is one of these number systems which is supposed to be tracking the numbers coming out and can figure out the, quote, high probability numbers. However, I still don't understand why you would restrict it for the whole day. I want to find this video. Where is this video? Oh, here we are. Okay. I found it. 39 minutes. I'm not going to watch 39 minutes, but that's, that's, I can't believe this 39 minutes. Who's really going to watch 30? Even for laughs, I'm not going to watch 39 minutes of this. Okay, let's, let's go. Oh, wait, there's no sound. Is there seriously no sound? First of all, it's like loading really, really slowly. I think they, they bought like the, the $5 a month plan of shared hosting because like loading this video, it's stored on their server. Yeah, it's a no sound video. That's very disappointing. I was really hoping that I could do this with, uh, with you guys. But by the way, I do see at the bottom, you can click on uh, MasterCard and Visa and, and, and some other cards that are in Europe. So I guess like they make it easy for you to buy there, but they're just showing the program in action. It's kind of boring. Okay, never mind. Let's go to the FAQ. I was really hoping I'd see a video and could make fun of it, but not a silent video. That doesn't work for a radio show. Okay, question. Who are you? I'm 50 years old. 25 of them spent in casinos around the world, first as a croupier and then as a professional player. The croupier, by the way, is the uh, the one who runs the roulette game. To my colleagues, I'm the mastermind of roulette. Okay, who, who, who gave you that name? <laughs> who are your colleagues? Uh, I'm proud to have three weapons. Uh-oh, here's the weapons again. Determination, self-control, and rationality. Okay, okay. I thought... He's going to have three guns if we don't buy a system. Uh, thanks to these qualities, I have sailed on sight, and I have managed to build up a good fortune. What does sailed on sight mean? Now I put my experience at the service of other players. Hmm. Okay. Why did you create this program is the next question. 
In 25 years, I've known thousands of players and seen so many people lose everything, ruin important assets, throw away large inheritances, borrow money to play. With all the experience lived, I have taught my gaming techniques to about 100 players. Then I decided to create an automatic program that could generate profits and give the player a real advantage over those money machines called casinos. What are the features of the program? See, he's, he's doing this out of generosity. For some reason, he's charging for it, though, but he's doing this out of generosity. The program must not be installed. What? What? It must not be installed. I, I kind of agree there, but uh, once you have made the purchase, click on Login in the main menu, enter your login details, and the game page will open. The program suggests how much to play, but also when to stop. Okay, so it looks like this is not even an app. It's like a web page you log into. I think he's trying to say there's no app to install is what he's trying to say. Uh, what are the unique advantages of the program? Okay, the statistical advantage of the program is 4.8% see statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Against the mathematician, 2.7% of the house. He's trying to say the, there's a 2.7% house edge, but uh, you actually get a 4.8% uh, advantage instead of losing 2.7% of the house using this program. He says, see the statistics. I'll have to look at that in a second. You can use it to play French roulette and casinos, both physical and online, with live dealers. It is simple and immediate to use. Just touch the last exit number, confirm, and the program will give you the numbers to bet. What are the guarantees? Yeah, I want to know that too. This program will not be sold to any casino or industry counterparts because the players must have the advantage they deserve. The program does not allow the player to ruin himself, i.e. lose all his capital. (laughs) You don't know that. What if he's making bigger bets than he has a bankroll for? How much does it cost? I also like how he's saying he won't sell it to any casinos. How does he know? What if someone buys it who runs a casino? How does he know who he's selling to? You can choose the subscription you prefer. One week is uh, 99 euros. One month is uh, 349 euros. And what about one year? What would one year of this very, very lucrative program cost you? $100 billion. Might as well, but it's actually uh, 3,490 euros. I have to say, you're not getting that big of a discount of one year versus one month. Now, I will admit one week, if you did that every week for a year, that would be uh, almost 5,200 euros. So that would make sense why you'd want to go with a 3490 plan. That's substantially less. But if one month is 349, then you would get 10 months for 3490. So you're really only getting two free months if you get a whole year, which I don't know. That doesn't sound like the best discount. Is there a free trial? Of course, he says. You could try the program for free for one day. Register all required data in relative relative section. You will receive the access codes via email within a few minutes. I wish I saw this before. I, would, I, I totally want to try this out. I'm not kidding. I do want to try this out. Not that I think it works. I know it doesn't work, but that's, I, I do kind of wish I could try this out. <laughs> Unless it wants my credit card. Then I'm, I'm not giving my credit card as a guarantee or anything. I, I should have done this beforehand. Well, maybe next week. Okay, let's look at the statistics, and we'll be done with this segment. Oh, I, there's a PDF of statistics. Okay, hopefully there's no virus here. Okay, statistics. They're showing basically anything you try to bet on the house edge is 2.7%, which is true. He's talking about with one zero, which is also true. 
But Mastermind of Roulette program, if you're just he's saying the house is just two point seven normally, but if you use the program, the odds to win is actually fifty two point four percent, meaning that this is a four point eight percent edge overall over the casino. Then he's showing these program statistics about uh, they've they've examined uh, six point four million spins. <laughs> And uh, they've analyzed 36 casinos, 24 being live, 12 being online. They've had uh, 53,395 sessions. They have uh, a daily stop loss of 600 euro. On average, they're winning 145 euro per session. They had uh, 42,182 winning sessions and 11,213 losing sessions. Max daily gain was 324 euros and max daily lost uh, 486 euros. They did not say total money won. Yeah, they, uh, that's really missing here. I don't know why their system is doing it because maybe they're telling you how much to bet. It could be some sort of modified martingale thing where you are going to win more sessions than you lose, but that the losses are much more devastating than the wins. And the fact that the max daily loss is bigger than the max daily gain is a little bit strange. I, like I, I hate to be sounding like I'm giving this any credibility. You know, I'm trying to like seriously analyze. It. I'm just trying to think like, did he really think he's analyzing something? Like, is this an outright scam or does he really believe in it? Like, I don't understand. It is interesting that he has the number of winning sessions, number of losing sessions, but not total money won. That's totally missing from this, which is a pretty big omission. It's a huge omission. So they they had uh, 6.4 million spins, and they can't say how much it won. Like the very basic thing you should put out is, we had this many spins. We bet this much per spin, and this was our profit or loss. Like that—that that should be it. Here's like a lot of meaningless statistics. It's almost like the guy knows it's losing but doesn't want to admit it. He was actually responding to Kessler, who was bashing it. <laughs> he's like, he's—he's uh, he's trying to be nice. He's like, no, no, give us a chance. You know, I want you to, to download it and try it. We are not a scam. And he—he he was not hostile back with Kessler. He—the guy who responded back, even though he had that scary picture of the that zombie-looking thing in the mask and the red hood was very, very cordial with Mr. Kessler, but of course many scammers are. I mean, I know it's a scam, but the guy, I, the only question is whether the guy realizes it's a scam. Does he really think he's a winning roulette player and it's just delusional, or is this an outright scam? That's a little bit hard to guess. Okay, so I'm going to take a break here, and I'll be back to do the second half of the show. Probably less than half, because we don't have any really long topics left, whereas the Terrence Chan topic was quite long. We still have uh, four regular topics on the schedule, and we have uh, the coronavirus topics and maybe an editorial, but I'm kind of feeling like I'm not going to have the energy for the editorial. We will see, but I'm going to take a break here, and then I will be back. I'll play the Eric Benzamokin ad. I do have to take a little break, let my voice refresh itself. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. There's been nobody here with me. It's just been me. Desert Runner gave me a short break by calling in. That's what I get by doing the show so late. Get fewer callers, fewer live listeners, less live interaction. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. 
Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back, and we will do the remainder of the show, hopefully. I got a text from Brandon Drexel Gerson telling me that he has a migraine headache tonight and will not be able to join the show. He did send me a suggested topic, which we're going to do as a bonus topic for tonight, and that is about Caesars. This is something I didn't know about until Brandon texted me, and I saw it while I was taking the break. This is from Vital Vegas, who I, I hate quoting because I don't like this guy, and he's seriously wrong uh, many times. But uh, we will trust that he's correct on this one, kind of uh, cautiously trust. He wrote, don't shoot the messenger, but we got our hands on an internal Caesars Entertainment document and the news isn't great. Resort fees will be increased at three Caesars resorts effective on March 2nd, 2021. Ugh. According to internal communication, resort fees at Paris and Planet Hollywood will go up to $39 plus tax, which will be $44.21 after tax. Resort fees at the Cromwell will be increased to $45 per night plus tax, which becomes $51.02 after tax. And, uh, of course, if you're a diamond or seven star, you still get to dodge those. That is pretty amazing, given that they... <laughs> are having such trouble filling rooms. This would be the time to not do any kind of resort fee increase. This would be the time to maybe temporarily put a moratorium on them, just say no resort fees for right now. Something to get people back over there. <laughs> this is terrible, terrible timing that they're increasing resort fees. Now, I'll tell you the real reason that they are doing this. See, resort fees are kind of misunderstood. 
Now, first of all, I don't want to sound like I'm defending them because I think they're terrible. I think they should be illegal. I think they're deceptive. I think they're a scam. So we've had someone on this show before who's a anti-resort fees activist, a woman named uh, Lauren Wolf, and she's the one who runs uh, killresortfees.com. And I agree with her. They're terrible and they shouldn't exist. But some people think that resort fees actually increase the price of hotel rooms. And the answer is they don't. What they really do is hide the true price of a hotel room. So, for example, a hotel that has a $45 resort fee but is $100 a night before the resort fee, if there was no resort fee, they would just charge you 145 a night for the room instead of $100 of the room and 45 of the resort fee. So either way, it ends up the same. It's just the way they break it down. So based on that... Based on that, you may say, okay, then what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is they're not honest about it. And when you go through internet search sites that show you, you know, low price to high, you're not seeing the real price until you get all the way through the booking. And then you get the bad news about how high the resort fee is. So the whole thing is, is very deceptive and should be against the law. And what's also deceptive is telling me that you have a migraine. You can't come on the show. And then you come on anyway. Brandon Drexel Gerson, hello. Is this a colonoscopy show? No, that was last week's show. That was last week's show. Coronavirus uh, we- edition? No, it'll eventually be, but this is this is a resort fee show. You should know you sent me the topic. Well, listen, I sent you a text saying I had a migraine, but that doesn't preclude me from feeling better to come oh, on. I'm glad you got better. I, th- I thought it was going to last longer. Yeah, I'm, I'm right glad. Now. I, I'd written off you coming no, on. No, I had the migraine all day today, yesterday, last night, going into the day. I didn't have it. I don't have it now. Oh. Obviously, you wouldn't be hearing from me. Yeah, it's surprising me. Okay, but I'm, hey, I'm glad you hear. believe it's a pandemic and these sons of bitches are raising the prices? No, it's it's obnoxious. I, I I don't know what they're thinking because as I was just saying, like even if it's not actually raising the prices, even if they're just adjusting the way they are pricing it to where the resort fee is higher and they they lower the base price, it's obnoxious is that it becomes more and more deceptive. Like I wasn't kidding where I said that eventually we'll get to the day where the room is a dollar and the resort fee is a hundred dollars. Like that's not even unrealistic to believe will happen at some point. Sure. So it's it's something that just shouldn't exist. It was originally invented to screw over travel agencies and also because they don't they weren't paying commission on those and also to um, it, it was also a way to screw people who got rooms and things like Priceline because people would have to pay resort fees on top of whatever they got bidding through Priceline. That was sure. when I first saw it. Was when I used Priceline in like '05. It was the first time I saw one. Back then, you were able to talk your way out of it. Nowadays, you can't and haven't been able to for a long time. But uh, it's really just evolved into completely deceptive pricing. And that's pretty much what it was at the beginning. But that's like the only reason for it now is a combination of deceptive pricing and screwing travel agents still. So they. Not the pitches. Yeah, it's it's crappy. So they, but it's a bad look. Like I agree with you that this is the total wrong timing to do this when you're trying to make it where the traveler is going to want to call, come back and have good feelings about Vegas. The time you don't want to do this is when there's a pandemic and there's lots of news about violent crime on the strip all the well, time. Well, see, that's what I don't understand. I'd love to always, you know, I've said this before, I'd love to be in one of these boardroom meetings where the stuff like this is discussed and hear their logic. Like, 
you know, hey, John, you know what I think we should do? You know, let's, you know, I know there's a pandemic and, you know, reservations are at an all-time low and there's no conventions, but let's jack up three of our pro- – like, what you know what I mean? I'd love to hear their logic and what they think they're doing. I like, think I know, they- and it's stupid, but I think I know. I think they are saying, you know what – Well, hold on. Before you – hold on. Before you say anything, the only guess I would have, okay, and then I'm going to let you give your reason, and this is just a flat-out guess, is – they may assume people are so stupid they're just not going to even notice. They're just going to book it anyhow, and whoever's going to come is going to come anyhow. They're not going to say, oh, they've jacked it up five, six dollars. We're not coming now. They just think people will be oblivious just like when they change table games or make them poor or offer poor games that are much better next door or across the street with the hopes people just aren't going to value you know, or educate themselves or value shop or whatever term you want to use. I will stand by and listen to your response. Yeah, well, I'm, I got a pretty similar response. I, I think it is that, See, that's why but, but, but also that's it's because there's probably currently a price war for low-priced hotel rooms and getting the best deals and things like that because the people don't want to come right now. So Caesars must have determined that uh, in order to lower prices to appear ahead of some of these other properties on search engines, that they need to resa- re- raise the resort fees by a little bit. Like you said, hope nobody will notice because they already have a high resort fee. So, you know, $40, $45, all the same thing uh, to, to a lot of people. And yet they can show up a few dollars cheaper on the search sites, which could mean a big difference as far as how many bookings they get. So since right now they, ha- they have a lot of budget travelers coming in who normally don't go to properties like this because they can't afford it. So this is a way to show up really cheap in search engines. Well, listen, I bet- I'll tell you something. I, I grew up uh, you know, in a – Strong middle class family, you know, not, not rich by any means, but definitely I never needed, you know, wanted anything or longed for anything I, I was that was necessary. Not everyone grew up with a gold stenciled last name in their pool with the maids and all that. My my little friend there, but I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather, my you know, it's my dad's dad, getting irate when they would raise the price of a stamp. I remember him saying it's twenty seven cents, you know, whatever it was, you know. So some people notice. You know, that's my point. Like, it, there are people out there that are smart these days with so much information. There are going to be people that are going to be turned off by it. I can promise you. Well, first of all, I, I have an answer here. First of all, I actually grew up with no pool. I had no pool in my house. Well, how I, did this rumor start about the gold Because a lot of a lot of false rumors were told. So there was a, a false rumor so no, about a pool. That did I, you I ever live? Okay, but did you ever live anywhere with a gold stencil would tell us at the bottom no, of the pool? No, I, I did not. And, and then so the total rumor. And then the, sec, the second thing is, the second mm-hmm. thing is that there was actually never a maid. There was a cleaning lady that would come once a week, but there was never a maid every day or anything like that. So, um, you know, it was it's it's not as glamorous as it sounds. I just grew up in a a normal house there. Did your the, grandparents ever get upset when they raised the price of stamps back in the early eighties? Do you remember ever hearing them? No, I don't remember that complaint. Uh, but maybe they just didn't vocalize it to me because I was a kid. What what, what was a stamp when like say like nineteen eighty two? Take a guess when we were like you you'd be like what. I was, 10, I was ten. I was ten. Ten and I'd be like six. What What was the price? Um, I Take would say in in nineteen eighty two, what like uh, ten cents. Okay, I don't know. I'll look. I'll look in a bit. I'm just curious. I I only remember being a quarter. That was the first time I ever remember. Maybe like, I'm, maybe I'm underpricing it, but I was I I did know at the time. I did pay attention at the time what the stamps were. I just kind of lost track over the years, and then they they started introducing these forever stamps, and that, that yeah. got even more confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to interrupt or hijack it, but I have another Caesars subject that, that 
recant tell you. It's a story you're going to find outrageous when we're done with this. So don't let me forget. Well, I'm pretty much done with this. Like, it just, it's one of these things where this is not going to stop until it's made illegal. And I hope one day it is. Let me ask you something. Uh, Prop it. We can just do it for fun. Who will be the first property? uh, And I guess we'll go with MGM, Caesars, The Win, and Cosmo that will start the garage parking wars up again because every place for those who don't know what i'm referring to every major place on the strip other than the venetian and and the win they sort of modified it charge for parking and this started years and years ago after 50 60 entirety of the vegas strip with not a parking fee so when the pandemic started you know they were having a hard enough time getting people and so what they did like right when the lockdown ended last year was the strip started heavily marketing to locals because they realized they weren't going to get tourists back right away. So obviously to do that, they had to eliminate the parking fee. I mean, tourists weren't going to come down there anyhow, especially if they have to pay 20 bucks a shot for parking. So anyhow, out of the four, I, right now, as we speak on February 13th, 2021, there's no fees for parking. Most of them have even eliminated fees for valet, the ones that still have valet going now. Eventually, that's going to come back because that was a huge ripoff, easy revenue source for them. They already spent the money to have the gates in place and, and you know the kiosks. Okay, so out of those four I mentioned, I'll say it again: Win, uh, Cosmo, Caesars, and MGM, and the Venetian slash Palazzo never implemented a fee for parking. Which one comes back first, uh, Todd? Well, I don't think Venetian Palazzo ever had a parking fee. I think no, they, they never free. did. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And then I'm so, saying everywhere else in the strip does. Yeah. So, so I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be MGM because they were the first ones to have it, and then so I think they're going to be the first ones to bring it back. Though it wouldn't surprise me to be Caesars, but I, if I had to guess, I would say MGM, and then a, a close second could be Caesars. Do you think it will be this year? Uh, you know this. I think probably not because uh, since the va- vaccination has been slower than expected, uh, I think it's going to take until there's pretty much most people aren't afraid of COVID anymore for this to return to normal. And then they're not going to have that many months left in the year before we get there. So I think they'll probably take my guess that they probably do this in early 2022. So let me ask you this. I know we've made a number of bets on these shows over the years. I propose this to you then. I will take for $20, and this is how we're going to pay this bet. Uh, if I win, okay, you will have to use your credit card, open up that Jew wallet, and you'll order me a pizza up to a $20 value delivered to my house. Like, you know, you'll go on one of the apps or whatever, and if you win, and it's whenever it's safe and you're ready, you tell me, and I'll order a pizza up to $20 values delivered to wherever you tell me to, to do well, it. I think by then I should however. be. By the end of 2021, it should be totally fine. Okay, right. So, but I'm going to take 2021 at some point there's out of the only out of the four places i mentioned obviously one of them opens up and i have no inside information i'm not hustling you one of the places will start will get greedy and start charging for parking would you accept the bet yeah now you're you're sure that uh you're not looking for a uh, terence chan uh, positive ev angle and you're you, you no. didn't have like a, a chat with four uh math poker guys <laughs> about the likelihood of them reopening right i have no inside information okay okay so help me me Okay, so <laughs> what movie is that from? So help me, me. Uh, that that's from Oh God. Very good. Which yeah. one? Which book? I thought that was from the first one. It wasn't. It's the. It is the first one with yeah. uh, with what's his uh, John Denver. Yeah, yeah, that's good. what I thought. Very, very good. Um, okay, do we have a wager? Yeah, sure. 
Okay, cool. Okay. All right. I think they'll come back. I think this year somebody will get greedy enough around summertime or right after, but we'll see. Maybe not. It'll be close. I, I, I kind of picture an early 2022 thing, like January, February 22. Maybe. All right. Well, let it be set in stone. And you know what? Do me a favor so we can always look back at this when you do the archives today. Just write Brandon and Todd make a pizza bag. Here, I'll, I'll note something. this down on my list here so we can. Uh, yeah. So do oh, we? How are we on time? Can I tell like maybe a five yeah, seven minute go ahead, story go ahead. that yeah. uh, you'll, you'll find interesting? Okay. So as I've mentioned on the times I've been on here on and off for the last year. By the way, thank you as always for your hospitality and having me on, letting me come on, so on and so forth. Uh, as I've mentioned in passing, since I've been back on here since I guess the quarantine, um, I don't play on the one site that's legally offered to me for online poker. I which is WSOP.com. I haven't played on there other than one time, which I'll explain in a minute, since I think June or July. It's funny. I play on the illegal sites where I live here. Reason is I get totally frustrated for a number of reasons with the software, the effort they put in. There's glitches. Um, funny enough, the games are a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times better, you know, on other sites than they are in WSOP. But anyhow, so about, I don't know, maybe a month ago, there was a uh, circuit event or something, whatever it was, on WSOP. It was a Omaha 8 or better. I think it was 250, 280. I don't know. And I had a number of friends that were playing in it, and you know, they were kind of, are you going to play? We can do last longers. You know, I had like four or five, maybe six people that were going to play this Omaha tournament. So I said, all right, fine. I'll play. I had nothing to do that day, obviously. So – I don't know, like I said, maybe it's 280. So I deposit, you know, I have a line of credit with them, which it's about the only thing that works well with them. Uh, you know, e-checks, where I've had it since, I don't know, what year did WSOP start? What year did it come online, Todd? 2013. Oh, are you taking a little break or something? You gotta use the, ah, okay. No, 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 right. no, I, I hit it on mute so you could talk and I wouldn't make noise oh, okay, in the background. Okay, got it. All right, so it's been eight years, they gave me like, you know, a, a limit way higher than I'll ever need, but that's you know that's the most convenient thing about it. So I deposit an even amount of money. If it was two eighty for the buy-in, I deposited three hundred. Played the tournament, and it was a horrific structure, which I should have researched, but I didn't. And everyone was complaining. Even Kessler was on the Twitter, you know, when it was over, saying WSOP is paraphrasing his quote or something like you only give us an Omaha eight or turn better tournament once or twice a year, at least, you know, make the structure decent. It started <laughs> at like, I think four o'clock and it was literally over or close to over by 10. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was like six hours. I mean, over, not like, you know, final table. It was over. It was very, very bad. It got very, very fast within you know, two hours, three hours. So anyhow, that's it. I close the computer onto bigger and better things. Uh, the other day, uh, three days ago, maybe four days ago, I log in just to can I do this periodically just to see, you know, what games are going, if it's busy, because at first when the pandemic started, you know, they really had momentum like most online poker sites did. Uh, the games were packed. I, you know, I saw, you know, mainly I'm playing PLO or Omaha 8 or better on. They're not really no limit, but they'd have like 10, 12, 16 different PLO tables, you know, going from 5,100 all the way down to, you know, micro stakes. And they had a lot, you know, for what it was, a lot of action. And, you know, like I kind of thought, they never really capitalized on the momentum. So anyhow, from time to time, I check in and I did so a couple nights ago and it was basically at pre-pandemic levels. Um, and this was, you know, like at seven, eight o'clock at night, you know, in the evening, it wasn't like, you know, the middle of the night or anything. So I look and I just say, oh, I have $20 here. So 
nothing else was going on. I had my laptop up. I was watching a, a TV show. So I just sat into, I don't know, it was like a 10, 25 cent, or maybe it was five, 10, yeah, 10, 25 cent PLO. Anyway, long story short, I ended up doubling up. And I'm like, okay, after getting to like $40, $50, and this is, you know, within a minute or two or five minutes, whatever it is, I go to another table, uh, which was $0.25, cents, $0.50, cents, and I play that and get it to like 100 Anyhow, after like three hours or so, I have $600, okay, which isn't like some crazy run. I play, you know, $20 <laughs> or 600 Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So then I say to myself, you know what? I'm not going to play on here. And before, you know, I'm not even taking it – I mean, I'm taking it serious, but I, I – I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to cash out. I don't even want to, you know, I don't play on here. I'm like, it's 600 bucks. You know, I'm not, before anyone starts typing, writing, confirm, bust, don't know. It just, it's more of a principle thing. Like, I just don't enjoy playing on the site. I get so frustrated with it. For example, an issue that I've been having with them for years, and I've never even talked about this, is I, I try, this only happens once in a while, but it's happened several times over the years. I go to sit at a table. And it's only when there's only one seat available. So if it's a six-handed table, there's, you know, five players are playing. There's one open seat. Click on it to sit, and it immediately tells me the seat's reserved, and it kicks me out. But no one's sitting there. <laughs> and then I wait, you know. But the, So and I've written to support. Oh, I've, I've had that. But yes, I've had that too. That goes back years. I hate that So button. I've written to support, and, you know, they tell me they're, they're aware of it. Or, and it, it's not a specific game. It's not a specific limit. It, but it happens. And it's so frustrating because a lot of times there's only one game going or two games at most at the limit and stakes I want to play, and I click to sit, and it tells me as soon as I click on it, it's reserved, but yet nobody sits. Yeah, that's a reserved bug. It's so tilting. I hate it. It, it, And it's off. Right. Okay, so that's one of the – I mean, that really bothers me because there have been so many times where I've waited, and finally I get this. And the worst thing is sometimes when you put your name on a list, it happens. And then and then it boots you, and then someone else gets in ahead of you. Yes, I've gotten really pissed when that's happened. Yeah, I've I've had that exact experience. That's probably – more so than, and I can list other things, but that's, re- I mean, this is for, you just mentioned it. So, you know, eight years, nine, I mean, it's been going on a long time. Fix the fucking thing. Okay. So anyhow, I go to cash out. Okay. And I'm, I'm cash out everything. I'm not even leaving $10 in there. And they, uh, give me, you know, screen pops up and tells me, uh, that, you know, I have to receive a token, that a token will be emailed to me, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, fine. No problem. So I have to type in – it makes you type in your name. It makes you type in – your username, excuse me, and password. It makes you type in the token, which I got about maybe 10 minutes later, and then it makes you type in a catch a screen, like a bunch of numbers. So get my token. I type everything in. tells me that my password and or username is incorrect. <laughs> okay? I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm pretty good with this stuff, but you know, now I'm going to just make sure I'm looking. And I know what my password is. It's I've had the same password with them for since it started. So I do it again, gives me the same error message. Do it one more time, gives me the same error message. So nothing I could do. Can't, I mean, you need to do this to cash out. So I send an email to support because they don't have an 800 number anymore, or it's not active because of the uh, pandemic. It, so it send, was useless anyway, to tell the truth. Yeah. So I send email, or I send an email to support the next morning. So this is starting at like 7, 6.30 in the morning. And I get a response like 20 minutes later telling me that I need a security token. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I know that, but you know, I, I got the security <laughs> token. But it, you know, the, the, the way they write the email, it's like it's not a form letter, I don't think, because it's like, hello, this is Chantel. You know, what can I help you with? You know, maybe it is. I don't know. So I explain again. You know, that's not what the issue is. You know, I know it, and I'm typing in my information right. It's just rejecting it. So maybe 30, 40 minutes later, none of this is ever within five, 10 minutes. It's always like at least an hour, 40 minutes, you know, two hours, get another email back. 
telling me in order to send me a token, it, they need my, you know, name, address, you know, my, my physical address, my name, uh, and some other info, last four of my social. And then there's a keyword, a security answer that you have to pick when you signed up years ago, which I know before they'll give me a token, uh, you know, manually via email. So I do all that. Okay. They send me another token. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe the token just was incorrect. Do it all again. Doesn't work. Okay. Still username, password, you know, not working. And this is like now six hours into the second day. So I email them again. Okay. And then they respond telling me one more time that I have to get a, a token. They're just not even reading what I'm writing. So then I write another letter, and in the subject, I just write supervisor, supervisor, supervisor in all caps. And then I, again, try explaining that I'm receiving a token. I am a 1,000% putting in my name, username of the site, password, correct, okay, and it will not let me cash out. It's giving me an error message. So then a couple hours more go by, and then I get an email from somebody else. I'm not sure if if they're a supervisor or not. And they tell me, matter-of-factly, that the way WSOP works – okay, you know, actually, hold on. Before I tell you, let me see if you can even guess. I wasn't doing anything wrong, by the way. There was a reason, though, that I wasn't able to cash out. Okay, so just offhand here, I mean, we could probably sit here till morning, or if not evening, next tomorrow, and you're not going to get it right. But as long as you don't have any inside information, you've never heard of this before, take a guess, or two guesses, of what you think off the top of your head, assuming, again, I did everything right, which I did, of why it would not their software would not allow me to cash out. Now, I got a question. I forgot. The $20, did, was it just sitting in your account, or did you put it on there? No, it was 20 I, I bought in for the tournament. The Omaha tournament was maybe 280 and I, I just deposited an even three, so I had 20 left over. Okay, okay. So, so my, my guess is the amount of time hadn't ago. passed. My, my guess is the amount of time hadn't passed from when you deposited till you can cash out. No, I have nothing to do with that at all. No, I don't even know if they could technically legally do that. I don't know. I don't know either, but yeah, I, I don't think they can, but that nope. was my first guess. Nope. Okay. Nope. Nope. Wasn't that at all. The issue is that on the WSOP software, if you have a password that is not between six and 12 digits long, you can't cash out. Your password has to either exactly be six digits or characters, I should say, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. My password was 13 characters. Can you believe this? <laughs> what, what, what kind of software? What or what even would would make the correlation between the number of characters in your password correlate to whether you can cash out or not? I mean, can you? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, it's insane. So, so someone tells me that finally that it's it's never going to let me cash out. I have to change my password and make it between six and twelve characters. And 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 this has to be something relatively new because I've had the same password forever and I've cashed out at the cage you know, not recently but before many many times. You know, over eight years, ten years, whatever it is, not many times, but enough times that I would know if you know I've had the same. Password. I, I can already tell you what's happening here. I don't know why, but whoever developed the module that processes the cash out. Uh, had the belief that the passwords are always six to twelve characters, and if they're not, then something goes wrong. Either it exert, inserts extraneous characters if it's less than six, or or it cuts off at twelve. Whatever it is that uh, if it's not in that range, then it probably doesn't compare the password properly to what's in their database, and it fails. So it was it was a design with a of the cash out module, which was an error, and it could be a, a recent design flaw okay so finally getting that information i try to change my password okay and it tells me 
What do you think it tells me when I try to change my password? It probably tells you that uh, you need to no. enter your previous password and no, you can't. No, it tells, me, it tells me I need a token. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then I do that. Okay, and guess what? I don't get a token. Uh, so then what do I have to do? I have to email support again and say I'm trying to change my password. I need, you know, and by the way, all these emails are in the same thread of emails. You know, they're not like just new ones. So they can see, you know, the history. So I write support. I say, hi, I need to change my password so I can cash out, please. So what do they respond when they send a response finally? What? Well, we need to know your name, your address. <laughs> Again, and I'm just saying, like, are you kidding me? Like, just look. I've already done it. You know what I mean? In, in, in the email thread. So, okay. So I, I just am polite, and I finally, you know, I respond and, and say what they, you know, what they're asking me for, and then they send me a token. And at that point, I had something to do. Maybe I had dinner. I don't know what, you know, whatever it was. So by the time I look at my email, the token has expired because it's like 90 minutes or 60 minutes. So I write them again. And I'm just saying, I'm begging, thinking, praying that they're not going to ask me again to send. So anyhow, they don't. They just send me a token. Uh, and then finally, I'm able to log in. I can change my password to exactly 12 characters and it let me cash out. And it took me. It took me thirty six hours. What a disaster! And the funny thing is, the first couple of people I spoke with apparently had no idea about the that you couldn't cash out. Yeah, when I say you can't cash out. Like you can't. Does it's ACH cash at the cage? Like you, it just will give you. No, I, it, it, it must be a module. It must be a separate module that processes that. As I said, and they, yeah, it, it's a mess. And uh, th- this is the problem with anything that has no phone support is because everything is so slow because. Whenever there's a multi-step process and something's going wrong, or they say, "Hey, do this," and they're they're telling you to do the wrong thing on the phone, you can say, "Oh no, no, I did that already. It doesn't work. All right, no, we're already through this. Let's go to the next thing." Like on the phone, you can get past that in seconds. In email, every time something like that happens, it adds another hour to the process. So it's so tilting to have to do email support that way. The other thing is, if they knew it was a known problem, okay, why can't they change it? So when you get an error message, it doesn't say username and or password is incorrect because people see that and they're going to go crazy thinking that I thought I knew my password. I know my password. I Because you know, that's what I did at first. I'm looking and I'm at this point, like I'm watching every stroke of what I type because I'm like, I know what it is because normally I type in a password. I don't look. I can type. But I'm, you know, but when it gives you that kind of an error message, you'd have no idea that's the reason why because you'd sit there all day. and It's never, ever going to. Yeah. Look yeah. You. Well, I, I can tell you this. That it might be because they have to get regulators to approve it every time they make any kind of change, even an error message box change. So they probably said, "Well, you know what? We'll we'll, we'll put this in the next release, and then whenever the next release their, is." Yeah, and to their credit, everyone was polite. No one, you know, I mean, it was business like, but no one was ever rude in customer service. And you know, considering my experience in the past with other sites and stuff, it was prompt. I mean, it was always within a you know. 30, 40 minutes to maybe an hour and a half. It was never like, you know, it was reasonable, but still like, that's just, it's ridiculous to have to jump through hoops like that. And so then, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was talking with my, you know, I was talking with my friend Jeannie and I was telling her the, the issue and she's like, that's so funny. You know, my friend or, you know, that she had a roommate that was living with her during part of the pandemic had the same issue and it took her like a week. And it was because, you know, the same thing, password. <laughs> and it's like it took her a week. You know, this was like an older woman, so she probably just kept thought she was typing in the password wrong over and over and just giving up. <laughs> and finally, like, you know, but it took a week for someone. And this is someone like in their 60s, like that, you know, probably isn't tech savvy. 
But anyhow, I know it's not the greatest story, but it just it just goes to tell you it gets ridiculous, like those kind of things. And it's just like they're not on top of it. Like you would think, I mean, maybe that's the case, what you're saying. Things have to be approved, but you would think that'd be, you know, there'd be somebody that would be on top of it. You know, like, hey, we still got a you know, to-do list of things to do. Hey, no, they're not. That. It's it's always a fail. Like nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows let's what fix, the priority thing should be. Let's fix that seating error that people can, you know, sit and, and, you know, doesn't boot them and say it's reserved. Let's fix this. It's just it's that's what bothers me the most. Like, well, yeah, and, and I've said this I've said this the whole way that what they've been missing the whole time and they still don't have today. They they have a different person in charge now, but same problems. The problem is there is not a responsive person there who can talk with with, with uh, credible people in the poker community and say, "Here are some major, albeit relatively easy things to fix." Not like, "Hey, redesign your software," but like, "Here here are some bugs, or here are some real problems you have." Uh, which won't be huge fixes that we'd like to see fixed, and then have that person listen and say, "Okay, we're going to yeah. implement it and direct it." And because I guarantee, if you, like you put me in charge there, I, I would, I would reach out to people. I'd reach out to the people who play a lot. I'd say, "What well, we'd like sure. to see changed." I'd say, "Understand, we can't do a whole software rewrite, but we can, uh, we can change some some small things and get it in the next release." And and tell me what what things really bother you here. And I would listen, and I would, and then. I would say also, you know, here's how to contact me if if you notice other things, and then I would lean on them to do it, and I would make these priority. I'd say these go go ahead of of other features. So there'd be a lot of things I would do like that. That for whatever reason they just don't do. You and so it went from before where you had Bill Reening in charge who just hid from everything. He just hid from all responsibility and and hid from any kind of criticism. And that, and now you have this Danielle Burrell in charge who just seems like. She doesn't want to be in the forefront. She's kind of and hiding in a different is, way. It bothers me because, you know, in all honesty, I'm, you know, I'm not being emotional here or nothing. You know, they have the monopoly. You know, it's the only legal site in the state of Nevada. And if they put an effort and made it good, I would patronize them. I would. Like, I, you know, I would support it. I want to support it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd play on it and, you know, even, I mean, to the best of what I can do considering, you know, game selection and, you know, things like that. But I, but I would. You know, I like the fact now that, that um, you can link your card, your your real life sees total rewards card to your account on WSOP.com. Meaning, you know, like last year, if I would have kept playing on there, you know, if I would have steadily played, I would have easily become diamond just from playing. Like I was, I don't know, I had like eight thousand tier credits. I think it was twelve. Oh, is that back? Because they, they they did a, it used to be like that, and then they did away with it. Right, but they so they re-enabled it last year. Like they sent me an email to oh, I didn't link know that. your yeah the, to link your your because it's funny because I got eighty I got eighty uh, tier points just from that tournament I played in just from you know I guess that makes sense but from the Omaha tournament you know I noticed I looked on my app one day and I'm like oh I have eighty you know so but anyhow things like that are kind of cool like you know if I ever wanted to do a staycation or just had to go there wouldn't have to stand in line for the World Series like you know but I just can't like the fact that it just it you know. It's so frustrating that they don't put an effort, and it makes me feel like, why should I, you know, make a steadfast effort to patronize you guys and help you? you know, no, just, I agree. It's really bothersome. I, I, I'm confused, and, I, and I've talked to them about it before. And something I've been told as well: it's not making nearly the money that we thought when we started it. So we only have so much of a budget. We can't. Yes, we could do a lot of these a lot better. We could hi- hire all U.S. support. We could we could do a lot of things a lot better, but it costs a lot of money. But that only that doesn't answer most of it because the truth is, a lot of this is just having someone in charge who listens and takes action. It, it, I'm not asking. For, uh, see, where money would be involved if if I were to say, "Hey, why does this software suck?" 
I want to see a rewrite where it's as good as Poker Stars. Well, well that's, that's that's what I mean. I'm not, you know, I get it. Like, if, you know, if it's not within their budget to put in all these fancy bells and whistles and things like that, but having a glitch for a decade where you can't sit at an open seat, I mean, that would that would be something you think is imperative. Like that, you know, it goes without saying. No matter what it costs, it just needs to be fixed. Yeah, and this you is know where people I mean? are exasperated with, with with it. And I don't understand. I've tried to have conversations about it. Others have tried to have these conversations, and it seems to fall on deaf ears. And I, I just don't get it. I, it's just not. It shouldn't be that hard in Las Vegas to find people who would be qualified to be in charge of this and would do a good job and could knock a lot of these little things out yeah. and be accessible and, and be reachable on social media. And this could really go a lot way to a, a long way to grow the site. And I just, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's because it's a big organization. that's too much bureaucracy. I, I don't know what the hell the problem is, but it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a lot to be desired there. And I, I, I can empathize, empathize with all the things you're saying there. And I've even experienced some of this myself, but, uh, Anyway, I'm glad you got yeah. your your money off finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, the other thing is what I'm what I'm afraid of already is the uh, biggest by far sports book now. You know, the monopoly in Vegas was bought by Caesars um, a couple of months ago, and I mean, I was I'm worried that you know they're going to start making changes there, whether it's the juice or just the customer service. Any of it. What I'm talking about, of course, is William Hill. And I, yeah, I have other sites online that, you know, offshore I can use, but, you know, William Hill's convenient. You know, I've never had a problem with them. I like them. And then already this past week, there was an issue. And, but this happened, I guess, with a couple other companies in town too, where on the biggest betting day of the year, people could not log into their accounts. Do you know what I'm referring to? Did you see the news on this? No, I didn't. Okay. Well, you know, pull it up because it's, it's, it's Vegas news. You might want to talk about it. Um, MGM had an, had an outage, uh, or, you know, I guess that's the term you'd use on their app on, on Super Bowl Sunday, where people weren't able to get paid on the BetMGM app, which they've been promoting heavily, 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 heavily everywhere in the media, you know, marketing, uh, until I think one o'clock in the morning, uh, Monday is when people were able to get paid. And it created issues because there were certain people that had, uh, late night flights that were leaving graveyard or red eye flights to get out of Vegas. Uh, anyhow, if you go ahead and you Google bet MGM Super Bowl Sunday or something like that. I'll look here too. You could read it. And two properties, people got so frustrated. They actually called Metro because apparently I, I, you know, I can't confirm this. This was like in a couple articles I read that MGM was getting aggressive and telling people get out of the sports book, you know, clear the sports book. And people just like, I don't understand. I just want to get paid. I have a flight. And they were threatening to ban people um, that didn't listen and leave. Wow. Um, and I, the article I read said that there were two properties that Metro actually had to respond to. Uh, but finally, it was cleared up at 1 o'clock in, in the morning. I guess the app came back line, online or whatever it was. Um, did you find the article? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading one about it on CNBC. So it looks like they're claiming that they weren't ready for the uh, mass traffic on there because of the heavy betting for the Super Bowl. And that, that causes crash, but that's that's pretty bad. Okay, Let's here we stress go. Test this. Go to uh, well, type this in Google, and then you'll see it. Just write Bet MGM Police Las Vegas, and then there's going to be an article that comes. It's like a blog that comes on a site called Networking Vegas, and it's kind of like a someone's blog, but they're no, they're reliable. And I've, I've yeah, I've, I see this here. So yeah, so that was one. There were a couple of them. Uh, 
I'll read the I'll read the article real fast. Las Vegas Metro Police have been called to a number of MGM properties throughout Las Vegas as angry customers claim MGM is refusing to pay out winning bets after the company's app went down in the middle of the Super Bowl. A tweet just before 6 p.m. indicated MGM BetMGM's app and MGM Sportsbooks were having major problems with people's Super Bowl bets. We are now hearing that Las Vegas Metro has been dispatched to multiple MGM properties as angry bettors are claiming MGM is refusing to pay on winning bets. And they have a picture of like literally of Metro in a couple sportsbooks. People are reporting that MGM and Metro are threatening them with arrest and permanent ban from MGM properties simply for trying to cash their winning tickets. And then there are a ton of customers are on Twitter here saying that they're, you know, I don't know, some guy named Fritos and Bolts tweeted, if I go back to the books at Excalibur Vegas, I will be 86. Wow. I just want my money, I bet. And then there, there, there are other tweets. Uh, Rip Move on Twitter. Bet MGM has all sportsbook sites closed with security personnel blocking entrances. But it's okay that they took everyone's money because they are offering you two drink tickets for the fraud. Uh, Jake from Cleveland on Twitter. They're threatening to throw people out of MGM Grand for asking to get paid for the first half. So anyhow, there's a lot of this on here. And then, hold on, here we go. Then MGM blocked us on Twitter for reporting this story. I guess they are not happy with our reporting on them. And then it says their ex-criminal CEO, Jim Murren, and their involvement in helping the COVID task force destroy our city. And then <laughs> what a mess. And then, and then they have a, they post a screenshot on Twitter and bet MGM has blocked you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see that? You yes. They were blocked by MGM Resorts and bet MGM. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, that's kind of nuts. Like, I mean, you know, well, think about it. Like, say you had a flight at 11 o'clock or midnight, you know, wanted to get back to work the next day and you have significant money, you know. I mean, I get both sides of it. I know MGM wasn't purposely holding up the money, but probably shouldn't be threatened 86 people if they don't leave the sports book i mean yeah i, I, I like uh so bet mgm put on february 7th we are aware of the current issues in nevada across the M- bet mgm app and within our retail sports books our t- our teams are actively working on fixing these issues and we appreciate the patience of our nevada customers uh, as we work to restore full functionality and some guy named axel 3.0 said back and you want people to come stay at your hotel and spend money there after you fuck us and now pay us fuck y'all motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right, I get it, like, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, but wouldn't they wouldn't they be smart enough to just think that, okay, this is, you know, a pandemic, you know, there's a pandemic going on, there's probably going to be the greatest volume of people using apps than ever before, let's test whatever needs to be tested in advance to see, you know, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it's, it's called the stress testing, and they need to do yes. that, and they didn't. Yeah, stress testing, that's the word I was looking for. Like, when, when the... Uh, Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium opened up. There's an article in the paper. This is really funny. That somehow, I don't know how you even do this, somehow they flushed every toilet and ran every faucet in the stadium at the same time just to see if it w- the infrastructure would withstand it, and it did. And there's a whole article explaining yeah, I remember like, that. why they did it. And it was just kind of interesting. Like, okay, you know, I never thought about that. But they had everything going at full capacity just to make sure the you know, the pipes and Water and you know toilets, faucets. Um, so, well, the most yeah, the most famous it, example of a failure to stress test in recent times was the Obamacare website in 2014, 
when they tried, attempted to roll that out and it crashed badly because everyone saw, went there at the same time. And they, they didn't bother to think that might happen after, after spending $560 million on that website. So th- that was one of the most famous instances of that, or shall I say infamous. But yeah, this, this is pretty bad. And what happens is since these casinos can 86 people and often do when they're unruly or cause problems – what happens is this creates a situation where employees who get frustrated try to wield that power when they shouldn't and will uh, – whenever they get annoyed with somebody, even if the person complaining is in the right or at least partially in the right, they just – when they get sick of dealing with them, they just say, well, we're going to have you 86th. And I – not only have I known people that were threatened with this – in fact, I, I know a woman who was uh, sexually harassed by a manager of a restaurant – at, at, at Caesars, this is a number of years ago, and when she was complaining about it, and she was, you know, she and her husband confronted the guy who, the manager who did this, and said, uh, you know, "We want an apology and all that." Anyway, the guy wouldn't even give one. He told them that they need to leave the restaurant now. This is after he did this. He he, he made a like a lewd comment to the woman. He actually said, "You need to leave now, or I'm going to have you 86 from the whole property and from and from all Caesars properties." He thought that was a way to get out of the problem. And this this person uh, called me in a panic and asked what they do, and I, I assisted them in uh, getting that person canned. So that that manager got fired because of the uh, of uh, what they pulled. But uh, they tried to they actually called security over and tried to have them eighty sixth. Wow. And it was not like they were creating a huge scene. They were just went to the manager. They went after he made the comment and walked away. They went back and said. Uh, you know, I want an apology for this, and the guy wouldn't give one, and then said, uh, um, I'm not talking about this anymore, and you, you need to leave right now, or otherwise I'm going to have you 86 from this and all Caesars properties. That's I'm, unbelievable. This, this has been utilized uh, by employees before. I also had to, went to the Venetian. I went to go to a show, and they didn't honor a price for uh, Vegas locals that was on their website. And I showed them the website, and they said, oh, yeah, we know it's still up there. We just... It's actually we're not offering that anymore. We just forgot to take it down. I'm like, okay, but that's why you can't do that. It, it's 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 false advertising. You you have to honor it. So the manager got tired of dealing with me, and she told me that if I continue to argue this, I'm going to be uh, 86 from there. That was actually my only. <laughs> I said I've never had an incident in the Venetian. I guess I did, but this is like 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago. So it wasn't from that why I got eventually banned. But uh, she actually was going to – she claimed I was going to be 86 if I continued to argue about this. So uh, I left, and then I got a, got a hold of someone higher up at that show. I think the person who was in charge of all shows there, and I told them the story, and they looked into it, and they, they called me back, and they said, yeah, you're right. It's on the website. They should have honored it. I, I did hear from another employee that you were threatened to be 86 when you complained about it. That's also inappropriate. So they, they actually gave me and my uh, girlfriend a uh, comp two seats there. In like the best seats in the house because of what happened there. Because they they yeah. verified my whole story and said I was right. But they, well, I'll they, tell you something. As someone that's lived here and has watched, you know, for literally, can't believe it, it's going to be twenty years soon. This city evolve. Um, I'm you know obviously I'm not a tourist. I you know I know better than falling for a lot of these sucker things. It still nonetheless bothers me the amount of nickel and diming that they're doing. Um, that it's become, and I really wonder at some point if there's really going to be a revolt. And or some sort of revolution where, where, you know, people just start staying locally because now, you know, it's a lot different than 20 years ago. 
You know, most people have a casino within, you know, a few miles, you know, maybe a hundred miles. You know, it, it's not what it used to be that you kind of had to come here. And just with the parking and the resort fees. And there was something else in that article I sent you about, uh, I think it was the link. Oh, I did send you the article. If you Google, if you go back to Vital Vegas, which is this one that got a copy of that memo uh, about the resort fees for Caesars, they also claim they read an internal memo that said that uh, the link hotel was strictly adhering to this new policy of, I don't remember the amount, but they were basically, in essence, lowering the amount of alcohol that's going to. Oh, I saw that. that. Yeah, I saw that at the drink. bottom of that article. Yeah, that the that they're bringing down the the pores of the article. Pro- probably yes. because they don't they don't want people getting drunk and, and being unruly, so they're trying to limit in, limiting how much they pour for people, and it saves money, well, of course. That's what they're going. That's what they're going to claim it's for. But you know, it's I don't know. That's probably both. They probably want to save yeah. money and and stop uh, problems there. But yeah, it's I agree that. A lot of this is becomes an annoyance to people, and uh, you know what it's becoming? It's becoming like Disney World. Like, I mean, you know, like I remember even when I was younger, like I didn't really, I was turned off by Disney. Like when I went, like you know, in my adult years, my you know, young, because everything is just so priced that it's just, it's not even. You're pricing out like you know the lower class, even the middle class to some degree. Like you know what I mean? It's just right, it's and, and even people who have the money just get annoyed seeing it, and that's what that's where it. Sometimes it's overlooked, especially if people who are making the decisions are accountants and don't really understand marketing very well and don't understand customer retention. Sometimes a mistake is made where they focus on what will give you the most short-term profits. They think, well, what's the most people will pay for this? Okay, well, let's charge that then. But then they don't think, well, but are they likely to return? Are they likely to kind of have this stick with them and kind of be annoyed and not bother uh, coming back a second time? Like, So there's a lot to be said about customer retention and keeping people believing they had a good experience, keeping people... Well, sure. But, you know, like with sports betting now becoming prevalent in more and more states and, and casinos nearby... You know, it might really get to the point where people just say, why even bother? Well, let's just stay here. Let's, you know, go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. They, they may have to adjust some of this because if, if it becomes too customer hostile, too much t- nickel and diming, and, uh, and also too many bad experiences people have, then they will just either stay home and bet online or they will uh, go to a local casino that's not as far away. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that this – change can end up happening and we'll have to see after the pandemic is uh, either over or reduced of what kind of traffic comes back there and if it doesn't to the level they're hoping then they are going to have to make some adjustments the the market will probably fix this but we'll have to see what happens sure yeah very good point i did not i'm not gonna lie to you i, I just called in so i was afraid you may be off the air soon I didn't look at what the topics were tonight. What haven't you? Well, you can just tell me. Well, yeah, I, have, I have a good one for you about. here. I know you, you want to talk about this one. The next topic about the Bally's Power Poker series that has uh, flopped badly with low turnout. And okay, good. Uh, uh, it is actually not a circuit series, but it is uh, nevertheless a series at Bally's. Oh, okay. And what does uh, that mean? Is that just a name meaning that then they don't give out a ring? Yeah. Is that okay? So yeah, it's, not really- it's, it's just a regular series, but still the the turn the the now it is advertised on WSB.com. It's uh, it says uh, on January twenty seventh it says uh, Bally's Las Vegas all new power poker series to offer live poker tournaments. It's time to shuffle up and deal at Bally's Las Vegas with a newly branded power poker series, the PPS that was announced today. So I guess this is kind of like a new series they're running. Though again, it's only trophies. There's no rings. It's not uh, a ring or a bracelet. But 
Anyway, I won't read the whole promotional thing, but it was to start on February 4th. And uh, they were hoping that uh, they'll get some decent numbers. Now, this is not going to be expected to be huge. And even during a non-pandemic year, they're not going to get tremendous numbers or something like this. But uh, they were expecting it's not going to be a complete fail, especially because they had some other tournaments already that didn't get that bad of results. But when I say results, I mean as far as the numbers of people playing. But uh, this is, is pretty amazing. They actually had some events that didn't get enough people to go at all, meaning they didn't get six people for the event and could not run them. Hey, I'm sorry. Let me just ask you real fast. Can you hear me okay? I just switched to, ear, to air. Yeah, I, I can hear you, yes. Okay, all right. Just want to make sure. So, so um, uh, I'm looking at the results of the ones that went and the ones that didn't go. So I'm looking on cardplayer.com. They have a list of these. If you, if you want to see this for yourself, you go to cardplayer.com, and then you would go to... Uh, to uh, poker tournaments, just click on that, and it'll list them, and then you can uh, you can see the uh, 2021 Power Poker Series Kickoff Festival from February 4th, 21, to March 3rd, 21. And uh, so looking at this, there are some that don't have any results listed that should have been long completed. Like, for example, the, uh, the $500 uh, No Limit Hold'em uh, 10K guaranteed, for some reason that's not uh, listed. Actually, I wonder if that... See, I don't know if they got enough. See, some of them I know didn't go. Like for sure the uh, uh, the five. Well, I know the, the one on Super Bowl Sunday last week didn't. go. Right, I was going to say. So I'm not sure about those two because they sound like they'd get more than six people. But the the one on uh, February seventh, the four hundred dollar triple draw mixed AK guaranteed, they could not get six players, and they ended up having to cancel that one. <laughs> now. Uh, now, granted, it was Super Bowl Sunday, but still. It was, but okay, but if, before anyone uses that as an excuse, listen to this. So this was the $400 um, 08 event on February 4th, which is not Super Bowl Sunday, of course, and they got a whopping 26 people with four spots paid. So that's that was uh, that's the first one when I click on results. Then the $400 horse, AK guaranteed, that was on uh, February 5th, the next day. They got 34 people and six places paid. Then uh, the $500 No Limit Hold'em Monster Stack event. That's uh, now we're taking No Limit Hold'em. It's not about horse or 08. They got 61 entrants. That's the only one that got an okay showing and the only one where they actually paid more than nine spots. They actually paid 10 spots here on this uh, No Limit Hold'em Monster Stack. Uh, But going on from there, there is a uh, a triple stud, four hundred dollars triple stud on February sixth, and that got uh, twenty seven players. They they had a uh, four hundred dollar no limit hold'em big game stack, whatever that is, on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, that got uh, only thirty three players. They only paid five spots. Then that same day, they had to cancel the four hundred dollar triple draw. I couldn't even get six people. Uh, there was a $400 PLO, which the results aren't listed. I'm not sure if they got enough. That was on February 8th, or if it's just not done yet. Uh, no, it well, is there done. anything? Well, this is how you can normally tell. Is there anything reported after the 8th? Yeah, there is. So they may so have. Then, had a, so nor, that normally means it had that it didn't go. Yeah, it probably you know didn't what go. I mean? Yeah, it, it probably didn't go. A couple so days then, to get, yeah. So then, there, then there is a $600 horse 10k guaranteed, which did go uh, on the 8th. This was on uh, on Monday, and they had 19 players for the. 
$600 horse, paying only three spots. Like, can you imagine you finish fourth place in this tournament, you don't get paid. Uh, then, then there's a uh, $600 no limit hold'em, 12k guaranteed, which I see nothing for. Perhaps it didn't go. A $400 torse, not horse, but torse, which is uh, 8k guaranteed, no results, maybe didn't go. $800 no limit, 15k guaranteed for February 10th, and maybe that's not done yet, but that has no results yet. However, they do have results for also on February 10th. The $600 triple stud, 10K guaranteed. And on that one, they got 13 people. <laughs> Two Jeez. spots got paid. So you can say, hey, I came in third in the triple stud tournament. How much did you get paid? Well, I, I, you know, I came in third. That's, that's pretty good at Bally's, at, at a Bally's tournament. I came in third. Well, yeah, but how much did you get paid? Zero point zero. Yeah, that's what you got if you got third place. It's like one of those, it's like coming home. Your wife asks you, your girlfriend asks you, how was your day? Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is I finished third in a Bally's uh, PPS. I'm like, oh, what's the bad news? I didn't get any money. <laughs> what happened? Did you get robbed? Well, in a way. So uh, then there is results today in the No Limit Hold'em Heads Up. Now, that's not posted, but I know who won it. I know how many players they got, or at least approximately how many players they got. The $400 No Limit Hold'em Heads Up event, 128 max. Well, they didn't have to worry about the 128 max because they weren't going to get anywhere near there. Chicago Joey was the winner. He has won his first Heads Up No Limit tournament ever. And he, you can see a picture of him on his uh, Joe Ingram 1 uh, Twitter profile. You can see him holding the trophy. How many players did he have to beat to win this Heads Up trophy? He said... Five up, five down. <laughs> so he, there, was, there were 32 players at most. There may have been fewer than 32. There could have been 32, but someone with a buy. It could have been like 20-something and some got a buy in the first round. But whatever, there were five rounds, meaning that at most there were 32 players in this, in this $400, K, $400 no limit hold them heads up. Joey Ingram was the winner. I don't know how much he got, but there's no official results posted. So th- this is a gigantic fail, and... Uh, Let's see, there is various others going all the way through March 3rd, I guess. And I guess the last starting date is uh, February 28th. A lot of events left to play. So this is not what they were hoping for to get. Uh, for most of these events, they're getting 20-something or 30-something people. They're, they're paying three well, spots, four spots, and that's not what they're looking for. There's a couple things here to point out. First thing is they had something very similar. Uh, very almost maybe even identical. You can go back and look uh, at the end of December slash early January with a no limit tournament basically every day and a mixed game tournament every day. And it, I wouldn't say it was a absolute, you know, just nail biting success, but it, it you know wasn't a fail either. You know, they get 40, 50 people for the mixed games, and I'm not sure about the no limit, but you know it it it, it was okay. It was good. You know there was a little bit of momentum going, but. They so I guess so on top of that or because of that, they decided to do the very same thing or very similar a month later, which really like you know what I mean. I don't think it gave it enough time. Like you just can't have mixed game series in Vegas month after month after month. It just there is there, you know there really isn't enough demand, especially now with what's going on to you know it's at Bally's to really fill that up. 
So that's part of it. Like I said, they literally just did the same thing in December. You know, Omaha tournaments, horse tournaments, and they had $400 buy-ins, $1,000 buy-ins. So it's relatively the same thing. The second thing that's been going on, and I know this firsthand from people that play in it, that I'm friendly with in Vegas, is that what's kind of transpired in all of tournament poker now um, is affecting it, which is late registration. For this tournament specifically, and I guess I'm talking about the mixed games, not, I don't know, the, the no limit ones, but the mixed games start at two o'clock in the afternoon every day. And they're letting people late register until just after the dinner break. Funny enough, there's a dinner break in these. And that's 10 o'clock at night is when the dinner break is over. Uh, and these are again, one day tournaments, by the way. So, and they're done roughly. And I had a friend that, that finished third and it's played a number of them. Uh, they're done roughly between two and three in the morning. So it's about a 12 hour day. And then, you know, you get your normal, I don't know, 10 minute break. And then you get probably a 60 minute dinner break. So, but what's happening is that people started a handful of people. And again, that makes a difference because it's not like there's a ton of people registering in these to begin with. A handful of people were waiting every time and coming right at 10 o'clock at night where they had, you know, two or three, maybe four big blinds. And they were trying to double up. You know, because any flop or any pot, I should say, you're, you know, you end up committing to, you know, and staying in and, you know, you're, you're you know, you're not going to fold. So play one pot, you double up and you're right around average. Maybe you're a little below, maybe you're a little above, depending how many people are in the pot. So people were doing this and a couple people ended up winning or making second and they're only playing four hours there versus, you know, obviously the point mean, meaning that it made the first handful of levels in the beginning totally meaningless. So what people started doing then is they started doing the same thing. No one's showing up at two o'clock and they're just waiting for other people to register. Everyone, no one's registering basically. A number of people realized this is what was going on and they sent emails to the staff at Bally saying that everyone now is waiting, you know, until close to late registration or until others register because they don't want to be sitting there playing three, four or five handed, you know, six handed for hours and hours. And then people just start coming, you know, either right at the dinner break when it ends or right before so I, there hasn't been a response yet. I know my friend Jeannie, she was, you know, one of these people that had played in, oh, geez, she's probably played in eight or nine of these tournaments, these mixed games tournaments since December. She wrote a letter, and, you know, she's friendly, very, very friendly with uh, the mixed game community here in Vegas, and everyone basically said the same thing, that they don't want to come and, and sit there and play, you know, short when they're going to be a handful, you know, if not more people that register, you know, as the night progresses. So, and then obviously from the casino's perspective, they don't want to limit the amount of time because that's, you know, less rate for them. Well, that's what I was about to say. They've gotten so out of control with the late registration, not just at these little tournaments, but even at the World Series of Poker, they have a big problem with this, except they don't have problems with not getting people because it's the World Series. But they, they have a problem with really allowing late registration. And there was that one experiment that someone did where they had a bet if they fold every single hand in in one of these events if they can make the money and someone actually just barely made the money in a WSP event folding every single hand like they had like $200 in chips left but but they barely did it which is embarrassing that someone that means actually a monkey yeah. could have cashed in that event i'm not even kidding an actual monkey could have cashed so i i don't remember which one it was i'd have to look at it but i remember really chuckling hard there was a tournament a number of years ago. And it could have only been three years ago. And I want to say it was a big tournament, like it was one of the one-drop ones. But it could have been a, like a big WPT championship. But whatever it was, 
they had late registration to the start of day three. I'm not making this up. Okay, they had late registration. <laughs> I think it was like a hundred thousand one drop, but it was, it was something big. But maybe it was not, and I'll look for it. But I remember thinking, oh my god, like is this what it's really come to? You know, like you could literally not play for two straight days. Like well, it's, it's, and of course you're gonna. By the time you register, you're gonna be very short, and you know. But still, there are people that like that style and and just you know play that way. Yes, it's it's you know? uh, it really is. Per- I thought, thought there were. Didn't Bellagio have? Uh, <laughs> didn't Bellagio you know, have one for day three? I, I like how he just appears site, here, like a site for Sawyer's, buddy. We we, we didn't we didn't introduce him. He just he just here all of a sudden. That's beautiful. Did he just click from last night? No, he no, he's just he's show? just here. This is his first time on the show tonight. I just jumped in. I just jumped in. I was going to introduce him. We I was going to finish. I was going to wait till we finished our thoughts, and we we're going to we we're going to put him on here. But uh, he was listening, and he just jumped in. So okay, hi Trader Ruski. Hey buddy, what's happening, guys? Yo, buddy. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, uh, you still got to get my girl a, a something, Brandon. I'll call you about it later. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a. I was telling Todd earlier. I had a very bad migraine yesterday, buddy. So I was. Uh, off the grid, but I'm, I'm feeling good now. Been on the show for about an hour. It's good to have the boys back, the whole band here. Yeah, I like um, it. Last week was yeah, one of the few times we had we had no Trader Ruski last week. Yeah, yeah. One of the few I shows remember. with no Trader Ruski appearance at all. Okay, so uh, what I'm going to do here is uh, move on to the next topic. Well, hold on, but what, what, you didn't, what, so what's your solution to this? Oh, oh, sorry. You offer, I, I uh, guess what would Dan Druff do. You didn't give one. Oh, well, Dan Druff would. Uh, I mean, there's not that much I could do if if you're holding a series. People don't really want to come play, but I, I agree. Well, that no, the, no, no. But I mean, it's the late registration. Oh, I, I would totally, I, I would cut it. I, I would say that it's going to be cut way down. I'd make it pretty public that we're cutting this down, and I wouldn't say the exact reason. I would just say that. Uh, um, okay, so it's a so it's a two day turn. It's a one day tournament. Starts at two. You know, it's ending around two to three. When would you end re- late registration? If you're in charge with those parameters. I would end it maybe at uh, six o'clock if it starts two. Yeah, I agree. That's about the right time. Yeah, uh, it, the the thing is, they have to balance the greed with the health of the event, and I, I also think they should balance the whole concept of tournaments. And that uh, when you can enter super late, what you're doing is leapfrogging everybody who ran bad and is out. So you're entering with with a lot of the field out. You're already beating a lot of the field. So at some point. It becomes a big edge to do this. I always, you know, and the other thing I want to add, this is just my perspective, but I'd like to think others share it, is that specifically because valet is closed at all Caesars properties, uh, or it was when I last checked, it's definitely still closed at Bally's. Just to get a local to have to go down there and get in that parking lot and have to walk and navigate through that, I'd be stressed out just by the time I even get to the poker room. What a pain in the ass that imagine living here. Like it's not an easy I mean it's not like hard, you know, but it's not a comfortable trek to drive down there, navigate that historically old parking lot, then have to walk, you know, quite a distance. Um you know what I'm saying? Like it's not like an easy thing for, you know, especially older locals, which a lot of them are older that play these mixed tournaments to do. Do you kind of agree with that or not? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a factor too. And uh, and you're right, they can't have that many of these or, or people get burnt out on them and don't feel the urge to come down. I also think remember we discussed last week about feeling like the vaccine is coming soon for us and we don't if we haven't had covid yet, we don't want to blow it right now. 
with a vaccine sure. on the horizon. I wonder if that's some of it too. The people they got it out of their system to play some tournaments, and now they're like, okay, I played some tournaments. These are kind of minor things. I don't want to take the risk. I'd rather just wait till I get the vaccine, and I, I really don't want to show up now for just some small tournament I don't care about. Sure, sure. So I let me if- ask you, since I did mention it, in all your years of living here, and you know, I'm sure at some point you've been to a garage at about every place. What would you say are the two or three most most awfully designed garages that you would absolutely dread having to park in? I know the one I really hated. I don't know if they've changed it, but the one that was uh, the former Barbary Coast, which is now the Cromwell. But there was there was same a, same garage. Yeah, oh, that's it's horrendous. It's actually unsafe. There's these blind turns that are insane. I actually I was so nervous driving in that thing. I would actually honk my horn around every curve. It's still there. That's one of them. Yep. I mean, that's I the absolute worst. Uh, I don't. You know, I know you talk about Bally's. I don't hate that one as much because uh, yeah, it's not that old. It's not new. It's it goes back to when for the nineties. But um, you 90s, know, eighties, eighties, fine. Eighties. Yeah, I that guess was it's the eighties. Yeah. Uh, the old MGM. Yeah, I know, but I wasn't sure if the, I wasn't sure if the parking structure's new. No, it's been there since the eighties. Okay, well, I know yeah. that. But see, I wasn't driving there in the eighties. So I wasn't sure, but I. I I don't mind it that much. You know, you kind of come in from the back. You go up that big ramp that takes you to near the top. I, I'm, I'm. That one's not terrible. Uh, I definitely hate that one that was in the Cromwell. That's that's the absolute worst. I'm trying to think of some other terrible. Uh, the, the Harris one is pretty crappy. Harris too. is bad, and Flamingo. Since you know they're right next to each other, but they're very similar in design. Yeah, Flamingo isn't any fun either. But yeah, that's that's yeah. another. A- anyone where you're kind of winding around in these blind turns where people can easily hit you. It's, You're right, though. I haven't been there in maybe 14, 15 years to the Cromwell slash Barbary Coast slash Bill's Gaming Hall, but that one is particularly bad. I, it was so bad that I, when I first drove it, I couldn't believe it. I actually thought uh, this is the worst lot I've ever driven in as far as the danger of being hit by somebody head-on who's coming the other direction. It's just it, it's so narrow, and the turns are so blind around these corners. I was really just sitting there in shock that such a thing could exist in that day. Yeah. What about uh, what about you, Trader Ruski? You've been to all these properties over the years. Any parking garage uh, nightmare stories or ones you really heavily dislike? Nothing Bally. really stands out. I think you know. I think yeah. I mean, Bally's has a long walk. I mean, I would think they'd do something with like handicap parking or something for some of the older people because I can't even see them walking all that way. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they have like little carts they could drive people like they do at the airport. I don't know. Little golf carts or something they put the older people on, buddy? Exactly. I once lost my car. I've told this story before. I lost my car in Bally's. I was with Matt the Rat, and I was talking to Matt the Rat. And then uh, he, he was staying at Bally's, so I drove him there. Then we were talking the whole time. I didn't pay attention to where we were parked. I uh, got out with him. We went to go eat something. Then he said, okay, well, good night. I'm going to my hotel room. Okay, bye. And then I get back to the lot, and I go, shit, I don't remember where I parked. So I called him. I said, do you remember? He didn't remember either. So I walked around, couldn't find it. And uh, so I said, well, what do I do here? So I thought, okay, well, what I need is I need someone to drive me around so I and I can keep pressing the button to hear it go beep, beep when, when we eventually pass it. I need someone to slowly drive me around. So I went to the security. They refused to do it and told me that they need to ride their bicycle around and, and, and press it themselves and that they will uh, they'll find it that way. So I, it was very hot. It was during the summer. Uh, I just wanted I was tired. I wanted to go home. Well, 
I let them go through their process. So it took a while to get this whole thing going. But anyway, a guy finally came with a bike and took my, my key, asked me to describe the car. I described the car. I gave him a perfect description. I sat and sat and sat and sat. And I was like sitting down on the floor and people were walking by and were sure I was like a vagrant there that was like passed out. <laughs> like I, I had these young people walking by going, hey, man, I want to have what that guy was drinking. So they, they really thought I was like just like I couldn't stand up. That's why I was sitting down. That's why I lost my car. Anyway, so I'm waiting and waiting. It seemed like an endless wait. And finally, I see the blinking light of that bicycle coming back. I go, thank God he must have found it. So he pulls up and he says, hey, um, what, what's your car type again? I said, wait a minute, I, I, you don't remember? He says, you told me it was a white SUV. I said, I didn't say it was a white SUV. Jesus. No, you, but that's what you told me. I said, I did not. I told you nothing like a white SUV. Oh, well, I, I didn't hear it beep, and I was looking for a white SUV. I go, oh, my God. He says, let me try it again. I guess I wasn't sitting here for an hour while you've been going around here. I'm not I'm not doing this. Sorry, that's your only choice. I go, it's not my only choice. I'm not. You, you, I, I let you try this once. It failed. Let's do something else. Drive me around. Uh, we can't do that, sir, but I can call Metro. Uh, it's possible your car got stolen. I said, it wasn't stolen. I just forgot where it is. Uh, we have to call Metro here. Go, what's Metro going to do? Metro is not going to – Metro is going to file a report. They're not. People, I'm, be calling, people be calling Metro and they can't cash in on their bed. Right. They were, they, were bus- they, were, they were probably busy making the sports book pay people, yeah. so they, I didn't want to detract from that. <laughs> so I, I told <laughs> – I, I told the guy, absolutely not. So I they brought me to the security office, and I told them, I said, look, I, I let you guys do it your way. I didn't agree with this. I wanted you guys to drive me around, but I said, okay, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I gave it a chance. I sat there in the heat. I waited for you guys to finish, and the guy didn't know which car it was. I told him. He didn't remember. He thought it was something else, and now he wants me to go through the same exercise again. I'm not doing it. So I actually talked them into doing it. I, I, what I wanted in the first place to drive me around slowly. So they drive me around slowly to every floor where you were allowed to park. Nothing. So I said, shit, maybe it was stolen. That's weird. A weird coincidence. It was stolen or towed and I forgot where it was, but maybe that would explain why, where I think I remember it's just not there. So then I said, you know what? Can we go up to the employee levels? Because I, I remember seeing the employee levels were not blocked off. I would not have parked there on purpose, but I was talking to my friend. Maybe I accidentally did it. So they drove up to the employee levels, which was like the upper two levels. And sure enough, I accidentally parked on the employee level. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So that was that was why I couldn't find it. And uh, so they gave me – so then we left and uh, – Well, not to bust your balls or anything, buddy, but I have a similar story involving you that's very similar to that. I know, and it, was, it, it happened for the same reason. So – you know, not to sit up for an hour and talk about lost cars, but long story short, if I'm not mistaken, this was the uh, double up or the double or nothing. No, not the double. What was that? The, the draft day Kings tournament that, what was that one that we both were chip leads, leaders in? The, yes, the, the dra- WSOP event. Yes. The, the, uh, it was a 50 50 draft Kings event, which is a, uh, yeah, 50, they only 50. did, they did one year and it was, uh, that 50% of the field gets paid. And that was the only year they did it. It was called the DraftKings just because they were sponsoring it. And, and so WSOP is getting extra money. The problem was that with such a large percentage of the field getting paid, that the people in the top 10% were getting shit. So, uh, of course, that's the tournament that I'm doing well in. So that's where I didn't need the 50% of the field being paid. Uh, so Brandon so and I they, were actually the so top. So day one, and I have a, a really nice comp. I have like a $500 dinner comp at Bellagio. 
Yeah. So I invite my, my good buddy, Todd, would tell us he's never said no to a free meal. And, you know, we're in the poker room, obviously. So, or, the, you know, the Amazon room or on that side of the facility, Todd's parked in the, uh, the Valley View garage. So he's, he's not even close to where it is. So I say, you know, do you want to take a taxi? You know, we'll, we'll get to Bellagio in five minutes. Oh, I'll drive. I drive fast. I'm like, all right. I don't, you know, whatever you say. So, you know. I hope you went the back way. It's a good, well, this is, no, we never even get into his car. This is a good 10, 12-minute walk just to get from at least maybe 15, to get from the Amazon room to the uh, valet on, on, or the valet, the garage on Valley View. Then we get there, and we spend about a good 20, 25 minutes at least. Todd can't find his car. Okay, <laughs> we're looking up and down. I mean, he cannot find his car. So what do we end up having to do anyhow? We end up having to take a taxi. Nonetheless, so then we get to this restaurant, and Bellagio isn't even far. It's you know no traffic. It's a three minute jaunt, right? So we finally get there, and what's that? What it's a nice restaurant. I don't know if it's still there. I, I don't think it is anymore. It's right by the poker room. Um, was it called Fix? Was that it? Was it Fix? Yeah, I think it was Fix. Yeah, something like that. Okay, and I mean, but you know, this is like you know, it's shrimp, it's lobster, it's good steak. So we have five hundred bucks. So we had to spend the whole five hundred because I don't remember why, but it was it was already sent to the restaurant. So we order five hundred dollars worth of food at this point. Like when we get there, we have less than fifty minutes to order to eat, and we just tell them bring out everything as soon as it comes. I mean, we're scarfing down. Yeah, we were scarfing it down. It was funny. I mean, it was the women. The woman that served us must have thought we were maniacs. We ordered like this exquisite, like literally, it was a five hundred dollar meal. We I mean, we were there maybe thirty minutes. And we were still late getting back. To but I remember walking in. It wasn't much, maybe ten minutes late. Yeah, you know, we were ten 15. minutes late back. But but you know what? Uh, it actually helped me because right like right when I got back, I, I won some big hand. So I was actually happy we were late because that hand wouldn't have happened that way if I was on time. Right, right, right. So it was just funny. I mean, it was very stressful because like it was a you know expensive meal. We should have just got a sandwich. Couldn't really even. Enjoy I know. It. But looking back at <laughs> it now, it's funny. Like I think you ordered like a veal chop. Like it was like a big hearty like. You know, we had lobster tails, and we had, like, less than 30 minutes from, like, you know, actually ordering it to when the food hit the table to, to eat it and enjoy it. So Yeah, that definitely was stuff. not a leisurely meal, that's for sure. No, it was not leisurely, <laughs> yes. Correct. That's a great adjective. Definitely not leisurely. So, and then that was the infamous tournament where uh, I put some kid on such tilt. I was, I had a, which I still use to this day, whether I'm playing poker or, you know, whatever it is, I have a stress ball that I just kind of squeeze on. This is like a relaxing breathing thing. Uh, anyhow, I put this kid on such tilt. I don't remember why. Like, you know, I beat him in a pot. I beat him in two pots, whatever it was. It was a young, pimpled-faced kid that he called the floor and started complaining that I had a stress ball on me. <laughs> you know, a stress ball is something that you... So Poker News came over because there was this big commotion, and I had, I had a mound of chips at the time. And they started reporting on this. I still, I still have it. Like you could Google it and find it, or but yeah. So he literally called the floor over to ask if it was allowed for me to have a stress ball at the table. And you know, the guys like looking at him like this is the most bizarre thing. <laughs> of course, he could have a stress. You know. So anyhow, good memories. That what what year was that? I'm gonna guess. Hold on, 2000. Is that 14 or 15? It was 15? it was 15. And not only that, okay. would you believe that never win poker? Had a hand in the eventual winner being the winner, because the eventual winner it was a guy named uh, Brandon Whitmire. I don't know if you've ever met him. No, nope. but okay. So, so he was. Uh, I think he kind of found the community through Scott Bowman. 
but he was from Chicago. That's why I think I think he found it through Scott Bowman. But he was briefly part of the Neverwin Poker community, and he he went sometimes when people from Neverwin Poker would hang out. Uh, uh, he was there too, and so so I got to know him. I never saw him at any of those meet meetups. I went really no, he was there sometimes. So uh, he was from Chicago, so he wasn't there all the time. It was if he was in town. So anyway, uh, he he was in this tournament with me, and fairly early on, I had uh, more. He was at my table, and I had more chips than him, and uh, I had pocket fours, and I flopped a set of fours, and I raised him on the turn, and he had kings, and had an overpair. So he bet into me on the turn. I put him all in, and he sat and sat and sat. And he's thinking, "What do I do? What do I do?" He was he was very close to calling. He he didn't have that many chips. He wasn't like so short that he had to call with King's overpair. But it was he was really really feeling like he needs to call this because still he had the King's overpair and he didn't have a ton of chips. So it's not like I was we're both super deep and I'm putting him in with with just he has an overpair. So. He's sitting here thinking, thinking, and he says, "You know what? You know what, Druff? I know, I know you. I know from, you know, from reading your posts, and I know from uh, discussions with you. I just don't think you're doing this if you can't beat kings." And he turned over kings and folded them face up. Wow! And had he? Little, do you remember the flop? Kind of. I mean, was it like real dry? Um, it wasn't that dry. It was. It was not a, an obvious fold. It wasn't one where it's like uh, where it's it's either a set or or I'm bluffing him. Like this is. Uh, it was something where it was possible. I was so putting it could a move be like on him. two four nine or something like that. Maybe. Well, it was on the turns, but it could have been where like oh, a, uh, right. so it, there's something on the turn that would have made it possible. I was doing with something else. It wasn't a super dry heavy board, but he he folded the king's overpair with not many chips left and uh, and showed it to me. And then ran Meyer. ran that back up and won the tournament. Wow. I never knew that story. And I finished in like Wonder- 40th. And, and and what happened to me, it was very interesting. I was at this table. I was running super bad. I mean, just every – it was a tough table. This is in the second day. But it was a tough table. And also just every time I had something, nobody had anything. And every time I didn't have something or I had something marginal, I was getting put all in. So I looked like I was like the weakest player. I was just being forced to fold constantly, and I didn't even have hands I could call down, make like light calls with. So I was just getting stomped on by everybody, and they were good players. So the whole thing was a bad combo. I couldn't wait to get off this table, and eventually did. But I, I so I put this at one point when I did get it in, I didn't get it in good at all. It was pre-flop. It was against uh, I had ace jack against kings and jacks. <laughs> so, I remember that. So, I so, that. so I ended up, I, I ended, I ended up getting two aces to to suck out or something like. No, 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 no. It wasn't kings. It was ace king. It was ace king and jacks. Was that it? Oh God, I remember. We could find it somewhere. Yeah, it was somewhere. But I, I, I put, this. I put you a the third best hand. I had the third best hand and, and, and very unlikely yeah. to catch up. But uh, um, I guess it wasn't. I would have been drawing dead there. But it, it was, it was something like that where I was. Uh, Really screwed either way, and I, I think I thought I, you had ace jack and you flopped two jacks or made two jacks. That's I think I, I made two jacks on the turn or the river. I think that's what. It, the, so it was. They didn't have jacks. So I think it was. I think, I think it, it was, was ace, like ace queen and kings maybe, and you, you whatever it was. I'm pretty certain you made you made three jacks by the time the hand was. That's over. right. It was. I think it was ace. It was ace king and queens, and I had ace jack and the jacks. Uh, uh, I made two jacks yeah. anyway. It was like all in pre. So so I was. Uh, yeah. So I was very lucky there. So then. I was uh, so I'm fortunate to get past that. Then I get moved off that table. I'm like, oh, thank God, I, I'm pretty short. But I, I get moved off that table. Then I start running better, 
and I even pulled a move I was proud of on some uh, some Euro where I had uh, the one card Ace High Flush and on the turn. Like I, I bet the flop with the Ace High Flush draw, he calls, and then the turn's another spade to make it like four spades, and I have the Ace. So I uh, what was that? Like I, I think. I think I check raised them all in or something like I, I did something that, that I, I, I sold it very well that I was frustrated. Like I, I kind of like I did some sort of pump fake like I was about to bet but then checked or something like that. Like and so he put me all in and I snap called him and he was very frustrated. Like whatever it was that convinced him I that nice. I, I got screwed by the so he had the king high one, but he was he was convinced that I was unhappy with that spade when I like I, I sold it very well, so I was proud of myself. So I doubled up on that and so I, I ran it up there. I remember Matt Affleck was at that table. And uh, I didn't have much interaction with him, but like I remember he was there. Anyway, what was uh, so I was all proud of myself for running it back up and being off that terrible table where I was getting killed and had a terrible image. And then some guy at the table who had a big stack, we get it all in with each other. And uh, I had a good stack by this point, a decent stack, not great, but pretty good. I get we get it all in. I have ace king suited against his king queen, pre flop. And I lose. So that uh, so when I busted, people are like, "Oh, that's br- so brutal!" Like I would have had a huge stack had I won that one. Then I could I could have been the bracelet winner there instead of uh, this Brandon Whitmire. But anyway, um, I mean, there's a long way to go. There's still forty people left. But I would have had a really nice stack had I had that doubled. But Poker News came up and asked me, like, like when they were there, there. I don't think they asked me or if they heard me saying it. But I I said, you know what? I'm not even mad because I just. Put, I just put on I a really that. bad beat. You shouldn't have even been there. Yeah, I shouldn't have even been here. I put on a bad beat to even be here with an ace jack hand. So, so this is this is going to happen. And so, I, and that's how I really that, felt. To the best of your knowledge, whatever happened to that sweet Whitmore boy? I don't. I don't know. I, think I, I when was the last time I? I think I saw him at the World Series uh, two years ago or something. Yeah, I think that's where I saw him. I think I saw him at like the 10K Limit Hold'em event. He ended at my table. So yeah, he, he uh, says. Trader so, Ruski, before we move on, do you have any good Brandon Whitmire stories you want to share? <laughs> I don't. My, my oh. question about the parking is why draft didn't wait in the air conditioning. But with with the, um, you know, I mean, that's a huge laydown with the Kings. Because I remember, like, the, the, the deepest I went in one of these is, like, 24th or 25th. And, you know, and I had one hand where I know the guy, I mean, I felt the guy probably flopped the set. But I had aces. It was early in the tournament. I'm like, fuck it. And I remember an ace. So then even though I got a horrible beat to lose, even 25th, I'm like, fuck it, I shouldn't have even been here. Yeah. It's much easier when you get an early one of those where you're just living on borrowed time. So the the, the eventual uh, pain... Yeah, that was how I felt. That was really how I felt there. I like, I, I really felt like that was so lucky with that ace-jack hand that I like. how can I rationally say, oh, I'm so unlucky to lose this ace-king against king-queen king, all in pre... Like the guy thought he was pulling a move on me. Like I, I, I think he raised, I three bet him, and he put it all in, thinking that I had shit and I had ace king suited. So okay, like it, it wasn't a smart move when you have a big stack, and I can really hurt him. But uh, he's like, we had all, they had, like he would have really lost a lot of chips had he uh, uh, lost to me on that one. So uh, the point is here that I, I normally I would have been frustrated that this happened to me, but I was thinking, how can I bitch about bad luck here when I just survived something sure. which I sh- totally should have busted a short time ago? So that's that was now how I, I saw now, it. Now, I got a trivia question for you, Todd. What does Trader Ruski say after he puts a bad beat on somebody? Uh, I, I don't know. Sorry, buddy. I was going to say that, but I was thinking maybe it's something else. I should have I said that. 
<laughs> that was the first thing that popped into polite. my head. He's very polite. He's a polite guy at the table. No, I, I would believe that. I would believe he's a polite guy at the table. That that I I could easily I see. My, I say my bad buddy. My bad buddy. <laughs> you know what's funny is I've never ended up with trade. I've never been with Trader Risky at a table though. Like we've never been Neither at the same. Alive. Like we've played the same event sometimes. We've no, never ended up at the same table. I once I think played we're at the table jack. next to each other. Yeah, we've had that, but never at the I once same table. Played blackjack with Traderuski downtown, and with another. Fr- oh, with uh, what's his name? The guy from the radio show. What, what's his name on the uh, vintage one? You know, yeah, vintage one. The three of us, and this was uh, four queens. I'm pretty sure, and we all proceeded to literally lose fifteen or seventeen hands in a row. Do you remember that Traderuski? Wow, we lost every single I hand. Sure do. We bought in for like that may have been the last time. That may have been the last time I played blackjack. Having a single a single hand, and we were at that point we were just laughing because it was so ridiculous and absurd. I think that was the last time I played too. Okay, well let me me move to the next Las Vegas topic here. Uh, Virgin Hotels Las Vegas is going to supposedly open pretty soon. Now they kept uh, pushing this back. But uh, it's supposed to open uh, Christmas Eve or yeah, right around before New Year's. Yeah, they, they they kept pushing it back. And for those that don't know, this is the former Hard Rock. Yeah, I, I said earlier the former Hooters. I messed up. It's former Hard Rock, but uh, mm-hmm. but yes, they it kept getting pushed back to where nobody was trusting. Like when they're really going to open, then they said early 2021. Then uh, that wasn't happening. So now it's going to be kind of early 2021. They are claiming, and they, they're saying we're serious this time. It's really going to open on this date. March 25th is the new date that they claim it's going to happen. And supposedly it's serious business. Virgin hotels claims it's really going to happen. March 25th, will be their opening date, which I think is a little bit too early as far as like not suffering from the pandemic. I think they're still going to they're going to have a Can tough time. Can you imagine time. That they're going to have this is going to open? The, not that it's the same level, but Resorts World's going to open. I mean, we still got the Circa. Could you have picked a worse time for these properties to all relatively open in the same amount of time? Yeah, well, Resorts World may they may have enough of a delay to where it may not be that bad by the time they open, but definitely uh, Well, June, I mean, June, June, July, it's the summer. That's not like it's. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would I would think if it was next year, maybe in the spring of 2022, it's a different scenario. But we're only talking March, April, May, three and a half, four months away. That's nothing. I don't think much is going to change. I mean, a little bit might, but I don't know. Yeah, so they so- got to get some. They got to get a lot of bodies in there, throwing around money to to meet their, uh, you know, to meet their payments. I mean, you know, this isn't. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a, I think it was close to $4 billion. Yeah, it was a $4 billion plus resort. I mean, that's no, oh, I know, a lot but, of money. But at least they're a huge thing. At least they, not only is a huge company behind it, but uh, because it's such a big deal, that property, I think it will attract people. And, sure. and if it doesn't. So, but, but has uh, it been reported? I haven't done much investigation on what this theme is going to be for this Virgin Atlantic. But yeah, so it just seems like it's it's like the Virgin brand. It's like it's just called Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, which I think is kind of a very boring brand here. Like, who's going to go there? Oh, Virgin Hotels, I got to go there. Uh, So it's it's basically. uh, Well, I would think Richard Branson, just based on his past, is is ingenious enough that he that there's going to have to be something special there. Well, it it had so it had a two hundred million dollar makeover of the Hard Rock. And they claim actually 300 former Hard Rock employees, uh, the ones affiliated with uh, culinary workers, uh, Local 226, 
Are, uh, and, and as well you as bartenders. You say culinary, I say culinary. Uh, and, and, then right. the, and then the bartenders right. union and the International Union of Engineers, like the, those three unions are going to bring back about uh, 300 employees that used to be at the Hard Rock. But uh, they, they're going to have three hotels. There's going to be 1,500 rooms. There's going to be a five-acre pool. Uh, and uh, Sorry, five-acre pool and entertainment complex, not a five-acre pool. That'd be well, the big. three hotels are already there. I mean, the, the towers. No, I know, I know. Three towers are... It, yeah. It's renovated, yeah. And then, and then it has a 4,500-person uh, a capacity theater and a showroom that can accommodate a, a 650 guests. But... Uh, it's it's actually going to be operated, strangely enough, by the same tribe, and yes, I said tribe, that operates the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. The, the Mohegan Gaming and Entertainment Tribe is actually going to be operating the casino, and yeah. it'll be the first tribally operated casino in Las Vegas. I'm not sure how that happened. <laughs> That's, that so, I did not know. Yeah, somehow they, they got tasked wow. to do that. But my question to you, to both of you, is this. I'm sitting in my little home 20 miles out west in Summerlin, golf courses and parks and my Whole Foods. What would motivate me, a 40-something man with a little bit of uh, discretionary money, to drive over there and partake in a game of chance? Well, I don't know about the game of chance, but there there is something you may not expect <laughs> to be there. there. There's going to be a Nobu there, would you believe? But there was before. There was there. I didn't well, know that. I was just going to oh, ask that. Yeah, there was. Oh, there was. That's I the first Nobu that was ever in this. Okay, city. I thought it was. I thought it was only at Caesars. I didn't know that one existed. Uh, oh, stop! No, that's Caesars was, that you came much later. I didn't that's know about that. The, they should put the, a Matsuhisa uh, in. The uh, the uh, well, hold on. It's funny you mention this because there's a little bit of a time. The Nobu at Hard Rock has been there since the inception of the Hard Rock in the early '90s. Somehow, I never knew um, that. And it only it only that closed. Was, I think that was the first. Wasn't that the first Nobu? No, the first Nobu is the one in Malibu. Um, it's, oh, and the one in New York. Close. They both opened up. They both opened up almost at the same time. And have you so, been to Matsuhisa, his original restaurant? I have not. In Beverly Hills. Oh, that's nope, okay. I, I'm so not. Listen, buddy. You know what? You do what you want with your money. I'm not running around Beverly Hills. It's not like that over here, buddy. We're on yeah, but no, budget. no, no. Matsuhisa is a very special, mm-hmm. special place. And, and so you know, and then they opened Nobu after that. So. All right. So the first ever Nobu in Vegas, and that's what brought in the high end sushi trend uh, to, to Nevada, was there. It closed. Okay, obviously when the uh, Hard Rock. Excuse me. When the last day the Hard Rock was open, Nobu closed as well. And they moved the Nobu that was at Hard Rock temporarily to another property. So we've still had two Nobus this whole while in Vegas. One being at Caesars, which only opened uh, 2012, 2013. And then there's another Nobu temporarily until Virgin Atlantic opens up without Googling or cheating. Any of you boys know where the Hard Rock? Well, no, I had no idea there was a. For some reason, I never knew there was a second Nobu. I always thought that the first one in Vegas and the other one in Vegas was the one at Caesars. Well, let me tell you. After six players play in a mixed game tournament, they can take a short stroll (laughs) and have some raw fish. That is funny. It's at Bally's. That's funny. Even a Nobu. That's that. That you know the same relatively, unless I guess you know people left, but relatively the same staff. Was at the Nobu in Hard Rock are now working and employed at Valley's. So Caesar's properties technically now is two Nobus 
uh, on its premises. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so it, to me, it just looks like there's nothing wow. special there. It looks like the whole place is just uh, a, a renovated hard rock without any kind of real theme. Yeah. That's kind of what it looks like to me. I don't know how that's going to work. I, I said that at the time when they when they uh, announced these plans. I, I said, I don't understand what they're really going for with Virgin Hotels uh, Las Vegas. Like, yeah, you can say the Virgin brand I know and, and I respect, you can say, but but what would draw you over there? I had wondered that at the time. Uh, and It's a little-known fact that I met Todd's son, Benjamin, for the first time ever at a Nobu. Yes, and in fact, you re- you recall? Uh, be- be- yes, and I recall something else. Benjamin being a bad boy, right? Benjamin boy. at at the time, you had to he, give him his tablet for him to start behaving. He was he was a surprisingly good kid in restaurants. He's most kids between like one and two are horrendous in restaurants, and he did not have that problem for the most of the time he was one. He was surprisingly good. My brother's kids were all bad in restaurants. And, and my sister's kids, when she eventually had them later on, she they, they were bad in restaurants at that age. Just about every kid is one year one year old between one and two is really bad in restaurants where you don't even bother going. Well, my son Benjamin was surprisingly good in restaurants until right around, like right before he turned two, kind of like from one and three quarters to two. And you happen to meet him in those mm-hmm. few months when he was bad in restaurants. So he was running around and trying to, trying to like, yeah. there's, there's like these tissue paper walls. He was like trying to knock them down and he was going nuts. And uh, But as soon as you gave him that tablet, he started behaving. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, it, it only lasted a short time. He actually returned to being good in restaurants not that long after that. There was like a short few months period where he was bad. We actually took a trip shortly after you met him and he was bad mm-hmm. on the, at the restaurants the whole trip. But no. but he didn't. He only had a very short period. He, overall, he was much better than most little kids in restaurants, and that's why I was like, I, I wanted to tell him, like, you know, he's usually good. It's just this is this is unusual. But yeah, he was just very wild. He wasn't crying. He no, was just I very mean w- bad. He just had like a lot of energy. No, he was very wild. He was he was he very wild and running around, and uh, it, it, it was tough to deal with him there. But uh, yeah, that was the first time Benjamin met, uh, met Brandon, and now he's uh, ten years old. Jeez, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he is ten, and he two thousand. Yeah, well, that was like two thousand twelve. It was two thousand twelve. Yeah, I think it, it was. Yeah, it was in the was second half of two thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously, if they have a poker room, because they've tried, they tried that over there during the boom, before the boom, after the boom at Hard Rock. I'm saying, and it never, never really amounted to much of anything. So I wonder. It likely wouldn't be anything. You know, I guess more likely than not, the only thing that could probably ever draw someone like me there would be dining. As if, you know, there's something there that good that I would be inclined to go eat there. Gaming-wise, I can't imagine there's going to be anything worth, uh, you know, going there for. That, here's here's know, a question. Some, that Nobu, how does it compare to the one at Caesars? Um. The menus are the same because they're basically like corporate. You know, they have, I'm sure, like a couple different things that change. But menus and prices are the same. Um, the layout, I like the Hard Rock one more. It, it's a little bit bigger, um, and it's just a little bit more spacious. Um, but I've eaten at both places maybe a combined 10 times, you know, in, in you know 20 years. Not often. I go there maybe once a year or so, maybe twice at the most. Some years I don't go at all. Uh, I wouldn't have anything bad to say about either place. I mean, it, it's you know what I mean. It, it's basically the same. I've never had an issue with food, with staff. I mean, it's a high end. Uh, I mean, the thing is, 
to me, anyhow, I found places that are just as good uh, fish-wise, like higher-end fish places that are a little bit more cheaper with the price that I tend to go to. So normally I'm only at Nobu if I'm with others and that's really where they want to go, usually because it's their first time and, you know, they just want to experience it. Um, I pick, you know, there's two or three local places that are really high-end that I like. Obviously there's, like, places like Sushi Samba, um, that, that which is at the plaza, which I enjoy. But no, there, I mean, you can't go wrong, but it's just, it's expensive. Like when I go there for myself, just food, I'm not, you know, b- uh, drinking big bottles of wine. It's going to call, it's going to be about 250 to 300 just for me, just for what I want. I mean, you get like two pieces of fish, it's 25, 30. Yeah, bucks it is very expensive. And, and that's why, like, when I have like a big comp or like the seven star meals and stuff, like that's where I would, that's when I'd go there. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you definitely don't want to go there if you're on a budget or if you're not, you know, comfortable. You know, I mean, the tip that you are going to leave is going to be, you know, much more than most meals you eat. You know, it's going to be, you know, go there a party of four, you know, six, seven hundred dollars easily. That's without alcohol. Yeah, occasionally but, I, they uh, had some service fail, like when they're very busy, when there's big parties and the smaller parties get neglected. I've been annoyed a few times at that where you just you get ignored and you don't see anybody for a long time. Well, I tend to not I tend to on purpose not go out for meals at times where it's going to be slammed and that's going to happen. You know, I, I, I would, if I went to somewhere like that, I wouldn't go on a Friday or Saturday night where I know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I had to, but it's easier, you know, cause I live here so I can, you know, I don't, I can be here whenever I want. Yeah. No, that makes um, sense. I was just saying that it, it's still no excuse at a high end restaurant where you're supposed to be getting good service. They need to pay attention that they don't screw the small parties at the expense of the big part you know, or at the expense of the small party. They don't uh, give the big parties all the attention. So sure. Anyway, it's one of these time management things. Like I, you know, something I've never figured out. I would think the easiest thing to get right for a high-end, expensive restaurant is service, because these are very, very coveted jobs. These service jobs, the, the tips are very big, and sure, these these uh, waiters and waitresses are making a lot of money compared to the job they're doing, and especially compared to other uh, waitstaff jobs. You know, take take a Nobu waiter compared to a Denny's waiter; it's a tremendous difference in what they make. So. Um, I would think that that they they if I were managing one of these places, I would lay down the law really strong. Don't ever be rude to anybody. Be attentive. Don't forget people. Check in on them. And if you can't handle it, you're gone. We're going to get somebody else who wants a job instead. Because this is this is one of the like it's what I call the in and out theory. In and out, they overpay the employees, and then anyone who doesn't do a good job is out of there. They don't give them much of a chance to. to That's why when they tried to shut you down once at twelve fifty two at night. Right, they uh, got real scared. They got very scared when I said, "Okay, I'll just call the I'll just call the main number." Yeah, so yeah. so they they, uh, they they can't fuck around there. So same they sh- they should do this at high end restaurants. A lot of them surprisingly don't. Like I'll see high end restaurants where Yelp review after Yelp review is like, "Well, I like the food, but the service this, the service that." And you go down and every single bad review complains about the service, and you go, "What the hell? Like, how are they letting this happen? This should be the easiest thing to get right. It's not yeah. easy." It's not easy to get uh, good food, to, to have an innovative menu, to have uh, a good location, to have uh, enough word of mouth about people going to come there. But when everything else seems to be working and then the service is dragging it down, I just tra- scratch my head and I say, how? I can see where so just, to, just to give people an idea of what Todd is talking about when he says these are really coveted jobs, uh, I met someone, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on radio, I met someone a couple years ago. That, that I befriended that works at Joe's 
seafood and steak. It's really more commonly known as Joe Stone Crab. Joe's Stone Crab, but out here they call it Joe's Seafood and Steak. There's the infamous one, the first one that ever opened in, in South Beach, and then that led to one out here, Chicago, Washington, D.C., etc. Uh, it's located at the Forum at Caesars, and it's a very popular restaurant. Pre-pandemic, you could never get a table without a reservation on a weekend. You could, I mean, you wouldn't even bother going. Anyhow, so I, I've known someone a number of years. He's been a server there since it opened, and he works now, you know, as he has the last 10 years or so, uh, only during dinner, during, you know, prime hours. Again, he's a server. What do you think his average salary he's made there? And he's told me this. I have no reason to believe he's lying to me, you know, respectable person, family guy. Anyhow, uh, I'll ask Trader Ruski first. What do you think on average he makes a year? And he's given me a number before. I don't know if it counts. This is pre-pandemic. I don't know if it counts, you know, tips and his hourly. You know, well, the hourly is probably pretty small. It's probably almost all tips. Yeah, right, right. But we'll just say for argument purposes, just tips alone. You go first, Trader Ruski. What do you think on average he makes working at a place like that? And I don't know his days off, but I'm sure he works on weekends because everybody would want to, you know, Friday, Saturday night type thing. Trader Risky. I mean, I would say it's I, I, my guess would be around four hundred bucks. Oh, four hundred a year. Okay, that's, that's no a, a night. Number. A I, night. Okay, but well, that was the night. question. No, Todd, what did I say? He said he said per year, but I have a question. How many how many days a week does he work? He works four days a week. Uh, Four o'clock to midnight. Okay. He used to work five, but he works four now. Okay, so, but is yeah. it based so upon four or five? Hours, or he works about, or what is that, uh, 32, yeah, 32 to 35 hours a week. Okay. I'm going to guess uh, 90000 Okay. Trader Ruski, you want to stick with $400 or you want to change your <laughs> guess? What? 110, 110. Very close. Trader Ruski wins. He he makes on average one hundred twenty thousand a year. There, that's that's insane. Yeah, one hundred twenty thousand a year. Now, for people that don't know or you know never heard of it, this is a restaurant where a plate of stone crabs, which is the most popular entree, uh, or a hundred dollars for four or five stone crabs that easily won't fill you up. You know, some people will get a steak with it, or you know, at least a appetizer and a salad. I mean, when I when I've gone there, this is it's probably my favorite restaurant in Vegas. I mean, I've been there. T- 25, 30 times over there. I just love it because I love stone crabs. That's the only place to regularly get them. Um, I eat stone crabs. and I, I, I always get stone crabs, and I'll need a soup, a salad, an appetizer, and then something else to go with it to be full. Uh, and I'm not, like, an exceptionally big guy either. So the average check, you know, the average check easily. I mean, you can't walk out of there without spending three, 400 at minimum for two people, minimum. Um, usually when I go, you know, if I take one other person it's about five five hundred six hundred um you know not a cheap place again it's something you do you know for a special occasion a birthday or an anniversary it's not something you just go to you know get full but uh anyhow like 120,000 now he works his ass off he's you know because you got it you know if you if you're slacking if you're being lazy you know people aren't going to tip you well but 120,000 i mean that's 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 pretty 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 good um yeah, I have another friend that I broke in with in the casino industry, and he's worked his way up that, uh, I think this is maybe his sixth, maybe seventh or fifth, sixth, something like that at the win. Uh, he's a full-time dealer on Graveyard, but it doesn't matter because they pull their tips. What do you think, again, this is not counting 2020, 
What do you think on average he's made working at the win as a dealer? I know at one point they were making about a hundred K during the uh just before the two thousand eight uh housing crash when Vegas was doing very well, they were making about a hundred K a year. And uh I don't know I know that it declined after that because of the housing crash and there there was less action. Uh then it then it was increasing again. So it it's gotta be somewhere near that again. So may, maybe they are making maybe he is making I'm gonna go with a hundred K again. Oh, Trader Ruski, what do you say? 110. He loves 110. Trader Ruski is going to win. The least amount he's ever made in a full year was 104000 and the most he's ever made was 116000 in a year. Wow. So it's a range between 104 and 116000 You know, um, pretty pretty good, huh? That, that is good. And that, look, and, that, know, that's, don't... that's really good. And what, what I want to also mentioned that happened this shows you like how some restaurants just mismanage it uh in la i went with somebody who owned a piece of a restaurant this well he wasn't the the majority owner but he was no, that handsome boy with the it, it was not that handsome boy he did he did have a restaurant at one point but it was not that handsome boy but it was an la restaurant right. and uh i think these owners had like 15 percent of it or something anyway um that was one that I had seen on Yelp as I looked before I went with him that had service complaints. Well, sure enough, the uh, because he didn't go to this restaurant all that often, even though he was a 15% owner, uh, the server he got didn't know who he was. And the server was very, like, at, like right from the start was acting annoyed and, and arrogant and, and kind of rolled his eyes when he asked him to get things. Sons of, sons of so pictures. anyway... Um, we're, we're noticing this, and he was very embarrassed around me there, just for me to be seeing this. You know, we're, we're going there. He's the owner. He's telling me you know, they, they treat us very well there, and then we, we go there, and then this this waiter is treating him like he's an asshole. Anyway, the what happened was the waiter, not knowing this, went to the manager and complained, and uh, he's oh, I, I can't, uh, I cannot stand these people here. I, you know, I. Uh, um, boy, I wish I wasn't serving them. They are really get on my nerves, and uh, and the manager's like, wait a minute, you, you're not. They're not seeing that you're annoyed. They might be, but you know they they they're, they need to learn that uh, you know they can't demand everything of me. And they can, oh no 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 no! Like they, the manager got really uh, concerned that the fifteen percent owner is being shown up by the waiter. So instead of so the so the, the waiter even admitted that he was basically mistreating our party because he didn't like he didn't like the uh, the guy who was turned out to be a fifteen percent owner, but didn't know it was the owner. He wow. thought it was a customer. He basically admitted that's what he was doing, and uh, instead of being fired on the spot, the manager just uh, quickly changed over who's serving the table. So all of a sudden, this jerk waiter disappeared, wasn't serving us anymore, and a new guy who was super nice was doing it. So at the end, uh, my friend went up to the manager and and said, uh, you know, what happened here? And the manager explained what occurred. That's how I know what occurred, is the manager explained it. But it's not like the manager said, "Oh, we're going to be getting rid of him." The manager, like, he somehow it, it just happened that it was that that uh, my friend was was an, a partial owner of the place, and just the, well, the waiter listen, didn't know this. I don't mean to I don't mean to judge your friends or anything, but I'll tell you, just in my brief encounters, that desert runner he can run rub people the wrong way. <laughs> no, desert. I think desert runner would be happy no, to kidding. own fifteen percent of this place, but no, it was not him. I'm kidding, yeah. It, but but it was it was what the proper response from that manager should have been. Is yeah, he can't expect the, the the waiter to know who you know who shouldn't be mistreated there. The, the answer should be, what the hell? Why, why are you mistreating any customers? The fact that you're admitting 
that you're mistreating some of the customers and you don't like them, uh, is, is uh, you shouldn't be here. And you should fire them. Right? So, the second someone admits this, that they're doing this at a, at a high-end restaurant, it should be gone. They, everybody should be told, sure. treat the customers extremely well. If I was the, the manager, I'd say, what the hell do you think you're telling me here? You th- so you think it's okay to mistreat any customers? You think you think you, you have a right to do that with all the money you make here for, for serving food? So yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine it. So sure enough, guess who got eventually – so the, the place actually closed down uh, for, because of the pandemic. It was actually shortly after this when the pandemic happened. I think it was in, in 2019 when this occurred. Um, shortly after that, the pandemic came and the place like shut down and uh, temporarily is going to reopen. But uh, when it reopens, <laughs> they're going to be reopening with a new manager from like a sister property that permanently closed down. And well, that's – that's something you don't see a lot, to my experience in Vegas. For the most part, people in those, as you said, coveted jobs seem to realize and be appreciated. Not, not always now, but more, much more the, 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 you know, it's much more the exception than the rule, uh, you know, finding someone that just is rude or just, I mean, you know, most of these people that I've experienced appreciate and know that they have a high-end job that they're lucky to have and they don't want to do anything to jeopardize. That's been my impression. You know, I, I've I've seen plenty of it. I, I've seen some where that's true. I've seen some where they just uh, that they, they actually gets in their head that they think because they they work at a high end restaurant or work at, at a high end uh, strip resort that they're better than everybody, and then they 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 just feel like they can do what they want and mistreat people. And I, I I'm just pretty shocked this happens because you should appreciate it. You should, this is kind of you know it's not a highly skilled job. It's not even close to that. You if you're making that type of money with that type of job. You should say, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to be making this type of money, and I'm not going to mess this up, and I'm going to check my ego at the door. Well, I'm not I'm not going to mistreat anybody. That's I'm- true, but you have to remember that these people are humans, too, and they have lives, and you know that people are sick, people are going through divorces, people are having trouble, and sometimes as much as you and I can say they shouldn't carry that over into the workplace, sometimes it's hard to do. Yeah, but if you, you look know, at Yelp and there's a bad review after bad review about the service, it's not just from yeah, one sure, person. Sure, it's sure. not just one person having a bad day. Yes. It's it really Absolutely. is uh, it really is uh, where once if the management and this that's my whole point with my story here. This manager instead of telling the guy what the fuck you're doing here, you're gonna be fired on the spot. And the funny thing is in and out burger, if if one of the employees one of the burger flippers there says, You know, I was kinda nasty to that customer because he's getting on my nerves that manager would say, goodbye, you're at the door. Like, in and out freaking burger, they'll fire them for that. And at this high-end restaurant, they wouldn't. So you can't have a manager who's too permissive because managers only need to be permissive for employee screw-ups if it's hard to replace the employee. If, if the employee is someone who's going to be a, a tremendous burden to replace, then, yeah, you you got to tolerate some bullshit. But uh, if it's something there's a gigantic line of people to take that job, Including, you can get the best of the best in that gigantic line. Then, if there's if someone's fucking around, they should be out the door. But for whatever reason, it doesn't happen, and then some restaurants fail for that reason. It's it's mind boggling to me how that can happen. But uh, and it's always interesting to see uh, some places really care. Some places will really take action and get rid of the problem employees, and some places will make excuses for it and let them run into the ground. And I've, I've watched it happen. So okay. Anyway, uh, let's. Tr- let's hold on, real fast before you go. Trader Ruski, you there, buddy? I'm here. What What is your opinion? You know, you've eaten in enough. I've, I've eaten with you in enough high end restaurants. Uh, what's your opinion on on what we're talking about? Have you seen a lot of disgruntled, you know, pretentious servers, or it's really just more the exception? I haven't. 
Yeah. No, I'd say it's the exception. I, yeah, and and by how long have you? You know, we had a our original wait, waitress from Spago went to Joe's. Bree, did you ever know her? No, I met the other guy that worked his way up from a uh, uh, busboy to the manager. And then that he was got Carlos. Poor did Carlos. he get fired? Well, he's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, he retired. Oh. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. No, I don't know the who's what was the girl's name? Jody? No, Bree. Bree. No, never met her. Oh, she's a lovely friend, girl. Though, if you see him. No, yeah, it was just an interesting thing. But, right. No, I haven't seen it much. I would think that um yeah, people need to hold on to those jobs. I mean, don't the valet pa- parkers at certain properties make like a hundred grand a year? Yeah, a lot of them too? make a lot of money too. And that's and, yeah. and you know, and I hate to say it, but when I think when I tip people, I do keep in mind what if if I think they're making a lot of money, I do keep that in mind as far as how badly they need the tips. I'm not saying I don't tip them. I'm saying that uh, um, sometimes people don't realize this. Like I've I, like you'll see people playing at the win, for example, who make seventy thousand dollars a year, and they feel like they need to tip the dealer very generously. Oh, this person makes minimum wage. If they knew that person makes more than them. They probably wouldn't do that. So, um, yeah, you have to tip what's customary, or you know, there's all kinds of problems if you don't, and that's part of the system. And I understand that, but at the same time, the ones who are doing the best—if you want to be generous tipping—I think it's best to be generous with those that don't make that much money, who are basically doing the same job. And that's that's where, if if you're going to be generous, I think it's more uh, fitting to to be that, and then you're really helping someone who needs it rather than someone who's making you know one hundred ten thousand dollars a year, as, as Trader Ruski likes to talk about. So, I want to move on to talk about uh, the Hawaii possible casino that was being discussed. You know, that's one of two states where gambling of any form, and I'm talking about legal gambling, does not exist. Hawaii and Utah are the only two. Yep, forty-eight states have it. Hawaii, some people, they're surprised to hear that because Hawaii is not a conservative state. It is not the type of place you would expect to be super anti-gambling to where there's no gambling whatsoever. Like, how could gambling be in places like Wyoming and not be in Hawaii? But that's true. That's that's the actual case. Hawaii didn't... Hawaii doesn't have gambling because the tourist industry doesn't want it. They don't need it, right? They 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 felt that they didn't need it, and they felt all it's going to be is a drain on the locals. That they're going to get tourists anyway because it's Hawaii, and that uh, the tourists are going to spend their money anyway, whether it's on just normal Hawaii vacation stuff or in a casino. And uh, they're afraid what the casinos will do is is be a drain on the locals who will develop. You know what you do. Easy answer. You make it like it was when Batista was running Cuba in the fifties, and you don't let locals come in. <laughs> only for tourists. Only for that's what they had in. They yeah, I know. I, I, guess I wasn't alive. You weren't alive, but you can ask your parents or your grandparents, and they'll tell you that Cuba was like the Monte Carlo of of the world back in the fifties and forties. Yeah. Well, Trey Ruski, does your does your mom or grandparents have any? Interesting uh, Cuba casino stories ever <laughs> share with you? They do not. Okay. What about you, Todd? You ever have any relatives that were in Cuba in the fifties, sixties? No, 40s? no. And I, I don't think my grandparents would have a lot to say about it today. All right. I think, they, I think they, they've been so kind of quiet for a while. So what? Is, what's the answer here? What do they want to? What are the? So what, what happened? We, we talked about this on a previous show, but I have an update. There was uh, a 
bill in the House of Hawaii to actually finally change that and uh, bringing in casinos. And uh, there's some belief that perhaps it has to do with the downturn in tourism due to uh, the pandemic, which may reverse itself once the vaccine gets uh, more widely distributed. But who knows what the who knows how badly people are going to want to get on planes again to fly to places for a vacation. People may be kind of uh, a little afraid of that for a while, even if they have the vaccine. You don't, you don't know, like, what's going to come from this once uh, more well, people I'll are vaccinated. You, from my experience working in casinos when I was a dealer and when I was a poor person, in general, those Hawaiians are the most aggressive gamblers. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, whether it's craps or just pressing and pressing and never collecting. If it's blackjack and they feel like they've hit a shoe, they're doubling and doubling. I mean, they're, they're some de- they're degens. I'm yeah. just saying. I don't know if you've ever watched. A, I mean, they're, they're so notorious. They literally are casinos in downtown Vegas to this day that cater just to Hawaiians. The California and the uh, well, you, you know the other one down. You, you know that uh, Las Vegas is the eighth island. That's uh, it's, yes. it's yeah, a, the biggest place uh, for Hawaiians live outside of Hawaii. So anyway, they they wanted to have a casino resort. In Kapolei, which is on, on in uh, Oahu, it's kind of near Honolulu, but not right in Honolulu. They wanted to have one uh, in Kapolei, and uh, the House bill was proposed. Uh, what what the state's going to get out of it is that uh, funds generated from there would help uh, Native Hawaiians build homes in the area. There's always the whole thing about uh, helping Native Hawaiians who have long kind of felt some kind of uh, resentment for. Uh, uh, all the the build up over there, and uh, they've kind of well, this place. I'm not saying break. I agree with it. I'm just saying that that's what the there's there's been like oh you know what, the white man came here and built all their their giant uh, resorts and and we're getting kind of pushed off to the side. So th- this is one of these things like this will help Native Hawaiians who are struggling. That'd be like me wanting to sue the state of Florida because they knocked down my temple and they put up a bowling alley. Give me a break. Did they? No, but no, I'm just saying. Okay. So anyway, the uh, they actually did knock down my temple, and you know what they put up? Like, like literally, I'm not making this up. But my original temple that I went to when I was you know, a young child, it closed, and within a year, guess what they put up? What? A church, a strip club. Oh, a church! Like really? A church. So there's a right. there's a uh, now interestingly there's there's some in the native uh, Hawaiian community who don't want this because maybe because there's so many Hawaiian degenerates I don't know but the the native Hawaiian community in general actually doesn't want this but the Hawaiian Homelands Commission does want it and before they were kind of allied with a lot of things now they're they, they kind of feel like uh, that they're they're very much split on this issue and it's been there's been caused some bitterness but anyway the update on this is that it has been deferred so they're not going to be making a decision on this even though this could generate uh, millions of dollars of revenues and uh, this could help people who have been uh, waiting for land and uh, home construction in hawaii you could go towards that but they uh, it's not it's it hasn't been uh, shut down this bill but it's been well, de- deferred well let me ask you this I've only been to Hawaii twice in my life. Once uh, I was young and once I was an adult. Now, I know with all that money you guys got flowing around there, you, you go to Hawaii every few months. What do you normally do when you're in Hawaii? You know, obviously during the day, the beach or some sort of sightseeing. What do you do at night more specifically, like after you have dinner? 
Like, you know, from like, say you have dinner in Hawaii with the family at six, seven at night, you're done by eight or nine. What do you, what in the past have you done? Well, not, yeah, not very much though. I will say that sometimes we will go night swimming in the pool there because it's usually very warm at night. So you, unlike uh, other places where at night you wouldn't want to go swimming because it's kind of cold, uh, it doesn't get cold at night in Hawaii. So, uh, so you wouldn't want to really swim in the ocean because it's dark. But, uh, like, the pool is lit up, and it's nice, and it's nice pool weather, so you can do that, or you can kind of just you know, hang out on the balcony. It's a, it, it is nice weather, so you can still be outdoors, even though you can't see as well, because it's dark. Now, so, is there a big nightclub scene in Hawaii? Because, I, I mean, I never even... I don't know about nightclubs. Yeah, I've, I've never see, I've never gone to Hawaii to where I'd even consider that. I wasn't a big nightclub guy anyway, but but I've whenever I've gone, I, I didn't go to Hawaii until I was uh, 27 years old in 1999. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that I and I went with a girlfriend then, and every time I've been there since, I have uh, been with uh, a girlfriend when I've gone. So I I haven't had the uh, need to do any kind of uh, singles type stuff. So, but I'm trying to think about what I've seen around. Uh, there's a lot well, of the, uh, the point I'm making is there may be a void where that would actually maybe be a positive thing to to do at night. It, it, it probably to some degree. I know there is some nightlife like in, in Honolulu in, and in uh, on Waikiki Beach. There's, there's yeah, uh, in, in some of the other areas that aren't as built up. Yeah, there's there's resorts that are probably kind of quiet at night. And in fact, in other islands like you know, on Maui or on the um, the Big Island, yeah, it's I, from what I've seen. At night, it's quieter, which I actually like. I don't. I like when it, when it's just full of young people uh, getting drunk and being uh, wild out there. But uh, I I haven't seen that actually stated as one of the reasons they like to see it. It's it's all been kind of economic. Trigaruski, how many times have you been to Hawaii in your life? Twice. Okay. You, you know what I, I should say about Hawaii? I want to tell you guys for you know whenever this uh, pandemic's over or mostly over and. People start thinking of taking trips like that again. In my experience going to Hawaii, and I, I've gone several times by now, uh, and, I, and I actually want to go again sometime when this is done pretty soon. Something I, I will say is that, number one, avoiding crowds is essential. Like the, like the it, aside from Waikiki Beach, where if you're going to go there, you're never going to avoid crowds. But uh, aside from that, you should try to seek to avoid the crowds there and try to go during uh, when everybody else isn't going and and uh, and and also you should you need to really price watch anything you book because uh, the prices fluctuate there wildly and you sh- the big mistake is to book like now for now for, for like four months from now I'm not talking about now like like during the pandemic I'm saying let's just say it's it's 2019 now okay and and uh, you want to go to Hawaii in four months you can book, but always make sure it's a refundable reservation and always keep watching the price because a lot of times the price will go down and you won't notice. And uh, what you can always do is then call up and reprice it if it's if it's cancelable thing. So like on my uh, last trip to Hawaii, you wouldn't believe the deals I got by just doing this. And I, and I even was watching like in the days leading up to it. So I went for, for the exact same price I paid for like mediocre rooms at some of these resorts, like just with with very little view and kind of just a very average hotel rooms. For basically the same price, I ended up in a, in a nice suite with a great view in both places, just by hmm. persistently checking what was available, what the prices were, 
calling up and asking about the price of an upgrade and uh, and when I asking for an upgrade when I get there and, and how much that would be. If if you really keep on it, you can get a tremendous value. But if you just go Okay, I'm going to book something. Uh, you know, now for four months from now, you're going to get a shitty deal. So, it, for those who uh, who like to get deals on things that get a lot of money, get a lot for your money. And I can tell you, it is so much of a nicer experience to have a nice place you're staying with, you know, with a nice view, with 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 a balcony. Um, you know, to, to have that over a regular hotel room actually is substantially better, especially if you're well, with a family. Kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing with cruising. Yes, cruising that very big as well. That's the same th- same factor. Even, yeah. even more so, probably. I could I, never. I, I'd feel uh, uh, claustrophobic just being in a inside cabin. I mean, I couldn't even do it. Wouldn't even want to go. You, you know what I don't understand are the people who cram a family of four into an inside cabin, and yet yeah. they waste their money on crap on board. So the money they could have, uh, they could have, and like there, there are a lot cruising. The value you get is tremendously different depending on uh, the way you book it. You've got to be very smart about the way you go about uh, booking cruises, and it's it's the opposite of airlines. You don't want to book way in advance. If the, the further you book in advance with cruises, the worse deal you're going to get. And uh, now that industry, industry, it's going to be turned on its ear because of the, the pandemic. I don't even know what the future is of cruising because who who mainly takes cruises? Old people. Who does not? want to get COVID, old people. So I, I don't, I guess if the vaccine is effective enough, they'll feel brave enough to do it, especially because a lot of old people feel like they don't want to just wait at home to eventually die of something else and do nothing with the end of their life. Like they're willing to take the chance because they, they don't have much time left anyway. Uh, I, that, uh, I am Greek. From the I am Greeks side. like that. And there's a number of, I, I've actually found that there's a number o- of older OPA. people. OPA. Uh, OPA. Yeah. There's a number OPA. of people who don't, who feel that way, who are older, that they're willing to take some chance because they're old and they don't want these to be their final years of trapped in their house, which is understandable. Uh, like, And I think about it, I go, you know what? That's true. I don't think that way. I keep thinking, like, when this is over, I'm going to have decades left probably on this earth. And and, and at least part of that time, I'm, I'm going to be in uh, good enough health to travel and uh, travel normally. So uh, that's for much older people. That's that's a different story, but but anyway, so maybe they'll return to the cruising, but uh, I don't know. But at least the cruising industry I knew before a, a tremendous difference in value you get from it, and uh, and I agree with you, Brandon. That as far as the quality of your room, the, the size of it, and uh, whether you have a balcony or not, it's just such a difference in the enjoyment you'll get out of the whole thing. So I made a mistake when I was uh, I don't know. I wasn't even of drinking age, I don't think. I went with a girlfriend on a last-minute spring break cruise on Norwegian, and I thought I got a great deal. I mean, I, I did get a great deal, but it was it was like it was a week long or seven days, six nights. It was this was 1999, 1998, uh, or maybe even before that, and it was uh, $600, maybe $700 for both of us, but it was an inside cabin. This was my first cruise. I never went on a cruise as a, as a young child, and I didn't know any better. And it was it was fine because I was with my girlfriend, but still, like we were both regretting whatever it was that we you know we just didn't pay to get a cabin you know, or a, you know a balcony, a bigger room, and so I'll never do that again. Yeah, you know, it's it not just that. Also, we were like kind of newly dating, so it was romantic. We were in bed anyhow, and but still, like it was a little uh, a little too much. The bed came out of the wall. It was like you know it was a real small room. <laughs> Yeah, uh, something else you is that... You definitely couldn't fit two people in the shower. It was that small. Yeah, well, yeah. the showers are always tiny in those things unless you get a really yeah. big room. But I, something else I've, I've uh, 
advocated for for people is that number one, eat in the specialty restaurants as much as possible. Spring for the extra money. It's totally worth it. And, and second, that with the excursions on shore, you should always try to book your own thing. Book your own private tour. You'll get a much better deal and a much better experience. Do not go on these group tours. They're awful. They're awful and expensive. And, and it's funny because someone on Poker Fraud Alert in the forum a few years ago posted like they're going to go on their first cruise. They want some tips. So I posted a bunch of tips, and I got some negative responses from people who are saying, oh, Druff's trying to tell you to ruin your vacation and be cheap, and, and uh, you know, Druff's trying to say the, the only way you can have fun is, is, is by spending no money and, and being bored. And like, like, everyone was completely missing the point of what I was saying there. Like I was trying to give advice on how to uh, spend the money in the right places, not be cheap, but to spend it in the right places where it's important and not wasted where it's not important. And to do things that are going to be optimal. And I, like, I was discussing things that are kind of like borderline scams on there that are a total waste of money. And people mistook it for me saying, hey, just be cheap and spend no money, which I, I don't agree you should do. Like I, I, like I wouldn't want to – just like you, I would not want to be in an inside cabin even if I got it for free. It just would – it would be crappy. You know what was really – must have been a nightmare is when, when those ships couldn't be they, – when they were not allowed to dock anywhere because dock, of COVID. Yeah. and. The people in the inside cabins, well, everybody was, but the inside cabins, it was the worst for them. People were not allowed to go out of their cabins except for two hours a day split up in little 10-minute increments. So 22 hours of the 24, you had to be inside your cabin. Now, can you imagine if you were in an inside cabin for three weeks like that? That'd be like being in jail. Yeah. And it, like, yeah, you, had, you could just walk around like a little track to get ex- exercise Staying six feet away. I remember reading about that. Yes, and and only like uh, like in ten minute intervals, uh, the, like uh, that will add up to two hours throughout the day, and that was all you could do. And then you were you forced back to your room, and you're stuck in there. And uh, and it, it it's worse than being in there because just voluntarily because you just feel like sitting in your room. Here, you know you are trapped. You cannot leave, which makes it even feel more claustrophobic because you know you Jeez. actually can't leave. It's a difference. It's sure. a difference between. Being able to leave and just saying, yeah, I can leave any time, but I just don't feel like it. And you cannot leave. <laughs> it's a very big difference. Even think in your own house. Think if you were actually told you can't set foot outside your house for the next week. I, I don't mean like can't go to places indoor. I mean like just told you cannot set foot outside your front door. You can't go in the backyard. You're stuck, stuck indoors in your house for the next week. You would start to feel kind of trapped much more than if you just happened to kind of not really – Go anywhere and just sit inside your house for a week. So sure, it's it's a it's a big difference. So uh, here's a here's a question for each of you before we move on to the next thing. What is the longest period of time since you've been an adult that you have not set foot outdoors? And this includes if if you want to say a cruise, it can include a cruise, but a cruise like the second you set outdoors in the ship where. You feel the wind on your face. That counts as being outdoors. So what's what's the longest period of time you have been indoors straight, and when was it, since you were an adult, or, or do you remember? Well, the thing with me is, fortunately, I've never been very – I've never been sick to the point where I needed to be, you know, hospitalized for, you know, a long degree. And I've always had pets, so I've always had to go outside, even if it was a couple times a day, oh. to let a dog out, to go for a walk. So – let me think. It would have to be. I mean, I there's no. It's never been. I've never not stepped outside to whether it's to get mail to get you know air. I would have to say maybe two days. 
at the most, you know, if I had like a really bad something cold, you know, food poisoning, you know, some something like that where I was sleeping a lot. Because uh, mainly because I, you know, I have animals. So even during the corn, you know, and yeah. then like going outside to check the mail, um, never a substantial amount of time. It's never been a week of just not even walking outside yeah. my door. Um, well, also, it doesn't, not just home though. I mean, you could be somewhere else. You could be at a hotel. You could be somewhere else where you're just. Uh... Oh, okay. Hold on. Okay. Well, you know what? I mean, I can tell you in 2007, six, I was going to commerce a lot. And there was one particular time I stayed in a hotel there, like Mark Newhouse style, for about four or five weeks. Um, and there were a few days in a row where, you know, several times where I didn't even leave commerce. But I would walk out those little sliding glass doors and just stretch or something. So I don't know if that counts. No, that still counts. Um, That's, I mean, actually never yeah. getting fresh air outdoors at all. I, you know, even going to hotels, staycations, things of that nature, I can't imagine it's ever been more than two or three days. Now, Trader Ruski, and I don't even remember that, like, you know, but I'm sure it has been. Yeah. I'm sure there's been times where two or three days I've, you know, gambled or, um, like, you know, I used to go to barge and trips like that, like, you know, when I'm Mohegan Sun, uh, Foxwoods, maybe there was probably two or three days where we just were in the casino and didn't leave to go anywhere, but it would never be more than that. Trader Ruski, what, what about you? Well, what comes to mind is my weekend trip to the Bellagio that ended up lasting 31 days. What? So I'd. Oh, yeah. Oh, we gotta hear, I gotta tell us. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was really just, you know, I'd just broken up with my girlfriend after my first wife, and I was with Lacey like seven years. And then, um. Lacey Jones? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So we ended up. So then, um, I you know I go to Vegas. The first, so the, I was there weekend. I was having like every poker session. You know, I was winning. You know, twelve to fifteen hundred. Like it's twenty forty or forty eight. I think it was fifty. I think it was thirty sixty back then. And then, um, you know, when I hit like three royal flushes. Um, in, in uh, video poker, and then I'm just like, it was like, it was like. Uh, Earl, it was, I think it was right after Thanksgiving. I didn't, what, you know, year? Like, Fuck what year? It. What year? What God, year? it must what have been, uh, it must have been maybe 2012 or 13 ish. Oh, wow. All right. So anyway, yeah. So then it was just, yeah. So then I'm just like, fuck it. I was going to the gym and then I'd go, yeah, I guess I probably had a few spots goes where I'd go next door to Caesars, you know, a couple times a week. So. Okay, yeah, well, that, that, count, but that counts. That counts. That counts. If you walk to Caesars. No, I know. So, so there was probably though, but there were probably like four or five days in there where I was just poker, you know. So, you, you really think there was four or five days where you never set set foot outside right at all for anything outside the Bellagio? Okay. Exactly. See, because it's because see because see with me it's hard because there are a lot of stretches where I've been in a hotel five days a week, you know, to do a specific thing, but I can't remember if I ever left to get food. Or, you know what I mean? It's hard right. to really know. Like, you know, if I left to go anywhere, walked out, I, I just, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's been like two or three days, definitely, where I haven't done that. But like a week or longer, probably not. No, I, definitely not. Not a week. Well, my my longest one was in, I know when it was, it was in March 2015, and it was at Harris Rincon. I was there for five days, and from the moment I checked in until when I checked out. Kill, hold on. Trader Reese, you got to kill that background noise, buddy. My bad. <laughs> Thank you. From the, I'm sorry, go on, Todd. From the moment I checked in in March 2015, for, 
for five days until when I checked out, I did not set foot outside. Wait, say it again. How long? Five days. Oh, wow. And where, I'm sorry, where was that? Oh, Harris, Harris, Harris Rincon. I was there yeah. to play a ton of video poker to earn seven stars. They had a good game there. And uh, so my, what I did was I played video poker, I ate, and I did radio one of the days from there. But And I, I think I got some comp massage I had, but really for, I did for the most part is play video poker, sleep, eat, and then one day did radio. And somehow I just never had the occasion to set foot outside at all. Now, wasn't and, there some scandal with the comp massage, if I recall? Correctly? That was that was a different trip. I, there was a, there was a scandal with the comp massage, but that wasn't that trip. So right. uh, anyway, I I didn't realize it till I left. And when I left, and I was dragging my luggage to my car in the Harris Rincon parking lot, I thought, shit, I never stepped foot outside this place in the entire. Five days I was here, and I've never done that in my life. I've at least in, as in my adult life, I never went five straight days without actually setting foot outdoors at some point. And there yeah. I had not, and didn't think of it. But yeah, I'll tell you, if people told me I'm trapped in here and I'm not allowed to set foot outdoors, I would have like freaked out. I would have said like, "Well, because that's a psychological thing, right?" It was just the fact that I I didn't even think of going out. I was so focused on the video you poker know, and 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 everything else I was doing there. I just. Uh, what about the uh, Great Tahoe snowstorm of two thousand and no, no, I was going outside because I was getting sick of the the restaurants at Harris uh, at Harris uh, Lake Tahoe. So I kept going. I would walk out in the snow to next door places next door to pick up food or to There's eat food there. Place, right? There was the yeah. pizza place. Was there a pizza story in there? Yes, the there was. There was the, the sixteen inch. He devoured a large pizza in literally less than 3.4 minutes, he said. You're close. It was 10 minutes. But yes, in 10 minutes, I devoured a 16-inch pizza, which I had originally Jesus. originally made for takeout. And then I go, shit, I can't walk back a, a pizza in 15-degree weather. It'll be freezing by the time I get back to the room. So Gluttony. So I said, okay, I'm going to eat it here. And they handed it to me. And I, I sat down at a table with it. And then they, uh, I guess they served it to me. They didn't give it a, a box anymore because I was needing it there. They served it to me. Ten minutes later, the waitress comes back. Uh, is there anything else I can – wait a minute. It, where'd the pizza go? I ate the whole thing. She says, you ate the whole thing? In, it, how, how long has it been? I said, I don't know, like ten minutes. Says, how could you have eaten that whole thing in ten minutes by yourself? I'd have to think, you know, and I will. Maybe next time I'm on, I can give you a better answer. But I know it definitely would be something similar to what you're saying because it's definitely not at home just because of the, getting the mail. I get my mail every day, the newspaper, the dog. Um, it's a, that's a good question. It is a good question. I hadn't thought of it until that happened. Question. When that happened, I, I had to go back in my memory to think, was there any other occasion like this where I was just inside and never walked out? And while there were times like at the World Series of Poker where I'd be staying at the Rio and I wouldn't leave the Rio for a bunch of days, I still would walk outside. I'd walk outside a lot. I'd walk outside a lot because uh, um, when I take breaks sometimes at the World Series, I'll, I'll briefly walk outside with one of the exits just to get some fresh air, even if it's hot. But, See, uh, I do that too. So that's why it's kind of hard to even – Tell you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if I walk to you know to the front, you know, exit by registration, I I, I always get air. I want to see what the weather's like. Yeah. For some know. for some reason, I just didn't do this in that one ring on trip. I just didn't have the idea to do it. I just was so focused on everything going on there. I I never set foot outside, and I thought back, yeah, I never set foot outside. That's so weird. I had only been there once. I've only been to ring con once, and I wasn't that thrilled with it. I I, I mean, wasn't it was either. Right. It's, no, it's it's it's, it's, it's kind of dumpy. It is kind of dumpy. And I think Ocean's Eleven has much better poker, right? Or Ocean something? What's it called? Ocean. 
the only re- the only reason I went to Harris Rincon was one they used to have good video poker to run up to your credits, and number two, I used to get comps there. But uh, aside from that, there's not much of a reason to go. Sons of bitches. Yep. Okay. Let's let's see what we got next here. It's going very slow because I have uh, all these tangents here. All you people on here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it'll be good for the the listener this week. They will. They're going to have a lo- they're going to have a lot of hours. Okay, so uh, our last regular topic. This I, this one I think you'll find interesting, even though it's not about Vegas. They did a study of gamblers in Massachusetts about how much they know about what they're doing, and uh, the results were not good, which no you good. might expect. That uh, no they, good. they basically wanted to see number one uh, how responsible these gamblers were when they if they knew when to stop and and all that if they were degenerates or if they were responsibly gambling just for entertainment <laughs> yeah you laugh at that but it's uh, funny it's funny but then also if they know what they're doing regarding the games they're playing if they even understand their games so they this is called a uh, a gambler's literacy study and interestingly even though this is about Massachusetts gamblers this was actually done by a Canadian psychologist, and he claims that only uh, 37.5% of gamblers that were studied there had, quote, high levels of gambling literacy, which is a term I've never heard before, gambling literacy. But uh, this was uh, reported on uh, WWLP, which is a TV station in the uh, Boston area, and they said uh, Massachusetts gamblers could benefit from a better understanding of the games they play and the risks involved and from greater use of strategies like setting a limit before beginning to gamble. So they said they studied uh, 1,500 gamblers in Massachusetts and found that uh, their beliefs and behaviors involving uh, responsible gaming are mostly in line with their peers in other states. But the Canadian gamblers are apparently more responsible uh, so this is uh, a doctor named uh, Dr. Richard Wood. You know, Dick Wood? That's his real mm-hmm. name. Dick Wood. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Dick Wood. At least he calls himself Richard. They have to be a troll. I mean, they've got to be trolls. <laughs> well, it's not Dick Wood. It's actually Richard Wood. I'm calling him Dick Wood. But I'm, I'm sure he's gotten that joke a lot of times uh, over his life. Sure. <laughs> Wouldn't you change his name by this point when you're Richard Wood? It's kind of like a James Bond thing. Wood. Dick would. Like, that's how you introduce yourself. The only thing worse than this would be Richard Head. Jesus. So, okay, do, do, Dr. Dick Wood, who uh, is a psychologist who specializes in the study of uh, gaming behavior. Uh, he actually presented the findings of this online survey of uh, 1,512 Massachusetts gamblers who had gambled in the last 12 months. And he gave... Uh, Scores based upon personal responsibility, gambling literacy, honesty and control, and pre-commitment. I'm guessing pre-commitment is probably like whether you've uh, decided in advance what the most you're going to lose is. That's just my guess. Uh, he said that uh, 77% of the people surveyed actually scored high for personal responsibility. Uh, but And that uh, 17% scored in the medium range and 6% scored low. Uh, That's what this Dick Wood is saying. Well, for for only for the uh, part of the personal responsibility. However, on gambling literacy, that is, uh, people who know what they're doing, uh, only thirty seven point five percent had uh, high scores. Thirty four point four had medium, and twenty eight point one 
were assessed as having low gambling literacy, which means basically they uh, they don't know they don't understand the games they're playing. Which I've made this oh. case that that this has been on the rise pretty much every year. That if you go back to the seventies and eighties, and you grab someone who's playing blackjack for exa- for example, just the, let's go back in time to nineteen eighty five. And uh, we'll be able to walk in the casino. We're not kids then like we really were, but let's, uh, let's take our present selves in 85, and we walk in, and uh, we, we quiz random people at blackjack tables how much they know about basic strategy. Uh, most of them would. Most of them would know what they're doing. Most of them would understand that uh, – um, most of them, if you asked them, would you play a game where you, you can't double after split, they'd say no. Would you, would you play a game where it's six to five blackjack, they would laugh in your face. So people would laugh these terrible games out of the casino back then because gamblers then, even if they were not positive expectation, as most were not, uh, they still understood the strategy. They still understood the basic strategy. They understood what was a good game, what was a bad game, etc. Um, as Vegas became a place more for entertainment rather than just pure gambling, uh, there you had more and more recreational gamblers who had no clue what they were doing. And this increased every year as Vegas's focus was pushing away from gambling, and then other places, other casinos that had gambling were were doing somewhat of the same thing. So, it does not surprise me that thirty seven point five percent of these Massachusetts players, uh, only thirty seven point five percent, knew what they were doing with the games they were playing. And uh, so, I don't exactly know how. They define gambling literacy. I don't know if it has to do with understanding which games have the best odds or understanding how to play the games, but I have been of the belief that with every passing year that the gamblers are getting less and less informed and basically dumber and dumber, which is what is allowing them to get away with degrading video poker pay tables, with uh, making blackjack rules worse, with 6-5 to five blackjack, of course. Uh, all, all these things that uh, in the past would not have been able to work and uh i remember reading some kind of editorial about uh how to bring people back to vegas this is before the pandemic this is like in 2019 someone wrote an editorial of oh you know they need to start bringing back better blackjack rules and video better video poker pay tables i'm going no they don't i'd like to see that but so let me ask you here not to cut you off but this is a little tangent when is the first time that you remember becoming in any form, whether it's poker, blackjack, I'm going to assume it's blackjack first, gambling literate. Well, it depends if you mean gambling literate or an advantage player. No, gambling literate. That's what I said. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, no, I go way back. I, I was, that was before I could even gamble. That was before I was 21. I was able... Okay, so tell, well, what, what did you do? Um, okay, hold on. I'll go first. So, example, when I first started playing blackjack, uh, and this was before I was 21 too, I did not know obviously you know all the rules and basic strategy i remember i would i was checking out books from the local library on uh what was that this famous stanford guy wang wong yes stanford wong stanford wong and i remember this is hilarious because i know this doesn't exist now there used to literally be a magazine at my local grocery store like in the you know magazine section that was a blackjack magazine and then the whole magazine was about blackjack. How to, you know, it was a, literally it was a magazine about blackjack. I, 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 so I go to the grocery store. I think it only came out once a month because, you know, how much can you really have weekly? And I was reading that and I remember checking out books from Stanford Wong. Was it Wong? It's Wong, right? Wong, yes. Wong? Yeah. And then reading about his system. And that was how it started for me. 
That was way before any poker books or any you know knowledge. Uh, that was like the mid eighties, mid nineties, rather. Yeah. Uh, so what about what about you? For me, it was uh, it was before I was twenty one, but shortly before the the first actual gambling I did in a casino was when I was fifteen. I played video poker once I felt I was tall enough to pass as an adult, as long as they don't see my face. My face looked like a fifteen year old, but uh, my my. You know, I was like five foot eight then or something. So I, it was good enough to pass as an adult. I just couldn't let them see my face. So I'd find like video poker machines that were facing the wall in the corner and would play those and just keep cashing out the money over and over and over again because I didn't, once, if I was caught with credits in the machine, I couldn't cash them out. And, uh, I usually got away with it. I, I would get caught once in a while and then I'd get a lecture about how I'm breaking the law, blah, blah, blah. I pretend to take it seriously. And then, uh, you know, I wouldn't, in that same trip, I wouldn't do it again. But uh, so, so I was, I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I made some mistakes in video poker. I was not. I, there was a lot of things I didn't know. I wasn't a total fish, but I also did make some mistakes. Uh, blackjack, I didn't try to play because they would see me. They would see from my face I was nowhere near twenty-one and wouldn't let that wouldn't fly. So I didn't try to play blackjack until I was actually twenty-one and knew I could show ID and prove I was twenty-one. I turned twenty-one in uh, nineteen ninety-three. Uh, I I learned right away how to play at least very close to proper basic strategy. There may be a few things I forgot, uh, that they, some of the more obscure things that were a little tougher uh, that weren't as obvious. But I, I, got, uh, I, I did attempt to learn basic strategy perfectly at that time. What I oddly didn't attempt to do, I guess not that oddly, I had thought card counting was much more difficult than it really was. I thought you had to be some sort of like Rain Man-like uh, savant to do it. So I, I just thought I wasn't going to have the ability to do it. So I didn't even consider maybe I should learn how to do this. And uh, then I remember my brother learned it. And once I heard my brother learned it, I thought, okay, well, you know, that uh, I guess normal people can. My brother's very smart, uh, but I, I thought, you know, obviously if, if if it's just a matter of learning how to do it, I, I can do it too. So, uh, strangely enough, the strange part was I still didn't do it. I don't know if I was too lazy to do it or whatever, but I, I didn't do it for, then for another two years or so. And then I, I remember in July of 2000, I had a trip where I went to Vegas and I just played basic strategy blackjack at like $5 a hand and somehow I lost 500 bucks over the trip. I just ran very bad. And, and back then that was a big deal to lose to me, 500 bucks. Now I had money from, I had a regular job and I, I made decent money, so it wasn't like the 500 uh, killed me, but it, to lose gambling just seemed like a tremendous waste to lose $500 like that. And then I thought to myself, what an idiot I am. Why, why am I playing negative expectation games that I know are negative expectation? I just kind of sit there and hope to get lucky. I, why don't I do what my brother's been doing and, and learn how to count cards? So I, I went and bought Stanford Wong's book, and, oh, and, I, and, and, and I also... Me, well, I did that, and I also got a text file online that was in a, from some blackjack site that was kind of like a quick uh, version of it on how to learn the very basics of it. So I, I kind of used the combination of those, and I and then I learned on a blackjack simulator, which wasn't made for card counters. Just to, it was just for me to run practice hands and car, and count using the simulator. So this way, I'd be used to this by the time I go to the casino. And uh, so the first time I actually did any kind of card counting was in October of 2000, and there I was already like 28 and a half years old. And 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 uh, then I started playing poker only a few months after that, as I mentioned earlier in the show when I did my uh, Larry Flint segment. The very first hand of poker I played was at the Hustler Casino in January of '01. So uh, anyway, I, I my gambling literacy was always there from the moment I was able to gamble 
because of uh, I, I wasn't going to be, even though I wasn't learning to be an advantage player right away. I should have, but I didn't. In fact, I regretted it because in 93, there were a lot of good opportunities still in blackjack. I didn't have the big, the biggest bankroll then, for sure. I was only a 21-year-old. And, but you uh, had the biggest heart. Well, I, I, w- I wish we actually had the, uh, the the pool with the gold lettering. Then I would have had a bigger bankroll. I could have had my parents just yep. spot me a big bankroll. But it wasn't like that. I actually Especially didn't. Especially the price of gold back then. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I I wish I had more. But I I, I had, you know, I probably, I, I had more than the average 21-year-old. I think I probably like like twenty or 30000 to my name. But uh, but still, I, it's not like I had a large bankroll to make big money and risk a lot. But I, I still would have loved to have learned card counting then. And uh, because there were a lot more opportunities to do it and get away with it in 93 than there were in the mid and late 90s when they started to clamp down a lot harder in Vegas and elsewhere. So I I was a little annoyed that I wasted those years. And I know some people who were exactly my age, who were born the same year as me, who did very well in those years in the early 90s when they were able to play. So uh, I I still don't understand those who like show up there not knowing. And some people don't want to know. I've told the show the story before on this show of this woman who uh, kind of hitched a ride, not literally hitched, but you know, got a ride with me and uh, my then girlfriend to Vegas. She wasn't going to go hang out with us, but she was. She just wanted to be driven there, and we were friends with her, so she came along. And she says, "So Todd, you, you're good at blackjack, right?" And this is after I was a card counter and everything. I said, "Oh yeah." So she, so I explained to her she can't just learn card counting. She said, no, no, I don't want to know that. Uh, just can you give me some basic tips on blackjack? I said, what do you mean basic tips? You know, just things to really pay attention to. I said, okay. Number one, don't ever play six to five blackjack. And I explained to her what that was. I explained why. I explained why it's so awful. Anyway, uh, she said she understood. I gave her a few other very basic tips. Uh, sometime during the trip, we're walking around a casino. Who's sitting there at a six to five blackjack table? Sons of bitches. So I asked her, I asked her, why did you do this? I didn't want to give her too hard of a time. It was her money. And she said, oh, well, I tried the three to two at this place you told me. And then I, I, I was unlucky there. So uh, I, I was lucky. Uh, I tried here and I'm getting luckier here. So I'm going to play this. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, she doesn't even want to, like, apparently she doesn't want to take this seriously. Like, like, I explained to her in this long drive why six to five is so bad. And she understood. She clearly understood. But she threw it out the window because it, quote, wasn't lucky at the place it was three to two. So a lot of gamblers have, have kind of gone that direction, and they, they stopped caring about video poker pay tables. They stopped caring about uh, blackjack rules and, and the six to five versus three to two. And they stopped caring about whether a roulette t- wheel is single zero, tri- double zero, or triple zero. Uh, th- there was a story told See, by- And the thing that's interesting to me is it's very odd that it would be that way now with so much information available. Like, you literally could know nothing know, about gambling and be half intelligent and just Google it while you're on the flight to Vegas for the first time and read about it and have somewhat of a clue. No? What am I missing here? I'll, t- I'll tell you what you're missing, is that gam- well, recreational gamblers are looking to get lucky, not play their... Like, I'll get questions like, what's the luckiest casino? I've really had people ask me that. Or, uh, um, yeah, I've heard that. Or, or they'll, they'll, they'll pick the video poker which, that has the... One is- that 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 has the the best. <laughs> Which one is it? What do you say? If, if you were going to troll someone and someone asked you what's the luckiest casino, what would you respond? I, I'd, I'd probably say Arizona Charlie's. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, that's funny. You, you know, uh, I, I also like. I think the reason that people like they don't want to learn. They, they, part of it's just laziness. 
part of it is they're kind of jackpot chasing. They they want to play like the video poker that has the the, the jackpots or the, the big payouts for four aces with with a low kicker or things like that. They they don't want something where exactly. they can just grind to the smallest loss or a small win. They want something which is exciting, and they're willing to really give up a lot, partially out of laziness and partially out of just uh, kind of chasing the big thrill to, to where they're just not interested. It's like effort to them. They, they just want to have fun. It kind of feels like effort. Even simple things. You say, okay, I understand if you don't want to learn all of basic strategy. Let's say someone, I just want to play blackjack and relax. I don't want to memorize every move to make. Okay, so you say, okay, well, at least find a game that doesn't pay six to five in blackjack. Let's say back in the day when that was easier to find. They don't want to do it. Like it's simple, simple like that that can really change the house edge. They don't want to do. So that's the way a lot of gamblers are. Where back in the seventies and eighties, the gamblers, this was very important to them. They were they were very aware. So it, it's been decreasing over time, and. Uh, I know that uh, Caesars was considering, I don't know if they ended up doing it, but Caesars actually was considering at one point doing a soft push-out of what they called basic strategy losing players. And that were the players who are smart enough to know the best video poker pay tables, even if they're negative expectation, and the ones who... uh, who, who always played the best video poker games there, or the ones who are basic strategy blackjack players, and the ones that avoid slots because slots are a losing proposition unless you are an advantage player who knows what to look for. And like, so those type of players who are going to lose in the long run for sure, but lose at kind of a, a, a low rate. And they, there was actually a decision that was being thrown around at Caesars that they weren't going to ban these people. But they were going to start really decreasing their offers and really making it kind of less appealing to go there to where the hope is that these top 20% of players, as far as skill, will just kind of decide, eh, I don't really like Caesars anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to MGM. They actually want to lose these customers. They're not going to go as far to put, to actually ban them, but they're going to do everything else to make it kind of like softly unpleasant for them and give them very little. So I don't know if that actually got implemented, but that was seriously being discussed because they realized that they are making much more money from the bottom 80% who don't know what they're doing. And that's a very big departure from the past when they were happy to have any gambler who was negative expectation, even slightly. So this this is not a surprise. And and we were – Brandon, remember we were a Venetian – and then you walk, I thought, it, or maybe it was the one attached to the Venetian, but you walk up to that guy playing video poker, I think he was smoking a cigar, and you're like, sir, I gotta tell you, the one right behind you is 9 to 5, and this one's 8 to 6, and then he just wouldn't even move a seat. I have a story yeah, like that too. Right next to me, even worse than this, in Laughlin, an older guy, probably in his 60s or something, sitting next to me. This is probably in 2012. And I'm playing a uh, bonus poker, an 8-5 bonus. And he is sitting playing 8-5 jacks next to me. The strategy for the two is the same. Except in 8-5 bonus, you get uh, better payout. The higher payouts are better. So there's no downside to playing 8-5 bonus over 8-5 jacks. It's only upside. Because there's there's nothing better about 8-5 jacks. There's, there's not a single thing on the pay table on 8-5 jacks or better that's better than 8-5 bonus and it's the same strategy. 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm getting a call here from someone that wants to be added on. I don't even know, probably hasn't been on in years, but she's listening and she has something to contribute here to the subject. Can you call our uh, our friend Jeannie in Las Vegas, Todd? Yeah, yeah, uh, I will. I will add Jeannie. She wants. She has said she wants. There's some new game. I know nothing more than that, and she wants to discuss it. Maybe ask our opinion or tell us. So give her a ring. Okay. I will. I will give her a ring as, as I'm finishing the story. So I told him. Yeah. I, I I brought it to his attention. I had. I was just trying to be nice here. I was not. Uh, I I didn't gain anything. I wasn't asking him to give me anything for this, and I wasn't trying to get him off a certain machine or anything. I was being like honestly nice, like you were there. And I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know there's a machine right next to me on the other side, which is the exact same game, except the pay table's better." And the same strategy, you're just going to, if you hit some of these four of a kinds, you're going to get paid more. And he says, oh, no, that's okay. I'll stay here. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. Here, look, look. And I showed him my pay table. I said, look at my pay table. See, it's the same thing. Except, oh, look at four of a kind. You get more for hitting certain four of a kinds than you do on yours. And everything else is the same. You, you don't have a new game to learn. You're not giving up anything. You're not only getting paid one for two pair. It's the exact same, but better. So um, there's one right next to me on the left. The one on the right, uh, so, so so I told him this, and no, it wasn't even on the left. It was that he could actually switch games within the machine. That's what it was. So he wouldn't do it. No, that's okay. I'll just stick with this. So I tried a few times. He, he didn't want to hear it, so I gave up. I said, I tried. So, okay, I'm going to call Jeannie right now. Yeah, we've, we've had her on here before. It's a uh, very good friend. What a friend. lovely show this is turning out to be. Yes, a very good friend of, of Brandon's, and uh, I'm friendly with her as well. And uh, we'll see what she has to say. She lives in Las Vegas. Will she tell us what the Lucky Casino is? Well, you can ask her. She might know better than me. She she lives in Vegas. She might know where it's Lucky. Let's put Jeannie on. Good morning. Good morning, Jeannie. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. What could you possibly have talked about for nine hours while I slept? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder, at the end of the show, I say, how did I talk this long? How, what did I say all this time? Okay. Like, <laughs> so, I just woke up. What time is it? Five o'clock. It's five o'clock, yeah. There's a new game at Sahara. And since you're talking about odds and um, house edge, I need to understand this. So, Todd, are you familiar with Ultimate Texas Hold'em? Yes. And how it works? Yeah. Good. Um, and Brandon, of course, knows this game. They have a new game at Sahara, but they changed one thing, and they call it Ultimate Poker. The thing that they changed is on the back end, when you get your cards, before the flop, you can bet 3 or 4x, correct? Yeah. You following me? Okay, good. So on the flop, all right, but but you don't bet until you see the first flop card, which is very similar to a game that they play at Barge. Um, Courchevel, actually. Courchevel, you see the first flop card before you even bet. It's the same thing. So they turn over the flop card, but you can only bet 3x. You can no longer bet 4x in the game. How on God's earth do they make their money? You're getting such an advantage by seeing that card. I mean, the difference between 3x and 4x, is it that big that the house would make more money by introducing this game and replacing their only ultimate Hold'em game with this game. Yeah, there must be something to it. I'd have to figure okay, it well, out. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. So a couple questions. What, first off, what is the name of the game? 
It's called Ultimate Poker. They changed the game from Ultimate Texas Hold'em. Okay. As far as so I know, if I'm hearing you, is everything, it. is everything else the same except for in this game you don't bet before, and then once you see a flop, you can bet three times uh, once you yes. see the, the first three cards. And then what happens if you no, don't want to bet? No, 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 no. You can, okay, you see the first card of the flop, not all three. And then you can bet your three X. You can no longer bet four X. Oh, you see one the card only. The same. You see one you see card. One card. Oh. Right before you put your three X, you can no longer bet four X, and that's the only difference. The other thing is they have a sort of a progressive jackpot where the dollar, if you hit on the flop of Full House, for example, it pays you two hundred dollars. That was my first hand. I had seven eight. I saw the first card. It was an eight. Um, I put three X, and then the other, the other two cards were eight seven. After I bet, so I won two hundred dollars on the progressive. Not bad for a dollar investment. Yeah, no, in not addition not at all. to the other money. But how can the house introduce this game and make more money, or think this is a better idea? I'm sure. First of all, I, I can almost, or I can just tell you. A thousand percent, it's making money still because it, it wouldn't be there. And these games are usually simulated hundreds of thousands, right. of millions of times before they're ever introduced on the table. But just hearing what you're saying, I wouldn't be able to give an educated answer. I'd have to research it more. I don't know, unless Todd right. really can determine something. So, wait, so what happens if you don't want to bet after the first card? If you don't want to bet three X, can you check like normal? Yeah, of course, of course, and then and then everything and then else is the say, same. Yes, this on after the flop you can bet two x, and then on the river you can bet one x after you see the river card. So everything else is the same. This is Corcheval, which was introduced in Europe, and it sort of took off here a little bit, but it is a form of poker. You get um, it's yeah. the same thing as Texas Hold'em, only you get to see the flop card and you get five cards. That's Corcheval. I think, you get I think they had that at that. Didn't they have that at that? Uh, what was that club at uh, on uh, the Champs-Élysées? Kaderuski. What's happening, Jamie? And, <laughs> no, could it be dropped that they're just trying to do something nice for the players and give them oh, yeah. advantage in this game? There, that's casinos always. They, they they always have the players in mind. So, uh, so I, well, and, well, but seriously, could it be because didn't they have that Bellagio game that hold them and you and didn't you like kill it and they put it in and then they had to take it out because or was that more just on the credits? No, that was just about the the the, like, the credits you were earning from that uh, heads up Texas oh, Hold'em. Okay. That was just Bellagio has a, a Texas a blackjack game called Switch where you're allowed to switch your you play two hands and you're allowed to switch your cards. Yeah, but that's you know uh, that? yeah. yeah they're, they're, those variants are all, almost never good. They're, those variants almost always are, right. are bad for the player. Horrible. Yeah. But, well, here's the thing about the Sahara: every single blackjack table, unless you're playing in the high stakes, and by the way, the high stakes is um, you have to play hundred minimum bet is a hundred. So besides that, every table and it's a very small casino. I don't know what happened. I thought it used to be bigger. Um, every table. It has the continuous shuffle, six deck continuous shuffle. Yeah, so it's impossible to count. That's blackjack, right? There's not even a regular six deck game, so there's no point in playing blackjack. I didn't know that. 
Although I did play Brandon's favorite game because I had a $25 free bet, and I put it on, let's see, roulette, 19 through 36, and won 25 bucks. Nice. I just didn't understand how the house can make, house can introduce this game because I would think that this is an advantage for the players, except that maybe when, I don't know, maybe a lot of players are playing 4X from the get, no matter what Okay, is there, any other, is there only any other difference at all besides what you mentioned? Nope. There's nothing else. Payouts are all the same? Nothing Everything, else. Huh. Yes. I, I just Googled online. There's nothing showing. Like, I mean, there's nothing, you know, with that name of that game. Yeah, brand new. Yeah, I tried that too. I'm not finding anything. They said they huh. just opened it up because, well, I haven't been there since December. Let's see. Um, December, probably the last week in December I was there, and it was the regular Ultimate Texas Hold'em. So it's only since January that they introduced this game. I'll find out next time I go. I go to play the tournament. Hmm. Okay. I'm, just, I'm trying to th- I'm wondering if that's just a game at Sahara only or if they have it, if they offer it other places. So I'm not seeing anything. I'm trying well, to. Well, that's what I was wondering if they have it at different, you know, they, listen, it's a low limit casino. Their minimum bet is $5. Most of the other casinos offer it at, at $10 minimum bet. Hmm. Still not seeing anything. Very strange. And it's called, wait, it's just, it has the same name? It's just Ultimate Texas Hold'em? No, it's, oh, I'm it's sorry, called Ultimate, Ultimate, Poker. Ultimate Poker. They changed the name. Yeah, okay, I'm still not seeing anything. Huh. Call them up. <laughs> poker. With, oh, yeah, I'm Wizard sure there'll of... be somebody very savvy. Yeah, it has to be relatively new because even on Wizard of Oz, Odds, which has every game, it's it's not on there. It's nothing. I don't see it. Well, it is new. It's less than five weeks old. Remember, I think yeah. go out the month of January. Yep, every all the rules I'm seeing is just the same. Bet three, four, before, then the dealer re- yeah, reveals a fob. Interesting. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. I mean, it will it will be online at some point relatively soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I was looking, too. The problem is it's kind of a generic name, so it's kind of hard to find. In fact, there was even that uh, fail... Nevada poker site called Ultimate Poker for a while. So I, I can't <laughs> find it from the quick check, but so to understand again when what happens, so you get the you don't do the play bet of the three times until after you see one flop card. You get a pair of aces, right? Yeah. Normally in Ultimate Texas Hold'em, you're gonna put four let's say you have a ten dollar bet on the play. And the ante. You're going to bet $40 right off the gate, right? right? You're going to bet $40 on the back end. Here, you don't do anything until she turns over the first card of the flop. Then you only get to bet $30. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So I was going to say, so I was, I was saying that the one change here is instead of choosing to bet either three times or four times, uh, pre-flop, that you get to, uh, you get to do, uh, only three times, but it's after seeing one flop card. Exactly. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the, that probably is because it's only one of the three cards, and because they're reducing the uh, bet you can place. That if you get a good hand, you can only do three instead of four. Now, that has to make enough of a difference to where it's even right. It's, there's a very good chance that this is actually a worse game than before. Wait, say it again, Todd. Why would it be worse? 
because you can't place four. Put that extra bet. You can't do four times if you get a great hand dealt oh, to you okay, preflop. Okay, gotcha. So like if you you get pocket aces, you can't say oh you can't hammer four. You can only do three. And, and one. Right. So she's saying the only difference is instead of betting four, you can only bet three, and then the advantage so, is okay, you get so to see the window card or whatever. So basically, seeing that window card still doesn't negate the fact that you can't bet four x any longer. That's in essence what what right. it would mean. Okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. Probably. So, so yeah. is that. Right. So the thing is, I agree with Jeannie. Like, is that enough? How would that swing the odds so much? Or, or I guess would they make more or less? Right. I guess that's the question. No, right? I think they make more. And the, the question also, maybe it uh, induces more mistakes. That's the other thing. The question is, like, someone who plays it better, I know it's not a positive expectation game no matter what, but uh, for someone who makes better decisions in that game... They might lose less because maybe people will be too encouraged by uh, something that looks good to them that actually isn't. Like they'll they'll have three to a flush and then they'll bet they'll bet too much, or, or they'll the three to yeah. a straight. Right. Or if somebody has a weak ace, they I see people do this all the time. They bet the weak ace, it doesn't hit. The dealer gets a pair. They lose a lot of money on the back end. I think this is going to blow up in their face. You know, I I watch people make those kinds of mistakes. You know, you're making a lot of money on the trips, on the bet. But here's the thing. I just looked on Sahara's website. They still haven't changed it. So this had to be introduced over the last couple of weeks. Brand new game. I will find out. I'll talk to the pit boss. Yeah, they, they must have, they must have uh, done a study on this. They will sometimes introduce experimental games just to see how much interest there is and how well they do. But that's more common with machines. Like a, like a good example of something that was introduced right. only at one place and then disappeared was that weird six-handed limit Texas holding game with like you versus five bots, but they took an insane like 25% rake. Well, actually, the process that occurs is when somebody comes up with a new table game or something with slightly different rules, gaming gives a permit to that casino or casinos to temporarily have the game on display for a certain amount of time. And then once that date hits, they have to literally remove it and it can't be played anymore. Then after it's removed, the game is, well, the numbers on the game and obviously the amount of play, all of that is reviewed. And then it's decided by gaming, whether they're going to issue a license for permanent implementation at that casino. So it's kind of like a big, that's probably what's happening. It's kind of like a beta type thing where like, so in essence, like Todd, you and I could create any kind of table game. And as long as we found an, a casino that had interest in it, then we would have to go to gaming and get it approved for like a beta testing. And then once that beta testing, it's usually like 90 days. Cause I can promise you within like two or three months, that game will be gone. And then it, depending on the popularity of it, it could either come back or you'll never, ever, ever see it again. Um, that's, that's the way it, 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 well, that's how it used to work when I was in the casino industry. I I'd imagine it, it still is, but also Jeannie, before you go, I do want to tell you while you were sleeping, uh, one of the subjects Todd talked about, or we talked about, which you could add to was we talked about what was going on over at Bally's with the lack of players in their tournaments. The, the Bally's was PPS series. And we also yep. talked about, or I also talked about, the fact that the late registration, uh, in your opinion, and, as well as others, was severely impacting the number of players. So is there anything you want to add? Because I did mention that, you know, I had a friend, and I, I might have even mentioned it was you, that had played a number it's of these fine. events and, 
and your feelings on it. So real fast, since, you know, we are so, here and you're, you're, yeah, go ahead and tell people you're a, you're a local for those that don't know that live in Las Vegas and you're very, very well known, um, in the Vegas local mixed game scene. In fact, you run, you know, a number of different things such as leagues and other things. So you would definitely be an expert to, uh, speak on this. So go ahead. The floor is yours. You're funny. Um, I did email Tyler. So I did email Tyler. Tyler. I got a response. Tyler is the manager of the poker room and probably several poker rooms at Caesars. He also says that he is the right hand to Jack or whoever puts out the World Series structure. Jack also insisted that the World's Yes, he also insisted that the World Series was 1,000% happening this year, but it won't happen in May. It will happen in July or August. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not, we will see. Um, So I emailed him and I told him, here's the feedback. There's two things that happen. One is, last year in December, they ran a very successful mixed game tournaments, no limit tournaments, Every tournament went, they had about 50 or 60 players for all of the mixed games. The reason is the California crew came down, and the tables were probably, I would say, 70 to 80% populated by the people from California. you got these young guys up in California. They've got very deep pockets or big sponsors. They're reentering the 1K horse two and three times. Um, this year, January, none of them came down. So you're catering to the local crowd who do not want to spend 400, 600, and 1,000 for a buy-in. You know their their comfort price is 250. So I said the first thing is it's too high. Would you consider lowering the prices? But I think it's too late for them to do that. And so they have massive overlays. So far they've had an overlay in almost every tournament that ran. But there are days where both tournaments are canceled. They've had. One regular no limit that ran at noon. The rest were canceled until yesterday. They had about 32, I believe is the number, uh, for the seniors event. Today, they have a $500 buy-in with a $100 bounty, and I seriously doubt it's going to run. I'd be pretty surprised if it does. That's at noon. For the mixed games, cancel, cancel, cancel. When they finally do get some players to play, they start about three hours late, and they're getting about 17 or 18. They're not making the guarantee on any of these. And the reason is, somebody like me, they have 100 big blinds, and the levels start at 100-100 in the mixed game. So why would I want to sit there and waste three or four hours of my time at these what we call the meaningless levels in a limit hold'em tournament or a limit mixed game tournament when I can come in four hours later and still have 50 big blinds so people are waiting around, and because of that, they're not going. They also offer late registration until level 13, which is six and Did, a half hours. Didn't you also tell me, though, that there were people that literally were registering late at night at the last minute trying to spin up a short stack? Yes, absolutely. You would go from, I would say there were about 10 people who would register at level 12 because then you get a break, and then level 13, that's it. Registration I mean, that's, is done. But we're that's talking like about 9 o'clock at night. Yes, the tournaments are supposed to start at 3, so you're talking about 9 o'clock at night where, you know, probably about 10% of the field is already gone. People are reentering by then. Um, you get an additional nine, or 9 to, you know, 10 or 20 players that were registering at the last minute, and they still have 15, 20 big lines. Yeah. 
So, so my suggestion so, was cut the late registration. If you get greedy and you start offering 13 hours, 13 levels of registration, it's going to backfire on you. So in essence, all the locals are basically sitting around looking at Bravo and texting each other, yes. waiting for other people to register, which they're waiting for. And then they're all saying, too. well, the game didn't go today. <laughs> right, because everyone's waiting around. What a fail. Right, or we don't want to play because there's only six players. You know, and then at the last minute, they might get about 15. Yesterday for the 1K horse, they got 13. I think Jeez. maybe it went up to 15 around 3 o'clock in the morning. They didn't start it for two hours. That's unbelievable. It pays two. They make the guarantee, but it only pays two. Nobody wants to play a tournament where they're only paying two spots. Yeah, I saw that. I yeah. saw some of the results where the, where the third place was getting zero. <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. <laughs> It is embarrassing. We're, we're talking about it was a good news, bad news scenario. Good news is you finish third. The bad news is you get zero. Yeah. <laughs> so here's, here was the, here's what he said. He said he really appreciated the feedback. He said we definitely are going to consider this for future events. Oh. I did hear that they're putting on another event in March, and they will lower the buy-in to 250. Whether they stop the re- late registration for so long, who knows. But, you know, if they – if they lower the buy-in to 250, you'll get a lot more players that don't really care about registering late. They like to be on time, but they're not going to hmm. do that for $600 horse event. Yeah. And then he said he would consider. They also had a weekend series where Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday they had a limit mix game every day at one o'clock, and nothing ran for two weeks. They ran it. Nobody showed up yeah. because. Each one was two hundred and fifty dollars. I said lower it to one twenty five, you'll get your players. They should have you in charge of these rooms. You should be the manager. She should. Yeah, I'm retired, thanks. <laughs> Fifteen years now, of poker stars, I'm done. Now, Jeannie, as we like to do, we don't really have guests on this show very often, but when we do have guests, we always give them an opportunity to promote something. Do you have a book coming out or anything, a training site, anything like that you wanna give a shout out to while you're on the air? Dear. A book. I should write a book on my life. No, dear. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to promote anything. Except for maybe The Codfather. What, what is The Codfather? The Codfather is a very uh, new and very popular British-inspired fish and chip restaurant that is that opened, funny enough, during the pandemic and is doing phenomenal business right now. You get it? Godfather. And Brandon is yes. very yeah. excited about it. Yeah, yeah. I love my food. I love my food. Uh, okay, so Jeannie, I, another thing that we talked about, and you could add to it, is that Nobu that was at Bally's since last year? Is that still running, I assume, at, Nobu, at Bally's? Is there the Nobu still there? Yes. yes are, they doing, are, they doing, are they doing good business over at Bally's Nobu? Hard to say. I mean, yeah. when I did play, I played three tournaments this time. Uh, you get a 45-minute dinner break. You certainly can't go to Nobu or really any place other than fast food restaurants or bring your own lunch or dinner. You know, they don't give you enough time. It takes about 12 minutes to walk down to Nobu. But I don't think that they're doing booming business. I didn't see a big line. I didn't see any line when I was down there. It's just funny. When you think of all the places you're going to say go to Nobu at, you wouldn't think Bally's would be one of them. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, oh, go boo at, you know, at Caesars, at the Cosmo, at Wynn, at Bally's. It's just, I don't know, kind of funny. <laughs> so, yep. 
But uh, anyhow, is there anything else you want to talk about Vegas-wise, mixed game-wise, poker-wise? Anything interesting, exciting you want to chat about with us? Or think we should chat about? <laughs> I, I'm Wait, I have here. a question, Jeannie. But Jeannie, let me ask. Was it Pat or Brandon you might know too? Was it really packed with Chinese New Year? Don't ask me. I'm the, Jeannie would know. What? <laughs> it was just it was just Chinese, Chinese New Year, Year yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. The lunar 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 New Year for China Chinese people. He's asking. Are you if asking the if it's over? Oh, he's no, I was just oh. asking if Vegas was packed, and I did want to know what the lucky casino was too. But yeah, yeah. I just was wondering, like, is it packed? Is it? Would you say it was like this weekend? I would think it's huge. Hard to say. I, I really don't go on the strip. The only time I go to Bali, and the reason I go to the Sahara, I mean, I'll go to Bali for the tournament, but you're really not standing outside the strip seeing the people. I go to the Sahara because they have a one o'clock horse tournament every Friday. Um, they have a guarantee of a thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's only a hundred dollar buy-in, and so far they haven't made the guarantee for four weeks in a row. So we get wow. down to a couple of players and we chop it up after four hours. It's lovely. That's great. Sounds like fun. Now, so Jeannie. Listen, I love to play. So I go down there and, you know, yesterday we chopped the tournament. It was a profitable day. Okay, Jeannie, are you. That ultimate table. Awesome. Jeannie, are you familiar with renowned gambling psychologist uh, Dick Wood? No, never heard of him. Okay, so Dick Wood, I mean, well, he's one of the foremost renowned. Yeah, he's he's a Canadian uh, gambling psychologist, uh, Dick Wood, Dr. Dick Wood. Mm-hmm. What do you mean he's a gambling psychologist? He is. What does that mean? He's a psychologist who studies gambling patterns. Okay. I kid you not. So gambling ju- addiction. Well, yes, that too. I would have known about him. No, well, you don't know no Dick Wood, apparently. Yeah, I guess not. Maybe because he's Canadian. Yeah. I think I think you'd remember Dick Wood. <laughs> so one of the things Dick Wood was Why do talking I feel about... being set up? No, it's, it's a real thing. He's a real guy. Fucking joke. No, he's a real guy. <laughs> The joke is the joke is his name is funny. His name's Richard Wood, but we're calling him Dick Wood, which is kind of a you know, Dick Wood is his name. That's you yes, know. I get it. So so he was he was talking about uneducated gamblers in some study he did, and then that got us to talking about all of us amongst ourselves, our uneducated gambling friends that would commonly like say to you, like people that just don't know anything about gambling, Oh, I'm coming to Vegas, which casino is luckiest? So when, I'm sure, have you ever heard that? Has anyone ever said to you, you know, oh, I'm coming to Vegas, Jeannie, which casino is luckiest? Have you ever heard that? I would Some think of- they were the dumbest person in the world if they asked me that question. Probably wouldn't talk to them anymore. Oh, no see, that's, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm more, uh, I'm more forgiving. I'll, I'll keep talking it to is. dumb people. But no one's ever asked you that. What's the luckiest casino? You've never heard that? How come they all ask me? <laughs> They all go to me on I, this I one. Have smart friends. I, I don't know. They all go to me on this. Uh, the, with the luckiest <laughs> Actually, casino. Actually, Jeannie, you have some of the most unintelligent friends I think I've met. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you're right. You're, okay, I take it back. You're right. Listen, I'm only on my first cup of coffee. So, okay, but hypothetically, if you don't want to dis, uh, disown them as friends, if someone asked you what was the luckiest casino, I'm coming to Vegas, what would your response be? If you had to just appease I probably, them, answer. I would probably just tell them to go to the Bellagio or the Venetian because they're probably the most exciting, and they That's would feel the power. You know, That's a good answer. But they'll say, "But probably is it lucky? Is it lucky?" Is the big question. They say, "I don't care about power. I, I care about luck." <laughs> yeah, yeah, lucky. Go there. You'll see. 
and then they lose all their money. Yeah, they'll blame you. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. Well, Todd, uh, what other category or subjects are left on the agenda? Because I'm probably not going to stick around for coronavirus. That's, that's all we have. Tonight. We just got the coronavirus. I mean, it, it is uh, 5.30 in the morning. Jeez. Jeez. Well. Has anybody been vaccinated? No. I mean, it's. Uh, none, none, I wish. They, they won't give it to me. I'm too young. Why? How old do you have to be in California? I'm 65. I've got a while to get there. Damn. Yeah. Can I come there? Yeah, yeah, come on out, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> they won't vaccinate me. They should have in the hospital. Well, it's not easy. You have to get yeah. an appointment here, and it, that's that's a big challenge. My parents uh, put tremendous effort into getting that done, but uh, yeah, I, I don't even have a chance because I'm. I mean, it's one of the few times I wish I was over sixty-five. No, so in Vegas, I wonder if you made your appointment down at Cashman Field. You had to wait hours, and I'm talking two, three hours standing on line. For the second shot, it was worse. They moved it to the convention center. They claim the internet went out, and then they fixed it. But I had two friends who went down for their second shot yesterday, and the line was three hours all the way around to the back of the convention center, three hours to get the second shot. The only way you can get in sooner is if you stood on a handicap line and showed them your handicap pass from your car or some sort of physical disability, and then it was an hour. Mm. Wow, that's pretty Funny, bad. My my lucky my father luckily he just went to a local pharmacy inside a grocery store. It was in and <laughs> out in ten minutes. To do it. it was in and out in ten minutes. Well, they made him wait after the shop for like fifteen minutes to make sure he had no ill side effects. But there was no line. He was the only one there. He got it. He was in a little waiting room by himself and then left. Huh? huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Jeannie. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome to stay. Todd, are you going to do the coronavirus? I am. I am. I'm, so. I'm going to do it despite the fact I've been on here for an eternity. And uh, <laughs> I, I am kind of getting sick of get being here. But call and go listen. Okay. Well, you're more, you're more than welcome to stick around. Jeannie is an expert. Uh, you know, you know a lot about this Chinese flu. Do you want to stick around? or? <laughs> no, it's okay. Listen, okay. guys, you have a Good morning. Okay, well, Whatever. thank you for coming on, Jeannie. You realize it's okay. 5.30. Yeah. All right. Bye, Jeannie. I lo- Bye, guys. I love, morning for me. I love you, Jeannie. Thank you for coming on. I'll, Jeannie, I'll call you off the air when the, the Chinese flu is done talking, okay? <laughs> okay. Bye. All right. Okay. Bye, bye, Jeannie. I would say good night, but it's it's morning. Even though it's still dark outside, it kind of still counts as night. So what would Dr. Dick Wood say about degenerate uh, people, Jeannie, or Jeannie's age bracket that have ma- that undergo major surgery and then are out and about gambling within a matter, probably not at the point where they should be. I, I think he would what say that she's, she's not say? in the upper 35%. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And for those that are wondering what you know, she alluded to it, so she had a procedure, a major procedure, back surgery uh, a little over a month ago, and she's already running around playing these big tournaments and jeez. And she has no vaccine yet. Wow. She has no vaccine yet. That's pretty brave. She's a gambler. I, I, yeah, that is gambling. That is gambling. That is definitely gambling. <laughs> I, I, I hope she gets it. I'm concerned for her. You hope she gets it? Well, I, not, I don't want her no, to get the, it. No, the vaccine, not the, the, vaccine. Not, not the COVID. I, I don't hope that for her. I mean, can right. she? and she can't just try to go at your, the place your dad did? I mean, I, I, the age no, thing, right, the, but... The law here is that they won't. I mean, you have to show an ID. No, you have. You can't. You got to be seventy or. Oh, you have to be seventy. Nope. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah no, no chance. I wonder if I wonder if people can start getting fake IDs. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. instead, of instead of being getting fake IDs to be oh. able to drink at twenty one, you got to get fake IDs to be seventy to get the coronavirus vaccine. <laughs> hey. Before we go into the uh, before we go into the coronavirus, this is so funny. We have to just cover this, and I promise, no more tangents. So there's this guy, and let me, you know what? Let me just pull up the article. So I can actually say his name. There's this 90-year-old man. Hold on one, one second. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. Yeah. So there's this 90-year-old man that lives in California. He lives in the Hollywood Hills. His name is Aaron Epstein, 90 years old. He's been a customer of AT&T since 1960. Wow. Okay. And he's been so livid that his home internet has been so slow after many, many calls with AT&T and supervisors and technical support, nothing has changed. So he took the extreme measure of spending $10,000 to take out two ads, <laughs> to take out two ads in the Wall Street Journal to pen two open letters to the CEO of AT&T. <laughs> Go ahead and Google. Oh, can you Throw send that. that to me? I want to publish. Well, can I'm, you send it to me? Yeah, I'm, I'm just Google. That Brandon would have a chance. I'm publishing that. Okay, I'm going to send it to you right now. But you can just Google. Yeah, I see Aaron FC and AT&T. Okay, I sent it. So anyhow, that's pretty funny. I mean, a 90-year-old man, and he wrote in the letter, Hi, I've been a customer since 1960. <laughs> I mean, he's been a customer for 60 years. <laughs> he's like, all I want is the high-speed data that you promised me and Hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I see that. It says yeah. it says paid advertisement to uh, open letter to Mr. John T. Stanky. What's all these funny names? John Stanky, <laughs> Dick well, that's Wood. Dick, that's Dick Wood's. That's Dick Wood's college roommate. Yeah, uh, CEO AT and T. Maybe you got to be. You have to have a, like a really funny name to be successful these days. Uh, dear Mr. Stanky. AT&T prides itself as a leader in electronic communications. This is from this uh, old guy, Aaron Epstein. Uh, unfortunately for the people who live in North Hollywood, California, 91607, AT&T is now a major disappointment. By the way, I spent a lot of time in North Hollywood, 91607, that exact hmm. zip code. Uh, many of our so neighbors... On, so, you, know how. So, you could, so you could tell us firsthand, how is the internet in 91607, Todd? Uh I didn't have AT&T there. There may so not I don't have know. been internet back then. No, there was. No, I, I didn't have AT&T, though. Uh, many of our neighbors are the creative technical workers in the Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney Studios, in the adjacent city of Burbank, and our city. We need to keep up with current technology and have looked to AT&T to supply us with fast internet service. Yet, although AT&T is advertising speeds of up to 100 MBS, he means uh, MBPS, but whatever. He's 90, I'll let him slide. Uh, for other neighborhoods, the fastest now available... T- to, to us from AT&T is only 3 megabps. Your competitors now have speeds of 200 megabps. Why is AT&T, a leading communications company, treating us so shabbily in North Hollywood? Sincerely, Aaron M. Epstein, an AT&T customer since 1960, and then he actually put his phone number in the paper. I wonder how many calls he got. Uh, uh, and then he put his uh, email address yeah, right there in the paper. And uh, apparently... Uh, apparently it worked, though. Apparently he got uh, some positive results in this whole thing. He's, he's probably he's probably up if you want to get him on. It, it says uh, it, on on arts uh, on uh, arts technica, which is a website about technology. 
they have an article about this, and it says AT&T scrambles to install fiber for 90-year-old after his viral <laughs> Wall Street Journal ad. Really says yes, scrambles? yes. So uh, I, I guess they it says barely a week later, Epstein's home, North Hollywood, has AT&T fiber service with unlimited data and advertised speeds of three megabps in both directions. In a speed test yesterday, download speeds were 363 mbps and upload speeds were 376 mbps. That's a gi- gigantic upgrade of the over the quote up to three megabps DSL he and his wife Anne struggled with before. By the way, I did know somebody in that zip code who did have AT and T service and told me it was very slow. So they they I understand the complaint. It uh, is true. So that that is funny. That well, plus a lot of the well, you know, drop a lot of like the creative or people that are doing maybe some things that are big internet foggers are working from home. Probably all around where this guy lives, and I could have put extra, you know, problems, I guess, on, on the internet, I would imagine. But that's a pretty funny story, though, isn't it? Did they, yeah, oh, so did th- they this is interesting. This is, this is all, this is all a PR thing. It looks like they're just doing it to his house. <laughs> they're not even doing it for the neighbors. They, they, he said they, he said the AT&T people I talked to tell me that they had to install extra wiring. It's calling, costing them thousands and thousands of dollars to put this wiring just for my house because my neighbors still do not have it and they still have to go to a considerable expense to hook up my neighbors. So I guess they, they're yeah. rushing to do his first so it looks good for the public and then they're going to slowly yeah. add for the rest of the neighborhood. And they well, said, you know that, how this ends. He doesn't well, even live past summer. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the coronavirus uh, tomorrow. Oh, jeez. Poor Aaron Epstein. Yeah, the, work, the, worker in, the worker installing it gives him the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's like the wave of the future. Like when you can't get satisfaction from a company and you have enough money, you just start penning open letters and, and you know highly read periodicals and whatnot. I think this especially yeah, worked as he's ninety. I think I think people really like had sympathy for him at age ninety, and he's been a customer for sixty years. It just looks so shitty for AT and T. So they're like, "Shit, we got to do something about this." So they probably did scramble. They probably like the PR what, department told what them. Was, get- what was the most shocking to me reading it was it only cost ten thousand dollars to place an ad like that in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I would have figured yeah. it'd be more. Yeah. What, wouldn't you have figured? I mean, before be honest, before looking at something like that, if I told you I was taken out. You know, I don't know if it was a half-page ad, but whatever it is, it's in the Wall Street Journal. You know, it's not just a little one-inch column. What would you think a letter, you know, an open letter that you'd want in a Wall Street Journal would cost you? Well, so, well, to you be fair, it wasn't it wasn't a full-page ad, but it well, was not it was not just a tiny ad yeah. either. If something took up a portion of the page, uh, that was okay, easily what readable. Would you, what would you have What would you have speculated that I would have said like forty, fifty thousand? Yeah, I would, would have thought that minimal. too. I would have thought around that too. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I, I actually heard that since this got published, that uh, uh, next week Doug Polk's going to take an ad of the same size saying that more rake is better. <laughs> so, uh, okay, a, anyway. They, uh, I think they do have regional advertising within the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, maybe that's what they're sure doing. Too, so it could have been something we just did. Yeah, that, 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 yeah see, I think Trader Ruski's got it. I think it's. Well, yeah, I'm sure they're not reading about this in, in, you know, Manhattan. But either way, the amount of press this has gotten, it's, I don't know, pretty interesting. So, all right, anyhow, I won't right. hold you up. Oh, Todd, let me just ask, because I'll maybe just hang up then and get on with the day, unless it's something I can contribute. Uh, what are the, the subset topics of this uh, coronavirus discussion this morning? What well, is exactly you're going to cover? 
I, I do want to mention, this wasn't one of the scheduled topics, but do you know a 116-year-old survived the coronavirus? I read that. That's amazing. And wow. this person the is, their record's never going to be beat because they're the second oldest person in the world anyway. So there's only one person on Earth who it's, could beat them. I, I, I saw that, and I didn't. I, it was just a brief thing. They didn't go into detail, but I would have to guess without knowing that was it a male or a female. It was, female, a, fe- it was a female. Males never live that yeah. long. I would, yeah, I would have to assume she got it from a healthcare provider. I mean, that's the only thing. I, I mean, she's not getting it from going out to dinner. Well, that could have been club. anyone coming to to assist her because clearly she must need some assistance by this age. Well, that's what I mean. She didn't get it from like going out and going shopping. No, she probably she can't even it. go out on her own. Probably people have to come to her and do things at this point. Like a lot, if huh. you do live to that age, which for males is just about impossible. No male has ever made it to one seventeen, and I think I think the oldest one is one sixteen ever. So uh, the if you do live this long, male or female, uh, there are so many ways that your body degrades that, like even things like sitting up straight or things like that, you can't even do anymore. And walking is incredibly difficult or impossible. So, like. I have to imagine at this age she needs a lot of assistance, and uh, they so it's probably one of the people coming to assist her gave it to her. I, well, I don't think she's going out okay, places. Okay, so a quick, not to have to correct you, a quick Google search shows this is on the Guinness Book of World Records dot com. The oldest man ever died, funny enough, less than a year ago, May two thousand twenty, who was one hundred twelve. No, no, no. That's oh, no, that, no. That's sorry. that's presently. I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, that's present. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to find that. Ever the oldest woman it says was 122. By the no, way, that was that was a that was a fraud. It turned out nobody's ever made 120. Oh. It turned out that was a fraud. It's a it hasn't been totally proven, but I've seen the evidence, and it looks likely it was an inheritance tax yeah. trick that ended up uh, kind of running wild. Okay, so yeah, Japanese gentleman. This is on Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, a Japanese gentleman lived to 116 years and 54 days. Uh, the second oldest was 115. That was an American. And then the oldest woman ever verified was – it's still showing that genie woman. I know. They, they never – they never they, yes, they never officially took her off, but it looks likely it's fraud. Okay. Well, the oldest uh, confirmed female outside of that was a woman, an American, named Sarah Noss. She lived to 119. And currently, there's a woman named Kane Tanaka, uh, Japan again, and she's 118. And she's living right now. Yeah, the the ones who make it super long like that tend to be short and thin. So the like, even if someone who's my height has a Jeez. pretty small chance of making it even to a hundred, because of uh, now most people don't make it to a hundred anyway. But but uh, tall people have a very hard time making it to a hundred. So she got married a hundred and one years ago. <laughs> Jesus, a hundred and one uh, years ago. Well, she, she's like 15 years old. Wow. It says here, I don't even know how can this be right, but it's in Wikipedia. It claims that she underwent pancreatic cancer surgery at age 45. And then she must have, they must have caught it early years. because usually, usually uh, pancreatic cancer kills you. They must have caught it then super it said early. She had, yeah, and then it said she had rectal cancer when she was 103. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it says it's confirmed. She says she would like to live to the age of 120. And she credits family, sleep, and eating good food, and practicing math for her longevity. Wow. <laughs> well, the truth the truth is, uh, it, it's mostly genetic, and and she's you know, as I said, being short and being thin. 
Uh, these are all factors that can allow it. There's there's certain people where it's just basically impossible because of uh, their height and weight that they're going to naturally have. And I'll tell you, that, that Jean Kalmet woman, I'm looking at her, and she does look about 100 and something. I mean, she's... What happened was mean, with this one that it's suspected that she and her mom did a switcheroo, not expecting her to live this long, in order to avoid inheritance tax. They didn't expect at the time they did the switcheroo as, as far as... Uh, Taking, you know, taking her mom's identity to just basically get her mom's stuff and pretending the daughter died. Uh, that they she didn't expect to live as long as she did and, and then be seen as the oldest person alive and kind of just went with it. What they found is that she was she was too alert for that age. She, she wasn't suffering the mental decline that would have been expected by that age. Like she was way too sharp for being 122. And she was able to sit up straight without any difficulty. A lot of things that they saw that people who are 100 are able to do, but people who are past 110 can't, she was able to do. Sure. And they, they found so that her daughter, her daughter would have been 99 when she died. So we, we, it was assumed that she was just, you know, she did look probably worse for her age for yeah. 99. That she did look very extremely old if, in these pics, but uh, that... There were too many things that just didn't seem, and I was like, I think she was able to walk until a pretty late, very late age. There were a number of things that just looked weird of why someone that age, the, why she was the only one on earth being able to do these things. And, uh, yeah. and so, some well, Russian re- researched it in recent years. If you Google gene comment fraud, no, I'm seeing it. So, well, some experts claim it's it's very possible. Some are saying that there's no chance. So, whatever, who knows? Probably, probably a fraud. But like, even though nobody knows exactly when they're going to die, uh, you can you can see that no man has ever made it past 116 and 54 days. So, uh, and and you know that's probably not going to be you, even if there's an improvement in in uh, medicine by the time you get a little bit older. Of course, we're old enough now to where there's not going to be dramatic improvements. Like someone like Benjamin has a lot more time to where there can be significant improvements to where. Uh, um, the life expectancy can change, and and maximum lifespan can change, or even forget maximum, but but the likelihood of li- living over a hundred can change. But uh, uh, the truth is here that uh, most people don't have much of a chance to get to a hundred. So, All right, now getting to back to real fast, Dick Wood here. He would say, Trader Ruski, you're quite the degenerate." Yeah, I know. He's on the show here, and he would, dring, dring. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's playing at five fifty-five in the morning. No, I, I like when I say, "Hey, tra- trader." He just hung up. Now <laughs> I say, "Hey, trader, risky you still there?" And I hear, Dring! "Yeah, I'm here." Wait, did he actually just hang up instead of just? Yeah, he it? just hung up. He's just gone. He, oh my god! ACR got a got priority over us. Jesus, that's sad. Okay, so anyway, the, yeah. getting past this uh, 116 year old who got it in January and recovered so and you know what it's not as amazing as you might think because for some people and it's not known why some people are just kind of resistant to it it just your your body does not get it that badly oh trader risky's back but uh some people's like they found very early on on that diamond princess ship the one that was stuck at sea for weeks they found that 46 percent of the people who tested positive on that ship most of whom were old were asymptomatic 46 percent and in fact, wow. uh, we know somebody whose dad was asymptomatic who got it, and that was Eric Benzamokin. 
His dad got COVID, wow. who is uh, in his 70s, and asymptomatic. And Eric was not asymptomatic. Eric Eric got kind of a mild case, so he did well for his age. But uh, his dad even better. His dad got no symptoms. His dad only tested because Eric had just seen him, and Eric had it. He thought they yeah. both caught it out at a restaurant. So anyway, they so I think this woman wasn't asymptomatic, but there are some people who just seem to be naturally resistant to it and for, for reasons they can't really figure out. But I do wonder... Let's say there were a lot more 116-year-olds out there. Like, what would the death rate be for the average 116-year-old catching COVID? It would have to be staggeringly high. So we're going to start here with the the topic about the claims that COVID-19 may never be gone. The question about COVID has been, well, one of the many questions has been, when are we going to be done with this, if ever? Is this something that's going to be just disappearing like the swine flu did? Just completely go away? Or is it going to be like the flu that we have forever? That we just have to update the vaccine every year or every sometime period when it mutates enough? And we have to live with the fact that it's going to keep mutating. It's going to constantly be there. We have to constantly get vaccinated. There's going to have to be a mass vaccination going on much more than the flu vaccine because... uh, it's much more important to get the COVID vaccine. So is that going to be our life from now on? Or will this just vanish one day? And that's not known yet for sure. But there are some scientists who believe that COVID is mutating enough and vaccines are too difficult to distribute on the mass scale and this is to the entire world, especially to the developing world, every time it mutates that there's really going to be no way to completely do away with it. It's going to always be around in some way. And the the concern here is that uh, even if the vaccine does prevent transmission, the problem is getting everybody the vaccine to where they stop transmitting. And if you have to vaccinate 7 billion people in the world and then it also mutates, then you probably can't vaccinate all 7 billion people fast enough before it mutates and needs another vaccine and you have to start the whole thing over. Now, in certain populations, they can somewhat do it, especially small population, like small population first world countries can probably get this done pretty well. But uh, large population countries and especially the third world, they're going to have a problem with this. And uh, if they can't ever get everybody vaccinated for the vac- for the disease to just die, then it will go on to continue mutating and then eventually spread around the world again. So even if let's say let's say the US really improves their ability to manufacture vaccines and let's say and, and distribute vaccines. So let's say we come up with enough production and distribution of the COVID vaccine to where pretty rapidly the entire US population of 330 million can get vaccinated a lot faster than we can currently where Joe Biden's talking about July 31st. Let's say sometime in the future, even the semi-near future, they greatly improve this to where maybe in in, uh, two months everybody can get vaccinated. Even so, the problem is that the rest of the world's not going to be as good at this, especially the third world. And any place in the world where this isn't happening 
then the virus can continue transmitting around and can continue mutating. And then those mutations can be brought to the U.S. and we have to start all over again with the vaccinations. So there's a belief that this may be a cycle which continues for eternity because it's a very contagious disease. And just because of the sheer number of people on Earth, especially in third world countries, it's going to be very difficult to just get everybody vaccinated fast enough to shut it down. Then there's the other concern that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, of whether or not the vaccine really does prevent transmission. But even if it does, or mostly does, still the big problem will be vaccinating everybody to stop this. Now, this isn't certain because it is possible that once COVID goes through the population, that uh, it won't mutate enough fast enough to infect enough people in order to keep spreading, and it may just die out. That's what happened with the swine flu. The swine flu just wasn't a big deal because most people were asymptomatic and not that many people died. So it has been estimated that 20% of the U.S. population had the swine flu, like 60 million people. But most people didn't feel it. It's very possible one or more of us on this call had the swine flu. And we either just kind of felt like it was like we thought it was a cold or or a flu, or we felt nothing, and that was that, and we shrugged our shoulders. We didn't even know we had it. So COVID is very different, but the swine flu is a an example of something that was a new virus that burned itself out and disappeared. So will that happen with COVID? It's possible, but they are seeing enough mutations to where there's more and more of a belief that this is something we have to deal with forever, which, to be honest, is going to be, number one, a pain in the ass, because it's not just, okay, I've got my vaccine, okay, now I can let my guard down, now I never have to worry about this again. Nope. It, it may be a constant chasing of new vaccines that you have to go get to keep ahead of this thing. And... Maybe they won't get to some of these mutations in time. Maybe they won't even discover them in time. And you'll catch COVID, even though you've taken the vaccine, because it's mutated enough, and you're one of the unlucky ones to get one of the earlier versions of the mutated COVID before they can produce a vaccine for it. So there may be an ongoing danger for the rest of time with COVID. This may never be gone completely, even if we can severely reduce the danger we're seeing right now, there may always be a concern that a mutated version of COVID will bust through the vaccines that we currently have and that uh, we won't discover it in time to prevent people from catching and dying from it. So that, uh, and this includes people who already had it. So if you think you, you're out of the woods because you already had it, think again. You can get it again, much like you have probably had the flu more than once in your life. This is not a certainty. As I said, it may just die out. But there's increasing belief among scientists that this is something we will deal with forever and that there will have to be efforts to quickly make new vaccines to deal with mutations and distribute them, which is not easy with a mass population. Even though it is easy to modify some of these vaccines, these mRNA vaccines like the Pfizer and the Moderna one feature of them is that a nice feature is that you can modify these pretty quickly. But, of course, you've got to manufacture and distribute them, which is not easy, as we are currently seeing. 
So while the process will definitely improve over time, it if this is something we have to keep doing, this is going to be, number one, an ongoing risk, and number two, uh, a pain in the ass. And number three, there will start to be questions of what caution do we have to show? If the, if the threat is really never 100% gone, are people going to have to mask forever? Will people have to social distance forever? What about mass concerts like Coachella? Is that a thing of the past? What about things like uh, ball games? Are they going to have to separate people where you can't uh, be right next to people who don't live in your household like it currently is? Or is that going to have to be modified? Like, what What is going to change? Are we going to have permanent changes involving masking and social distancing because there will always be some kind of COVID danger or are we going to be just accepting some risk as we do with the flu? Because remember, the flu does kill people. The flu kills a lot of people each year in a typical flu season. Not this year, but in a typical flu season when people are out and not avoiding each other, it does kill a lot of people, mostly elderly people, much like COVID does. Of course, unlike COVID, the flu actually kills kids too. But COVID is much worse. I will admit that. It's especially worse for people who are uh, middle age and on the older end of middle age. It's much worse for that age group than the flu. But it's not like we're not living with a disease that mutates every year that kills a lot of people. In fact, there was one year where 80,000 people died of the flu, one, one flu season in uh, recent years. So I don't recall there being a big panic. I don't recall everybody being terrified of it. And the reason was because the vast majority of the population wasn't really vulnerable to it. So, yes, very old people were vulnerable to it, and uh, some very young people, some, some kids are vulnerable to it, which is especially sad. But people like us, we didn't have to worry about getting the flu and dying. Whereas with COVID, that chance is always there. And especially the chance of permanent damage, where that's also very unlikely for someone our age with the flu. So COVID's much worse, and the question is, how will that be handled? And we will have to see going forward. This this year is going to really be big as far as uh, what ends up happening, about what kind of normal we return to. Right now we're not there yet because the percentage of people who have been vaccinated is, is low at this very moment in mid-February. But soon enough that, that number will grow a lot and we're going to start seeing the effects of it, the positive effects of the number of, of uh COVID cases going down, the number of deaths going way down, the number of severe illnesses from COVID going way down, and then we're going to go, okay, sweet, okay, we can go back to normal now. And then the mutations, and then there's a big problem again. So I don't know what's going to be happening as it goes forward, and I think there's going to be a backlash eventually. I think people are just going to say, screw it, we're not, we're not going to mask the rest of our lives. We're not going to socially distance the rest of our lives. If, if we have to take a chance, we take a chance. And even I will have that attitude because I have been more cautious than the vast majority of people with COVID. Like really, really cautious, as you guys know. But that is because I'm doing it with the assumption that this is going to be over soon enough. But I, I don't plan to be this way the rest of my life. And at some point, I will have to just take the chance. Now, let me ask you something here. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Okay, so hypothetically, if we find out that it's going to go on longer, but there's they will be an ending at some point, and you knew that, how much longer potentially could you go on living like this before you would start taking risks? Meaning, if you knew it was it'd be one more year or two more years or three more years versus you know exactly what you're doing now, and then you would be fine, you know. Would you still do it? Like, what would be the cutoff point that you're just like, okay, fine, I'll just wait it out. Versus, that's just too long. It's too unknown. I'm, I'm gonna just start living my life again. I'm not sure like, about the cutoff point. Do the last year again. I'm not huh? sure about the cutoff point, but I will tell you that if, like, it was one or two years, I wouldn't be happy. But I would say, okay, I've dealt with this for a year. I can deal with this for one or two more years, and. Uh, then I will just plan to return to everything that I've been missing all this time. So you can do two more years just like you've done the past one year. Yes, because I expect a lot of years after that where I will be alive and healthy enough to do all these things. So I don't feel like there's a, 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 a imminent deadline coming at me where I'm just going to be giving up the last few uh, active years of my life. I, I, I'm pretty far from that point. What about three years? See... I would probably do three now if it's four, if it's five. See, I, I don't know. And 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 uh, now the reason I'll never have to make this decision is because no one will be able to say that. No one will be able to say, oh, okay, in two years it's totally done. And see, that's the problem is no one can say this with certainty. But if somehow I could see the future and see that with certainty, it ends at a certain point. If it's something that I could really predict and just pass the time until and subsist the way I currently am, then fine. But now, if it's ten years, I'd say no. That's too much of a percentage of my remaining life. So I would say like ten years would not. That, that wouldn't right. be. Well, but but hold on, Truff. I don't think it's like oh, a certain time you're going to do everything, right? So it's you know, it's more like okay, you haven't been doing X. Now you're going to start eating out, which I don't even right. I mean, I don't know. If that's a good thing, that you, right? Or would you get in a plane and go to New York? Right? I don't think it's like it has to be all or nothing, you know? I think over months, and as you learn more, you can take strategic risk, and I think it's all just risk and reward. Well, it is. You know, we, Brandon was just asking a hypothetical, which is impossible to really happen, that like we'd, we'd know an exact date it's going to be gone, but like like two years in the future. But Yeah, but it's just for conversation. No, I know it's for conversation. I, I'm just, I'm no, just, no, no, you know. no, I, I got you, but I'm just saying, like, even that, even if it was a year, though, I like, you know, I just think it's like, with the different links, it's like, well, maybe I'll do different things. You know, like I've been thinking about coming to Vegas, you know, but maybe, right? Like maybe just play poker in the room and then, you know, we're. You can be honest. You're thinking about coming to Vegas because you miss me, buddy. <laughs> he is. So I, I am. Uh, honestly, I, I've gone this far. I want to get the vaccine and wait the 10 days, whatever I need to wait until I'm supposedly safe from this, and then I really will start to return to things pretty aggressively, uh, because I, I'll assume I'm safe at this point, and, uh, and I've been waiting to do things again. I, I don't even want to start phasing things in. Because we have the vaccine, uh, I don't want to phase things in. I want to wait until uh, I get it. I don't want to blow this at the very end, but uh, I'm kind of like someone who's on the bubble of a tournament. I don't want to shoot off my stack here unnecessarily. But uh, once we hit the bubble, then I, I can take more chances. To me, the bubble is getting the vaccine. And uh, 
yes, there will be some small chance that maybe I will get it. I'll be one of the unlucky ones to get the vaccine to get it, though I'm hearing that everybody's getting the vaccine who's getting COVID anyway is getting a very mild case of it. So that's fine. I just don't want the uh, – I don't want a major enough case to give me lung damage or worse, provided it's something less you don't than want that. that uh, you don't want that UK version is what you're saying. Yeah, well, that's uh, – basically anything that's going to be lung damage or worse – is what I really don't want, but provided that the vaccine will keep it below that, so even if somehow I get it with the vaccine anyway, it's not the end of the world as long as I don't get the lung damage or worse, and then I'll have to go back and return. Like I, I, I do want to return to doing things, uh, and and uh, because it's been so long that I, since I've done a lot of these things, and since I really have been staying away from everything. For me, especially, I, I feel an urge to return to things, but I'm not going to do it and blow all the caution I've shown so far that wouldn't make any sense. So, like, I haven't been to a restaurant in all this time. I, I haven't been to Vegas. I haven't been to a, a, any uh, baseball games or anything like that. I haven't seen any any friends. I have, like, the, the only family I've seen has been my parents. So, you know, I, I'm... Uh, I'm waiting to do all this. I have been waiting. Once I can, then I will. And uh, I will be, of course, watching to see what happens and see if, uh, you know, if, if I suddenly hear that there's a new variant that's breaking through the vaccines, I'm not going to say, okay, well, no problem. I, I'm, I'm not going to go back to the way it was before. No, I will. I'll go back to doing this, to hiding out from it, if, if, I, if I believe the vaccine I have is not going to cut it at some point in the future. As long as I think that at the moment I'm safe from it, then I will be a lot more aggressive with what I do with kind of an eye on the news about any possible danger. So, for example, if they say there's a variant in a certain place, like the UK or whatever, that can get through the vaccine, I'll say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to, or if I hear it's get to the US, I'm going to start being cautious again. So this this may not be complete freedom permanently, but e- even a break will be nice. Okay, let's, let's throw on a caller here. We have a, a caller calling in from the uh, 206 area, which is the uh, Seattle area. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, this is Tyrone. Oh, it's Tyrone, that's right. Uh, Tyrone, why do you have a 206 number? Uh, well, uh, Tyrone moved to Vegas from Seattle, right? Did you say that earlier, Tyrone? I, I have a... In Seattle, so it was four people on the plan, so oh. so I joined. Okay. Since I had the number, uh, so since I had the number, so that's how come I I have that. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I right. want to talk about I I I want to talk about some positive signs that uh, most of my friends see. Most of my friends is, is older than you. They, they have gotten the first dose. They are on the way to getting the second dose. I'm a, I myself got the first dose a couple of days ago. Okay. If, now, uh, the, the, the good news on the whole thing is that it is, impar- it is very difficult, almost impossible to get the appointment yes but once you get the, once you get the appointment the whole on 
to most of my friends, is very easy, very organized. In fact, uh, everybody say it is uh, most well, well organized, and they do the necessary thing. Actually, most people were shocked when they get the first dose how organized uh, those people is. But the the problem is the software uh, the, is lacking behind. Uh, the software uh, 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 con- continue to crash and to get an appointment. So if you uh, if you are people that who doesn't have a computer, you don't have the internet, you are not computer savage. That you are out of luck. Yes, and I, I've talked about that on a recent show. I, I did talk about uh, the failures, and one of the things is that it's it's uh, it really is discriminatory toward, toward old, older people in that uh, a lot of them don't have computers or, or didn't learn computers that well because they didn't grow up with them, and uh, and it's it's much tougher for them to do this when it's already hard to get an appointment anyway. And and I was mentioning my my parents are your age. Tyrone and uh, they mm-hmm. put a yeah, lot sure. of e- they put a lot of effort into this. I, in fact, I was over there while they were doing it because uh, I was at their house when I got the colonoscopy in, in January, and uh, they they put a tremendous effort into getting these appointments, the first and the yeah. second, and and they are computer computer literate. So fortunately, they don't have that problem. They have computers, and they they are good enough at the computers to be able to do this. But there are a number of people. Who are their age and older? I mean, think of people who are ninety-five. Some of them never touched a computer in their life, and they don't have a way to do it. And even if you do, you have a disadvantage compared to these younger people who are uh, have more energy and ability to just to, to keep hammering these sites all day to find openings. That's that's very very true. But however, my experience is actually is it is a good news. Uh, it is a good news. Is that at first, I'm hesitant. I'm very hesitant to. I'm living in the, the Henderson Vegas area, so to get the vaccine because I don't want to uh, stand in line to catch the COVID. Right. COVID. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. So. So, so my solution is wait until the local drugstore available. Now, to finding a, 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 a find, finding that thing is very difficult. But one of the good news is the supply is beginning to come on. So i able to get in about three miles from my place, Walgreens. And uh, the process get an appointment. The most difficult thing is get an appointment. Once you get an appointment, I get there uh, fifteen minutes ahead of time, and and everything there in one hour you're done. And hardly any people. I wear wear the N95 glass and uh, and uh, and the seal, and I'm out. I'm out of there. But the thing is, let me. Let me tell you my experience about getting Walgreens. Uh, the Walgreens is, first of all, the, this is the first step in Walgreens. You have to sign, sign in. 
to get an appointment. Well, uh, that's pretty easy. Second of all, then you uh, you have to uh, prove your ages. Uh, ages. Then you have to say you don't have this thing. This, this, uh, then say you you. Then you say eligible, and then you put down your zip code. Uh, so for two weeks, I put down my zip code. They said there's no. Uh, vaccine were you in your neighborhood in within 45 miles of your neighborhood so I try every two or three days to get it together then one day then you come you, you come you show all the Walgreens stores is available uh, available they show how many doses of vaccine it is uh Everything else, then I say, "Oh, good! I'm, I gonna, I put in the time I wanna, and uh, uh, everything else, and he doesn't give me a response. He <laughs> looked like he took it. He looked like he took it. So I said, well, maybe I just got the appointment. They didn't. No, so I tried to call. No result. They don't respond to anything like that. I said, okay." Then that night, I thought about this. I'm not going to go tomorrow to a Walgreens store uh, uh, since they might not, the appointment's not there. Then all of a sudden, a light car, maybe the software is not good enough uh, to tell you the appointment is already taken. They don't tell you that there is... So you can go to the next appointment site. So I go up at night. I try a new thing. I try to, if there's no response to the, you look like to take it. I go to the next appointment, next appointment. I try three times. And you come up and say, you have an appointment. Every, all the information, give you a confirmation code, everything. So, I didn't go that day. I go the next day, and uh, 11 o'clock appointment. Everything goes smoothly, and then, and then it automatically, then you say, would you like your second dose appointment? I say, yeah. So I go the second dose, so I'm scheduled 30 days from now. Oh, good. Well, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you managed it. I'm glad you... you- uh, we're able to get past these uh, idiosyncrasies with the site. Yeah, the, 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 these sites have been garbage. They, these are fail sites. It, it's embarrassing that this, this has been so poorly done. Uh, this stuff really should have been handled a long time ago. The fact that this was left to state and local governments is a problem because if the state and local governments aren't good at this, then you get these garbage sites. Uh, there, there, there were a lot of mistakes made here. Because this type of thing, they had a long time to prepare. They didn't actually have to have a working vaccine to prepare all this type of stuff with the websites. And that was not done properly. And it's that's pretty sad that that occurred. So I'm glad you were able to get that and you were able to figure out that you didn't really have an appointment the first time, even if it didn't, it just kind of gave you nothing. And I, I know it's really frustrating with anything when you think you've completed some form and you get no feedback and then there's nobody you can call to ask about it, nobody can email, you're just scratching your head going, what the hell's wrong? So, uh, and do I have it, do I not? So, it was good that you were persistent and, and came up with it and I'm glad you have a second appointment so you don't have to mess with this so soon. Uh, 
soon you will be in good enough sh- shape here from the vaccine to be able to uh, return to normal life. Now, are, are you going once you get the second vaccine and wait the ten days or whatever you need to wait? Are you going to return to play uh, live poker again? Uh, no, no, no. for thirty days. My next shot is thirty days. Yeah, but I mean, like ten days after that, because you're supposed to wait like ten days after the second shot before you're fully immune. No, for this sense that you have no choice to get the second vaccine for thirty days. No, I know that, but I'm saying that there's after the second vaccine, you have to wait a little bit more time until it takes effect. Yes. Yes. So I'm saying uh, after after that, are you going to go out to, to play poker? I'm not hundred percent sure because the uh, the because is I'm going to wait until see whether I'm transmissible or not. Oh, that, whether you see that uh, I it's a matter of effort that uh, whether I'm transmissible. I'm still going to wear masks. Uh, I'm still going to wear a mask. I'm trying the best of the social distance. Then until there's evidence that I'm not transmissible. Well, there there is some already about the vaccine. I'm going to talk about towards the end of the show. So I was just curious about what type of life you're going to return to. Anyway, Tyrone, I, I hate to cut you off here. I've been on you for like eight and a half hours, so I want to finish these things off. Wait, so. you're going to talk about it yeah. towards the end of the show? This isn't the end of the it's show? It's almost the end of the show. Art towards... We we have we have Hi, two. Tyrone. <laughs> yeah, that's Brandon uh, there. Yeah, yeah. We we have two more topics. Tyrone, that's why I want to get to them. I want to try Tyrone, to finish this thing. Tyrone, I'm Tyrone. Yeah. I I wanted to say I, I wanted to say I'm a big fan of you and your work. Thank you for coming into the show oh, and uh, stay you, safe. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I I, I want to say something for a long long time to Tyrone. Yeah. That basically, uh, basically, you and I. Uh, even though we age different, we had a lot in common in the sense that uh, I have a master's degree in computer science. Oh. I'm a cheap Chinese, just <laughs> like you, a cheap Jew. My <laughs> point of view is I, I, I'm, I'm always looking for a good deal. I think it's sensible. Why should I pay more? Uh, good deal. And uh, also that, uh, that I bet you that uh, my lifetime is better. Here's my philosophy is nighttime is that if I, I'm a, I'm, I gamble quite a bit, but, uh, in, but I never in my life to gamble one, one single dollar without thinking logically that I should have a better return than dollar. I never gamble something based on emotion that uh, have a negative return. Well, that's, that's so good. That's, uh, the, that's exactly how how I feel about the the thing. And also, Tom, I bet you, you and I have one more thing in common. That's why uh, I'm a big fan of you. Your yours is that all my life, from the, uh, all my life, when I get a job. I always save more than I spend. I think that's problem with most people is they spend more than they earn. Yes, that 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 and is that is an issue. Uh, and then I bet you that's 
that's you, right? Yeah, yes. In fact, I, I saved uh, I, I saved a lot of the money I made when I had a regular job in my 20s. I really tried to not spend very much and, and build up a savings. That actually helped me later because I had a bankroll to play poker with once I, I – uh, learned how to play poker well enough to be a, a winning player. At least I didn't have to panic about my bankroll because I had an existing one from making money in my job and not spending that much. So, yeah, you're you're correct, and uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that you had uh, the master's degree in computer science. That's interesting. So, anyway, Tyrone, thank you for calling in. I hadn't heard from you in a while. Yeah. It's good to hear from you. I'm glad you got the vaccine. You're the second one's coming up, so COVID won't get you. And uh, we're going to finish off the last two topics here. So hopefully, I can keep this show under nine hours. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for calling, Tyrone. Have a nice day. Good night. Bye. Good night. It's in the morning. It's like light outside. Okay. So I want to move on to the next topic. Joe Biden claims that there's going to be 300 double doses of the vaccine. I say double because 300, you may say, well, does that mean 150 million people can get it? No. Actually, 600 million doses, which will be two doses for each person. By July 31st, which essentially would vaccinate everybody because there's 330 million people and yet uh, there's far less than 300 million people in the U.S. who are over 16 because the vaccine is not even approved right now and may not ever be for kids under 16. The reason it might never be approved for kids under 16 is because with every vaccine, there is a risk. And if the risk-reward profile is not there, then they simply will not vaccinate the person. So since COVID does not really affect kids, it's it's very mild for them. And the few kids that die from it are ones that you could predict because they have major pre-existing conditions that are known. You don't just get kids catching COVID and just dying. So they may just determine that it's just not worth even giving to your kids even if there's enough vaccine to, to do it with. So really, 300 million vaccines in the U.S. would be enough for every single person 16 and over. And there's going to be, of course, people who are declining it. There's going to be a lot of younger people, especially, who say, I don't want the vaccine because I'll take my chances. I'm young. I don't want to take the chance with the vaccine. I'd rather take my chance with COVID because the chance is COVID's not going to be bad for me. That's what a lot of young people are saying, and I can't blame them. There's other young people or semi-young people who want to have kids and are concerned that there has not been enough study about the effects on fertility. And there are some fears that this could be something that harms your fertility. And if you want to have kids, you may not want to do this just to be immune from COVID, which isn't going to harm you that much anyway. Now, for people like me, these are not concerns because... uh, I, I'm not looking to have more kids. The woman I'm with, I'm with is uh, near my age and couldn't have kids anyway. And uh, I am at an age where COVID can easily harm me. So even though the vaccine is probably some small risk, it's a risk worth taking. The risk of not getting the vaccine is much higher to me than getting the vaccine. So the 300 million was more than enough. And these are just plans. This is what Joe Biden is claiming is going to happen. That doesn't mean it will happen. If we fail to get there, then he can always give an excuse later. You know how politicians are. It sounds good right now to say that. And I I believe that he's shooting for that. I believe that's his goal. I don't think he's lying about that. 
but whether we actually get there is questionable. Now we really we don't need three hundred million though. We we there will not be three hundred million people in the U.S. who want the vaccine by the thirty first of July. There just won't be. But that that is the goal anyway. And he claims that he has basically secured these doses. They don't exist yet, but that uh, he secured the the plans and the commitments to do this. Now, July 31st is still pretty far away. That's still a long time. I mean, that's that's four and a half months. That's five and a half months, not four and a half months. Five and a half months. And that's a long time to go when you know the vaccine's out there and people are getting it, and you're, you've got to wait five and a half more months. Now, I'm not saying that you'll get the, the doses in the last day. I'm just saying that uh, if you're not in one of these priority groups, then it could be quite some time. And I think this is going to start to frustrate some people, the ones who want it but just are not in a group to get it. When you start seeing a higher and higher percentage of people who are vaccinated and are able to go back and live life freely. Right now you're just seeing uh, elderly people and uh, certain select people who are in uh, professions that allow it. But for the most part, people you know are probably in the same boat as you. They haven't had the vaccine. But as you start to see more and more people having it and you don't, it's going to start becoming frustrating. I know it will to me. But that, that is what the claim is right now, in case you're looking for the timetable of, of like the maximum time you probably have to wait to get it, though it could even be longer than that. There have been some concerns that it might be even until the end of September, which would be a really long time if you think about it. Uh, I will not play the World Series of Poker, no matter when it's offered, if I have to wear a mask during it. Even if I have had the vaccine and I'm feeling confident that I won't get COVID, I'm not going to sit there all day playing tournaments with a mask on. I know, Brandon, you said that too, right? I think Brandon's getting a sandwich or something. No, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. I was muted and I didn't want to bother you. I'm making something to eat for breakfast. But no, there's no chance I'll sit there and play. It doesn't even matter if it's a four or five hour tournament. I, I don't, I'm not going to wear a mask and do it. Yeah. I won't, I won't be comfortable. I don't. I mean, I can function enough going to the grocery store or what have you, but I couldn't sit there all day. It just wouldn't be enjoyable. I mean, I guess I could. It definitely wouldn't be enjoyable. So I'm not yeah, going to do it. No it chance. wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. And uh, you know, at least in a cash game, I could give it a shot. I could see how I'm feeling. I could say, okay, well, like after an hour, okay, this sucks. I'm going home. Like I, at least I know I'm not having to be committing to be there for a long time because once you start a tournament, you're not going to leave with chips. If if even if you hate wearing the mask. With a cash game, at least at any point, I can say, okay, screw this, I'm tired of it, and leave, or I can take a long break. Uh, there's a lot more you can do with a cash game you, that you can do with a tournament as far as flexibility. So uh, I might try to hit play cash once I get vaccinated, and I may hate it with the, the mask on. Uh, I have not had to wear a mask for a long period of time. And no matter Whatever I've done has not been a long period of time thing where I need to wear the mask. It's only been – I've only worn my mask when I've been uh, indoors – uh, and uh, whenever I'm indoors, which has been rare because I've really been avoiding it, it's, it's for a pretty short time. Or when it's been a longer time, I'm not needing to wear a mask. Like when I'm getting a root canal, I can't wear a mask. Uh, when I was getting the colonoscopy, I was uh, wearing a mask waiting for them to give it to me. But then once they gave it to me, I was uh, sleeping. So that that didn't matter. In fact, they put oxygen on me, not a regular mask. So I have not had to be anywhere for a long period of time wearing a mask. But to me, that seems very unpleasant, and it's not something I would voluntarily want to do, like going to play live poker, which I don't have to go to, 
And I see Brandon feels the same way. Now, Trader Ruski, how will you feel about this? Will you be okay wearing a mask for a long period of time like at a World Series event, or does this seem unappealing to you? Well, I think it seems unappealing. I mean, you know, look, if, first of all, pre-COVID, I could probably have arguments for wearing a mask at the poker table, some of the games that I've been in. But, you know, so, I mean, look, like that CES mask I sent you, maybe if there's something more comfortable, but I just don't know... When I, you know, just be cool not wearing a mask, I think you're going to have to make a decision. Like, am I going to wait two more years or should I wear a mask or a mask part of the time? I don't know. Oh, no, I'll be cool not wearing If they let me not wear one. You know, they they could really spread out, like, the the Amazon. They don't have to have everybody on top of each other like they've had in previous years. I'm wondering if there's a way to, you know, spread it out a little bit, too. Yeah, well, see, I'm not worried so much about If I have the vaccine... I'm not going to be worried about catching it. Yeah, there's a small chance, but I'm not going to be worried about that. What, what I'm going to be worried about is that I'm going to be stuck in a mask all day, and once I start, there's no getting out of it, at least for that event. So I could be committing myself to three days of wearing the mask. It may be very uncomfortable. I may hate it. It could be distracting. And, and also, like, do I want to come all the way to Vegas and then play one event and say, this is terrible, I don't want to wear a mask all day, and then go back home? Like, that would suck, too. So I... I really just don't want to do it. I, I'll feel comfortable not doing it, but they may have a requirement that if you want to play, you have to wear a mask, at which point I'll say, okay, you know, that's your rule. That's fine, but I don't have to do it. I don't have to come do it. I'll just stay home. So that's I, I'm thinking that may end up being what happens this year. And then the question is, what about next year? What about next summer? What about 2022? Are they going to be past that, or is it going to be still wearing masks, especially if there's mutations? So if the future of live poker is that you always have to wear a mask, then I might be done with live tournament poker. As I said, cash poker I might be willing to try because there it's much more flexibility and uh, and I can leave at any time if I start to feel like this is bothersome. So we, we will have to see with that. But it, I, I will feel okay not wearing one. It's just a matter of what I'll be allowed to do. Right. And Brandon, I mean, haven't, like, some of the tournaments you've played in I mean, you played in, like, one or two at South Point post-COVID, right? I mean, is everybody wearing a mask there? They have to, right? I played in a couple, yeah. I played in a couple, like, daily tournaments right when this all started, right, right when the casinos opened, and they had the plexiglass, and then I started rethinking my decision. But that was back in June, July, I guess. Um, and, yeah, of course, everyone, there was a mandate. Everyone was wearing masks, and I'll tell you. Right. Um, not that I'm, you know, condoning it, you know, it's an individual choice, but at least at the South point, it was just beyond phenomenal in terms of them just constantly wiping and cleaning. Not that I'm saying that makes it, you know, a difference, you know, it's probably more just for the illusion of making a difference, but, um, I never, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the safety partitions and everyone diligently wore masks. If someone's mask was falling below their nose, you know, someone, Noticed it. They were immediately telling them to you know, raise their mask. No one was giving any problems. Um, so, and then those were very small tournaments. And I'll tell you, like from time to time on breaks, I'd go into the bathroom or something and just lift up the mask or go outside. I mean, it's just I can do it. You know, I don't have a trouble breathing. It's just kind right. of obnoxious. It's just I don't really enjoy. You know, I'm not, not comfortable. Here, yeah. I guess. I guess. But you know, if you multiply that or magnify it, towns the fact that you'd have to do that for eight, ten, twelve hours. You know, it could be done, sure, but it's just that it takes away the enjoyment. That, at least for me, it would that long. I just no, wouldn't enjoy it. I'd rather just be at home and, and just doing something else. 
I got you. And I think, too, like, and so I'm assuming, too, like, even just reading well, you know the what? lips to see if somebody said they checked or not, is that like it? I mean, I'd assume it's much more hand motions now, how the dealers are kind of figuring out what everybody's up to. Or they have to talk louder. You know what I'm saying? I would think just by somebody's no, no mouth loop. What are you saying? I'm just saying because you can't see people's mouth. I don't know if somebody's checking or saying check. <laughs> if you're in seat two and I'm in seat seven or six, usually I could see your lips move if you're saying check, although I may not hear you. You have a mask on. You know what I'm saying? I would think that would no, be some controversy. Uh, he's, he's saying it's going to be harder to see what people very, are very doing for their, he knows. For, for their, for their like, kind of verbal he's declarations. Here, like, someone, someone says check, you, you hear it muffled in the mask. You don't know if the, what they're saying. You don't know if they're saying the, an amount that they're betting never, or checking. That really, wasn't a, that, that really wasn't a problem. I mean, you can hear people for the most part. Maybe it's a little, you know, gruffy or whatever because it's of the right, mask. But no, that, that, no. Right. Yeah. I guess the casino is probably not as loud too. This is probably just less. Yeah, I, I think it's probably okay. I wouldn't be too worried about that, but uh, it it is something that just the mask itself could start to be bothersome, especially if you're not used to it. If you if you're working a regular job every day and wearing the mask eight hours a day, you probably are used to it by now. It's not going to be that bothersome to do it for a poker tournament. But for someone like me who is not going through long periods wearing a mask, then it's going to feel very bothersome. I start to feel it bothersome after a short time of wearing it and I, I just think wow I I would hate wearing this thing for like 10 hours so sure that's something I'm just not going to want to do and if I have to give up live tournament poker for a long time or maybe forever then then I will you know I don't, I don't have to play it I I like to play the World Series but if it's going to be under those conditions then I won't well I'll tell you that's a one thing that's an absolute certainty is there will be no World Series that takes place this year in which you won't be Forced to wear a mask. Yeah, so that's you, that's you what I'm thinking. So I'm probably not going to play. That now that's not going to happen. Well, that's what I was saying. I was there's telling no people. World, there's no world where that doesn't happen. That I was saying a few months Sorry. ago that I, I I'm calling my shot now that I'm not going to play the 2021 World Series. That it just seems very unlikely. This is a few months ago I said this, and I now yeah. think that's even more likely. I'm not going to play it. So, you know, if that's what happens, that's what happens. If things change, life changes, and. Could be worse things than that. Well, you know what though? What you could what you could always do though, just to I don't just hear me out here. To give yourself just a little bit of a reprieve and feel a little bit part of it is you could always come here and isolate in your room and just play the online events that you know, assuming there are any that interest you, whether it's, you know I mean you know, it's the WSOP software so there won't be horse or events like that, so you basically have your no limit events and well they're actually they, they actually may come out with a, better event, as i mentioned last week as i mentioned last week they're trying to get that new software out before the world series so it's possible it would be the new software which might have other games so uh yeah it, it like if i saw some events that they're running on there and also the, the software would you could, consider doing that i would consider it see once i if i have the vaccine and i'm not worried about getting covid myself i just don't want to sit there with a mask on for 10 hours but i know i can just sit in my room without a mask and play online yeah i I might come and play some of those online events especially uh type of events i might be more interested in like like uh mixed game events or omaha 8 events or limit hold'em events so uh, those type of things I, i i might be willing to do that and uh uh, so I, I, I'm not totally ruling it out, but 
it's just as far as in the live World Series, sitting there with a mask on all day, I don't know if... Uh, now, I could try a trial run. I could see, like, I could go down and play cash and wear the mask, and if it sucks, I'll say, okay, well, I'm not going to want to play a tournament. But if I can sit there playing cash for many hours and the mask doesn't bother me and I get used to it, maybe I will play a tournament then. I just wouldn't want to come all the way over there and and uh, and register for a tournament only to hate it. So... Yeah, it, I guess it is a thing I could test out with a cash game first when you had to come to Vegas for that and, and see how I could stand wearing a mask while playing poker. And if it's too bothersome, then I'll say, okay, I won't do any tournaments like this. I, I guess I'll have to do a trial run with that, maybe a commerce or something once I get the vaccine and see how I feel about that. But I guess we'll see. I, I, yeah, I kind of miss it in some ways, but uh, some of this just does not seem appealing to me. Okay, so I want to move on to the final topic here, and then we'll shut this down. One of the longest shows we've ever had. Some questions that I've had, one of the biggest questions I've had, has been about the vaccine and whether it prevents transmission, not just prevents symptoms. Now, preventing symptoms is good, too. That's the most important thing, that you don't get sick and die from it. But if you can transmit it, then you can give it to other people. And if others who've had the vaccine before you can transmit it... I have a call here. Okay, I'll take it. I almost ignored it because I've been on too long and I just... I don't know. I just don't feel like it. But all right. Caller, you on the air. Hey, how are you doing, Todd? I just woke up and I see you guys are still on, so I thought I'd give you a quick call. And, and um, China Maniac, is that you? <laughs> oh, hey, oh, who's that? Is that the is that the Rusty? Is that the no? Brandon that's Rusty that's Brandon. Guy? That's Brandon. Oh, Brandon, this I, is Trader Rusty. What's happening, brother? Hey, Rusty, how you doing, buddy? Well, so so, so identify yourself, oh, caller. Just call me, let's just go with Chris. How's that? Okay, is that fair enough? Um. Have you guys been paying attention to the weather? I live in the Midwest. You've been paying Wait, attention who is this? to the weather. In I'm the sorry. Midwest. Who is who Just is this on Chris. the line? He's calling himself Chris. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like you're Brandon. I'm Chris. Uh, have okay. you guys been paying attention to the weather in the Midwest? Uh, no. I, I just woke up this morning, and. Uh, it's minus eight degrees. Ooh. And it feels like yeah, minus I spoke- 27. And it feels like minus 27. So. Yeah, I, I, spoke, I spoke to a client. It was minus three in Dallas, she said last weekend. Or, yeah, a few days ago. Crazy, though, huh? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fucking nuts. It's colder. I mean, it's just. You don't even want to go anywhere. It's just ridiculous. But that's just kind of a side note. Uh, another question I have for you guys is: Doesn't hasn't the U, do, hasn't the WSOP usually re- released its schedule by now for the if it's going to start in you know beginning of June? Uh, yes, yes, they definitely would have. Now? Yes, that's that's a good point. They. They definitely will have released the schedule in a normal year by this point. By this point, you would know about the events for that uh, upcoming late May, June, July series. Uh, it is, as mentioned earlier on the show, it was uh, 
it's strongly believed now that the World Series of Poker will not take place in May or June, that it will be in July or maybe later. So they, uh, I think they're trying to delay it as much as possible yeah. to allow more people to get vaccinated. Yes. And, and that's another question. Like, with an event like that, is there, like, like, is there any is there any way or could they ever mandate that you have to be vaccinated to play? Yes, they can do what they want. I mean, how would they, how how would they even monitor that though? I, I think you'd have to present well, proof li- or something. Live Nation, sorry, sorry, Jeff. Did we talk about the Live Nation thing on the show? No, yet? no. Live, yeah, Live Nation basically has a program. I think, like Chris has talked about, to go to concerts, right? Think you'd have to prove your vaccination to go to a concert and it's like a new thing that's just rolling out so it's like some kind of app or something they would have and you'd register your information or whatever and they would say okay exactly. you're clear to play or yeah okay or, or attend a I, conference I, I think they're doing it for sporting events because i was i was kind of getting things lined up because i was going to go out there i was going to go out there and play last year and then i started then i started thinking about it this year but i i don't think i'm going to do it I don't think I'm going to go this year, though. I just unless it's maybe like in October or something, where I don't know. I just don't see myself going out there, and I just don't see myself doing it. But that's just my opinion. What's your, what's your opinion, Todd? I, I apologize if you already discussed this, but well, I I, I was just saying that if if I have the vaccine, then I feel safe personally. But it's just a matter of how much uh, I can stand wearing a mask, mask. For, for a long period yeah. of time. And, uh, you know, that's that's just something I'll have to decide. I'll have to try to see how much I can stand it. And if it's bothersome, then I won't play tournaments. And, you know, I look at it like things in life change and not everything in your life that you're doing today you'll necessarily be doing tomorrow. And you, you have to adjust and... And that's the way I've looked at this the entire year, and I've also looked at this in the way that there's going to be an end at some point or an improvement at some point, and that even if everything doesn't completely come back, then yeah, I'll still be able to deal with it. If, if I don't ever play tournament poker again, or I don't play live tournament poker, I have to play the online version or whatever, uh, then that's the way it is. Uh, right now, I wouldn't love it if this is the rest of my life where I don't go to restaurants, I don't ever travel, I, you know, I don't ever play live poker again. I, you know, like, if all these things combined are the future and not, not seeing anybody else outside of my family, like the, that would suck. And that I want to see an end to yeah. pretty soon. But if it's just like most things are back to normal, but there's something <laughs> like the, playing the World Series the, 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 in the live events I'm not going to do anymore, I, I'd prefer that's not the case, but it's something I can handle. And yeah, that's, that's, that's another thing I was going to say that people that I kind of like my parent, you know, you and I are pretty much the same age. I'm 48 year, 48 year, a few months ahead of me, but, um, you know, my parents, you know, retired a couple years ago and they worked hard their whole life, saved money, you know, now they were going to kind of enjoy traveling and stuff. And now they're kind of stuck at home. <laughs> you know, it's, I kind of feel sorry for those guys because they're, had all these plans of doing all this stuff and now everything's put put on delay for you know a year so far and maybe more and you just don't know how much how much time they have and you know you, I just yeah well yeah, my, my, my parents are the same thing they had trips planned they had to cancel them 
and uh, they're, they're really uh, looking forward to being able to do that again. They, they got the first dose. They've got a second dose appointment, which was not easy, but they, they, they finally got it. And they uh, once that time passes after the second dose, then they'll be able to return a lot to normal life. And I'm happy for them because you, it's not just about how long you live. It's also about uh, how long you're healthy enough to do these things. And also yeah, when, you have a, when you have a couple, yeah. you, you have uh, two parents, you know, one will probably out one will outlive the other and one will stay healthy longer than the other so that's the other problem if one is healthy and then one isn't that also kills the ability to travel so you have to have both people healthy enough to do it and when you get pretty old that that's no longer a given even a year from now even two years from now and and i i even had a conversation with my father about this unrelated to COVID. he was just saying that uh like he was talking about like a certain thing that he's planning for 2023 and then he said well you know hopefully we can do it everything's good now but yeah, I, I realize what age I am, and I, I hope that everything will still be the same then. And uh, so they, you have to start thinking that way at that age. Where, like for me, I don't think about okay, will I be able to? Will I be in the condition to do this in twenty twenty three? I don't even think that way. I think I'll be pretty much the same guy. Yeah. So yeah, it sucks that these the, exactly. these these final years of their life of, of of being able to still be active and do things are, are being taken from them, and that's why they're so eager to return. A couple of questions. I know you had mentioned that your parents had got the vaccine. So this is how much research I've done. Is, there, is the vaccine, like, is that free or is that, like, does that cost people? I mean, is that free? It, it is free. In public since we're in a pandemic? Yeah, it, it's free because they... Who is they, this again? <laughs> this is guy Chris. That's, that's, that's what he's going by. But, yeah, it, it is. He, he's 48 years old. His name's Chris. That's what he's telling us. But, look, I... Hi, Chris. <laughs> it, it is. Hi, who's that? Who's the, the, that on the? Who nobody knows who each other are here. I'm the only Brandon? one anybody knows here. Oh. Uh, anyway, the government, Chris. The uh, government pays for it. Yeah, all. the government pays the, the whole thing. The government pays for it all. Yeah. They, they know, don't I want. I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know it. I, I thought that, but I wasn't. wasn't yeah, it's 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 a no cost thing. They, they don't want that to be the reason people don't get it, where they can't afford it, and there, there would also be tremendous protest about this if uh, if only people who could afford it would get it. So this is the type of thing where they really want everyone protected, both for the public good and just uh, to be fair to everybody, and that's fine. And that's and the truth is that basically uh, it's a it's being comped. It's a comp. It really <laughs> is a comp. Yeah. It's a comp, but truthfully, what do you say? What What do you know about that new Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine coming out? Is that is that uh, equivalent to the other ones, or is it no? It's, or? it's not. It's one dose, but uh, I like the mRNA ones. The mRNA vaccines are the future of vaccines. the The, the future is actually now with with those. They're the first ones that ever came out. They work a different way. They're much more effective. The other ones are more traditional vaccines, like the flu vaccine. It kind of sucks. It has like a 50% efficacy rate. So I want something with a very high efficacy rate like the Pfizer and the Moderna, which are the mRNA vaccines. And, you know, if, if I've got to go and get two doses, that's fine. It's it's a bit of a pain in the ass, especially yeah. if the second appointment's not an automatic, which in some case it is. So some listen, cases it's uh, not. I don't mean to cut you off here, but we're on a little bit of a time crunch here. But, Chris, as we often do when we infrequently have guests, we let them give them an opportunity <laughs> to, to promote something. Maybe they're up to, like, if uh, maybe you have a book coming out or a training site. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, no, zero. I just called in. I woke up. I didn't expect mm-hmm. – um, 
I fell asleep listening to you guys, and I woke up, and it was still running. So yeah, I, I didn't call. expect it, it either. I, I Trust me, I didn't expect to be on at 7. Mm. Another question, too. I just wanted to thank you. I'm mm-hmm, getting sure. a, the, the colonoscopy has kind of brought my some light to light light to me, and I've uh, got a appointment scheduled for later this fall. Oh, wait. So, so you, wait, did you make an appointment because of me? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Now, do, now, do you, I, thought, I, I, I always thought it was uh, – I was going to wait until I was 50. Because I don't have any family history or anything. Oh, okay. I just – and I had a doctor's appointment anyways oh. with my general physician, so I'm just like, hey, let's just get this scheduled for, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to give it a little bit of time to see if this COVID thing kind of calmed down. Yeah, I don't blame you. For, 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 for no family history, for sure. In October. Chris, yeah. not to dissuade you or nothing, do what you got to do, but just my, you know, impression, you sound fine. <laughs> Come on, Brandon. Uh, look, I, I want to tell you, well, though. He sounds healthy and fine. Uh, well, you know, I, I sounded. The, I, I had four polyps, and I, I had a four polyps and one big precancerous one. And I sounded the same as I do right now. I sounded the exact same. So, in fact, I, I sound the same now as thirty years ago. That's that's one thing that has not changed about me. I think I think I'm going to sound this way when I'm eighty. So, so I, when do you have to go back in? Would you I, have to go back again and have it done in two years? Or? No, in three years, in, in the beginning of two thousand twenty-four. But uh, with, with, without a family history, you should definitely wait till COVID's over because it's it's not a rush for you. I, I think the very high chance here, or at least I wouldn't say very, but the high chance they're going to find nothing. But you, you are 48, and, and by then you might be 49, so it, it's, it's worth doing. One thing you should do, though, is uh, you may want to tell the insurance there's a family history, even if there's not. You should, you should check first if they cover it for people over 45. Rather than over fifty, if they don't, then make up oh. some BS about a family history. Otherwise, they're going to charge you an, uh, a, like a lot of money for it. So, uh, I didn't have to make up anything because I really have a family history. But you may want to do that. There is a recommendation now to get it at forty-five, no matter what. And in fact, there's a recommendation if you have family history to start at forty, which might be a little bit overkill. But uh, you're you're getting pretty close to fifty, and you might as well. Because it's possible that you are predisposed to it, and just everybody in your family's been lucky, so you you might as well uh, give this a shot and and do it. It's it's very close to fifty anyway. But check with the insurance. You should call up the insurance and say when is a colonoscopy covered. Just ask them that general question, and then if they say well if it's fifty, but family history forty five, just say oh yeah I have a family history. Say you know, my my dad had a precancerous polyp or something like that. It's, a, it's it, it, then they'll cover it because it, it, they really should cover it after forty-five. But some insurances do, some insurances don't. I didn't have to worry about that because I I really had the family history. So that's just a little tip for you there, and uh, good luck with it. If, if you you can text me seven seven five three seven two eight three five five when it comes closer to it, yeah. I'll give you some tips about uh, everything. I, I was the I was the one that texted you about if you had lube in your asshole. Oh, that's that. Well, I appreciate the text. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you. Hey, hey Chris. Chris, maybe yeah, you and I up, can buddy. talk sometime. Maybe you and I can talk sometime <laughs> what, and get to know each other. What's better. your What's your What's your text number? Um, I have to look. Hold on. Uh oh. It's. <laughs> you know what? Are you Are you a Are you a part of uh, the fraud The fraud network? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Just send me a PM on there. Okay. My name All is right. Drexel. See you, buddy. On there. Send me a PM. 
Okay, bye-bye. Right. Nice, thanks for okay. calling in. <laughs> see you, Trey Daruski. All right. Bye, Chris. I don't know what happened to Trey Daruski, but he'll say goodbye in spirit. Anyway, let, let me get back to the top, the final topic here. This just show keeps extending. The the concern has been if there's going to be immunity, not I mean not just immunity, but but also the uh, suppression of transmission. And the reason I care about this a lot is because I want to see my parents. And I'm actually concerned that my parents will go back out into normal life once they get the second dose, which is going to be very soon, that they might catch COVID, be asymptomatic, which is good. Like I, I If they're going to get it, I want them to be asymptomatic and not, not have it affect them. But then I see them and they'll transmit it to me. They're going to have a much higher chance of being exposed to COVID once they go back out into normal life after they get the vaccine. So I'm not worried for them at that point. I'm worried for myself that they will give it to me. So if I know that they either won't transmit it once they're vaccinated or are not likely to transmit it, then I will be much more confident with seeing them. So my dad asked me when I left after the colonoscopy and after I recovered enough to drive back, uh, he said, when am I going to see you again? I said, well, I've got to look into whether the vaccine is going to uh, prevent transmission, and it's kind of not known right now, but I'll be watching that closely. And if it does prevent transmission, or at least mostly prevent transmission, then I'll see you. Otherwise, I may not want to see you much until I'm vaccinated myself. So I really hope that's the case. And it's no longer just hoping, though. Uh, The CDC is claiming now that they have enough evidence that the that getting the vaccines prevents transmission to where they are no longer saying that you need to quarantine after being exposed to COVID if you have already had the vaccine. And that's pretty big. And they're talking about being fully vaccinated, which means 14 days prior to the, or following the second dose. So that doesn't just mean you get one shot like uh, Tyrone had. It's that you've gotten both doses and two weeks have passed after that. So once that point has happened, the CDC is now saying, even if you were right next to somebody who had COVID, that you don't have to worry about being around other people. They're, They're actually saying you do not have to quarantine away from others, which is pretty big. Now, it's not that the CDC is always right. It's possible they're saying this now, and then they're going to have to walk this back and go, ah, actually, we're kind of wrong about this. Yeah, you should stay away from people if you think you may have been exposed to COVID and were vaccinated. You may still be transmissible. So this isn't a slam dunk, but this is a good sign. And the reason they are saying this now is that they have had some preliminary studies, and they have seen in their uh, preliminary studies that – the vaccine's slow transmission of the virus. Saskia Popescu, who is an epidemiologist and infection preventionist at uh, George Mason University in Virginia, said that the this new guidance from the CDC reiterates that there is confidence in protection for those 90 days following vaccination, which is similar to the robust immunity after infection. And that they will uh, 
likely give more specific guidance as they learn more. So basically the CDC is saying right now it kind of looks like after you're vaccinated and two weeks pass, it's very similar to someone who already had COVID, where you basically don't have to worry about getting it from them. Like I actually said to Master Scaler that I can actually see him now. I haven't yet, but that's... It's true, I actually can see Master Scaler because he had COVID and is recovered from COVID. I can see Eric Benzamokin, same thing. So, I haven't yet, but I could. These are people I could actually you see. Could, uh, you, could, you could see Tom Hanks. True. And I'll let him know that as well. So, yeah, there's... Uh, so you could, see, uh, uh, you could see James Harden. I, I could see Donald he Trump. Yep. I don't think I can see Biden, though. I think Biden uh, hasn't gotten it yet. But he did have the vaccine, so maybe I can see him. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping, really, that I can see my parents, and this, this guidance here is pretty positive about that. I've been looking for something like this. Now, this is preliminary. They're not 100% sure, but it's enough for the CDC to say, hey, uh, we think this is safe enough to where you, even if you've been right next to someone with COVID, if you've had the vaccine and it was more than two weeks ago since the second dose, yeah, go see other people. We don't think you're going to transmit it. And common sense from what we know about these viruses would say that this is the case because you tend to be transmitting the virus when uh, you're showing symptoms, when you've reached enough of a viral load in your body to where you are completely infected and your body has not fought it off yet. Basically, if your body already knows to fight it off, if your body has learned how to fight it off and has fought off enough of it, even if a little of it remains, it's uh, it's not enough to infect other people. And that's basically what the vaccines are doing, is they're teaching your body how to fight it off right away. So that you would think that even if you received a large viral load that would normally be enough to get you sick, that your body's going to fight it off so fast that you're not going to transmit it. Or it's going to be not common to transmit it. So common sense would say that. As I said last week, if you think about the common cold, some of which are coronaviruses, the time when you're transmissible is right before showing symptoms and while your symptoms are either increasing or staying the same. But that once you start to get better, even if you're not totally better, you're thought to be safe. So if you never show symptoms, then you're probably not going to be transmitting. So the same thing is probably what's going on here. It probably is safe, and it probably will be safe for me to see my parents. It will probably be safe for you guys listening to see your parents if they get the vaccine before you, which they likely will if you're middle-aged and they're old. So that's big news. It's still evolving, but I wanted to let you guys know that that's where it stands at the moment. And where we stand at the moment is we're done. I'm not going to do any more. We've had a very long show. I started this show. Thank you, I started. Oh, sorry, I couldn't get off mute earlier. Okay. Thank you, Chris. And I was trying to get off mute. And listen, not to be selfish or nothing. You probably aren't going to believe it, but it's really true. Trader Ruski and I have yoga in less than uh, an hour. What? Now, so we're going to have to get going too. What? What are you talking Trader about? Trader Ruski, you want to tell him? Yoga. It's actually yoga nidra meditation. It's meditation. So it's yoga nidra oh. meditation. But how do you do it? Is yeah, it, is it over Zoom? Eight o'clock it starts. It's a Zoom on Zoom. 
It, it is on Zoom, Jeff, and I can send you the link if you'd like. Or, yeah. I, the the great David Brenner, or I'm sorry, the great Richard Brenner hosts it, and he's a very good sensei. Or not? Is it right? Is sensei the right word? Yeah. Trader Ruski? Guru, like guru. Like yeah, sensei sensei's for karate. Guru. Yeah, and, so, and he used to own Hugo's I've done this. Browns in L.A. Mm-hmm. I've done this like five times now, the 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 yoga with the sensei. I'm running better at poker. I'm really? able to relax better. Just everything is coming together. So I would highly advise it. You seem to have a lot of anxiety in you, my little buddy. Maybe you, you know what? A try this morning after a twelve hour show. I, I do have anxiety sometimes, uh much mm-hmm. more than I used to, ever since uh, two and a half years ago. But uh I, I will say that uh it's gonna sound strange, but I actually don't like being too relaxed. I actually, I actually don't even like that feeling. I, I, I actually prefer to uh, not be relaxed. No, I don't like anxiety. I, I hate that. That's that's too much the other way. That's that, that was when it was at a very high level. It was torturous. That that I, I don't ever want again. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm just not that type of person. I, I I don't I don't know if I could get into it. I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying. It. I'm glad Trader Risky is enjoying it here. I'm glad you've uh, found something. Like that, that can relax you and have uh, positive results for uh, for for you and your poker and everything else. I I just you know I'll, I'll just, I just I want to feel normal. That's I I don't want to feel too relaxed. I don't want to feel too uh, I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel stressed out. Uh, All right. It's, well, maybe it's, yoga nitro isn't for you then. You, you know what I actually said? It, 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 since you bring up being relaxed, when I sat down. On the last day of the 3K Limit Hold'em event in 2005, Jesus. and I, I, I sat down and I was very tense, and uh, I, I really wanted to win that day. But I, of course, there, there was a long way to go. But I really wanted to win the event, and I felt very tense. And I said to myself at first, "I better relax." And then I noticed I was actually mm-hmm. playing better, being tense, because I was not stressed. I wasn't having any kind of anxiety. I was just kind of tense, but I was also very alert. And I had a good feel for everything going on at the table because I was I had kind of just a small level of stress that was kind of like a tension. I called it a tension that was actually helping me play better. Mm-hmm. And I, so I said, you know what? I'm not going to fight it. I actually I want to stay this tense. So I actually I remained that tense for the entire day and won. Now, that reminds me of one of my favorite jokes growing up. An Indian Native American walks into a doctor's <laughs> office and says he's not feeling well. The doctor says, what's wrong? And the Indian says, I'm a teepee. I'm not a teepee. I'm a teepee. I'm not a teepee. The doctor looks at him and says, you know what your problem is? You're too tense. I <laughs> <laughs> was a kid. I thought it was funny. Now if I said that, they'd cancel. No, you, no you'd, be, you'd be glad if this is the ninth hour of the show or tenth hour of the show, whatever it is, and that no one's listening anymore. Otherwise, you oh. you probably have some consequences. Actually, that's not true. I bet we, you think we go so? look. I'm, I'm going to look and see if we have more of an audience right now than we started with. Because no, Don't we, we normally pick up now in the UK? We, we do, but some hours we didn't pick up. I think people just aren't expecting we're on. Also, these, these, are, bad, these are really bad hours for the U.S. because this is Saturday morning. People on the West Coast are definitely not awake, or most of them are not, 
at, at 7 a.m. And even and the some East people, Coast, they're all watching Meet the Press, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the thing is, there's even people who haven't woken up yet on the East Coast or just are waking up and even are think, aren't even thinking of the radio. And then you have people, like even people in the Mountain Time Zone, it's only 8-something and it's only 9-something in, in the Central. So there's a lot of people who are not awake yet, or if they are awake, aren't even thinking of this. And... Uh, yeah. Now we we do we do have good hours right now for Europe though. Like in the UK, it is uh, like three p.m. So it's it's convenient. I bet you that belly buster he's listening. Yeah, he might somewhere. be. And and, and uh, Colonel Fabersham, he's, he's probably listening. Yeah. Saying, uh, you know, I I love it when uh, you you do the show all night and all of a sudden it's it's not at a, at a bloody time, which is. Completely inconvenient for me. Like you begin at 10 p.m. Pacific, which is not particularly good for those in New York anyway. But can you imagine here in London? It's six in the morning. You expect me to turn on your show? Like, have you gone mad? But then at 3 p.m., the Colonel—he's much happier. He says, "Oh, you know, I, I can sit here. Um, it's it's right in between lunch and supper, and uh, you know, it's just um, I, I'm I'm passing the time. There's not a Whole lot to do at three p.m. It's it's during the winter. The weather is rather dreadful. It's it's, it's a bit nippy outside. I'm, I'm sitting here with a spot of tea and uh, just listening to your show. It's not late. It's not too early. Why can't you do the show every day at this time? Is what the colonel asks. Then he'd have a point. Mm-hmm. But what? Anyway, uh, I and listen before I go. Uh, before we all go, one last parting word here. I feel like it's a public service announcement of anything now Druff, why don't you tell all the boys and girls at home that are listening even the potential future gamblers if you're in the great state of nevada or maybe even new jersey maybe even rhode island and soon to be pennsylvania if you want to cash out ever and just not accumulate your wsop account you got to make sure one thing never occurs and Druff, why don't you tell them boys and girls out there what that one thing is got to do if you want to cash out your your password cannot be fewer than six characters or more than 12 very good because <laughs> yeah, if not you'll just be in this loop where you can never cash out that may, maybe that's, that's written into state law maybe it says in, in nevada state law uh <laughs> players may not cash out of sight if password is too long or short <laughs> That's such a bizarre thing. Unbelievable. You know, it, it, as I've always said about Caesars, if there is a way to fail, if there's a potential way to fi- fail, they will find it. Yeah. And and same with Norwegian cruises. That's why they had a great partnership going, because they were so similar. And then I, I learned a <laughs> tremendous amount about both companies. I like I, I really, by after all my time with both, I actually knew more than a lot of their employees about their company and about how to do things. Like, I, I actually telling them what codes to enter into their computer or why a certain error is happening. And they're, like, shocked that I know these things. I, like, on Norwegian, I actually had the, the manager of all the restaurants on board, like, the, the high restaurant manager, like, who's actually an officer on board. She actually said to me, you should work for Norwegian. You know more about this uh, the system than everybody here. <laughs> I did. I, I, I learned it. I, I really – I knew so much about that company and – and, uh, well, so what could you have been, like a switchboard yeah. operator or something, customer service? What? No, no, I, I, I could have been uh, like a high manager on there. I really, like I could solve problems with their own system. Like a, there would be some kind of error 
with, with the billing or something else and they couldn't solve it. And I go, no, 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 I think it's happening for this reason. I think if you use this code, it'll fix. <laughs> and then they do what it does and they, they're shocked I know this. They said, did you once work here? I go, no, 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 I just learned this from, uh, from previous instances where certain things were tried and I asked what was done and like, you know, so like they're shocked at how much I get to know. And same thing with Caesars. Like I've actually solved problems that have occurred by explaining like either, like either what to do to solve it or why it's happening. Where they're like, they have one theory, and I say, no, 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 that's not why, here's why. And they're always like pretty shocked how much I know, given that I never worked for either company. But I like, I learn these things because it, it, it benefits me, because like, after I've experienced enough, I know how to uh, navigate both companies to my advantage the most, and including solving issues that come up. And uh, so I, I did think it was an interesting partnership, though, because they, they really both have a lot of fail, yet they, because of all the fail, you can actually sometimes benefit from it. So I, I like to say with Caesars and Norwegian, what's good about them is also what's bad about them, and vice versa. They came up with the first lose-lose partnership. <laughs> all right, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for this in advance. I know that you want to get off the air. I oh, no. Oh, we got yoga coming up. Jeannie wants to say something, a closing something. Can you just call her? Right I, I'm calling Jeannie Ooh, back. Okay. And then it's it. look up the phone She's number. texting me, asking me to have Todd call her. She wants is, to is just something to contribute, breaking news or something. Breaking news. What if it's like another sure. two-hour topic i got to do here? No, it's it's. I hope it's not that I'm not good of breaking my news. Yoga. I have a meeting. I got. I got a meeting. No, I'm actually hoping it's not a big topic. I, like if it's a big topic, I'm going to find an excuse not to cover it. No, it won't be. Okay. It won't be. Well, she's listening to you right now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad she's listening. That. I'm just saying that. Uh, Trader Ruski, there's only so much a guy can do here. this morning. I'm going to be there, but I got to deal with my other thing going on now. So I mean, that's yeah. Right. I, got, I just got everybody blowing my. There's only there's only so much I can do. I know. My, my Jeannie, voice can't so much. I can't believe you guys are still on the air. So I want to tell a bedtime story. <laughs> a bedtime story, but for me that's good. I will be going to sleep. So go ahead. Good. All right. You have to listen very carefully. Okay. Yes. So a, right. a frog. A frog goes into the bank, and he approaches the teller. He can see from her nameplate that her name is Patty Whack. So he says, "Okay, Miss Whack, I'd like to get a loan to take a holiday." $3,000, please. Patty looks at the frog in disbelief and says, what's your name? He said, well, my name is Kermit Jagger. My dad is Mick Jagger. And that's okay because I know the bank manager. So Patty explains she's going to have to take, you know, need to secure the loan with some kind of collateral. The frog says, sure, I have this. He produces a tiny porcelain elephant about an inch tall, bright pink, perfectly formed. Very confused, Patty explains that she's going to have to consult with the bank manager. So she goes, disappears, goes into the bank office. She finds the manager and she said, listen, there's a frog out there. His name is Kermit Jagger. He claims to know you. He wants to borrow $3,000, but he wants to use this as collateral. She holds up the tiny pink elephant. She says, I mean, come on, what in the world is this? The bank manager looks back at her and says, it's a knickknack, Patty Whack. Give the frog a loan. His old man's a rolling stone. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's actually cute. That's funny. That's funny. I was was trying to figure out where that was going. I was like, I I hope I'm not going to be asked a question at the end of this. That's funny. I'm going to credit Jan Fisher for posting that on Facebook. It was hilarious. It is funny. You have to sing it, though. 
if you read it, you're going to end up singing it, and it will be in your head all day. And, Todd, you have the worst British accent in the world. No, Colonel Faversham is, is a great character. I've been on the air for nine. I've been on the air for nine hours. It's amazing I can even still talk. But, but even no, but you, you know what? She's always years ago. Yeah, she's always she's always been critical, Todd, of your British accent. That's in all fairness. She's right. She doesn't uh, think bollocks. It's British. I mean, she what, what? Them, she's she lived she lived among the Brits for almost a decade. Uh, what the bloody hell? No. You're calling into the show after after nine hours on the air. And this is what you have to contribute: some sort of fairy tale, as, as followed by uh, some sort of criticism of the accents on the show. When I was in London, London, no, I'm going to tell you, when I lived on the Isle of Man uh, for many years, they really didn't like the Americans. So I would sit home at night while I was working for PokerStars, and I would literally listen to the news and start repeating it. And I formed a pretty good British accent. And then I would go into the pharmacy or I would go into the shopping and I'd say, hello, I'd like to renew my system, please. And... They never knew I was an American. I had to really master the British accent, so they liked me. True, true now, story. Now, Jeannie, you tell me something. Is it true, I heard a rumor on the streets, that you once were at a dinner with the uh, Scheinbergs, the owners of the Poker Stars, and they walked into a Nobu with you, and they just looked yes. at the menu and said, one of everything? One of everything. It was Mark Scheinberg. <laughs> it was Isai's son, and we were in the Bahamas. We had about six of us. He was doing a meeting, and he ordered all the appetizers and then just said, just give us one of everything. Wow. The bill was about three or $4,000. I don't remember, but, you know, that's like $10 for us. Yep, it's even that. They one were, of everything. They were amazing, amazing people. Yep, yeah. I have one heard a lot of good things. Talk. I've heard a lot of good things about the, the Scheinberg uh, reign over poker stars as opposed to right now, which... Uh, isn't quite the same. Not the same. No, it's not the same. So, okay, well, th- thank you, thank you, Jeannie. And uh, well, listen, let's, let's let the old gal stay wax. on. Let's, yep, yeah, let's let Jeannie stay on for the goodbyes. She's never been a part of Can it. Can we do the dating game? Oh, you want to do the? I, no, I guess he does, I, a, he does this uh, on the. Game. No, I, I can. I can do the. Oh. No, I, I can. I can do the. You, you want the end song of the dating game or the theme song yes. or something? There we go. Okay, well, this is different music than we usually have to close the show. But this is the longest show we've ever had. Thank you, Trader Ruski. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Jeannie. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Let me stop this for a second. Can you guys hear me over that or no? I can. Oh, you can hear me. Okay, good. So, okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming on. And uh, joining me and extending this show, I think I'm going to wake up with a pretty bad sore throat. It's amazing I've been able to go this long. Uh, I don't have time to do the editing right now, but to be honest, I'm not going to have the patience to edit this show. I'm probably going to get a few things and slap it up after I wake up. So that is it. I never believed the show was going to be this length this week. In fact, believe it or not, I was actually worried at one point the show was going to be too short, that we didn't have enough. That was something I turned out I miscalculated. So that's all tonight. This is actually a six-minute song on here. I'm not going to let it go six minutes, so that's it. Good night, everybody, and... 
Go ahead, guys. Come on, guys. Say shalom. 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 Shalom.